This is Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being broadcast live and also recorded on April 25th, 2018, the time just short of 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We have a free roll this week. It's starting in one minute at 9 o'clock. And it's a very large one again, thanks to our usual big contributor, nowadays at least, Eric Benzamokin, attorney Eric Benzamokin, who sponsored the show earlier this year. Now he's been sponsoring free rolls by just dumping money into them. Very, very generous guy. And I, I know I say that every week, but uh, as I was typing up the agenda this week, I think, wow, another 250 being given away. I like, I, it's just I'm like, I can't believe it. But yeah, $250 being given away. And here is how the money breaks down. We're actually making a little bit of a change in the structure of payouts, which I'll get to as our first topic. It's related to the first topic. But uh, first place, $125. Second place, $70. Third place, $35. Fourth place, 20 So you'll notice the smallest prize is 20 now. There's no more $6 type payouts. Those have been done away with forever as part of... Uh, some controversy that has occurred in the past week or so, which I will touch on first after we get through the agenda, which probably like is an hour from now. But still, 125, 70, 35, and 20 are the four prizes being paid in cash. I can give it to you in Bitcoin, actual cold hard cash. I can give it to you through another form of electronic transfer, like a bank transfer, or I don't know, maybe some service that you might be able to think of that's been around for a long time where you can transfer money between people. I might be able to use that service to pay you. If you win, email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com or PM me Dan Space Druff on the forum. However, to qualify for the free money, you need to know the rules. The rules are stated at pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. That's all lowercase, exactly as it sounds. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll gives you the rules for qualification for the free money. You also need to have a validated account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is run by Belly Buster. And if you're not validated yet, you need to PM Belly Space Buster on the forum and uh, get him to validate you. It's up to him. Totally at his discretion. If he doesn't like you, you may never get validated. That's just a fact of life here. But if you have some difficulty with it and you think you're being treated unfairly, you can let me know. I might be able to put in a good word for you. And this is really the only free roll I know of associated with any radio show which pays you in cash. You actually get your choice of ways to receive it in cash. I think about it. What other shows do this? And the funny thing is this show doesn't make money. The show loses money and, and we have the best free roll. That's the truth. If you think I'm not telling the truth, go find one with a better free roll. You won't you won't find one, and you get paid in the very best form possible, the most flexible form possible. You don't get it on some poker site where you don't necessarily want the money, or you may have difficulty cashing it out. Of course, this isn't thanks to me. This is thanks this week to Eric Bensamokin. Thanks other weeks to others who have donated. See, money's given a lot of money over the years, and uh, we've had many other donors that I appreciate them all. So it's, again, 125, 70, 35, and 20. You still have till 925 to get in because of 25 minutes of late registration where you start with a full stack. And it's in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen of PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account 
on there that needs to be approved by Belly Buster. If you want to call into the show tonight, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text that same phone number anytime, before, after, or during the show. 775-372-8355, and I might read your texts on the air unless you ask me at the beginning of the text not to. So if you forget to ask me not to read it and I read it out loud on the air, tough luck. I mean, I try. Like, if I'm sure the text is something that is really not meant for everyone to read, then I, I usually won't read it, but mistakes happen. Intentional mistakes might happen. You don't know. You, you should always state, don't read this on air if you don't want to read on air if you text that number. If you text my personal phone number, which most of you don't have, but if you text my personal number, then I won't read it on the air. But if you text the radio number, you need to put that preface if you don't want to read on the air. But you really can text me anytime, before, after, or during the show. I'm not kidding. And you don't necessarily need something, like, important to say. You want to comment on something you heard on the show. If you're listening in the archives and you're enjoying or not enjoying a segment you want to let me know, you can do that. If something's on your mind, you can let me know. If there's a story you want me to cover, feel free to text me there. I will often cover stories which are brought to my attention. In fact, some of the good things we've brought up on the show, some of my favorite segments have been ones that have been recommended to me or suggested to me by listeners. You know, I can't do everything here. (laughs) So suggestions are always helpful. I'm not promising I'll take them, but they're always helpful. We have the call to listen line. The call to listen line is a phone number. That's all it is. It's a phone number that you call to listen to the show. You don't have to use it, but it's very convenient. 712-775-8162. That's the call to listen line. You call it up and you listen to the show any phone in the world that can dial can use it. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a data plan. You don't need the internet. You don't need a computer. None of that. No, 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 no. Just any phone that you've ever owned in your life that still works, that can dial. Just call 712-775-8162 and just listen to the show. It's not interactive. We won't hear you, but you'll hear us. And when we're not on the air, you can call that number and you can hear Streaming reruns, where it just picks a show randomly and runs it in full. You'll join it in progress when you call in, and then when it's done, it picks another one immediately randomly, over and over and over again. No buffering, no slowdowns. It just works. It's such an easy thing. It just works so well. And I love it. The call to listen line, 712-775-8162. The Mount Charleston line is another number to call into the show. It's located on Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas, It's about 30 degrees cooler there than the Las Vegas you know. It's an old 70s rotary telephone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin there and forwards to me wherever I go. It's a separate line into the show. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. That's the alternate number to call into the show. Oh, my goodness. You hear this? You hear the Skype? I know you hear the Skype. Calwatt, hello. How you doing, Drew? So I just realized that... There's sound effects on the Skype, and the reason there's sound effects is because I downgraded Skype as far as I could downgrade it. This is a, a, something I did this past week. I, I tried to find the oldest Skype that would still work, because a lot of them have been discontinued and will not connect to their servers. So I found the very oldest Skype that will work, and the reason I found that is that I'm hoping maybe this, the sound problems where you can't hear the sound I play will go away. But in the process of doing so, I, I guess it re-enabled the sound effects here. But uh, I turned them off. I, I hate sk- Skype sound effects, especially for a show like this. But uh, Ah, crap. I forgot 
I got to get in that free roll thing, right? You mean the? I mean, there's no bounty on you, but you can get in there. It's uh, open till nine twenty-five. I still got time. Yeah, it's open till nine twenty-five. Yeah. Yeah, I got to get set up, man. I got to get in the forums. I got to get in the free roll. Let me get in here. I did my my first heads up match today. In that uh, charity poker thing. Oh, you did. Or so, not, so, not, or not charity? Yeah, but, not, you know, not charity. There's no charity here. Actually, there kind of is. But okay, so so how did you do in the heads up match? Did you? I, I know you're still alive. I I died in the first round against Jay Searles, but are you still alive? Yeah, I'm a luck sack. So I mean, apparently the the first one. Uh, the, the guy couldn't make it due to, uh, some stuff he had going on. So I guess I got a buy, which is good because I forgot about it. <laughs> so I was wondering how you got past that. I was wondering how you got past that. I'm like, how come I didn't hear about Cal Watts <laughs> match? I guess, uh, okay. Well, if he hadn't had whatever he had going on, I mean, I probably would have been DQ'd because, you know, I was away, as you know. And then when I came back over the weekend, I just spent time with the family and forgot all about it. Um, but yeah, no, I played, uh, match. Today and you know I'm a luck sack. What can I tell you? <laughs> wow, I you know I need I, I need to rig the poker room in my favor instead. Oh shit! Of, instead of yours. Oh, beer and poker says it's best two out of three. It is, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it's not over. If you've only won one match, you got to win two more. Yeah, I'd be chased. Should I, we have played the other? Yes, the yes. I, I, oh. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I played. Uh, I beat Jay Searles in the first round. Oh my god, that's hilarious! I beat because... Jay Searles in the first round, and I had him down to very little in the second round. It was just about over, and I still lost somehow. It, it, no, this is great. So I, I go up into the room, and I'm like, oh, I got to do this, you know, heads up thing. I see my wife go in there, and you know. uh change into something more comfortable, shall we say? Hmm. And she's she's kind of waiting there for me, and I'm playing. I'm like, all right, I won. <laughs> and and then I just, I, I, I for, totally spaced that it was two The guy's probably three. like, what the hell? Where, so, where are you? <laughs> yeah, so I just, I didn't, I just said, good game, and I just, like, closed the, the chat, and I <laughs> went and went who, and did my thing. You who know? is it? Who are you playing? Who are you playing in this round? Uh, it's A, who's your A? I'm really okay. sorry, dude. Well, at least he, he's, he's a pretty good-natured guy. At least he probably won't be that pissed. That's funny, because as soon as I won the first game, I was just like, all right, I'm done, and I shut it. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's like, wow, that was quick, and I'm like, that's what she said. Oh, like, Wait a minute, that doesn't that doesn't come off real well. That doesn't come off well. Okay, uh, so... So I'm sorry, A, who's your A? I totally apologize, <laughs> I had no idea. Cal Watt will return, and, and, and you should uh, punish him by playing him again. I'm, I'm going to answer this call just to yell at someone. They're, they're hammering me with phone calls, which they know not to do. All right, do it. Okay. A caller, you're on the air. Who is this? Caller, you're on the air. This is A Hoosier A. Oh, A Hoosier A. Don't you know better not to not to hammer us? Sorry. Well, hang on, hang on. A Hoosier A, hang on. Don't you know better than to hammer me? You big me. You big time me. I can't believe you big time me. Hey, A Hoosier A, you were you were hammering me with phone calls during the the intro here. You know not to do that. Come on. No, no, no. I, I know not to do that, but I heard I heard Calwatt on there, and I just wanted to call and act like lineman for a minute. And okay. 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 <laughs> Seriously, dude, I I had no idea that it was two out of three, and I apologize. Like, I'm just like, all right, I won. See you later. So, so you know, just, just how, how long did the how long did it take you, Ahujere, yeah, yeah. to realize that uh, Calwatt just left? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, I mean, probably about five minutes. I was playing a tournament on ACR. So you, oh, so, you really so you weren't that, so you weren't that angry about it. I I was hoping you were just like sitting, waiting, waiting, and just getting like really stressed because you just lost the match. And like, okay, I'm going to beat him this time. Okay, I'm going to beat him this time. Okay, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Fuck, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Oh, I, I can just picture that. 
Dude, I'll I'm do glad, it. I'll, I'll finish the. I'll finish the other ones now if you want. If it's not too late, I, I really apologize. I totally fucked that up. Yeah, I can jump on there. So yeah, we can do it. You at least put the, the time to get used to. <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yep. So I'll jump on there. All right. Yeah. So same room. Are you gonna play it right now? Yeah. yeah why not? I'll do the free roll and I'll do this. <laughs> okay. Cal Watt the multitasker. I'm always amazed by this. Okay, so uh, doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm doing them well. Well, you, you're winning somehow, <laughs> so you must be doing pretty well. All right, uh, let me finish the intro here, which maybe I can finish before you guys are done with your match. So uh, let's see, where was I? Let me just give the agenda. You guys can go in the chat room if you want to chat during the show. If you're listening live, otherwise, forget it. Oh, I know what I forgot to mention. The archives. The archives are a way to listen to the show when we're not live, and we have many ways to listen. We have iTunes. We have Google Play. We have Stitcher, which is an app on your phone. TuneIn, which is another app on your phone. In fact, TuneIn is even better because it can be used to listen to both the live show and the archives on demand. Also, you may not know this, but Alexa, Amazon Alexa can be used to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio in two ways. If you just want to listen to the live show or the streaming reruns, just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Seriously, try it. Just go up to right now and say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play either the live show or the streaming rerun that's on the call to listen line. If you want to hear the last episode from the beginning, just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast. If you put podcast at the end, it plays the last episode. If you want to go to the previous episode, you say, Alexa, next. And if you want to return to say, you say, Alexa, previous. It's kind of backwards, but try that. It all works. Amazon Alexa, we're on there now, too. And so you, you can add whatever you want in there. So I've done those before. So if you really wanted to, you could like, you could put in Alexa, Joe Seabox, cock, and it would take you to the right episode. <laughs> but could I do that for everyone or just for, for my own Alexa? I mean, if you had... Oh, um, no, for anyone that's using it. So you can actually um, – you provide what verbs you want Alexa to respond to, and as long as people are subscribed to it, it'll work. I did not know that. I will yeah. pl- play around with that maybe. Though it's pretty straightforward the way it is. So Amazon Alexa, it, it works. You can try it. I just tried it last night. I showed Benjamin. He was pretty uh, amazed by it. And you can download the MP3 just directly off our server. All these options are right there on the radio page. Just scroll down and you'll find them. If there's another option to listen you'd like to suggest, don't say SoundCloud. I won't do it. Then you can text me or you can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Our agenda this week is as follows. There was a controversy over the past week involving unclaimed money for the free roll and how it was remaining in my Jew wallet. Was I Superman 3-ing or office spacing the free roll money? And actually I, I not. I broke this story like a year ago. And, and actually not running the site at a loss. Is this, is this the secret as to why I continue running this site? Have I been collecting thousands of dollars in unclaimed free roll money while appearing to be generous, giving away free money here when in reality the winner every week was really me? Is that the truth? What really happened here? I will discuss this in our first segment. I have an update on the Vegas sports handicapper who went missing at Mount Charleston. Yes, the same Mount Charleston. He went missing last week, and we have an update. Ray Davis was ejected from his own tournament series 
at the Venetian after an altercation with Frankie O'Dell. Uh, the Real Grinders has their own tournament series there right now at the Venetian, and uh, Ray Davis, who's the head of Real Grinders, was actually ejected. So we're going to talk about that tonight and maybe have Ray on to give his side of it. A career scammer and embezzler almost got away with murder. You probably haven't heard of him, but I was... Uh, someone posted this article to the forum, and I read it, and it was a very, very interesting article, and I sent it over to Cal Watt, and he read it as well. And it even has a little bit of a tie-in with the World Series of Poker and a big tie-in with Las Vegas. So very interesting story, very uh, good material to cover on this show in several ways. So we're going to talk about that. The trial is actually ongoing from what I can tell, even though this is something that occurred in 2010 and 2011. Uh, it's become very relevant today because the trial is taking place this year. Kate Hall. We haven't talked about her in a while. I haven't paid much attention to her in a while. But someone brought my attention to a recent tweet that Kate Hall made that she is now living. She's, she's changed her residence. She no longer lives where she once lived. She now lives in the Bay Area in a polyamorous commune. I mean, just when you think she can't get any crazier. It's always good to have a crazy Kate Hall story on the show. I missed those. So we have one again. She's now living in a polyamorous commune. So we'll talk about that. Nevada has a new regulation on the books. You know how they've legalized marijuana for recreational use in the past year? They have added a gambling regulation to where overly stoned patrons are barred from gambling. Or there are to be barred from gambling, that the casinos are supposed to bar them. So we'll discuss that. Poker Stars has grown. Not the site, but the company. The Stars Group, which owns Poker Stars, formerly called Amaya, has acquired a massive UK online gambling company. They're growing in leaps and bounds here. China, not talking about China Maniac, but actual China, the country of China has completely banned online poker in all forms, including play money. I guess it's going to be, as of June 1st, I think is when the hard ban takes place, where there can be trouble if you're not uh, if you're still offering it there. But uh, there will be no online poker in any form, even play money in China. And we will discuss what that means to the poker community. It actually might have an impact. An elderly organizer of a charity poker game or shall I say charity poker games. It wasn't one game, but it's, uh, there's charity poker rooms that exist there that are legal. Uh, he was given probation for embezzling much of the money that was being raked there. So we'll talk about these charity games, what exactly those are, how it pretty much is a legal loophole to offer live poker in jurisdictions where it's typically not allowed, and how there's starting to be crackdowns because there's... A lot of discoveries going on that the money's not really going to charity. In many cases, it's being stolen. Finally, poker dealers. Poker dealers. I know we have some listening to the show. I know this because when I play at the World Series, there are some dealers who I've never seen before in my life, and they tell me they listen. And they know elements of the show. They know the episode. They're definitely listeners. They're not just saying it to be nice. So... We're going to discuss whether being a poker dealer 
is a great semi-skilled job to have, or if it's underpaid exploitation. Which one is it? Are poker dealers being underpaid and exploited by the casinos, or do they pretty much have a great deal going on there? So we're going to discuss this, and I'm going to read you a post made on Facebook by a poker dealer, who I know personally, I'm not going to name him, and we'll discuss what he had to say about it. So that is our agenda this week. Let's see if we can locate young Trader Ruski. In fact, I want to find out from Trader Ruski, see if I can find him, if he did that couple's roller skating thing in the early 80s. Because I did a lot of roller skating in the early 80s, but in the early 80s I was a kid. So I wasn't old enough to roller skate holding hands with my girlfriend because I was many years away from having a girlfriend. If he, if he what? I want to find out, Trader Ruski, since you're uh, you were like 51 years old now? I am. Okay. So you're just about the right age to have uh, done roller skating as a teenager around like 1980. Did you? That was one angry dog. Um, yeah. You did. Okay. Definitely. That's what I figured. Okay. So I remember roller skating too, man. But but Calwatt, okay, so you're Calwatt's a little older than me, and Trader Ruski is a little more older than me. So Calwatt, I'm I'm older than you by like like two years. No, like two years, I think. Nah. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Oh come on, you're making me older than I really am. So, uh, so Calwatt, were you old enough to have roller skated where they do that 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 couples thing where they play a song and they kick the kids off the floor and then the teenagers go around holding hands? Were you ever old enough to do that or had roller skating kind of died out by the time you were old enough? Uh, I think it had probably died out because I, I went and I did that kind of stuff like when I was a kid. Yeah. And I, kn- I know that like I brought some girls there and they were like kind of dates, but they weren't like, you know what I mean? It yeah. was a point where there were dates, but nothing was going to happen on those dates. Okay. Right? See, see, like by the time I was dating, it, it was totally, I mean, I guess there were some roller rinks around, but the whole thing had fallen apart by then. This was like the late 80s. So. Was this in California? Yes. Yeah. So I was in Connecticut. In uh, you know, not rural but suburbia, and so you guys are probably just a little more advanced than us, you know. What what year are we talking about here, though? Oh, fuck, dude, I don't know. Well, I, I, I really I, don't even. I'm trying to. Okay, so Trader Ruski, you're the oldest of the three of us. Did you ever do this? This like couples? I think I had to be in middle school. Like I don't think it was. It definitely wasn't high school at all. So I think it had to be middle school. Okay, so it's probably like '84 or something like that. So something like yeah, that. Yeah. So uh, Trader Ruski, did you ever do the couples roller skating? No, because I really just, when I roller skated, really, when I was like, you know, 10 to 15, it was more like Venice Beach. And then uh, and then I started playing roller hockey on roller blades. Well, I went back and forth between quads and blades in uh, probably like 90, 91. And then, yeah, actually took my dog rollerblading tonight. Oh, really? You still rollerblade? Wow. Oh, yeah. We wow. still play some hockey and wow. do some rollerblading with the dog. Look at this. That's why that dog is so angry. Well, yeah, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably why he is <laughs> angry. Probably, leaving, yeah. So she doesn't like that. Well, that's, that's, that dog, I think, is pissed off because you're dragging it along while you're rollerblading. Okay. Now, now Skype, no, actually, yeah. Skype we get a bike actually... or a skateboard in front of us, then it's like I'm on my – then I'm like water skiing. You know, she just pulls me. Now, Skype is acting stupid. I can't even take calls from people, but uh, there's someone who's frantically trying to call in, and we haven't heard from him in a while, so I'm going to connect him on, and then we're going to have to restructure the Skype call. Team ML Gay, hello. Hi. Um, shout out to um, Ken, the Master Scaler, um, C Money, 
as well as Tide. All right. Well, is that what you wanted to say? Like you were hammering me over and over. I should have blocked you, but uh, I know C Money really likes hearing you. C Money, uh, he just—I knew he would have been disappointed if I didn't put you on. So, well, I, I made a post in the form, and you didn't uh, respond to it. Um, I wanted the master to come on air and uh, have uh, a segment with uh, TMOK, but uh, well, he was on last week. Well, and we and we should we should get a uh, Coachella update from him and see if he made any money on bringing people to front row. <laughs> I think that was a good business idea. For no, him. but see money like wants like wants I want as well. I don't know anybody else, but I want to have a one-on-one interview with the master for Riveting Radio. We'll have that to arrange that. Fucking we'll, legend. We'll have to He's arrange it another time. It'll have to be arranged for another time. He's and I, I wanted and I wanted to meet him, and he didn't give me any details. Like, what's going on with the site? Do you read meet, your own site or meet what's him? Going meet, on? Meet, Just meet him. Do when? me a favor when you meet him. Don't shake his hand. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, hold on. Where where did you want to meet him? Are you coming to Los Angeles? Well, I mean, I'm a bowler. Like. Todd, I'm like asking on your site. Like, like, have you noticed I never play in any free rolls or any of your I, I heads don't really up pay things, no, etc. No. I don't care. Like, I want to meet the master. Okay, but like, you, you have to come here. Money. He's a baller. I, I think TMMLK should hook him up with a suite at the Bellagio. Okay, TMMLK. Little... It's very hard to get Master Scaler to leave the Los Angeles area. So you would have to come to the Los Angeles area, and I, I would meet you. And then I would bring you to the Master Scaler, and then you can meet him. And then you could talk to him to your heart's content. Yeah, he can take okay, you on a probably, tour of the Starbucks. He jerked off it. That's the right. top three uh, most financial richest on poker fraud alert. Like, C-Money is probably number one, and I'm in the top three. Who's, who's number three? Well, I'm in the top three. Okay, so who would be number two? Well, I don't know. I'm in the top three. I don't know who would be number two. Well, if you have so much um, money, then come out. Come out to Los Angeles, then. I mean, come on, Todd. I don't even play in these free rolls you have. What does that have to do with it? Just, I mean, you want to meet the master. I don't yeah. understand this. You want to meet the master. I'm telling you, he doesn't leave L.A. So I'm saying you're claiming you're rich. So it all makes sense. Get on a plane, book an Air Canada flight, book Air Canada Rouge if you're actually not as rich as you think you are, and uh, and come out here. <laughs> I don't take Air Canada Rouge like you do on your flights to calgary and i mean come on it was it was an accidental booking the the rouge thing i, I would never do it again. Right. never do it again hey tmlk was that uh the stuff that went down in uh, toronto anywhere near you oh that's right what about the van thing i'm glad you're okay i'm glad you didn't get uh, mowed down <laughs> thank you thank you for that um yeah it's an unfortunate event that happened and um yeah it's uh, tragic i mean a lot of um, crazy events are happening in the world nowadays. So what I'm what I'm glad yeah, about is that is I'm, prostitution legal in Canada, by the way. Uh, not that I know of, but uh, they're trying to pass a law, the government, uh, for the next election to make it legal. So <laughs> yeah, because that was, I think, his big thing. He referenced the if you saw the news today, he referenced the guy in uh, Santa Barbara and said that that was one of the reasons he... That was the reason, I guess, he really? did it. Really? All say, the girls were dissing him. Wait, so, so hang on a second. Uh, I looked it up. If you guys want to know, current laws on prostitution in Canada introduced in 2014 make it illegal it's to illegal purchase right sexual now, yeah. services, and but legal to sell them. 
So you can sell your, your pussy, but you can't buy it. That's so weird. You think it'd be the opposite. You think it'd be legal to buy it, but illegal to sell it. Kind of like online poker. It's illegal to run, but not illegal to play. Apparently not. That's so weird. Why, why would they be uh, like persecuting the customers, but not the people providing the services? That makes no sense. The customers... Well, that's why the, the backdoor whatever site got shut down, right? Because it was all human trafficking and whatnot. Yes, so. yes, it was. But but that's, that's I'm saying here that it's, it's a weird law because typically when there's laws against something, it's if it's if it's kind of like not fully prohibited, it tends to be prohibited more on the end of those providing the service. Like like for example, using drugs recreationally in the U.S. it's illegal. Except for marijuana in some places, but it's illegal, but it's not nearly as much of a crime as selling drugs. So it's kind of like that everywhere, as far as I've seen, with we're providing the service that's illegal is much, much worse than using it. So yeah, I'm, what's I'm, the point of selling something if no one can buy it anyway? Yeah, I don't get it. That's right. Like, what, what, seriously, what kind of joke are they trying to play? Like, why don't they just make it illegal? You know? Well, like, it doesn't matter either way you do it, though, because if you want to charge somebody. Like you know, like either way, it's going to be the same scenario, right? No, but I, th- I think it's say it's illegal to buy uh, prostitution. You know, like it's the same scenario. To All us, right, so. so maybe this will clarify. Bobby Orr is saying, and my understanding, he is an expert on this subject, and he's in Toronto too. No, <laughs> no implied meaning there. But my understanding is he's an expert. Says that only solicitation is illegal, not the act itself. Hmm. Right, which kind of makes sense, I guess. You know, that's why you see a lot of posts online about just getting a massage or something, right? Like, yeah, and it's five hundred roses, and you know, we see all that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but so another and, thing. And congratulations to Bobby Orr, by the way, for his big win tonight. And sorry, uh, TMLK, about your Leafs. They were looking good for a minute. Uh, I mean, I mean, like I, I've never seen such horrible play in all of any like they got two sh- one shot in 10 minutes or zero shots in 10 minutes they, they were just getting totally outplayed yeah when they went up 5-4 that uh was in 4-3 or whatever what yeah 4-3 i guess yeah they were looking good it was surprising they uh well there's, there's <laughs> that they choked there's always the blue like jays there's always the Blue Jays. Actually, there isn't. But uh, <laughs> well, it's the Raptors. They won tonight. But I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. They are. They are. They are. They are the best team in the East. I've. I've been. You, you know, I team, don't know about that. They're struggling against Washington. Washington uh, is know, rolling them. But, but it, it could be the typical uh, Raptors choking the playoffs. But I had a chance. I, I wanted to make a sixteen to one. Eastern, Eastern Conference bet on the Raptors, and everyone made fun of me. And I, I actually, I was peer pressured away from doing it. I'm not even kidding. People made fun of me and laughed at me. And I, I just pictured at the end of the season when the Raptors lose in the first round, I'd say, "Ah, oh, I bet five hundred dollars on that. Oh, I bet a thousand dollars on that." People would point at me and laugh, and I'd feel like a fool. Well, every, so I didn't do it. Everybody laughed at TMMLK's picks on Poker Fraud Alert and and whatnot. And I'm like eighty five percent win rate. So I don't know what's going so, on. Getting getting back to the uh, hookers and blow, which yeah. I think is what everyone tunes in for. Yeah. So Bobby Orr is saying that it was meant to keep uh, the prostitution off the streets and more towards like get escorting. So that <laughs> what's the point well, of that? <laughs> well, that, that that part of it kind of makes sense from the point of view of you know how the the law is is couched, right? It makes sense, but I don't see what they think they're accomplishing there. I mean, yeah, I guess it looks better when people drive by and there's not prostitutes out there, but as far as the the crimes that occur. Uh, that, that kind of ride along with prostitution. The, those 
happen either way, whether the prostitute's standing on the street corner or whether they're doing it through Craigslist or Backpage. So it's it's pretty much the same thing. So anyway. The TMMLK disagrees with the new law that's passing. I mean, I don't know if it's in the States or not where marijuana is legal, where they're going to be selling it in stores now and mostly liquor stores in Canada. As of Canada Day, uh, it's supposed to pass the law, so I don't, I don't tend to agree with that. What, what's your opinion on that, Mr. Wittellis? Wait, so, so what, what don't you like here about that law? Well, I just disagree with marijuana in general. I mean, I think it's been illegal all these years in Canada, and and it was frowned upon years ago with teenagers and whatnot smoking it, and it's bad for your health, et cetera, et cetera. And then they passed it. Now you're going to have people driving under the influence of marijuana. I don't know how it plays out in the states. If there, it's illegal there to buy in stores. Well, and it's, drive, it's been, it's been changing. Like, like for example, in Vegas, starting July first, two thousand seventeen, it became legal to purchase marijuana at, at dispensaries for recreational use. You didn't even have to pretend like you, you had a medical reason anymore. Now you could just go buy it for recreational use. Yeah, it's going to be the same here. Yeah. So, too. so, so I, I should say here that if if I come out against this we're going to lose a lot of listeners of the show be there a lot of pot smokers on this show but but i'll, t- I'll tell you what i i or not on the show but listen to the show but let me let me tell you how i feel about it i, I first of all, i've never smoked marijuana in my life never i've never either i've never me had desi- i've never had a desire to hold, hold on trader ruski you're not going to leave me as the only one having to admit that he smoked oh right? Ru- absolutely is, uh, not no trader ruski right. has it. He's, solid <laughs> solid Roos, you snapped me off last show i was on what's going on <laughs> Let me give my opinion what? here. I'll, I'll, let me give my opinion here. So, so th- this is how I feel here. Uh, I understood the argument against uh, uh, criminalizing it and, and you know, having people have a criminal record because they smoke marijuana and it, and it was a waste of, of police resources and jail resources and all that. And I, I can agree with all that. Uh, I did feel that this the, the Full legalization will bring more casual users to it that uh, weren't there before. Not that it stopped people who really wanted to do it, because there are many ways you could find people to sell you marijuana if you were dedicated enough. It, it wasn't that difficult. But at the same time, someone such as myself, let's say I didn't have any poker connection. If, with a poker connection, I could always find people if I wanted to, to, to smoke marijuana. I don't want to. I never have. But if, if I did want to, it wouldn't be difficult to get it. However, had I not been... I, a, I don't recall it ever being a problem to get marijuana. Well, you see, you know? if, if you're associated with people who, who do it, like, like for example, if within poker, yes, you can find it. But the average person who never does it and, and isn't, doesn't have a direct connection to someone who does, it's not. you can't just... Find it that easily. If you, now, if you really want to find it, yes. If you know people who do it, yes. But otherwise, uh, when I was in high school, it was easier to get weed than it was alcohol. Well, yeah, that's that's high school. Like way easier. But I'm talking. You know? what, what I'm saying is that it's it it really takes away a barrier to both entry and also just getting it. It it, it makes the whole thing much easier, and I think it it will make the abuse problem worse. But at the same time, so so if someone asks me, what do you think the ideal situation is? Uh, do I think a full legalization is ideal? No. Do I think that they should start you know clamping down on everybody who smokes it and put them in jail? No. I, I thought that it should be one of these things where they, uh, as far as the users, that they just uh, either don't actually pursue it or even do something like uh, if they catch someone with a recreational amount, it's not a crime. If they catch someone dealing it, it is a crime. This is something like that, which uh, – um, kind of just ignores 
it going on you know, from the user standpoint to where you're not criminalized if you use it, but, but at the same time doesn't just make it available to everybody. I know there will be many who disagree with me on this. I know Timo Mugate probably agrees with me. Uh, at least for the most part, but but that, that's yeah, that's that that's how I felt about it. I know that now this isn't a super strong issue to me as, as far as like political social issues. There's ones I feel very strongly about. There's ones I'm kind of in the middle. Some that aren't as important to me. This one's not as important to me. Uh, I've been in rooms many many times where a lot of people have been smoking pot. I mean, the fact that I used to be friends with Mike on should tell you that. But uh, and I haven't run out of the rooms. Oh my god, people are smoking marijuana. Like I, I haven't run away from it or. or you know, like avoided being around it. Uh, I've never had the desire to smoke myself, uh, but uh, I haven't really held it against others who have. But uh, so I, I'm definitely not hard line about it. But that, that's that's my feelings on on that matter. So, Druff, we got <clears throat> we got two minutes, or we're going to lose a listener. Who? Gookie Heimowitz. Yeah, that's how you Oh, I see it. that. He's two Googie minutes. Heimowitz says he's counting down. Oh, I see that. From two minutes, and then he's done with the live show. See, Always how can off he, how topic can he say for that? some see, stupid he's, topic. He's been posting on the forum. He's been a pretty good poster. He's like a new poster this year. And he should know from listening to this show for a long time. I don't know how long he's been listening, but I know he's been around a while. That, that He says, always off topic for some stupid topic. Well, yes, that's what we do here. <laughs> This is off-topic yeah, radio. Let's get the newbies here. Like, tell them to calm down. Like, respect the veterans, the PFA here. Come on. Like, I'm tired of these three months people coming on and hissing. Like, just you know, come on. I'm, I'm reading oh, the chat God. room too. Like, Grenader Roger, who's like an old guy oh, on, the, on the forum. Yeah. He says, oh, he says I say it because this guy sucks. Well, let's, let's get to the good okay, stuff. I so think let, he's talking about you, TMLK. Well, he's always been a player hater. Let's, listen to what Grenada Roger, Grenada Roger in the chat room says, Druff, you are so 20th century. And this is coming from like an old guy who's like way older than me. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like a Druff, kid saying that. This is, this is actually do a guy you have an like update probably 60 um, on or something. your cable uh, situation? You remember when you, you called in and I was always interested in hearing about an update about that? I, there's not really an update on, the, on any of that. I, no no so, lawsuits coming to suit? You know? As as long as we're we're off on this tangent, Trader Ruski, you there? Rus yep. is always snapping me off. I don't know. Trader Ruski, yeah. So know. I'll tell you why uh, I stopped smoking weed, and it was I mean like the last every now and again, like many years ago. But I found it just incredibly fucking boring. Hmm. Like when I would smoke it, like I would I wouldn't do anything, and it it annoyed me, you know. Like, I'm always someone that I like to be active and doing stuff, and when I smoked weed, I just turned it into a vegetable. And I, I actually, like, didn't really like it. Well, you know? I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I yeah. Think, I'll tell you I want to hear the counter. I want to hear the counter on this from uh, the, the fellow partaker. No, I mean, I think, you know, as I've gotten older, um, you know, I didn't smoke as much as I did in my teens and all that, but right. now it's, you know, I use it to ch- either chill and relax or even... If I'm going to go out and skate or go to the gym, sometimes I'll smoke a little bit. It right. Makes, you know, take, you, know, you, you got to kind of jump into doing something quickly. Because if you just it, chill, then you're yeah. like, toast. Yeah, no, man, I would just be on the, the couch with a bag of potato chips, and then I wake up the next day, and I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? But I'll tell you what, if I had, <laughs> no, seriously, but if I'll tell you what, if I had any kind of chronic pain at all, I would be smoking up a storm. Well, yeah, if, you if, know what I mean. If, right. If that's the only. So unintended. That's the only. That's the only <laughs> uh, circumstances under which I would have an interest in doing it is if I had some kind of pain that 
it would remove. I wouldn't sit there and say, oh, I'm not going to do this oh. because I'm against. Like, if it were to help with some chronic pain I had, then, then yes, then I would. I, then then uh, it would, I'd treat it the same way as, as any other medicine that would, uh, that would help with pain. this will probably make you drool, but I had a, a buddy of mine who, uh, I'll leave the name and location out of it, but he, he had just pounds of marijuana, like laying around in, in tightly wrapped up bales. And uh, one time when I was about to get on a flight, like he threw he threw one at me. I'm like, holy fuck! Like that's more weed than I ever seen in my life. Um, but he also he gave me some. Uh, I think it was called like a blackout brownie or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was the typical edible story. So I was about to get on a flight, right, to go to fly back home. And he's like, uh, you know, I think you might only want to eat like a quarter of it, you know. And it was a typical edible story where I'm like, I ate the quarter. I'm like, nothing, man. I feel nothing. So I was just like, fuck it. I'll just eat the whole fucking Uh-oh. thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and, bad decision. And, yeah, really Ooh. bad decision. And believe me, like back in my day, I partaked in a number of different things. So I, I know what it is to be fucked up. Holy shit. I can't remember ever being this fucked up before. That's I'm what everyone sitting, says with the edibles. I'm edible, sitting yeah. in the middle of this airport. Like I'm sitting on the floor. And I've got I've got like two massive Cinnabons with like sugar all over it, and I'm sitting in the middle of the floor in the airport, just like stuffing my face with the Cinnabon, and I can't get up. And then I hear my name called out over the intercom, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like they know, you know. And I had to somehow like get up and approach the counter, and I don't even know what the lady then said to me, um, but it was something about my ticket, and ended up kind of being nothing. Um, but then I got on the flight and I was wigging out. Like I was just absolutely flying and I put on one of those eye masks, right? And everyone else probably thought that I was sleeping, but really I was just sitting there and I was like, hold it together, hold it together. Like it took the entire flight, like all my mental energy just to hold it together. So I didn't freak out. It was, I, I'm, I'm not really sure I've ever been that fucked up before. I mean, that thing was brutal. Some yeah, of those yeah. edibles, man. They're rough. I, I once did a those... favor for someone who um, got in a car accident. Uh, they had a lot of marijuana in their car because at the time they were actually dealing drugs because they were using that to fund their poker bankroll. It was someone I was friends with. I'm not going to say who it is, but uh, uh... <laughs> it was someone I was friends <laughs> with who was dealing drugs at the time, and he called me in a panic that he got in an accident with a bus. You already told us this story on Aaron, who it was. Well, I'm going to say, I'll leave out the name, even though I've, I may have said it before. But uh, anyway, he, he was with a bus, and he actually abandoned his car and ran off. And then uh, yes, I think he got a cab home or something and then called me in a panic of what he should do. So I I was nice, and I, I helped out with this. And uh, I told him what you need to do is if the bus has moved on, the bu- you know, if, it probably they probably don't care. It's, it's probably not looking for it was like a minor fender bender with a bus so I said we just have to get the car back and uh, you need to get over there and, and get the car back don't just leave it there to be you know, the stuff to be found so we've got to approach this you know we'll go to the car we'll you know, see if there's looks safe to approach it and if it is then get there and, and very 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 carefully drive home do not break any law, any traffic laws. And I, I very much doubt that anyone took your license plate. And if they did, by the time you know, you'll get it home, you'll get all the stuff out of there. If they come by, then it'll be different. So, yeah, but uh, I, I took them to do that. 
the coast is clear. He got the car. He went back, and, and nothing ever happened. Uh, so, given who uh, is, is this person into cryptocurrency at all? They might be. <laughs> I, I guess I should say that I, I kind of regret being as helpful as I was, but uh, at the time, <laughs> at, at, at the t- at the time, it, it seemed to make sense to be helpful here. I didn't want to see him get in trouble. I had warned him, by the way, that he shouldn't be doing what he was doing; that it was very risky. But uh, mm. but once it had ha- once this had happened, I uh, he was my friend. I wanted to. Uh, Help him avoid uh, trouble there. So, okay. So, getting to let's get let's get to the stuff here. So, Gookie Heimowitz doesn't uh, turn off the show. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Very important to me. So, are you going on about the four hundred dollar free roll? Yes. Yeah, we're going to talk about that right now. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna snap off clean here because that's going to be on for a good two hours. Okay. So, thanks okay. for having me on air, and um, hope all the uh, listeners enjoy that segment for the next two. Okay. Hour, so. thank, thank you, Tim. Take care, right, Bruce. Tim, okay. Glad you didn't get run over. No, thank you, sir. And have a good kilo, kilowatt. Yeah, thank man. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank take you, it sir. Easy. And, and Todd, good luck with your rant. Okay. Take care. Okay, thank you. So, thank you, bud. There's a controversy going on on Poker Fraud Alert uh, that was uh, it was kind of brewing for a while, and I've, I've gotten some. Private messages complaining about it. Some troll even called it to radio once and mentioned it. Uh, there's been trolls who posted on the forum mentioning it. Finally, I, I just decided to address it. And here's what's going on. So we get a lot of donations to the free roll. That's Almost all the money for the free roll has come from users of the forum and listeners to the radio show. And I appreciate that very much. I really do. So that's the money that's been given away. And it's important to know that because that means it was not my money being given away. It was other people's money, which I've said before that I want to respect. That's why I allow people to exclude others from the free roll that they don't want to see win their own money, stuff like that. So every week we'd have the list of prizes for the free roll. And usually the lowest prize would be something below $10, $8, $6, $5. And a lot of people wouldn't bother collecting that. I shouldn't say a lot, but some people wouldn't bother collecting that. Now, usually what they would do, if they didn't want to collect it, is they would message me and say, please donate it back. So when I say such and such person donated $8, usually that doesn't mean that they PayPal'd me $8. Usually what that means is that they just won $8 and want to put it back in the pool, which is nice and generous, and uh, I thank them for that. But there were some that just didn't bother to claim at all those small prizes. And I was aware this was happening. But it wasn't happening often enough, and there was not enough money involved to where I wanted to take on the hassle of tracking every 6 and $8 prize that I didn't pay out. The large ones, just about every time people would, would uh, claim them. And when I say large, I mean even you know, $20, anything like that. People usually didn't want to leave on the table and would claim it. It was usually – the ones that weren't claimed were, were just about always the ones that were single-digit dollar payments. That hurts, man. I, I always roll mine forward. You don't have to belittle it like that. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not belittling. I, I think I think it's good to roll it forward. I, I mean, I, you don't have to, but I'm saying that anybody there are some who just chose not to say anything at all, and then I just I would just lose track of it. See, I didn't. I wasn't keeping track of every place whether they got paid or not paid. The way I would do it, to be honest, is I would announce the prize pool, and then when people would win, they would contact me. If they contacted me, I would pay them once I verified that they really won. And if you know, they don't contact me, I wouldn't pay them. And I wouldn't keep it in my head who I did and did not pay. So if 
the fourth place finisher last week, never claimed his money. I wasn't going, ha, 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 I got to keep the fourth place finisher's money. I, I, I wouldn't even know. I honestly wouldn't even know. I didn't keep track of it. I'm not saying this to sound better or to sound like I'm not a thief. I really didn't know. And it wasn't because I didn't want to know. It was because I didn't want to put out the effort to know. It was it, it was a burden. It's already kind of a pain in the ass to manage these various payments. And I escrow money for people and for contests and all that. And I'm happy to do it because I, I like the fact that all this goes on on Poker Fraud Alert, that people donate money to contests and then others get to win it and everybody enjoys it. And I think now, that's is this, this bank account that you keep this in, is that the one you were telling me about the other day, the party fund? <laughs> Which party? If it's a party for Poker Fraud Alert, then the money's being put to good youth. But, 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 uh, uh, the, the money just basically was being forgotten about on both ends, where I wasn't keeping track of who was asking for their money and who wasn't. And on the other hand, on the other end, the people who were owed the money just decided not to claim it. Now, that doesn't mean I should get to keep it. I agree with that. But the problem was the problem that occurred here was that it would be difficult for me. Not super difficult, but it's kind of a burden. It's kind of a pain in the ass. There's something I didn't want over everything else I do on the site because, and I know people make jokes about this, but because the site runs at a loss, because this site is is not something that. Uh, is here to make me money. It's, it's something I'm doing kind of as a service that I also enjoy doing at the same time. That, that's why Poker Fraud Alert is up. That's why this show runs. And I don't feel like doing additional busy work because that's what it is. It's additional busy work and it's a burden and I don't feel like doing it. So that was what was happening. I was aware it was happening, but I, I just kind of thought, you know, it'd be great if somehow just like every person claimed their money. I really would, would have preferred that's what was happening. I wasn't, I wasn't happy that my Jewish wallet was getting fatter from you know six dollar payments that weren't being claimed. I, I really wish everyone would claim their money, uh, but at the same time, I couldn't think of a solution that didn't require extra burden for me. So I just said, ah, "Screw it." But let me tell you, for anyone here who's so, so Melanie, how much have you made off of this? <laughs> That's why. No, if, if I was Melanie, I'd be giving people seventy five cents in the dollar and telling them they should be happy. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But you, you you should tell everyone that you still owe money to that they can expedite the cash out. Yeah, and then fifty and then, cents right. on the dollar. So <laughs> anybody who who might be mad about this and be saying, "Oh, he kept money here," let me explain something here. I have lost money on this site in its six plus years of existence. If you add up all the money I've spent on it and all the money that has come to me from it in any way, any kind of sponsorship, any kind of excess free roll money that, uh, that wasn't claimed, that, uh, that stayed with me, even unintentionally. But you know, if you add up all that together, I guarantee you that I am down lifetime running this site. So anybody who thinks I was running this site as a secret way to claim, uh, you know, free, to get free roll money that people weren't going to claim. And someone even said, Oh, that's why he's keeping it low. That's why he's keeping the, uh, the fourth place and the fifth place down to a uh, single digit. So people wouldn't claim it. He get to keep the money. No, I guarantee you, no, this, this site, the way it's been run would be the worst idea ever as far as a way to make money. If, if this is why I was running it, it would be foolish. And, and not only that, when, when have you heard me like begging for money or saying people need to donate to support the site? I, I'll, I'll take it. If you want to donate to the site to help for the, 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 the price of the upkeep of it, uh, that, that's – I'll take it. I'm not going to say no. 
and and that'll be uh, nice. Rough. But, we're we're going to have to get the Kanawaki Gaming Commission in here and audit this thing. But, but only the only the Kanawaki can assure me that this is above board. But I've always encouraged people to donate to the free roll and not necessarily to me. And I, I if you think about all of my actions, think of all my actions over the last six years. Think about the fact that uh, um, I didn't charge anybody for the hats that that were uh, sent out when we. When, in fact, I'm thinking of making some more hats uh, sometime soon. I never got one. Well, you'll you'll be first priority. If I don't get a hat, I'm going to spill the beans on this whole scandal. Uh, I'm, well, the, I'm the inside man. Spilled. It's kind of already been spilled. You'll have to threaten me with a different scandal that people don't know yet. But I'll just make shit up. <laughs> but there, believe me, this was not intentional. Believe me, I'm not. I wasn't trying to keep uh, six dollars at a time that wasn't being claimed. Believe me, there there were many ways to have made money from this site that would have gone without question that no one could have ever uh, criticized me for that I chose not to do simply because I, I just didn't want the site to be used that way. I didn't want to push affiliate crap on people and other stuff, which I could have easily done. Like no one would have said, oh, how dare you run affiliate stuff? I could have run affiliate stuff as long as it was for sites that were you know somewhat okay, but, I, but I'm not. So think about the way I have run this site in the six-plus years it has existed and you will know this was not intentional. This was not something sneaky I was doing to get away with, and I've still lost money overall here. So, with that all said, it is still true that people donated money to be given away in free rolls, that over time, money was not collected. And since we've had a free roll just about every week, now, most weeks people collect all the money, but it's not super rare that uh, the bottom prize isn't collected. So a few changes are being made here. A few changes are going to be made, starting with uh, actually last week's payments, which I apologize. I haven't made yet, but I definitely will. I just uh, was busy, but uh, I will be making last week's payments and this week's payments very shortly on the free rolls. So starting with last week's payments, I'm going to post a thread. There's going to be a thread that's an ongoing thread that lists each prize that was won and then every time I make a payment, I'm going to make another post in the thread. Like you know, uh, I, I just sent uh, Team ML Gay uh, twenty dollars for finishing fourth. Like that, 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 I would post that in the thread. And then the next post, I just, I just sent uh, Roland X four twenty forty dollars for finishing third. Whatever. Like I'll, every time I make a payment, I'll post there. In this way, it's all transparent. Now, am I going to keep track of it all? Probably not. Some people have, have uh, said, "Oh, why don't you use a, a spreadsheet?" Because it's it's still a burden. It's still a pain in the ass. If uh, someone's offered they're going to uh, make a spreadsheet for me that's very quick and easy to use. Like, I know how to use spreadsheets, obviously, but I'm not uh, – I, I haven't used them that much where I'm great at making spreadsheets. Like, if I made one, it would probably still be a burden to myself to keep track of it. Uh, someone who uses them all the time offered they're, you know, they'll make a good one for me that's, that's very quick and easy. If, if that's true, then I'll use the spreadsheet. But, but otherwise, uh, it's up to you guys. You can go through the thread. And it'll all be transparent. I'll be right there. So anybody who's suspicious, anyone who thinks that uh, I'm embezzling money from the free roll, it'll all be right there who got paid, who didn't get paid. And then you'll be able to say, okay, from your own posts here, I can see that you owe uh, you know, $155 of, of unpaid money. I say, okay, and then, I'll, then I'll, I will put that money back in the pool. So here's how it goes from, from this point forward. You have six months, which is a long time, six months to claim your prize. If you don't claim it in six months – then it goes back in the pool. So I don't care the reason. If you have six months to claim it, 
You and, should just charge three three dollars and ninety nine cents a year. Yeah, that's right. I should t- have should okay, uh, in- interest on it, like WSOP does say, for the account a, maintenance. I should take a uh, a page out of the Masters Playbook there, the World the World Series, yeah. and charge a, a maintenance fee. Yeah, but I, I'm just gonna roll it back into the pool after six months. So that's how long you have to claim your prize. I, I suggest you do it before then, but six months is the maximum. Um, I'm going to do away with this collecting up to $100 to get it by check. I'm going to do away with the paying by check. It's just going to be gone. Even if I just said it at the beginning of the show. I'm, just, I'm not going to pay by check anymore. It's a pain in the ass. Uh, I'm not going to mail cash anymore. If you happen to see me at the World Series and want to collect the cash from me, I'll give it to you. But other than that, uh, I'm not going to pay in cash or check anymore. We're, we're in 2018. You can either get it by bank account uh, you know, a bank transfer, I can transfer it to any bank. You can get it by Bitcoin. You can get it through one of these electronic payment methods uh, that, that exist and have existed for years. So one of those. If you can't find a way to get it that way, then I guess you won't just co- you just won't collect it. You, anybody can sign up for one of these things. Anybody can find some way. I mean, get Bitcoin, whatever. Find some way to get the money of the payment methods I'm going to offer. And if you can't, then it goes back in the pool. I'm sorry. I mean... Uh, uh, I'm trying to make it simpler and remove the burden, and I think you know those playing need to at least do their part and make themselves available to be paid in a, a normal fashion by 2018 standards. So I'm going to post every time people win. I'm going to post every time I pay people. Then anyone who wants to audit it can go through it and find what is owed, uh, you know what what is not collected. Then I will put it back in the pool. So this way I don't keep any excess money. It's all very transparent, and that is for going forward. That's for uh, the free roll that was last week, the April 18th free roll and beyond, April 18th, 2018 and beyond. But what about before? Is this going to be is this going to be in a Google Doc? Like a public spreadsheet or No, it's just going to be, be a thread. No, just a thread on the forum. A thread oh, on the okay. forum. Yeah. So prior to April 18th, 2018, if you won a prize, you can still collect it. There's no no limit for that. So that prior to anything won before April 18th, 2018, meaning April 17th or before, if I owe you a prize, you can still collect it, even if it's from six years ago. You you can still collect that. But anything April 18th going forward, it's going to be six months until it goes back. And in order to even out money that I have not paid out because people didn't claim it over these years, I just had to take a wild guess. There's no way for me to figure out uh, at this point how much really ended up in my pocket this way. I just... Pick, picked a number out of the air, which I thought was fair. I picked $400. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take $400 out of my own Jew wallet, and I'm going to put it into some sort of contest, either a contest I make up or when uh, every so often we have people coming forward who want, uh, you know, who want to have a contest of some sort, but they ask people to donate to the prize. Like they're willing to administrate the contest, but they don't want to donate to it. If I see something like that, then I'll use part of the 400 for that. But sometime within like the next few months, probably you know not all at once the 400, but probably you know 100 each or 150, 150, 100, something like that. But I'm going to give away 400 dollars of my own money to contests again, either ones I make up or ones that others are running, where I'll add to the prize pool. And uh, I think that should even it out. People are, there might be some people saying, oh, I bet you got more than 400. I bet, what if you got uh, 3,000 and then you, you kept 2,600 of it? Well, number one, no, not even, any, not even close. No chance of that. But uh, number two, uh, that's what I'm doing. 
I'm, I'm not going to figure it out further. I, I haven't. I've lost money on the site. I'm, I'm now putting 400 back in here because I'm acknowledging that this has happened, even though it wasn't intentional. Even though it's just because people weren't coming forth to claim their prizes. But I'm putting 400 back in. That's all I'm doing. This is not some grand conspiracy to steal money out of the free world. I promise you that. And and honestly, when people complain about this, and I don't mean trolls who are just saying it because they're joking around. I mean, when people honestly are complaining about this, it makes me think, why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I even administering these free rolls or, or contests? Why, why am I even getting involved if I'm going to face these accusations? When I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to do something – I'm trying to facilitate something nice being done. I, I'm not doing something nice because it's others donating the money. But I'm trying to facilitate this stuff happening on my site to, for no gain of my own. And, and, so pursu- pursuant to that, Druff, I've got an alternate idea for you. Yes. Are you willing to hear me out on this? Yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> so I think what you should do is you should start up a service. And we'll call it Poker Pal, right? <laughs> And people can deposit into it anytime that they, they can see their balance or whatever. And when they will hook it up to the free roll. So whenever they win, the money goes into their poker pal account, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, anyone wants to donate to it, they can do that via their poker pal account. And it goes into the, and we take the money that goes in that and we invest it in some kind of really risky derivatives. And we're going to just make tons of money. And you could be like the next Elon Musk. Oh. Why didn't I think of that? You know? I'll have to consider that. Or, or fuck it. Like, any of the money that gets dumped in there, just, you know, they can be... We're not going to accept no phantom deposits, but we can, you know, kind of claim that the money is there, but just invest it all in all these shit coins and, you know, speculative cryptocurrencies, you know? <laughs> and and just kind of bank on the fact that people aren't going to cash out that often. And, I mean, this could be our retirement plan, man. If he only hadn't said that right now, you should have told me this after the show. Nah, whatever. Yeah, it could, no, it no could one, be like Office Space too. No, one, no one's paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem. I think because people saw Office Space and Superman three, they go, "Ah, oh, I know this move. I know what he's doing here." <laughs> they, 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 it, it, they, they, everyone's on guard since those two movies. Look, Drop. I mean, the God's honest truth is whatever. Everyone knows that you're you're not running the site for profit. And that, you know, it's not you're administering these the, the free rolls and handling the payouts and all that kind of shit. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think your average person is really that honked off at this. Well, yes. Yeah, so, a lot of people are saying, come on, you know, how can you be concerned about these six dollar payments not being claimed? Who gives a crap? You know, like a lot of people, they, they had the proper attitude about it. a lot of people. They, they saw here that this is an intentional and still when it's all said and done, I'm still losing money running this and everyone's enjoying the site. So screw it. Like, like who cares? And that, that was kind of my attitude. Like, yes, it's happening, but who, who gives a crap? Like it's, it's not worth even expending ah, the effort to solve. Druff, we have to have our ICO. <laughs> fuck, fuck the poker pal idea. Forget it. We're going to start our own cryptocurrency uh, the, the, and do an ICO. And anyone who wants to get in on the bottom floor can maybe call it the fraud coin. That'd be a good name. We'll get we'll get Tam Win to to stump for us. He probably will too. <laughs> of course he will. I, I bet if I sent kidding me. I bet if I sent Tam Win like ten dollars, he would stump for us. Of course he will. <laughs> Seriously, man, we get everyone's doing it. Let's do our ICO. You know, all these people that have no fucking clue what they're doing are are starting getting involved in crypto. So let's just join the party. All 
So let's let's move on here. I've uh, that that's what's going to happen. Check the forum if you care about this. Someone messaged me. Uh, this guy, I have a feeling I know what his opinion is on the marijuana topic. This guy is this guy's name is a uh, Kush Strain One. Kush Strain One is his name. So I I have a feeling I know how he feels about marijuana use, but. He said, I won 16 bucks and I've not cashed out. I thought I had to build more than 16 bucks. The answer is no. You actually can cash out 16 bucks anytime, except not by check or cash. The, the building up thing was like, I, I started refusing to send tiny checks to people because it was ridiculous. Uh, now I'm how, just, much weed, how much weed does 16 bucks get you these days, Trader Ruski? Is it even worth it? You get like a couple uh, of joints? Get a couple yeah, of joints probably a couple of joints, yeah. I suspect. So, so I Kush, guess this Kush strain really needs it. Yeah, Kush strain, yeah, he's, he's welcome to buy joints with it, but but he, <laughs> he if he wants his $16, which he's welcome to claim, he needs to PM me on the forum or email me and then uh, tell me if he wants it in Bitcoin or one of the, one of the ways I mentioned. That, that's all That's all I'm asking for him. But I actually I, – I do have Bitcoin now to send, so there was a, a point where – I either didn't have it or where if I did have it, the transaction fees were outrageous and I refused to do it. But now now the transaction fees are down to pennies and so Bitcoin is a very, very viable option if you would like to receive your free roll winnings in Bitcoin. Not not the only way. Someone, some people suggested, hey, why don't you just force people to collect their winnings in Bitcoin? I said, no, I, I'm not going to force people to collect their winnings in Bitcoin. Like, that's, Why should I do that? It, it, it's going to be an option, but I'm not going to force people. But I did agree that I should eliminate some of these kind of antiquated payment methods that – to be honest, if you can't receive one of the payment methods I offer, then just tough luck. So pay out in fraud coin, man. ICO this shit. Yeah, we actually people have, will hoard it. They'll hoard it. We actually have pretty good ratings tonight. So they just got to hear this whole rant. These uh, bigger audience we have tonight for whatever. It didn't reason. fall. It didn't drop like a stone. No, I was I was afraid to even refresh the <laughs> the ratings. I I'm sometimes very afraid to refresh the ratings, and I go crap. I bet I drove everyone away. So I guess no one's left yet. So. They wanted to hear about the scandal and the money that you're stealing from these poor, innocent people. Yeah, they wanted to hear the, the poker fraud alert about the... Team Mobile Gay, see, he hangs up and then makes a derogatory threat about me. He, said, he made a threat called... <laughs> That's great. He says, ship Todd the Begatar, ship it to him immediately, proof on radio tonight, sight runs at a loss... Should Team MLK become an angel investor for PFA? Well, sure, if Team MLK wants to give me money. It's never going to happen, but... All right, here, here's what we're, we're going to... Uh, we're going to do here. I want to restructure before we make to the next go to the next topic. I want to restructure the Skype call because for whatever reason uh, people can't call in right now. So uh, all right, I want to restructure it and then uh, we will move on. So let's uh, start all over again. Skype is is really a piece of crap, but I think this version may actually be better for not killing the sound. So we will see, but I'm uh, I'm optimistic here. Okay, so Calwat I think is back. Calwat, you there? Was I supposed to call back? It's fine. Yeah. So all right. So I, I I hope sharing the sound will be easier with this version. Otherwise, I'll tear my hair out even more. Okay, so let's move on here and we'll talk about uh, the Mount Charleston update. And as some of you might have guessed, uh, the update is not a very happy one. If you recall from last week, a Las Vegas sports handicapper who's pretty well known disappeared. Uh, David Walensky vanished hiking in Mount Charleston about a week and a half ago. I believe it was uh, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before that. So it's been about 10 days now. 
He went to Mount Charleston to hike. He was an avid hiker, but he was only he was 58 years old, and he was by himself. And he never returned. His car was found, but he never returned. And when someone just vanishes like that hiking, that's usually a very, very bad sign. Usually they're lying somewhere injured, or more likely they are dead. So that was what I assumed happened. I assumed that he was dead last week, and it turned out I was correct. Uh, I can confirm that David Malinsky, at the age of 57 or 58, died at Mount Charleston during a hike. He fell while doing the hike, presumably over a cliff, and died. So uh, he was found near the area known as Mummy Spring, which... It's kind of uh, dark if you think about it that uh, a dead guy is found at Mummy Spring. But uh, you may wonder, what is Mummy Spring? Well, Mummy Spring is an area of Mount Charleston which has a fairly lightly used trail called the Mummy Spring Trail, which it didn't say he was on the Mummy Spring Trail, but I have to think he was for a few reasons. And this is a fairly tough trail because you gain 1,870 feet in elevation. That's, that's pretty tough when you're hiking. Especially because Mount Charleston, you're, you're already starting at elevation to begin with. So uh, not only is the elevation getting higher, but you're, you're climbing pretty steep hills. I think it's like a six-mile trail total round trip. Which, yeah, that by itself is not terrible. But if you're going 1,870 feet up while you're covering three miles, that's pretty steep. And... Uh, Apparently, there must have been some areas where you could fall if you were to slip. I don't think there was, like, rock climbing or anything like that, but probably something where it's a narrow trail, and if you slip and, and fall the wrong direction, you could probably go over a cliff and die. So it appears that's what happened to him. And the reason I think he was on the Mummy Spring Trail, in addition to where his body was found, was because that trail was described to have ancient bristlecone trees that are thousands of years old, uh in the upper parts of the trail. David Malinsky was known to be obsessed with the bristlecone trees. He loved the bristlecone trees. These, these are trees that have been around for thousands of years, so some people are very fascinated by them because of their age. So he loved to find where bristlecones were and hike to them. So you have to think, if there are bristlecone pines on this Mummy Spring Trail, and if it's a trail that has a lot of elevation gain, and if he was found dead after a fall on a hiking trail, then you don't have to be a genius to put it all together that he went to uh, hike to see those trees, must have slipped and fallen, and that was that. So obviously a tragic story, and, and pe people seem to like this guy. Uh, a lot of these uh, Vegas sports handicappers have bad reputations, and deservedly so. I hadn't really heard that about uh, David Malinsky, so... This is someone who was well-liked in Vegas. I never knew him personally, but I knew of him. And it's sad, you know, because he goes there to hike and find those trees that he loves. And you don't go out on one of those hikes and think, okay, I might die today. You don't think that. You'd think, okay, I'm excited to go see these bristle cones. And then you, you slip and you die. I did say on the last show, though this probably wouldn't have helped him if he just fell to his death right away, but... I said on the last show, if you're going to go hiking and you're a male over 40, 
and even if you're not, but especially if you're male over 40, it, it's a good idea to hike with a buddy because the chance of a heart attack during hiking, especially a, a steep hike like that where you're going up a steep hill, uh, the chance of a heart attack is a lot higher than when you're just sitting I'm in your trouble. House. I go on a hike every day. By yourself? Yeah. Well, you're taking a chance. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, nothing, it's nothing like going up a mountain, though. Okay, I'm just saying that the problem is, like, here's who I think of, even though this wasn't during a hike. Don Drysdale, a famous baseball player who pitched along with Sandy Koufax of the Dodgers in the 60s. He became an announcer for the Dodgers, and in his late 50s, he was in a Montreal hotel room because the Dodgers were playing the Expos, and he was the he's one of the announcers for the Dodgers at the time. This is like in 93 or so. And uh, he had a heart attack while in the hotel room where had he been home with his wife or had he been with anyone when this occurred, uh, the heart attack was not severe enough to where he probably would have been saved. But because he was alone and he was unable to get to the phone to call someone to uh, tell them what was happening, he just died in his hotel room at age like 57. I know someone personally, a family friend, who was 64, actually a very healthy guy who... Uh, you know, was not overweight at all, did a lot of exercising. Uh, he ha just had a heart attack in his bathroom, and he was found on the floor, would look like in a position as if he were crawling towards his phone. And was you know what? When I, was, uh, <clears throat> when I was getting insurance a number of years ago, one of the questions that they asked was whether we had uh, like an above-the-floor above tub. Because apparently that's how... A lot of people die. You they, know, when they, they have one of those tubs that you actually have to, like, climb out of? Yeah, they slip and, and die. You, you climb out and it's wet and you, you slip and like that? I'm like, why the fuck are they asking me this? I'm surprised you know? about that at your age because, like, old people die that way all the time. But but someone your age would be very rare to die that way. Well, this was, like, ten years ago. Yeah, even now. You even know? now, people you – don't you don't hear a lot of people that are in their 40s that die from slipping in tubs, but old people all the time. Yeah. I don't know. It was a risk, apparently. Hmm. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm serious though. Like, uh, males after 40 can get heart attacks out of nowhere, and uh, and it, it occurs a lot during physical activity. And if nobody's there to see it, even uh, one that isn't that severe, but in, enough to incapacitate you, but but to where you could have been saved if someone saw it happen. Uh, in those moments where you're alone, your last thoughts will probably be, "Crap, why was I alone here?" Like that's that, that's how I would feel if I went out on a hike by myself. And then I started to have a heart attack, and I knew there's no way I, I can call. Like with the, you know, let's say I had no cell reception or whatever. Like, if you have cell reception, then at least if if you're still conscious as it's happening, you might be able to call. But a lot of the hikes around here, there's no cell reception. Um, whereas you're you're with someone, then they can run to where there's cell reception and quickly call and get help for you. So, bottom line is uh, that's not what happened to David Molesky here. It looks like he just fell and probably may have just died on impact. So that may not have helped him here, but. I always think it's better to go with a hiking buddy, even though it can be inconvenient sometimes to have to do that. And, and I'll tell you, yeah, I, it's not going to happen for me. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm well, telling. You, and you hike in a remote place, so there are usually other people around. Right, you, and you can if, if it's a place that's not remote. There's people all the time passing you. Then you, that's not as much of a concern. Uh, but. Uh, I, see, I don't like to go hike in those places. I, I usually like... I, I would call it semi-remote. Like, you know, when I am going on these hikes, I'll see 
Sometimes I'll see no one. Sometimes I'll see one or two people. But it's it's like part road and part uh, like trail. Yeah, it's just kind of where sp- I go, and it's not a, it's not a big deal, man. I do like depending on where I go. It's like three to five k per day, and it's nothing. And it's nothing intensive. No real no real mountains to go up. But you know, I mean, if one day radio comes on, and I don't show up. You know, you never know. We'll send out the troops to look for you. Yeah, I send out buddy- that dog. There you go. I had a buddy pass away about a month and about two months ago. He was in his mid sixties, great shape, and he was a cl- he was a client and friend. We do business together, but he um he goes surfing every morning. He lives down in San Diego. Had a heart attack when he's surfing, and then they found his uh, found his body. Yeah, that happens Crazy. from that happens from the cold water often. Where uh, especially in Southern California, the water's never warm. So, yeah, that's that, that's known to bring on heart attacks too. Is uh, swimming hmm. in cold water? I didn't know that. Yeah, in I'm fact, in no danger of that one. In, in fact, I'll tell you the uh, one of the big causes of death in super cold water, like uh, when people jumped off the Titanic when it was sinking, a lot of them died not of hypothermia like you'd expect, heart attacks. Your your body with that super cold water within like fifteen minutes, you're usually going to have a heart attack. Hmm. Yeah. So now, now like seventy degree water, uh, like in L.A. For those of you that don't know, the warmest the water ever gets in the L.A. area, and probably San Diego too, is and this is the very best you're ever going to see is seventy five, but that's rare. Uh, usually, the warmest you're going to see in a typical summer is like seventy one, and often the water peak for the day is sixty nine, sixty eight, sixty seven. This is in the summer. In the winter, it's in the fifties. So a lot of people think it's like Florida. Where, where you have water in the 80s, it's not. So, can you swim in 70 degree water and it is a dangerous? No, it's you know I, I used to do that all the time, but uh, I that's some shrinkage that that temperature though. It is, but not that's only not, cold shit, not only that, but I, you know I'll, you, I'll get, you'll be you'll be an instant transvestite. You do that. I would get in the 70 degree water, and as I used to live in Redondo Beach, right on the beach, so I, I would get in the 70 degree water. Take a little while to get used to, then then feel okay for a while. Especially if it wasn't cold outside and the sun's beating on me, but then uh, I'd be in there for like an hour, and then I start shivering. I go, "Oh crap! I lost a lot of body heat just being submerged in the water there in seventy degrees for an hour." Actually, will take a lot of body heat away. But uh, so yeah, I have a feeling that Trader Ruski's friend. Uh, when, when did he pass away? Was it in the winter? No, it was. Well, you know, it was. I, I think it was warm at the time. I mean, it was. It had to have been like. Late February. Okay, but the water's very cold then. But yeah, he must no, have, it was cold. He's he probably but, in a wetsuit. Yeah, he was probably in a wetsuit. Just crazy. It could have been the. I mean, I, yeah. I've done some like those polar challenge things where you jump in the water when it's in the middle of fucking winter up here. <laughs> they cut crazy. a hole in the ice and you jump in. I can't believe you do that. It's crazy. Oh, dude. I mean, my dick was like a little uh, pencil eraser. Oh, right, your dick. You know? just, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you want to do that? It just seems so like awful to do that to me. I would never. Jump into freezing well, water. you know, for the novelty, and then also you, the, the idea is you raise money for charity, and okay. you know, yada, I, yada, I, yada. I'd say here's the money. Uh, yeah, I'm not jumping in that water, but <laughs> yeah, right, Just pay it off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, I mean, it, yes, but that that could be a danger there. But now, if you jump in and get right out, it's not as much of a danger. But yeah, it's it's uh, it could have been the cold water. If the guy was in a wetsuit, it's not as bad, but. It could have been the cold water. It could have been the activity. Anyway, bottom line is, uh, 
you're, you're hiking by yourself, it's probably a better idea to be with someone. Also, you could fall and actually be in a situation where if they could get to you quick enough, then you could have been saved. Like maybe he could have been. Maybe he didn't die right away. Uh, we didn't get those details. Maybe he, he was injured and then just, I mean, think of how awful it would be if you were just injured and couldn't get anyone's attention. You're just stuck there and then you you die of thirst or something like that. So I, I think it's, unless you're on a very well-trafficked trail where people are going to see it if something happens, I, I think it's better to go with someone. So, all right, moving along to hopefully a less depressing topic. I, I knew it was going to go there, though. When, when someone's gone for like four days when they're hiking, it's very rare that you find them alive. Uh, some people have committed suicide that way, where they, they intentionally go. I actually knew a guy, a guy I was friends with in high school for some time. Uh, and we, we lost touch over the years. But I know his family, and I, I still talk to his sister sometimes, and his you know, our family knows the parents. Um, he had, not quite when I knew him, but a little bit later on, like in his 20s, he started having a lot of psychological problems. And uh, he loved Yosemite in California. He really, really loved Yosemite and hiked it all the time and was very familiar with it. And uh, so one day he decided he was going to kill himself, and he hiked to a very remote area of Yosemite where he knew he would not be found and uh, and took pills and killed himself there. And uh, he was found many months later with his body basically being disturbed by animals. And I think that's what he wanted. I think he wanted to become part of Yosemite. So uh, some people will go hiking and do that, but most of them disappear hiking. It's not intentional. And, uh, so, okay, moving along here. I'm going to talk about uh, Ray Davis and what happened at the Venetian. And we'll try to reach him. I keep losing his phone number, but I'll, I'll try to reach him. I'll try to find his number. Uh, Real Grinders, which is the popular Facebook group that Ray Davis runs. that I, I'm part of it. I post there. Ray Davis has a tournament series that he got them to run at the Venetian. It's called the Real Grinders Bounty Extravaganza. It's currently running. It is from April 23rd all the way through April 29th. Right now is April 25th. So uh, today they have a $175 event and a $150 event. So Ray Davis has been playing in these tournaments. And again, this is the Real Grinders series there. And we talked about it last week, how it's not that hard to get a poker room to run a tournament associated with your group or whatever, because uh, that brings in people to the casino. So that's, I don't know what Ray and Real Grinders are getting out of this monetarily, but uh, you know, there's got to be some deal involved. So the thing I did not expect, the thing that was a, a big surprise to me, but annou- Ray announced it himself, he's not trying to keep a secret of this, Ray was kicked out of his own tournament and banned from it. Why was he kicked out? Was he cheating? No. Was he doing anything unethical, you know, shooting angles or anything like that? No. No sound, by the way, Jeff. No, no sound. And I thought all this time has been working. Okay. Confirmed. But, but Cal and I was, were laughing inside. <laughs> okay. Tell me if this works. 
hear anything? Yep. Okay, good. I don't hear anything. <laughs> Are you serious? Please no. tell me not serious. Okay, good. I was, I was about to go nuts. So here, here's what happened. Uh, there's a guy named Frankie O'Dell who is uh, – I guess he has some stuff in common with his table you – know, as far as his table demeanor goes with Mike Natale. Frankie is known to be uh, kind of aggressive in personality at the table, so to speak, and gets in a lot of arguments with people. And you know, a lot of people don't like him. Others do like him and think he's kind of a character, but uh, he's kind of like a stocky guy. You know, some people can find him intimidating. He's not like bulging with muscles like. Mike Dentali is, but you know it's kind of that same type of player, kind of the, the the guy at the table who can get very mouthy and aggressive, and, and uh, will won't be above threatening people if he gets pissed. He does have two World Series of Poker bracelets, both in Limit Limit Omaha High Low. He won one in two thousand three. And one in 2007, so it has been more than 10 years, but then again, it's been more than 10 years since uh, another certain person that's associated with this show has won a bracelet, so I can't criticize that very much. Anyway, uh, he does only have five World Series of Poker caches, which is surprising. I don't know how often he plays. Uh, he did finish second in a WPT in 2006 for 776K. Anyway, I don't know what led to this. And I, I want to hear from Ray, if we can reach him, the whole story. But apparently Ray Davis got in a altercation with Frankie O'Dell. And I don't know what happened to Frankie, but Ray was escorted out by security. And he said it looked like, he said it looked like he was surrounded by an entourage that Michael Jackson would have been proud of. So he claimed like a massive group of security guards let him out. Uh, I think Frankie was disqualified for the tournament and was demanding the $175 back that he had paid to enter and said that it was Ray's fault that he got disqualified and that Ray owes it back to him and apparently threatened Ray. Yeah, I see his phone number here. I'm going to try to call him. He threatened Ray that he's going to kick his ass or something if he doesn't get that $175. And Ray decided to bring this question to his Real Grinders group and asked, should he give Frankie O'Dell the, the $175 back or should he just uh, say F you and if uh, a fight happens, a fight happens. Now, Ray was insisting that he's not afraid of Frankie and, in fact, said that if he were to lose a fight to Frankie, that it would be highly embarrassing, that he doesn't even think that uh, Frankie would be uh, a formidable opponent. So we're going to try to call him here and get the story. Now, we, Hopefully we don't get him in a very loud environment. We probably will. He's always out and about. But hopefully he's there at home with his turtle, just relaxing on the shell. And uh, we can find out the story here. But he really I thought, he, I thought he doesn't answer calls after nine unless uh, they're from uh, women, crap. right? Crap. i, I got to like, spoof the caller ID of like a hooker in Vegas. Then, mm -hmm. then he'll answer the phone. Ray Davis talks about, on his group, about getting hookers and things like that. And I'd, I'd never been able to tell if he really does do it or if he's joking. I, I, I think he probably does actually get them. But, um, 
Please leave your message uh-oh, for uh-oh. 5622. Uh-oh, uh-oh. No, 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 you're not going to get his number. 5622 is all you're going to get. If you want to try the last uh, six digits. Like, i got to be honest with you. I think I'm too lazy to ever get a hooker. You know, like if I if I needed to, if the urge was there, I would just jerk off. Well, and then it, it would pass. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's that, but there, it's not that hard. I guess it's harder now since they've taken down Backpage and Craigslist uh, personals and all that stuff where you could typically find them. But I don't think it's that much effort. But I just I never found it to be appealing because I know that there's no desire on the other end. I know well, the girls not yeah, excited but, to be. But with I mean, me. you know, if, if you're doing it for your own personal pleasure then you don't care if there's any desire on the other end see i've always cared i've always like that's part of the whole experience to me is that the girl actually wants it too and if i I know she's just there but doesn't want to be there it just it just kills it for me that's the problem i'm I'm talking about you know so assuming that i lived in a decent sized city which i don't um you know it's got at least take me a couple hours to i would assume find a hooker you know, find one that would be reasonable and then do the whole negotiation and then, you know, get naked and then have <laughs> sex and then pay and leave. Like, you know what I mean? It would take some Where, time. Yeah, whereas a- over the years, like I have honed my skill, man. I can just I can bang one out in a few minutes and I can just I'm done. I can continue with my day. If you, know? if you can if you can talk yourself into it, if you can say to yourself, look, I've just got to do this and then I won't have the desire for this anymore. If you can just like. Do that, then yes. When that's done, you can you won't have the desire anymore, and it'll be. But some guys they just they, they don't do that. They just they think about what they want at the moment, and they don't think about the way to just relieve that desire, even though they know they can. They just for some reason don't. So, but it's I don't know. And again, I'm not an expert on it, obviously, but it just seems like a lot of work, you know. So, thy prez. I, I hate to talk about the dead this way. Thy prez is uh, no longer with us, but. Uh, Diprez, he used to get hookers in Vegas, and he he told me something very interesting, that he would have the most desire to get hookers when he had just lost a lot of money in Vegas, almost like he just did something bad that he shouldn't have done, so now he needs to do something else bad. Like like that he, he like he almost deserves to have to sleep with a hooker at this point after chunking off a lot of money. Not deserves it like he deserves in a good way. Almost like he's he, he has to do this to feel even worse about himself. That's what he told. Uh, me. I don't think I buy that though. That's what you know. I, it seemed it seemed convincing. I mean, I I wouldn't feel that way, but I, the, it seemed convincing that he really just that was what drove him. Because it seems like if you're going to a hooker, you're doing something good for yourself or but something. I mean, but he I was saying know. that's not the way he saw it. He saw it that like he, he's actually doing something like depraved after like depraved gambling is what he was saying to me. So I look at it very matter-of-factly. I don't consider it depraved at all. You know, if people want to do it, go do it. It just seems like a lot of work, you know? Although I will admit it's got to be less work than if you, let's say that, and maybe I'm skewed because I'm married and, you know, whatever. But let's say that I, I was single. It definitely would be a whole lot more work to go out and pick up a girl, and then you know eventually or that night or whatever have sex with her than it would be to get a prostitute. Well, so is, maybe, yeah. So maybe from that perspective, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe that, that, it's a whole lot easier. That's the way a lot of guys view it. A lot of them say, I, "I don't feel like putting out the effort. Like even if I have the ability to make this happen, it just seems like so much trouble. Why, why don't I just skip all that and just pay someone?" That, that's kind of what they think. And, you know what? A buddy of mine actually told me that. He told me the exact thing. He's like, you know, 
I could go pick up a, a chick tonight, and you know, hope, hopefully she finds me charming, and hopefully something ends up happening. Or I could just go over. This was in Thailand, though, <laughs> where he was just like, or I could just go over there and give this girl ten dollars and just don't have to deal with it, you know. But it was basically the same thing. Yeah. All righty. So seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two. Eight three five five. If you want to call into the show, someone just messaged me uh, interesting topic. So at least we have one person who uh, enjoys this topic. Let's see, we've got any other texts here on seven seven five fraud fifty five. What uh, topic was he talking about, though? Do we know? The one right now. Someone just texted right oh, now. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, from uh, there's a timestamp on it. Yeah, so for a minute, like a minute uh-huh. ago. Okay, right. from the nine three seven. We have Druff. Can you talk about how you three hosts know each other and how you guys started the show? Okay, I, I guess that's a good question. So, Cal Watt was a listener to the show, and uh, ha- how far back do you go to listening to these various shows that I've been on? I used to listen uh, to Donkdown. Did you? Listen I don't to- think I ever. I don't think I ever listened to anything on. Actually, you know what? I might have listened to some old Never Win Poker stuff too. Yeah, and and uh, but on and off, yeah. Calwatt, I had occasional contact with him over the years. Usually about like I post some kind of uh, technical question or something that's going on with with, with problems on the poker front of the server. Yeah, no, he, no homo on the contact. Yeah, and uh, um, I, I I always thought he you know, seemed like a smart, helpful guy who uh, had a lot of technical knowledge. Uh, I, I didn't know that much about him, but uh, then we we met. You know, we actually arranged to meet at the World Series, and uh, Cal Watt uh, bought me dinner at uh, Buzio's, which is no longer there. And uh, and then you, you ordered fish, and you were very specific, yes, about how things should be separated and what should and should not be on the plate. Right. Well, it's important to me. You know, like I I, I know what yeah. I like here, but uh, you know, I, I'm actually not that difficult though, as far as like once once. The way I specify it is done correctly. I'm not one of these people who obsesses over like how it's you know how it's cooked or you know oh it's too well done oh it's too rare like as far as that's concerned I'm actually pretty easygoing. It, it's uh it, it's usually just as long as they follow my instructions it's good. But so I met him there and and uh, you know he seemed like a nice guy, a normal guy. And uh, was that before or after I'd been on the show? I don't even remember. Yeah, you hadn't been on the show yet. You were just a no? uh, a listener at that point, I believe. You oh, okay. may have been on right. once, but I, I think you weren't. And then at some point, I, I'll tell you, I don't remember what was the exact catalyst to him being a guest host. I think I just kind of needed a guest host, and he volunteered. No, something. there was some topic. Was there a topic? There, okay, yeah, so I don't remember what it was, but there was some topic that I knew something about, and I wanted to come on and talk to you about it. Okay, so, so it's kind of like a dream where you're just there. There's no start to a dream. It just, I mean, there is a start, but you don't notice it in the dream. You're just there in the scene. You don't really notice it had no beginning. And it, yeah, it, 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 Druff just picked me up like herpes, and I haven't gone away that, yet. That's it's just with Calwatt, I just kind of feel like he's just appeared there without any kind of real beginning or reason. But yeah. once once he was on the show, I said, "Wow, this is this guy uh, does a good job on here." And uh, I had thought that he would be someone that uh, would be a good guest host when when Brandon couldn't make it and things like that. So it kind of evolved over time. That uh, he started appearing more and more on the show, and then I'd say starting like right around the end of 2016, 
he started coming on uh, pretty regularly, and and he was there for just about every show for 2017. So now he's... yeah, it was kind of a, a pinch hitter for Brandon. So I would come on when when he couldn't make it or whatever, and then if he did come on, I would just kind of fade off. Yeah, you know? and now now he's become yeah. a big part of the show here. And and I, I yeah, Cal Watts got a lot of compliments. I've gotten a lot of people texting me that they really enjoy when he's on, and they. they Love him as a co-host, so that's uh, uh, you know, that, I, that shows you the the caliber of listener that you have, Drew. There's been a, a few haters, very low, very low standards. It's funny. There, there's <laughs> there, there's a few haters out there, and I, 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 I that that have have said negative things, but overwhelmingly, and I'm being honest here, not just trying to keep you on the show. Overwhelmingly, it's been positive the reaction to Cal Watt, including including my own girlfriend. So I, I mm. it's it's good that you're married, so I don't have to worry about that uh, aspect of things. So. Uh, oh, I see. I see. You don't want to do that wife swap thing? No, no. So, well, you told me you don't like Asian girls anyway. So that's why. Maybe, maybe if you're married to a white woman, I consider it. But uh, all right. Anyway, Cal Watt, uh, he, he's become a fixture on the show, and I appreciate that. Now, Trader Ruski, he goes back, uh, I think, even farther as a listener. Isn't that true, Trader Ruski? Yeah, I dunked down. Uh, but uh, yeah, I never listened to Never Win Poker Live. Yeah, and, and Trader Ruski kind of showed up, and, and t- I remember he offered to uh, arrange for the Donk Down hats to be made. And uh, he he wasn't the one actually getting them made himself, but he knew someone who could make them at a very reasonable price. And uh, and they were nice hats, and a you know, good job was done there. Unfortunately, around then is when I was uh, leaving the site, so <laughs> it's not his fault. But uh, I, I remember... And I, I think did I meet you? I think I met you before then, though, in person, right? Before the Donk Down hats... I think I met you in person, like at the Bellagio sure, or something. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure if we met before. So I think I came, I think I brought him to the. Uh, what was the video game? Insert, bar insert, place? Insert, insert coins. You brought them to, but I, I, I'm forgetting if I was when I first yeah, met I think you in we person. Met before that, yeah, I think I, we had dinner before that. Yeah, yeah, we did. We had so we had dinner before. He again was like a listener who just started, uh, you know, talking to me and uh, just got to know him that way. And yeah, we went to dinner, and then we also had a. Uh, you know, he, he got those hats made, and uh, uh, Trader Ruski was just, he's been very helpful over the years, and then we just kind of started adding him. <laughs> I, I also don't remember the catalyst to that either. We just kind of started adding him, and then, uh, like Calwatt, he kind of just became a fixture on the show over time, and now I just kind of have this feeling like, okay, every week, uh, I, no one is expected to be on. When I mean expected, I mean I won't be angry if if one of them just can't make it or chooses not to. I'm not going to be disappointed like, oh man, you let me down. It, it really is like I, it's a voluntary thing. I, I'm glad they're donating their time to do this and to help me host the show. And uh, fortunately most weeks uh, they're here. And if they're, if they're not, then totally fine too. I prefer they're here. But if that's, I don't have a hold anything against anyone for not showing up or not being able to make it. And uh, so, so it's actually been pretty stable where we've had uh, Calwatt and Traderuski on most shows in the last year or so. A little bit more last year, and then sometimes Brandon pops on too, especially in the second half. So, uh, in fact, I've been meaning to. Make- That's perfect. That's I love that when I can come on and, and be in the beginning, and then Brandon can come on. I'm like, yeah, sweet. <laughs> well, I can I was, go to I, I can gonna, go to sleep without any guilt. <laughs> well, I was going to say last week was perfect because I listened to the rest of the show after I passed out. Oh yeah. But then it was like Brandon <laughs> came on, then he yeah. had to leave, then Kawat woke up. Yeah, it was like perfect. Last, yeah, it was staggered. Last week was yeah. Last week, boy, that when that thing was done, I felt, 
I, I kind of felt worn out. It was seven and a half hours, and I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't sit down thinking I had to do a seven and a half hour show. And I just, by the end, I'm like, oh boy, that was tough. Like the, the I felt great. I had a, had a whole day's conference in New York City, and then went out drinking the the later on that night. So, some people came to me and they were very happy the show was that long. They, they were telling me how, wow. how they have so much content to listen to, and I said, "Yeah, this is hard to do." <laughs> I, I get some people that I know from you know professionally, and they, I'm, I'll be like, "Oh, yeah, I'm doing this radio thing." They're like, "Oh, what is it?" I'm like, oh, "Don't worry, <laughs> you're not interested." Like it's a very it's a niche thing, you know. If you're not into the the poker world, you're not going to be interested yeah. in it. But I tell them that it's seven hours long, and they're like, "What the fuck." Like, what do you guys talk about for seven hours? How could that be? You know? So so here's some uh, other text from the 704, and I don't know what they mean. They said, stop saying Alexa for the love of God. Now, I think they're trying to say that uh, its name technically isn't Alexa. They're not writing this. I'm just guessing what they're trying to say. Oh, I know what they're saying. They don't want me to say Alexa because it, it makes their Alexa go on. That's what they're That's what they're afraid of. Alexa, power off. Alexa. Alexa. Power off. <laughs> Alexa, volume 10. Alexa, play 1980s music. <laughs> I'm sure I'm pissing people off now. Okay. Uh, that's what he means. I thought it was someone who's like just being pedantic about it. Oh, it's actually called the Echo. But that's, everyone knows that as Alexa. From 818, Team MLK makes for interesting banter slash radio. This is a, a Team MLK fan. From the 440 is the show on Spotify. This person also sent me a picture of a uh, a penis drawn in the sky with an airplane, like with the airplane trails. That is, that is my most disappointing moment when I couldn't get 10 people to send you dick pics. Yeah. That is, that was depressing. So this uh, but they say is this show on Spotify? No. I, I can look into it. I don't know much about Spotify to be honest. I've heard of it, but I, I know little about it, but I, I can look into Spotify and if, if it's if it's not just like everything else here, if it's not a big burden, it'll be there. If it is, then no. That's why it's not on SoundCloud. SoundCloud, they will not make it easy to put the show up there. From the 720. Uh-oh. This is side effect. I want to put bounties on Trader and Calwat at 20 each for my winnings. Well, too late. Do it next week. From the 507. Uh, this is someone who says that they... Uh, this is referring to the World Series of Poker whether I'm going to sell pieces or not, which I still haven't decided. Uh, in my opinion, in my opinion, buy yourself in so you don't have to worry about donks in your ear. I'm not worried about donks in my ear. Actually, everybody who buys, who's, anyone who's bought pieces of me, I'll tell you this, no one's ever given me a hard time. Not one person has ever like texted me angrily after I lost. or like The people who have mocked me for losing are just trolls who've never bought in anything. It, it's always trolls who mock me. But, but uh, the, I told you my kid didn't have shoes for the winter. Because he donked off the money I, I bought in. Yeah, but you know? I didn't feel that bad about that. <laughs> yeah, just double up on the socks. That's brutal. But this, uh, yeah, I've, the people who bought in, they've never given me a hard time. Never. So it's never, no one's ever been in my ear. In fact, it's the opposite. The, one positive thing about others buying in is that when I tweet out, uh, you know, that I've, my stack's just gone up and, you know, like some good tweet regarding how things have been going. Then I'll get messages from people who've bought pieces that are very excited that write encouraging things back. So that's nice. I feel like an audience is cheering when that happens. I feel like I'm playing at the home stadium. You for- probably get a little, you know, some tangential site and, and show promotion out of it, too. Yeah. You know? Be. From the 773, 
Every time I log into the website, I have to re-enter the password. Never saves it, even if I click on "Remember Me." You have to tell me what device you're using. I haven't seen that problem, but I'm willing to investigate it. From the 505, a lot of text today. Tell me why WSOP.com can't just have people enter their driver's license as verification. Maybe those security questions a soft credit check produces, but it's just, it's just as much of a pain in the ass signing up for mobile sports books. Yeah, I, I know, but the problem is you have to do it all again. That's what that's what sucks here. I understand the first time to comply with Nevada state law, they they have to make it tough. I'm not blaming. No, it's not. It's not just that it sucks, and it does suck. It's that it's the most asinine thing to do from a business point of view. You know. Yeah, and that's it, it's about having to redo it, like to do it the first time. If the state requires it, the state requires it, and you can't blame WSP for this. But uh, the fact that they have to do it again, that makes little sense to me. Uh, oh, the the, C, the CPA for people on the site, the cost per acquisition is probably not a small thing. I'm i still am shocked that they're just lighting that shit on fire. I am too. I, I really you am. know if it's not a regulation, like Brandon said, and I I don't really understand how it could be a regulation because each state has different regulations and they got together to, if it's not that either they're, like I said, there's so few, it's not worth the money or it's just some idiot was just like, ah, fuck them, you know, let them sign up again. You know what sucks is that there's no, it's not no way, but it's difficult to find out if it is a regulation because if you ask them, they will tell you it is regulation. That's what companies love to do. I, I get this from the cable company. I get this from the phone company where you complain about something and they say, well, it's regulated. That's We have to do it this way. And it's always a lie. Whenever they say we have to do it this way, it's regulated, that's just about never true. It's just that's something they tell you that sounds like uh, it's not their decision. It sounds like they're blaming it on the government and you're just stuck that way. So, so I, I listened to the 2 plus 2 poker cast. Yeah. Ter- Terrence and Adam and, and Ross or whatever. And they covered this too. Surprisingly, they they didn't broach um, the re-sign up thing, um, which I mean was kind of I, I was really surprised about that. But they they did talk about a few things that I I think were kind of other positives, um, which is that you know now that this interstate commission is up and going, um, it'll be a lot easier for other states to then get on board. Yes, that's a good you know? point. Yes. That is a yeah. good point, and, and, and that that is a that is a definite positive. But I still think it's ridiculous that they're not carrying over their existing clients. Yeah, you know? I agree. And and uh, you know, if California ever gets their act together and they ever get online poker going, if they could join into this, then that, that would be that would be great. And if you could just if you, yeah, if we really could have just a chain of states adding, 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 especially big population states like California, like Pennsylvania, then then you could start having some pretty good online poker. But, uh, and the other the other thing that they mentioned that that we didn't cover because we're focusing on the WSOP um, is that in this agreement they had a number of uh, of different providers that they could choose from um, because you think about it like in some of the states like Poker Stars is in some of them and Party Poker yeah is in New Jersey I think or is it in Nevada too I don't even know no no Nevada only has WSOP right so. Um, they ended up settling on 888, I guess, just because it had the the widest, you know, brand, uh, because it was in New Jersey, and then also the WSOP uses it and all that kind of stuff. But any other sites that um, use their software could, in theory, do this too. You know, it might it could end up being more 
than just the WSOP. Yeah. You know, what I just realized uh, we we just get we we didn't get a hold of Raymond Davis. We just skipped the topic. So let me quickly get back to this. Uh, unfortunately, we we couldn't get a hold of him, which I was hoping we would. He even volunteered to be on radio. That's why we didn't make a plan to do it. But he said he he'll be on the, quote the next radio for this. We just, I just try him again. One more shot. Yeah, I can give it one more shot. But uh, let me give him one more shot first. And if if we can't, I'll just talk about it. But it won't take too long. Let's see here. I'm get, I'll, I'll be quick to hang up on it this time. Someone just sent me on Facebook who's listening to the show. Someone just sent me a banana. Why a banana? Like, like a Su- banana suggestive. sticker or something. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what a banana would mean. But okay, let's uh, let's see if Ray answers. It's gonna be real quick to hang up though, so they don't get more of his number out in the air. He he already hates phone calls after eight. From it's not even because I'm not a woman though, because it's getting first ring voicemail. Skype is taking forever to connect as usual. Is it ever going to get through? I don't understand why Skype does this. We're able to sit, 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 trying to connect. Okay, we have to try again. Let me try again. Please leave your message uh, 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 for uh, uh, five six uh, uh, two uh, uh, uh. two. No, same, same five six two two. Good. No more information was given out. Okay, so he, his phone is off for whatever reason. Maybe he's with a hooker. I don't know. But so as I was saying, um, I don't know why I interrupted this topic, but oh, I know we, we got into the, on the hooker tangent. Okay, so <laughs> and that's what happened. We got on the damn hooker tangent. I mentioned about, about Raymond Davis. God hookers damn and, hookers yeah, every time. Crap. I'll tell you. Okay, I, how am I even going to know what time this started in the, in the in the description? I'll figure it out somehow. But like I started it like twenty something minutes ago, but then we got on the hooker tangent. Okay, so we're back to it. Frankie Odell is the type who gets in a lot of scuffles, so to speak, mostly verbal in these casinos. So I can tell you that uh, without knowing anything about this, I, I'd have to guess it's probably Frankie's fault that this happened. Without any information. This is my guess. Maybe it was Ray's fault and I'm wrong, but just knowing the two personalities. Uh, Ray is very talkative, but he's not a troublemaker. I haven't heard of him causing disruptions in in casinos. He's generally a, a pretty upbeat guy. So I can't see, especially his own tournament series, that he's coming at people aggressively and uh, and causing trouble. I'd love to know what happened. And even on, on Real Grinders, he didn't explain what happened. People kept asking him, and he didn't explain it. And people asked him, how long was the ban? Like, are you banned for the rest of the series? He didn't say. He said he doesn't know. He did say. He said that he doesn't know. He didn't ask, he said. But they did escort him out with security. And he was kicked out. But it's not clear if he's been banned forever. If he's been banned for a specific amount of time. If he can come back and play his own series. They're not ending the series. The series is still taking place, even though the Ray Davis is not part of it anymore. Uh, what I still don't understand is, you know, what did Ray do to warrant also being kicked out? It, presuming Frankie was, too. He's Frankie was demanding the 175 back, so I'm assuming he was as well. But... Unless they couldn't determine who started it, I would think that if there if there is one guy who's at fault, who's being aggressive and threatening, that if they're going to remove someone, it would be him. But it looks like here, from what I can see, they are removing both, which I can see happening. But I, it just doesn't sound common to me where that that occurs. 
unless it just was so ambiguous of who started it to the uh, floor men there and the management there that they just decided to do the safe thing and kick them both. But uh, that's that's kind of surprising. <laughs> Only Ray Davis there could uh, you know, hold a tournament series at the Venetian and get kicked out of it. <laughs> it's just... I found that to be so funny of all things to be kicked out of. And unlike the Iceman who's like getting kicked out all the time, and no, I'm not making the comparison because they're both black, but uh, unlike the Iceman who we've had on the show before who, who gets kicked out of everywhere, I haven't even heard of any casino ever that Ray Davis has been kicked out of. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, in all the time I've known him, I haven't heard of him being kicked out of any poker room anywhere. So of all things, it's his own tournament series that runs for six days. He can't even make it through that and gets kicked out. Uh, what I'm, the hell happened? I, I'd love to know. That's why, of, of all things, tonight we can't reach him for some reason. What I should have done, I should have nailed down a time to reach him. Instead, he just said, oh, I'll, I'll discuss it on the next show. And I took it for granted that he just like knew when it was and was going to be here. So, uh, unfortunately, there's not that much more that can be said other than it was an altercation with Frankie O'Dell. There's also some controversy a little while back where, where someone accused Frankie O'Dell of owing the money, and there were some threats back and forth, and it didn't involve Ray Davis. But it just seems like in recent times I keep hearing of trouble kind of following Frankie O'Dell to where I have to imagine this isn't a coincidence. So, like, like I've never been – it's never even been close to me being kicked out of a casino ever. I've never even been close. And so when someone has this following them a lot, usually they're doing something to cause it. That's the general rule of thumb. Like hashtag king? That's a, a fine example. I, I, I was thinking about him the other day. Like, where is he? I, I want a I hashtag king update. He's just, he's just gone. and he, I can't, he achieved everything he wanted to in the poker world. What was he, like some... <laughs> <laughs> Number one search on Hended Mob or some shit like that. That's right. That's right. He was uh, that that was that was he, the goal. Like he just he just kept getting kicked out everywhere and causing problems everywhere, so people would would look him up more on Hended Mob. And sure enough, yeah. it's just like yeah, uh, biggest movers this week. Yeah, big up arrow for for Solomon Ponte. See, it feels like he was just trying to win a bet or something. You know. Like I bet you can't be number one search on Hendon Mom. He's like, all right, fuck you. Yeah, the funny I thing is, it, it wasn't. He, he just he really really enjoyed the negative attention. He really enjoyed causing trouble, getting kicked out, filming the whole thing, making the whole situation worse. Like he he really loved making a spectacle of himself and then having people watch it. He loved it. That was that was the big thing to him. And uh, and the funny thing was, every time as it was happening, he'd act like it wasn't his fault. Every time he acted like. Like, how could you be doing this to me? It was just, it was just terrible luck that in, in a, uh, like a month's time he got kicked out of like seven places. Every time it was their fault. I'm shocked he didn't get his ass kicked. Yeah, well he did many, eventually. Many times. I mean, he did. He eventually did get it. Remember that was that video. Of, uh, I, I know. I remember it, but I'm I'm surprised he lasted that long. To be honest with you. Yeah. So. I was too. A lot of times, he he really took it far, and in fact, was 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 threatening to do things himself. Like he, it seemed like he never. It was just bluster from him. He was never actually going to hit anybody. But I was surprised that all the times he kept saying, "Let's go, come on, let's do this." Like I was, I was surprised that someone didn't actually take him up on it and go up and punch him. Uh, now, now usually he picked his spots well, where he didn't threaten the people that he thought would say yes. Like that that guy who kicked his ass on the video, he wouldn't have said that to that guy because he he would have known that that guy number one. You know, look like he could kick his ass, and number two, probably would have been willing to. So, 
Like that, that wasn't the type of person he was saying it to. But there were some that was kind of ambiguous where I could have pictured the person he was threatening like doing it and then just – they didn't. And even like casino security, he pushed them pretty far where I was just waiting for something to happen. But somehow it never did. He, he, That's – it seriously is mystifying to me. Yeah, he ran pretty well. <laughs> he ran, yeah. He ran pretty well until he he finally uh, took a beat. All right. Uh, that's all I guess I can say about that with, with Ray. And uh, since we can't How reach him. How the fuck do you get kicked out of your own tournament? Yeah, series? that's the – I wonder if the – didn't they give him at least some preference? Then think, okay, well – he and this Frankie guy are, are in a big argument, but this is Ray's tournament, so we'll just get rid of Frankie. I mean, they can do that. They don't have to be fair. They they could just say, hey, we're going to give preference to the guy who uh, whose tournament it is here and kick out Frankie, and there would be nothing Frankie could do about it legally. Seriously, like nothing he could do. Yeah. Unless it was about, like, if it was some some federally protected discrimination class, like if you know someone got kicked out for their race or their uh, their, their sexual preference or their gender or their age then frankie yeah, could do but raymond but, davis is the one who can play that card right right raymond yeah. ray, ray was the black guy so <laughs> that, that couldn't really be accused and uh right and, and frankie you know definitely there'd be tons of witnesses that he was causing problems so there'd be nothing he could have done to the venetian for just kicking him out and leaving ray so for them to kick both of them out is so weird and and yet what I know of Ray, I could never just see him, at his, especially at his own tournament, just starting up and being a dick to someone. So I, it's just so weird. I, it, I would love to know the story. I guess we won't find out till later. So, okay, let's move on to this uh, fascinating story. And I'm not saying this sarcastically. I really mean it's a fascinating story. Of a career scammer and embezzler who committed murder and almost got away with it. And it has some Vegas elements to the story. It has a World Series of Poker bracelet winner element to the story. Has a lot of degenerate gambling elements to the story. And I found it to be quite interesting. And I thought it would be a good radio topic because of the type of stuff we discuss on this show. And of course, this is called Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And this story definitely involves fraud. Even fraud against the poker player. Though that's not the main part of the story. So, the aforementioned Guki Heimowitz, who claimed he was going to turn off the show because we were wasting too much time. I think he did. And probably did turn it off, but... Uh, no, 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 he's... Well, he, he might be asleep, but he's still in chat. He's still in chat. Okay, so... He brought our attention to a story on MSN.com, which is actually now being covered by a lot of outlets, but the MSN.com story is actually pretty detailed. About a guy who always had the desire to escape the rat race, to make his own money, not work for anybody, accumulate wealth, and then just retire and ditch out and maybe live on an island somewhere and just that type of person that per, a person who did not want to live the conventional life a person who was very skeptical of of government and corporations and just wanted to accumulate money and then bail out and live on his own terms this was a guy named chris smith and he uh he went through various uh attempts over the years to make his own money that way. In fact, I, I believe he was even a, uh, a surfer at some point, but then got injured. 
But uh, he actually ran a website, I think it was in 2006. Yeah, it was in 2006 that was called localprofit.com. It was a search engine for wholesale shoppers. Where if, uh, he actually got the idea to put this up because he had a friend who had a warehouse full of a bunch of stuff he wanted to get rid of and didn't know how to do it. And so that's when Chris Smith came up with the idea, hey, you know, why don't I just uh, start a website for people who want to do things like this? So it was a, sh- a search engine for wholesale shoppers. And in 2006, when the site was at its best, he actually made 72000 in a month, which if you multiply the – now, he wasn't making it per month, but in its best month in 2006, which is also its best year – uh, he made seventy-two thousand in one month, and you know, had it continued at that pace, in a year he could have made close to one million dollars. So, he was thinking he was on the way to the life he was always dreaming of. But uh, for whatever reason that was not uh, explained in the article, the site uh, stopped being as profitable and. Uh, really stopped working out. He also started a site called uh, Swellster, which is something about surfing, but that never got anywhere. But uh, still, he was was encouraged by that, what was almost a really big site in this local profit. And uh, he moved to Southern California to try to find connections to make to maybe start... uh, an even bigger site to, to really get something big going that could net him a lot of money. And then he could finally have that early retirement and get away from everything like he always dreamed. So finally, in 2008, he met a man named Edward Shin, who lived in, uh, I believe, Irvine, California, in Orange County. And uh, Edward Shin was exactly what he thought he was looking for. Edward Shin also seemed like uh, a very stable guy. He uh, was a, a successful high school student. He went on to uh, UCSD, University of California, San Diego. He was the president of the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity there. And uh, unlike uh, Chris Smith, who was uh, kind of an unstable he had kind of an unstable social life. You know, he, he went through girlfriends uh, one after the other, and just uh, he kind of just left led a freewheeling lifestyle. Uh, he noticed that Edward Shin was much more grounded. That Edward Shin was married. He had three kids. He was an active member of his church. So Smith looked at it and said, "Okay, this is exactly who I need—a guy who wants to go into business with me, but someone who's very stable and seems like I can trust, not just some." degenerate who will rip me off and uh, disappear on me. So they uh, discussed various ideas for websites and in April of 2009 they launched a website which actually became successful. This was called 800 Exchange. That's with letter X. 800X Change. And this was a site that did something called lead generation. You may wonder what that is. Lead generation was where they would they would find people who were interested in certain products and then sell a list of those people to companies. You know, Facebook, of course, does that by stealing your, your, your information, but that's uh, in April 2009, uh, what they would do is they would place ads 
uh, I'm not sure where they ran the ads, but they would place ads with generic services they were advertising, such as uh, refinance your mortgage, lower your credit card debt, beat the IRS, etc., etc. I guess, actually, I see where they ran. They, they ran the ads on TV, online, and on AM radio. And then people were would call an 800 number and give their information because they were interested in these services. So what they would do is they they actually weren't selling any of these services. They were just collecting people's names who were interested in these, and then they would sell these names to companies who would provide these services. And these companies yeah, they were they were a low tech Facebook right lowest of the low reselling. I mean yeah yeah. They were kind of tricking people into giving away their information that you're pretty much like, hey, I'm interested in these products. Here's my information. And then they'd hand that information over to companies providing these products. So this was actually very successful. And uh, now Edward Shin, he was the one who came up with this idea, but this was not his brainstorm. He actually worked for a company that did this beforehand. That was actually called LG Technologies. You know, LG standing for lead generation. But he had a falling out with LG Technologies, which I'll explain in a second. And uh, went out on his own and started a similar company called 800 Exchange. And yeah, they did it a little bit differently with running these these ads on, on, on TV and on the radio. But uh, it was basically doing the same thing. And that's probably where he had the contacts with these companies to, to sell to them. But they were making a lot of sales. And in the within five months of 800 Exchange, and this is in 2009, within five months, the company had one million dollars in revenue. That's pretty good. Then the second year they're in business. We're talking gross or net. Uh, I guess if it's revenue, it's gross. Yeah, and they, but it says 80 percent was profit. That's what it's uh, okay. Listen here, so they were doing very well, and then the second year that they were seems in business, ridiculous, but yeah, okay. <laughs> the second year they were in business, they were making uh, like two to three million, and uh, so they were they were doing very well. Unfortunately, unfortunately, these things often don't have a happy ending. Often, when there's a business partner, there can be problems. Well, before we get to the problems that occurred, let's go a bit. In the past, and of course, the story was from the past already. We're talking about 2009, 2010 here, but let's go prior to 2009. Let's go back a little bit further with this LG Technologies. Uh, there's a guy named Joseph, Joseph Gray, who was the CEO of LG Technologies, and he had met Edward Shin through church. And uh, Gray really took a liking to him, and Gray actually helped Edward Shin at the time, who was broke, to buy a house. And, uh, and he also gave Edward Shin a job. And eventually, Shin became vice president, and then after that, president of LG Technologies. We so, got chat problems, Drew. Oh, is it going, someone going in and out real fast? Yeah. yeah it's, it's not even intentional. Like, okay, let me see who's doing it. Let me see the call. Oh, a painless one. How dare you? This is actually a, I don't know what it is, some kind of weird bug I've never been able to figure out. Uh, see, now he's not doing it anymore. He's gone. I'm going to be nice and not say anything. <laughs> All right, so getting back to the story here. So back in uh, – so this is what they actually put in the MSN article. This is actually on MSN.com regarding how 
Edward Shin repaid Joseph Gray for doing all this for him, for helping him buy a house, for giving him a job, eventually making him president of the company. It says accurately that Shin Shin responded to Gray's helping hand by kicking him in the nuts. <laughs> it says that Shin doctored account information so that payments owed to LG instead went directly into Shin's checking account. Yeah, that was a it's a very interesting story, but that article was kind of poorly written. It was surprised they didn't say he kicked him in the shins. <laughs> I also noticed that like some parts of the article are actually repeating themselves too. Like they they, they repeat yes, a sentence twice. Did. Yeah. MSN needs a better editor. But but nevertheless, it was, at least a lot of good information was contained there. So and if you want to see the article, by the way, you can go to the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, and you'll see it right there. The thread is called uh, Interesting Story, Anyone Know Who the WSOP Player Was? And we'll get to that part in a second. But that's what the thread's called. You can find the MSN link there. So uh, Joseph Gray said, I failed to see that Shin was a wolf in sheep's clothing. So basically this Edward Shin, who seemed like this nice church-going father, was actually an embezzler. He... Uh, the guy, the guy who helped him gave him a job, made a president of the company. Uh, Shin goes and embezzles from the company. So, uh, and then Shin at some point left there, and then uh, probably you know once Gray discovered what was going on, and and Shin went and uh, you know he was charged with uh, fraud over this, by the way. But uh, eventually he found Chris Smith, and they started a similar company together, this 800 Exchange. So I'm sure at this point you can guess what was eventually going to happen to the money that 800 Exchange was making. Uh, but a little bit more about Shin. Apparently, uh, according to the article, he, quote, fleeced a World Series of Poker winner. And this is the one part of the article I really don't believe. It says, the poker player was supposedly so enraged that he considered hiring a contract killer to take Shin out. See... That sounds dramatic that he stole from a World Series of Poker winner. It doesn't say who. It doesn't say what event that person won. It doesn't say if they won the main event or, or just some other bracelet, but just said a World Series of Poker winner. But as far as the Hopefully con- it was Russ Hamilton. Yeah, well, they, they talk about the, a contract killer. How could they corroborate that story? How would they know that someone almost took a contract out on them. It must have come from the World Series of Poker winner himself. They must have interviewed him. The guy probably said, don't say my name. It'll be embarrassing for me. But I was so pissed, I was getting close to hiring someone to kill him. It's probably something like that. But I'm betting the guy just said that so he sounded like less of a mark. Because, you know, rather than saying, yeah, Edward Shin got me, he ripped me off for hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I did nothing about it, and I'm a chump, you know, instead it's like, oh, after he did that to me, I was about to have him killed. I was about to have the guy killed. Then you sound like, even though you got scammed, you sound like a guy who's not going to take it. You sound like someone who's going to stand up for yourself after that sort of thing happens to you. Sounds a lot better than, oh, I just walked away, uh, didn't do anything about it. So that, that's what I think here. I don't have any proof of this, but to, you know, otherwise, how could they know that a contract killer was almost hired? So I, I doubt one was really almost hired. I think maybe it crossed the guy's mind, but having that cross your mind and actually going out to do that are two very different things. So that's the small part, which has to do with the World Series of Poker. Uh, so getting back to the stuff that was going on between uh, Shin and uh, Smith, 
so again, Edward Shin being the embezzler and scammer, and uh, Chris Smith just being the guy who you know he had these two different businesses. One is eight hundred exchange with Shin, and then prior to that, he had that uh, one with the wholesale search engine. Uh, so Chris Smith, uh, he he was to be clear, Chris Smith was not a scammer. Chris Smith just wanted to make quick money and then get out. That was his goal. Shin was a scammer, and Shin uh, apparently had some pretty big gambling problems. That's probably why he was embezzling money. In fact, the win had... uh, It was shown in that embezzlement case with uh, LG Technologies that when this was going on, that uh, he once lost $140,000 in an hour playing blackjack... And then he wrote at least $185,000 worth of checks to the Wynn Casino in 2008 alone. So this guy, this is the guy who had a, a big gambling problem. And I can pretty much guarantee you when he was losing this in blackjack, he was not counting cards. He was a, de- a degenerate who was shooting off huge money at negative expectation pit games. And you know how that works out. So eventually Shin got to be hooked up with a man named Tom Ramey. Tom Ramey is someone who is known as a VIP host in Las Vegas. What is a VIP host? Well, a VIP host doesn't directly work for any casino, but they arrange certain services, and I'll get to in a second what those services would be, that casinos, quote, wouldn't or couldn't directly provide for high-value customers. Casinos are not allowed, for example, to get hookers for you. Casinos are not allowed to get drugs for you. But uh, they can hook you up sometimes with someone like this Ramey guy who will get them for you and then pretend they don't know. So, like a casino host could say, uh, I can't do this for you, but uh, you know, there is this guy, you know, uh, yeah, there's a guy I know named uh, Tom Ramey. If you want, you can call him and uh, leave us out of it. And then... He called Ramey. Ramey's been instructed then to give the guy whatever he wants. And the casino foots the bill. Things like that. So, um, the casino doesn't always foot the bill. You, call, you can also use these VIP hosts directly where uh, you just pay them to do what you want. And uh, a lot of things in Vegas are an illusion. A lot of what appears to be happening naturally in Vegas is all very carefully set up. So in this case, uh, what what Edward Shin wanted was to go to popular nightclubs in Vegas and have a lot of hot chicks hanging around him. But not just hanging around there. He wanted the hot chicks to be there and to have sex with anyone in his group that wanted to have sex with them. Now, obviously, these are hookers. <laughs> these these are prostitutes. That's that's what it is. You know, they're, you're paying them to show up at the club, act like they're having a good time with you, and then have sex with you. That's prostitution. But Edward Shin did not want people to know that that was the situation. So what he would do is he would invite either business partners or prospective business partners to the club. Say, hey, come you know come hang out with me at the club. There'd be you know, a lot of girls there. You'll have a good time. People show up there, and sure enough, Edward Shin is sitting there and uh, surrounded by tons of hot young chicks. 
in his little private area there with, with bottle service and you walk in there and there's all these hot chicks there and then lo and behold they acted seen a picture of this guy Druff? yes i walked into a club and saw tons of hot chicks surrounding him i mean i would assume they were bought and paid for yeah well you know what i mean well i'll, t- I'll tell you what ramey said about that so so basically you, if you walked in and, and you were invited into edward chin's little group there at the club and the hot chicks are sitting there not only uh, were they all over him, but uh, they'd be all over you. If if you showed interest in them, they'd show interest in you. All the all the way as much as if you want to go home with them and fuck them, they do it for you. And they, yeah, it's like a pre prepaid credit card, man. right? Right. They they, they weren't yeah. charging you. Like if you, you you just go in there and then then the the girls would show interest in you, and then you can bring them home, and they'd never charge you a dime, and they do what you wanted, and they were really really hot. And Shin demanded that Raimi not tell anyone that these girls were being paid. And so this is what Ramey said. He said, the illusion was that this guy was so cool that he'd just show up and women would flock to the table and fuck everyone there. So, yes, uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said. <laughs> Come on. Well, okay, but, but I can see how this – okay, but hold on, let, let's, let's step back for a second. You can see how this might – this illusion might work because obviously this guy's not getting it through his good looks. Uh, right. But – People could think, okay, this guy is so successful that hot young girls just want to be part of whatever he's got going on, want to be part of his group. And if, okay, if, if, I could, I could potentially, if it was just him, but but who is cool enough that that girls just show up and they'll fuck anyone who hangs around with him? It, it doesn't even make any sense. Well, a lot of guys are into you know, even even like uh, girls that are like uh, crew crew roadies for rock bands. You know what I mean? They're not just going to bang just anybody. There's a lot of guys out there who are delusional enough to think if I could just – like they see a guy like that Shin there who obviously is not a good-looking guy. And they say, okay, if only – if I could be part of that, if I could just go in there, if if these girls like this guy, I bet they'd like me even better. You know, if I, if I could just be seen as, you know, whatever he's got going on, if I could just be seen as part of it, I bet these girls would be into me too. It's just having access to them in some way. And so – the guys would they'd go in there and they 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 suddenly be part of this group and they'd get the impression that Shin is is so rich and so important that these girls figured that anybody who's associated with him uh, is is probably worth cozying up to as well. So so uh, if, if a bunch of girls are just fucking anyone, it's either prostitution or a cult. No, I agree. You know, I agree. I I, I, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been fooled by it either, but. Uh, um, it's, you know, again, if you right, if you're seeing everybody, like if if I moved, walked into a group like that, and like one girl out of out of the eight, uh, I started talking to her, we got along, right. and she showed interest in me, I'd say, okay, this is cool. You know, I probably if I hadn't gotten into this, I you know, I would have not had a chance with her. But you know, once I got to know her, and you're, you know, we like each other, and now stuff's going to happen. I'd believe that. But like if if I'm watching every guy there score, I go, okay, yeah, if it looks like a mobile <laughs> harem, you know, yeah, so. <laughs> Anyway, so I, I thought it was very interesting that he had that going on and that, the, that these type of services are provided. And I think – I haven't gone to many nightclubs in Vegas. I haven't you know, really – I've been to some, not not recently. No. but I can see you out there tearing up that dance floor. <laughs> what are you talking about, Drew? But when I have been there, I have walked by bottle service areas like this where I see guys sure. there who have tons of hot chicks around them. Not, not right. always tons, but yeah, three or four or five, six, and, and – and, and, the guy himself is not, doesn't look like he's anything special, and and I I, I really have you know, I think that money has something to do with it, but I I I really wasn't putting 
two and two together like he was directly paying the girls. I was always thinking like this is just a rich guy and they're these are just gold diggers there. Well, I think it's a mix. I think some are, some aren't. You know, I definitely have seen hangers on that if someone's got lots of money and always has the table, they're willing to go anywhere. It's like it's like the guy who has a boat, you know. I mean, you'll be able to get girls on there, but even Bilzerian was paying chicks to be there. Yeah. Um, but the chat is definitely messed up, Drew, by the way. Jeez. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. Let me take a look. I'm, I'm almost afraid to look at the bad news, but I'm going to go take a look. No, it's the same, same oh, it's the dude. same thing. It's the same thing. Okay. Yeah, it just, it just does this sometimes. I've never figured out why. Okay. I, I just banned him. He, uh, Painless One can be back uh, next week. It's only a 24-hour ban, and it's something I just have to do when this occurs. It's not the fault of the person. What happens is the person is entering, leaving, entering, leaving, and it's just showing that message over and over and over. And so, uh, for some reason, the chat will do this with certain people occasionally, and it makes it look like they're trying to spam the chat, but they're really not. It's not their fault. I know who that guy is, by the way. He's a good guy, but uh, he's definitely not doing this on purpose. Anyway, so... Back to the thing with uh, these clubs. When you'd walk by like a, a an area like that in the club, though, it, it really is easy to temporarily feel jealous of the person, unless you're really convinced. Like if it's a guy who's seventy years old, there, you know, these chicks aren't hanging around with it because you know, they even like if him. he was seventy, I'd still be jealous. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, but <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but but it's it's easy to see that and and think, wow, why can't I be the guy there? Why can't I be part of that group? I mean, why am I just out here by myself or with some other dudes I'm with? Like, yeah, it's natural to feel that way. I felt that way before seeing this, and uh, but but a lot of times it's not what it seems to be. Like like here, every single girl that was there was a hooker and was prepaid to bang any guy that was part of the group. <laughs> and and, and it, that, that that had, I guess, a few purposes. I think just Shin liked it, and I think also he used this as a tool to make it seem like he was important and rich. I'm sure ever, all the guys that hung around liked it, too. Yes, yes. So, uh, so it's not clear... How much that Smith knew that Shin was doing stuff like this? Like, Smith was probably invited to one of these things and, and probably banged these hookers. And, uh, but, but Smith was, you know, he was kind of a playboy himself. He had sex with a, lot, a whole lot of different girls. He was actually a good looking guy, unlike the Shin guy. So, uh, yeah, he was used to doing things like that. So, uh, it's hard to tell if Smith knew that Shin was a degenerate gambler and, and did all this other stuff, but, what is clear is that by 2010, more than a year later, but uh, less than two years later by far, uh, Smith wanted out. He wanted to just cash out his stake in the business and be done. And he wanted to be free. In fact, uh, he wanted to get his money out and, and maybe just take off for a while. And in what I think was June 2010... He did so. In June 2010, uh, he cashed out for a million bucks. He sold his business for a million dollars. I won't play the sound effect again, but he, he sold his, his part of the business for a million dollars. And he did take off. He, he met uh, in Vegas a former Playboy playmate, playmate named Tiffany. If that's not cliche, I don't know what it is. He met a former Playmate named Tiffany, and they decided that they're going to take off to sail the world. Yeah, somehow when you cash out of a company for millions, like you just 
you acquire a playmate named Tiffany. Yep. It's like a thing, you know? So in, in June of 2010, he emailed his family that that's what he's going to be doing. And then he started to email them. What Wait, was, the travel or Tiffany? Uh, both. He actually sent a picture of Tiffany and said, mm-hmm. this, is, he is, this is who I'm with. And uh, he said, this is the girl I'm with. He sent his brother a picture. And his and his dad said, "I'm proud of you, son." <laughs> and and then he started he started to send them updates of where he was going. So on July 10th, 2010, he emailed that he had visited the Galapagos, Peru, and Ch- and Chile. And that he, I have been to all of those places. The Galapagos is fucking outstanding. Really, I, I want to go there. I did it when I was in the fifth grade. Oh wow! I did a book re- I did a book report on the Galapagos. And, and it kind of stuck with me, and I was determined to go there. So I actually did a liveaboard dive trip out there. It was yeah. fucking amazing. So yeah, he went. Anyway, he went to the no, Galapagos. No, no prostitutes or playmates named Tiffany, though. Go that's, ahead. That's too bad. You missed out. <laughs> so he went to the Galapagos, Peru, and Chile. He was emailing yeah. updates to his family, and then he's going to hit twenty-five more islands. He said. He said, "I love it down here. Might never come back." And then he wrote. He wrote that on August fourth, two thousand ten. Then he put, "Ha, just kidding." Well, then it started to fall apart he sent more emails to his parents later in august of 2010 and said that he's thinking of doing the unspeakable and he started to talk about how he was feeling bad taking drugs and thinking about killing himself now he had never before been suicidal he was not a guy who's always saying i'm gonna kill myself or always close to doing it he had never acted like that before ever so they're like what the hell's going on you know, I thought he was enjoying himself down here. Right? How's it go from loving every place he's going to to feeling bad taking drugs and thinking about killing himself? But uh, he was under a lot of pressure. See, uh, apparently the 800 Exchange, thanks to Shin shenanigans, uh, they were in the process of being sued. And that uh, since Smith was a business partner, he was. Uh, they were talking about suing him as well. And also, the IRS was breathing down his neck, or I think at least he was, I don't know if they were breathing down his neck or he was worried they would, but he, he owed back taxes. He was worried that was going to come get him. So his family started to think, this Chris Smith's family think, thought that he pretty much took his million bucks and decided to just get away and never come back to the U.S. because he was pretty much run away from all this stuff. He didn't want to deal with a lawsuit or the IRS, just. He wanted to just get like, away. Like we've talked about before, man, a million bucks isn't going to last you all that long. Yeah. Especially not if you're going to places like Galapagos and island hopping on your boat, you know? Yeah. So, so, um, so, so anyway, this wasn't working out that well anymore. And uh, his brother said it felt like he was going off the deep end. Something was very wrong. So then uh, things improved. Then the suicide talk stopped, and he, he started to email again about uh, stuff that he was doing and seemed happy again. Uh, he, he, he talked about uh, how he was going to stage his own version of The Amazing Race, that uh, TV show. That uh, He claimed that uh, he was done with, the, with Tiffany the Playmate and the Yacht. He, uh, he, got, he, he got rid of those. <laughs> he didn't say how. He didn't say where they are. What if he just dropped Tiffany off somewhere in a foreign country? He's like, okay, I'm done with you. Goodbye. How do you get Bye-bye. home? I don't, I don't care. Goodbye. I'm done with you. No more former playmate. Goodbye. No more Tiffany. And the yacht, uh, you know what, Tiffany? Just, just take the yacht. Take it. Take it. I'm gone. Whatever. He, just, he, he said that he was uh, away from Tiffany and had gotten rid of the yacht. 
But he said that he is now writing from India. He said, I'll be on the road for the next few weeks. I'm going to head to Turkey, Cyprus, and making my way to Egypt and Morocco. On November 1st, 2010, he said that he had met a man uh, somewhere in one of those places and that he was going to sail with that guy to Egypt. I guess he got some kind of boat back. And then continue... Wait, he, he traded in a Playboy Playmate for some dude he met in, in Egypt? Yeah. What the fuck? So he's, he's going to go to Egypt with him. He didn't say where he met the guy. Oh, maybe, okay. Maybe in, in, still, still, still seems like kind of a yeah, down trade. It is, it, yeah. Anyway. Tur- Turkey or Cyprus. So he met some Turk and like, hey, dude... Uh, I know you're yeah, not a play-by-play play mate. Turk, you're better looking than, yeah. <laughs> than Tiffany. <laughs> I had a play-by-play play mate before, and I kind of let her go, and now I can't get her back. So eh, you're going to do. See if you can fit into this bikini there, Mr. Turk. <laughs> you know what? You fit, but you're a little bit hairy. Can, can you shave? Oh, God. Okay, so, so, this is a horrible so mental said, image. So he, he said he's gonna, it's like someone smuggling chinchillas out of a bikini. Yeah, so he was in India. I guess he met the guy in India. Probably met an Indian guy. Uh, so he says uh, he's going to be sailing with a man he just met to, to Egypt, and then he's going to eventually uh, travel over land to the Serengeti. So uh, he was emailing this to his, his friends, his parents. And uh, people were happy that it seemed like the suicide talk stopped and everything was going well. On December 19th, or sorry, sometime in December, he said that he found, quote, a conflict diamond in the Congo. (laughs) He also said he he went. You don't just find diamonds laying in the Congo. Right. And then he said, I went sandboarding. It was epic. It's just dunes of soft sand. You can get up to 40 miles per hour on it, wipe out, and it's softer than powder snow. Until it gets in your crotch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on, uh, that was on December nineteenth. He wrote that. Uh, later that same day, he said that uh, he's going to make his way north to Egypt, cross over to Spain, then head over to quote the Rica, meaning Costa Rica. And he said to his brother, "Meet Wait, me from Spain to Costa Rica is a long fucking yeah, way." Yeah, he didn't quite bridge that how he's going to manage that maybe that same okay. boat maybe that same boat with the indian guy but that would take a long time man. <laughs> but once he's in the rica uh, he, he wanted now he did give himself like two months to do it he said uh he said to his, right. his brother meet me there in february so we can surf and talk about everything so his brother paul was was excited that uh that chris was happy and that he'd get to see hang out with him in costa rica so uh he said that he'll do it so then uh Paul got another message on December 26, 2010, where Chris talked about selling Krugerrands, which is a gold coin in South Africa. He said, I'm headed back up through the Congo. I found a dealer in Rwanda that will pay a 30% markup on Krugs. Do you think that's a good idea to bring a gold Krugerrand to Rwanda to a dealer who will pay markup? (laughs) So, as you might guess... After that message, he was never heard from again. Seriously, that was the last message ever received from Chris Smith. So, of course, the assumption was that this Arwandan gold coin collector was shady and probably killed him and stole the gold coins. That's what you'd expect there, right? I don't know. The whole thing sounds fucking bananas. It does. Okay. 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 So, uh, 
Obviously, the when they stopped hearing from him after this message, they got very worried. They meaning his family. So, uh, his parents asked his brother Paul, you know, how do we find him? How do we find if anything happened to him? You know, we can't go to our, the Arwandan police. What, what do we do? So, Paul said, "You know what? Uh, it sounds crazy, but let's just find out if uh, he, he even made reservations for this." Uh, February trip to the Rika. Let's find out if they, even that was ever done. Let's just make sure that, uh, you know, we were being dealt with, you know, what, what if he wasn't telling the truth about all this, basically, you're saying? What, what if this was all just kind of made up? What if Chris was just jerking them around? They were kind of hoping that he had been, really disappeared, and they were thinking maybe, you know, maybe he really wasn't meeting an Arwandan Ar- uh, Krugerrand dealer. Uh, so, they called up the, fortunately, Paul knew the place that, uh, Chris really liked there in uh, Costa Rica. So he contacted the property and asked if Chris had ever made any arrangements for this February trip. And it was told by the property manager that no, they had not heard from Chris. Got to March, 2011. They hadn't heard from him and Chris Smith's parents reported him missing to the U S state department, but they got a very surprising piece of information from the state department. State Department investigated, and they said there is no confirmation that Chris ever departed the United States. Mm-hmm. So it looks like all those emails may have been a lie. All these adventures he had may have never happened. But then where is, this is he? Like that that chick who uh, convinced her family she went on an adventure and stayed in her hotel, her in her, her room for like two months. Remember yeah, that? Yes. It's like that. So they kind of like that. So they thought, okay, well maybe there's hope now. Maybe he wasn't really in our, maybe, maybe this is good. Maybe he wasn't in our Wanda selling gold coins to a shady dealer who killed him. Maybe he never left the U S and he's just holed up somewhere. Just, you know, having delusions yeah. about taking vacations. Maybe we'll find him. So, uh, his brother, of course, that we've got to figure this out. He said, we've got to, all these questions now about, you know, the questions meaning about these weird things, about the, the suicide talk, the, uh, the, the all the different weird adventures he's having that he never really asked his brother much detail. He said, all these questions were now like little beach balls underwater trying to come up. Like, okay, we've got to address this. We've got to really pursue all the possibilities is what he said. So they filed – they went on to file a missing persons report in – Laguna Beach, California, which is in Orange County, and that was the last place where Chris was living before he left on this global trip. Uh, not fully trusting the Laguna Beach police to do a good job, uh, his father also started his own investigation to try to find what may have happened to him. Uh, his father then met with Edward Shin, remember him? He met with Edward Shin and said, uh, what do you think happened to him here? You know, what, what, what was he telling you? So Edward Shin said, uh, you know, he said to Edward Shin, you know, the State Department can't find that his passport was ever used. So how mm-hmm. could he have gotten to all these different countries if, if his passport was never used? So Shin said, well, I hate to tell you, but Chris was actually traveling under an assumed name and a fake passport. That uh, he knew someone in Nevada who could get him all this stuff. And that uh, he wanted to basically go and hide. So okay. he said to Shin, okay, well, who, who is this guy? Who's this guy in Nevada? Shin said he did not know the guy's name. 
He'd seen him before, but didn't know his name. He said, I remember he was about five foot nine, stocky, well built, and had dark hair. That, that actually kind of sounds like uh, Frankie O'Dell. Maybe that was him. <laughs> he says, uh, Shin wrote, he wrote in a, uh, uh, another email to his father. Uh, or sorry, that's what he wrote in the email to his father. Shin said that he was worried that Smith had not been heard from in a few months. And uh, said he'd try to find this guy who made the, fi- the fake passport for him. And so Shin said he'd look for him. But then Shin sent his father an email saying, here's what I've just discovered. The guy we need to find has gone MIA and his phone is disconnected. Uh, and he says, we, we feel he must have met a corrupt gold, co- gold coin exchange dealer who either robbed, killed, or kidnapped him. So the Shin's theory was still that, uh, you know, he was traveling on a fake passport. He really was in the Congo and it went to Arwanda to sell these coins, and then someone killed him. That was Shin's theory. So the father thought something was very wrong here. He just, you know, he thought this was, the whole thing was weird, and the whole thing with this guy who got in the fake passport who couldn't be found anymore, and he said, I don't trust this guy at all. So his father went to the Laguna Beach police and gave them everything that he had uncovered. Not much yet, but he gave them the name of Edward Shin. He told them the whole story, the whole weird thing about the the guy with the fake passport. Uh, gave the name that they had and the description they had of the guy in Nevada who got the fake passport. Gave him the picture of Tiffany the playmate that uh, you know, they had been emailed at the beginning. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Chris's mom sent pictures of Chris to the State Department hoping that uh, they could use facial recognition that the scan, the scanners, the scanners there may have captured his image uh, at a security checkpoint somewhere. So they really still believed at that point that he probably was murdered by a gold coin exchange dealer who was uh, shady and just wanted to steal from him. So the person who is leading the investigation for the Laguna Beach Police Department, he might Laguna Beach is not a, a large city. This is not like uh, the Los Angeles Police Department, the New York Police Department. This is a small police department. And you may not know this, but small police departments are often not very competent because they are not used to investigating sophisticated crime. And a lot of times the officers working for such departments uh, both lack experience and they – are sometimes not the best police officers to begin with. They're not the best and the brightest of the of law enforcement working in these small, sleepy police departments. Laguna Beach does not have much crime. It's a nice neighborhood. The population is only 23,000. Wow, that's tiny. And if... You know, it, the police are not used to investigating crimes like this. They're used to investigating home break-ins, uh, uh, auto theft occasionally, things like that. Uh, they're not used to investigating complex disappearance stories like this that involve uh, a guy globetrotting and going to sell Kruger and disappearing. They're, they're not used to this at all. They're, they're very overwhelmed, and uh, um, instead of getting the necessary help to do so, sometimes these police departments just uh, they take their best shot in the dark and give up. They shouldn't. I'm not defending them. But that's the truth. You, you watch TV, you see these uh, police shows, and, and the cops are so smart and so resourceful, and somehow in the hour 
that you watch the show, they wrap up everything and they, they come to conclusions that you could never come to on your own. And it's easy to believe that's what all police departments are like. But unfortunately, the reality is, even with major cases like this, a disappearance, which could be a murder, a lot of times the police very badly drop the ball. A lot of times they're disinterested. A lot of times they're too married to one theory and don't want to look any other way. A lot of times they will just go with the easiest conclusion and just say, that's what happened, and wash their hands of it. That appears to be what happened here. So the one who is leading the investigation for this, her name is Louise Callis. And uh, she called the State Department. Have any new leads? No. Anything from facial recognition? No. Anything from hospitals in uh, any of these places like Arwanda, Chile, etc.? No. So on May 12, 2011, Callis, the detective, she emailed the parents of Chris Smith and said, the thing I really have a hard time understanding is Chris's decision to leave the country using a false passport. What was he running away from? So, uh, she, uh, she, she went on to interview Chris, uh, Edward Shin, who was the last person to see Chris alive. And she, she said to him, uh, since you were obviously the last person to spend time with Chris, because he was, you know, he was the last person he saw before leaving was Edward Shin. And Edward admitted this. He said, I'm hoping you can give me the details on how this, all this started. So, Shin explained to her that what happened was that uh, this uh, LG that he worked with before, uh, that he, o- he owed $805,000 in restitution. This had nothing to do with Smith at the time. You know, it was... Shin did this before he met Smith. But Shin owed 805000 to to LG for what he did to them. And he said that because... Uh, no, I guess he had met him. I guess that at, at one point he hired Chris to be a consultant for LG so that he had been named in the complaint and that even though the, the criminal charges were dropped against Chris Smith over this, he said that... Uh, Chris Smith was still afraid that the civil suit would be filed against him and that they'd try to collect against him. So, so basically, Chris was running away from the possibility of the 805000 coming from him. That, that you know, they'd rope him into it and claim that he was part of it because he was a consultant who was working for Shin. So Shin told uh, this, this Detective Callis, Louise Callis, working for the police department, that uh, Chris was running away from this. He, he he couldn't take it. He just wanted to get cash out and get out of the country before anyone can get his money. Uh, so then she went back and uh, read some of the emails that Chris had written from his trip to his parents and to his brother, and and saw that uh, indeed he mentioned in some of the emails he was worried about getting sued. So she says, "Okay, well, it makes sense. It all it all fits together." Uh, he he got this fake passport. Because, you know, she was wondering at first, why would he leave on a fake passport? What would be the reason for that? So, okay, we have a reason now. He left on a fake passport because he doesn't want to be found. He wants to get get away with that money, have no one ever find him, no one be able to touch it, and just disappear. And she goes and looks at the email he sent his family in, 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 over the summer of 2010, to, uh, talking about how he was nervous about the lawsuit and all that. And she's like, okay, it all, it all adds up together. And... Uh, uh, and she and she pointed to one email where 
Chris wrote, I won't be back unless I absolutely need to, regarding the fear of the lawsuit. So she said to his father, I do feel that Chris left the country on his own accord. I believe he did this because of the lawsuit he was finding himself named in. And that was that. Case closed. Few problems here. Few problems here with that investigative work, with that crack investigative work by Detective Louise Callis of the Laguna Beach Police Department. Okay, let, let's take a look here. Tiffany, the Playboy model. They had a picture of her. Cal, what, what would you do if uh, there was a person named Tiffany, a Playboy model, you had no more information about her than that, and you have a picture of her? What would you do to attempt to maybe find out what her last name is? Google. What would you do with Just Google? To, you do Google image search, man. You just upload the image. You'll find it. Right. A reverse image search. Uh, somehow, yeah. somehow, somehow, despite having this picture of Tiffany, somehow, despite the fact that she was with him for a lot of this trip and that a lot of questions could be – and she wasn't with him anymore. So you know, she'd be a great person to track down, right, and ask about this. And they had a picture of her. Somehow, Detective Louise Callis never bothered to reverse image search Tiffany. Well, Druff, in fairness. Yeah. In fairness, he did show it to the other two people that work at the police station, and they never saw her. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, so then uh, – so that's the first problem. No attempt to locate Tiffany, even with a picture of her. They didn't even go as, do as much of it as a reverse image search. Uh, next. Okay, so there's all these different places that he's emailed from, that he claims he's emailed from, but yet the State Department's saying that they don't have any record of him leaving. So there is some question, did he ever really leave the country? Was he really in these places? Now, what might be an indicator when someone emails from different countries, what might be an indicator that you know whether they are really in that country or not when they are emailing? Can you think of one, Calwatt? Can you think of a way that might be able to be figured out? I mean, I would look at the headers. Yeah. Look, look, every You can either look at the headers of the email, or since they're law enforcement, they can do more than we can. They could actually get a warrant to yeah, access. I, I think it's probably not the case that they can do more than we can. What, why is that? I, <laughs> they don't seem capable. Of doing more. Well, than they, we they could. could, not they will, not they, <laughs> not they will, but they could. They, they, they theoretically could. So, so they they could have gotten a lot more information from whatever email provider that uh, Chris was using. Yeah, as, just looking at the relay headers, you can have some idea. Yeah, the relay headers, or, I mean, or even, it can be spoofed, but you yeah, know. Well, and and they could also look at uh, where he was logging in for the IP he was connecting to the service from. You know, if it was Gmail. You know, where he was where was he connecting to Gmail from? What country was it? And yeah, again, it can be spoofed. But uh, you know, Chris was not known to be. Well, actually, I don't know if he was technical. He may have been technical enough to do it. But but at least you, you can sometimes see evidence that someone is attempting to conceal it too. They're using some kind of proxy server or whatever. So, so that is true. So so you know, you, you, there are some IPs you can see that are very unlikely that they'd be spoofed. Like if you see a, a hotel IP in. Uh, yeah, you know, somewhere in in India or something, it's it's a lot harder to have spoofed that. So so th- at least they can see something. But if yeah, if they see that the emails are being sent from somewhere in the U.S., then they they know Chris probably never left. So never bothered to look at the emails. Never bothered to look at headers. Never bothered to contact the email provider and, and get IP address. Nothing. Just never did. Uh, I mean, it sounds like they didn't really do anything. Okay. The, you know. Next thing. 
they never bothered to investigate Edward Shin any further. Again, this was the last person who was seen with him. He admitted he was the last person to have been with Chris before Chris left the country. They never bothered to even look into his record that uh, that he was uh, convicted of, of embezzlement. Were, were they aware that he was his business partner and had just, in theory, bought him out? Yes. Uh, actually, they, I'm not, they were I'm, made aware of that and they didn't investigate him? Actually, I'm not sure of that part, but but they – well, yeah, no, actually they did. Yeah, that's what it was, that he took the money and bought out. Yes. The, the, yeah, right. because, the, the, I mean, the number one suspect is you know spouse or family, and then number two is any business associates, yes. especially if there was uh, – any kind of a breakup or falling out or you know what I mean? Yeah. I so mean, so this, I, this is not uh, not rocket science. So I guess they knew from Shin's own story that he was in that embezzlement case with LG, but they didn't look, bother to look further back that he had several other incidents where he was accused of embezzlement. So he, he was a career scammer. Had they seen that, you'd think they'd be a bit suspicious that the guy who was uh, taking his money and cashing out and going on a trip and disappears, maybe you should look at the business partner a bit more. Uh, he probably just bought him some hookers, kept them happy. So, so then, then came, uh, so, so, so they totally bungled this, uh, but they bungled it even more than you might think. Uh, Edward Shin was such a deadbeat and such a sick gambler that, uh, despite all the money that the eight hundred exchange made, uh, he he chunked it all off and. <laughs> And, and and apparently got so he, he gave eight hundred exchange had to close it couldn't continue to run, and in uh, January two thousand eleven, actually I don't know how much money was left, but in January two thousand eleven he closed up the offices for eight hundred exchange abruptly, and dis- disappeared and stiffed the landlord on forty thousand dollars of rent. So Drub, this is the guy. Like if you wanted a snapshot of the guy that a lot of poker players make a lot of their money from, this is it. Right. I mean, this is it. So, so he yeah. he showed up. So he uh, he owed forty thousand in back rent for the offices for eight hundred exchange, and the owner of that office park was very unhappy about this, of course, and was complaining about this to another tenant in that office park who just happened to be a private investigator. He didn't go hire a private investigator. He's just kind of bitching about it. Ah, oh, that asshole, the Edward Shin running the 800 exchanges. He owed me 40K back rent. He just took off. Can't find him. He's just gone. Ah, oh, I'm so pissed. And so, so the investigator who, you know, got to know him over the years, him meaning the, the owner of this office park, his name was Joe Dalu, the investigator. Joe Dalu said to the owner of the office park, hey, you know, let me, I'll do you a little favor. Let me just, uh, let me, quickly look into him, see if I can maybe find him for you. So he looked into both Edward Shin and Chris Smith, because he thought Chris Smith was involved in disappearing too. Uh, so they uh, they investigated a bit, and they saw that uh, Chris Smith was missing for a long time. And they thought, hmm, this is, this is kind of weird. So Shin packs up and leaves, just packing, you know, leaves closes the business and runs off. And then about six months prior to that, uh, Smith was, uh, you know, supposedly was away from the country and then was missing, uh, has been missing since December. That's, that's kind of a weird coincidence. You know, he thought would, any of us would think that he's got to be connected or if it's not as a coincidence, a pretty big coincidence. So, uh, he said that, uh, you know, why don't we just go in? 
let's go into the office that they you know stop paying rent on. Let's see what we can find there. So he asked. Uh, no, wait a minute. D- Dalu asked the guy who you know Dalu, the, the investigator. He asked the owner of that office park. Well, what did the police say? What did the police say when when you left them in there to investigate what was in there? Did they find anything unusual? He said that he offered to let the police into this office that Smith and Shin shared together, and the police declined to go in. Wow, these guys are just fucking brilliant. The police think, no, nothing to see here. Wait, don't you want to see the office that he shared with his business partner that uh, is a case of embezzlement? Uh, The last guy to see him alive? No, I don't really need to. It, it, it jives with the emails. You know, the story that the partner gave and the emails, they, they match. Oh, we don't need to do anymore. That, that's really what happened. So so the police had never gone in there. So the PI said, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Oh, well, let's go in. Let's see what we find. So they went in. They opened up the office door. And uh, there was no electricity there. The electricity had been shut off, so they're shining flashlights around. And then they see small, dark stains in a lot of different places that look a hell of a lot like blood. So all these months, it had been sitting there with blood stains all over this office that they shared together that the police never thought was important enough to go take a look at. They didn't even want to walk in. Like the guy's like, hey, come on in and take, take a look at the office. No, no, we don't need to. It's fine. You know how you can sue doctors for malpractice? I feel like there should be some way to to file a lawsuit against the police for shit like there this. Actually I mean, give me a fucking break. There actually is. There is really. There is, but it's it's hard to win these because they can yeah, always make up excuses for why they went a certain way. But yeah, so so the of course the PI at that point and, and the office park owner went to the Laguna Beach police and said, "Hey guys, you kind of missed something." So the police went down there, and it wasn't just. So first of all, they found. Blood on the light switch, on the door jam, and then they also found blood stains on the walls of the. Bl- of this the bra- guy not try to clean anything up. I guess he did, but did a poor job of it. So there's blood stains on the, on the walls of the break room in the hallways. They also found that uh, there was blood stains on Chris's office door, and and spots on the carpet, and that uh, right above Chris's desk, there were blood stains on the ceiling. So they got the blood, sent it off to the lab, and I, I know you're absolutely shocked, but the blood was Chris Smith's blood. So, looks like that trip never took place. That uh, Chris died in June of 2010. And it turned out that uh, when they looked into it further, that Chris was uh, trying to cash out his uh, portion of the company, which was worth a million dollars, and that he was meeting with Edward Shin to get that finalized. He was supposed to cash out, and then uh, he hadn't told people he was going to leave the country, but it was believable knowing him, but that, that, that he was meeting him, and that... Uh, Shin had uh, told everybody they'd go home early that day. So everybody else who worked there had gone home early. And then Smith supposedly got his million dollars and then took his trip and emailed everybody over the uh, next few months. But in reality, Shin murdered him 
and obviously never paid him the million dollars. And the police are idiots in Laguna Beach. And the police are idiots. And all these emails were actually sent by Shin, who got access to Smith's computer and his email, and just kept firing at the emails, presumably right from his own office. And uh, Smith never left the country. Smith never even left the office until he was dead. And then they, upon further investigation, found that uh, shortly after that, that uh, I guess Shin had hired a cleaning company to to clean the offices, which I guess didn't do a very good good job, and that he had uh, turned off his cell phone one day, just turned it off, wasn't accessible, but then it was very briefly turned on at 2.30 a.m. in a very remote area of the desert in East San Diego County. So he turned it on to make one call. I think he had to call uh, the rental company or something that he had rented it from at 2.30 a.m. Maybe he was having a problem. I don't know. But he called, He quickly turned it on to dial that and then turned it back off. So suddenly he just appeared there shortly after the disappearance of Chris. Uh, suddenly appeared there in uh, East San Diego County in the desert. wonder what he was doing there. You think he was just looking at the stars? Just taking a little time away? So they never found Chris Smith's body. They arrested Edward Shin, and uh, upon looking for Tiffany, the playmate, what about her? A simple reverse image search showed it was just a generic model's picture on the internet. Imagine that. Uh, now, they they actually had been questioning Shin, but they didn't arrest him yet, so... On August 28, 2011, Shin decided he's going to take off and was about to uh, board a flight to Canada. And they arrested him at LAX before he could do so and charged him with murder with special circumstances for financial gain. By the way, these special circumstances in California allow the person to be charged with the death penalty. So he was interrogated then by the Orange County Sheriff's Department, who took this over. And finally, Shin admitted that, yes, Smith was killed that day. But he claimed it was during a fight, that they had an argument. And uh, actually, what he originally claimed was that uh, Smith was pissed and started just trashing the office because he was so mad about, uh, yeah, they couldn't come to an agreement. And then after they were arguing about after Smith trashed it, who should be responsible for the cleanup of the office, and that's when they started fighting with each other. Give it up, man. Jigs up. And so he claimed that uh, they they were charging at each other like rams (laughs) until uh, he punched or shoved Smith, who fell backward, hit his head in the corner on a desk, and then he landed on the floor. He was breathing heavily, uh, bleeding heavily and barely moving, and then died. Then Edward Shin claimed he was so scared that he would be blamed for premeditated murder rather than just uh, you know an unfortunate circumstance in a fight between two business partners that he called a friend named Johnny Vegas Caponin. I don't know if he's actually from Vegas, but Johnny Vegas is his Vegas is his nickname. Johnny Vegas Caponin. For help with, quote, garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. So that, that Johnny Vegas supposedly told him to leave the office unlocked. 
to meet an associate with of his in Los Angeles, give the associate uh, ten or fifteen thousand dollars. He didn't say which one, and uh, that Johnny Vegas would show up and just make the body disappear. Well, Johnny Vegas is a real person, Johnny Vegas Capone. And so they, the and police... incidentally, this is exactly the way innocent people behave. Yes. Yeah, so, so Johnny <laughs> Johnny Vegas Capone was called by the police, who said, "We have no idea that like I know I know Edward Shin, but I never." Got rid of a body from this is crazy. Like, it's absolutely never happened. Uh, from what they could see about Shin, like with a cell phone showing up in East San Diego County the, you know, the day after, the day after this happened, it was clear that Johnny Vegas probably hadn't done this. They also found uh, traces of, of the blood in Edward Shin's car, which means again, it wasn't Johnny Vegas disposing of the body. Then they asked him about these email messages. They said, "Well, okay, if Chris Smith died that day, were you the one who sent the email?" So Edward Chin said, yeah, I did. It was me. So they asked, well, why would you have done this? And uh, he says, well, I, I was nervous. I, I didn't want people to ask where he went. Uh, they would have, of course, suspected me. So I, I just tried to do this to get the heat off of me. It was an accident. That's the only way I could prevent a murder charge, is what he said. Mm. That was his exact words. That was what was claimed. So... Uh, so they, they said that uh, his attorney, his attorney is named Alan Stocky, S-T-O-K-K-E. I think that's how you pronounce the name. Now, Stocky, uh, the, 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 the spelling of that name, S-T-O-K-K-E, I immediately recognized that as, as a pervert on the internet. I recognized that name. Do you guys remember? Allison Stoke. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Stoke, is that how you pronounce that? I don't, I, I don't know, but all I know is she's hot as shit. The, the hot pole vaulter chick. From about ten years mm-hmm. ago, if you if you Google Allison S T O K K E, you will see the hot pole vaulter chick. There, someone took a picture of her like getting ready to pole vault. And Trust, it, she's one of the reasons why I would never need to go to a prostitute. <laughs> so, so a lot of people were were very very uh, enamored with her, and it, it became a, a, a an internet sensation. And then kind of morphed into you know, feminists. They always had to ruin the fun. Feminists were complaining that. Uh, she was an example of the sexualization of high school female athletes. So they, they used her as an example of how female athletes are not being taken seriously for their accomplishments, that they're just being sexualized. I took her very, very seriously. I bet you did. So, so but anyway, this, it's not a coincidence it's the same last name. This is her father, of all things. This guy's attorney. Uh-huh. Alan Stocky or Stoke, however you say your name, he's, he's actually one of the, the two attorneys representing Edward Shin. And he argued at a preliminary hearing that even though Edward Shin did this whole ruse of the, with the world trip, that that doesn't mean this is premeditated, that he actually uh, did this to cover up after the fact, after an accidental killing during a fight. So he said, uh, Edward Shin is culpable for manslaughter at most, said uh, Alan Stocky, and uh, uh he made no comment on uh, whether or not uh, either Smith or Shin had ever jerked off to his daughter's picture about 10 years ago. <laughs> okay, so at, oh, at, uh, I hope he doesn't sue me for this. So, at, at, uh, so the trial for Edward Shin was delayed a lot of times as there were a lot of motions over evidence and all that nonsense that goes on. But it finally w- was, was set to get going in January of 2018, this is over stuff that happened in 2010, 2011. Finally, January 2018, it, it, it was starting to get going, and then it got delayed again. 
apparently there was a jailhouse informant as well. And this, let, let's talk about this Edward Chin for a second. This was not a criminal mastermind. This guy actually left blood all over the office. I guess he hired him to clean it. If he can get caught by the Laguna Beach police, he's fucking definitely no mastermind. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So he didn't clean up the blood well. Whatever he hired to do, like, whatever got done, like, it was cleaned up very poorly. Uh, He he apparently uh, never faked the email. Like, he didn't put any effort into faking the emails of coming from internationally. He just wrote them, and the police just never checked. Uh. Everything he did was sloppy. He had he had blood still in his car. He uh, he really did nothing to nothing clever here to cover up the crime. It's just the police department was even dumber than he was. That's the only right. reason he got away with it. And the only reason that he ever got arrested and charged was because he stiffed his landlord of forty thousand dollars, who just happened to have a PI in the same building, who decided to help him out. And Oops. they and, and when they went in and found this, otherwise he wasn't going to go in. Like the landlord actually was not going to go in there. I guess he may have eventually, but uh, um, but who knows? Yeah, he may have just sent cleaners in there who just wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have seen it. Uh, but the, the ones he hired to clean, you may wonder why they didn't report it to the police. The ones he hired to clean it, uh, he told them that he cut himself like when he was working on something there, and they bought it. Right. So they probably like oh, okay, whatever, as long as you pay us, we don't care. So. Uh, it turns out he, when he was in prison at some point, I don't know when, but after this had occurred, Shin stupidly shot his mouth off to a jailhouse informant. <laughs> I don't know if this is someone they actually planted there with him or just a guy who happened to oh, be there and, and, and heard things and then tried to negotiate with, uh, but whatever it was, this informant apparently really heard things from, you know, he didn't just make this up, he, you know. Shin really did shoot off his mouth about having done this. Shin also wrote a weird blog uh, in, in the time between where he was uh, uh, under suspicion and, and, and officially arrested. Yeah, I read the t- It's called like Mr. Shin Credible or something yeah, cheesy yeah, like that, yes. right? Yeah. And he wrote really weird things. Uh, yeah, called Mr. Shin Credible. He wrote one blog there, one entry there. And he wrote, no matter if you are a hardened killer hanging on the cross just a few hours away from your death or born into a good Christian home whose family guides you to Jesus before you even commit serious sins, we are all people. So, yes, I'm sorry, and yes, one day I'll make good the best way I can on the things I've done. It's kind of this weird thing he wrote before, uh, get, shortly before getting arrested. Uh, the MSN article said that... Uh, uh, as a murder mystery, ultimately Smith's did not befit Sherlock Holmes. It could have been cracked by Scooby Doo. <laughs> Shows you how uh, how much respect the author had for the police department there. Yeah, even Shaggy could have solved that between hits from his bong. Yeah, you know? he said, uh, "Zoinks! We never went, we never went in to check uh, <laughs> to check their business, the place of business." Oh, Shaggy, yeah. let's go in there. They'd have to be wearing some kind of mask, though, right? Oh, dragon! Smells <laughs> like blood. Zoinks! Blood! I'm getting out of here. Yeah, they really could have done a better job. So, uh, so apparently, is a jailhouse informant, and uh, so a second attorney, Ed Welburn, who wor- works with. So Alan drops, I gotta know, Thelma or Daphne. I- I'm a little confused here. What are you asking? Daphne. Oh, oh, from, Daphne. Oh, oh, you mean Velma, not Thelma. 
Velma, sorry. Yeah. Velma or Daphne? Oh, a Daphne for sure. Really? Okay. I mean, I, Velma's personality is better, but, but, but Velma was not attractive. There's also the rumor she was a lesbian, too. That's the other problem. How can there be a rumor about a cartoon character being a lesbian? Well, because people are trying to figure out, you know, like, there's kind of like Ernie and Bird on Sesame Street. Or were they gay or just rumors? Oh, my God. Yeah, well, like, it, was never, it was never part of the show, but, you know, people theorize. So people theorize two, about... Two Muppets can't live together just to save money on rent, man? What the fuck? They can do both. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So I mean, you talk about spoiling someone's childhood. I mean, come on. So a- anyway... The jailhouse informant, uh, his attorney, his, his second attorney, who also worked with Alan Stocky, uh, Ed Welburn. Ed Welburn was complaining about the informant and was saying that, and this is part of the delay that was occurring in January 2018 when the trial was about to get going, said he doesn't want any of the informant's information in court uh, unless they share exactly what the informant said. Because that's its requirement that uh, the defendant has to have access to all evidence against him. And uh, they can't just surprise him in court. He has to. He has to have a- access to this to, to defend himself. So he was. His attorney Ed Welburn was cl- complaining that they were never provided this, and whenever he tries to get it, the uh, DA won't give it. So the DA actually gave an interesting response, saying, "All right, well, you're right. We're not going to give it to you, but we're also not going to use it. So since we're not going to use it, you don't need it. We will not use it in court. Whatever we gain from this, we're not using in court." It may have clarified some things for us, but as long as we don't, as long as we do not use any of the information we got in court, uh, you have no right to it. So, uh, I, I don't believe they were able to get it for that reason. But there was, there actually was a jailhouse informant. Now, when I read the name Ed Welburn, I go, wait a minute, I recognize that name too. I knew an Ed Welburn in high school. He was in my grade. I, I knew him. We were never friends, but I knew him. I said, could it be the same guy? I looked up. Yep, it's the same guy. So of all things, it's two attorneys. One of them is the, is the dad of the hot pole vault chick. The other, the other one's a guy I went to high school with. Mm. And uh, some of you might know, uh, if you're a football fan, you may know of Ed Welburn's younger brother, John Welburn, who was an NFL player for nine years. So a lot of these weird coincidences here. But anyway... Uh, as far as I can tell, the trial is still ongoing. As far as I can tell, the you better hope you are never a victim of a crime in Laguna Beach, or it's never going to be solved. So, and we never found out who the WSP winner was. Now, some people have said maybe it was Russ Hamilton. No, Russ Hamilton is like never in Vegas anymore. And also, Russ Hamilton is so shading himself. He's such a con man himself. There's no way he would have fallen for you know some right. low low rent uh, con artist like Edward Chin uh, cheating him out of money. There's no way he would have fallen. It, the person who fell for this is someone who was just an idiot poker player who had too much money and too little sense. I hope it was Annie Duke. <laughs> See, for the same reason, it probably wasn't her either, but. Yeah. Now, someone said maybe Jamie Gold. <laughs> I mean, probably not, but I guess it's possible. But look, it could be any World Series of Poker winner. It could even be me. Maybe I'm just too ashamed to admit this, that uh, maybe I was trying to invest in 800 exchange and I get ripped off. You never know. No wonder you're stealing money from people when, who win the free roll. No, no wonder I'm covering this so much on this show. Yeah. When it has so little to do with poker. You don't know. So I, I thought there are many fascinating aspects of the story. The, the, the police's complete incompetence. 
I mean, you, you, a lot of people realize the police in real life are not quite as competent as the police you see on TV, but you don't expect this. This, this was just <laughs> gross incompetence. This is mind-boggling incompetence. This is just worse than you could ever imagine the things that they didn't bother to do, where they could have reverse image searched the last, you know, that woman who, who was with him on his trip. They're trying to determine, did he take the trip? Well, here's a picture of a woman who took the trip with him. Okay, we're not going to look into who she is. Like, they don't bother to go into well, the office? Especially when they said, did they say the state, they, the, the detective called the State Department and said they did an image search of him in all these countries? Right. So then, well, this girl was with him. I mean, wouldn't that be the next obvious thing to say? Right. How, how could they never have looked into it? And a simple reverse image search would have shown it was a, a generic picture stolen from the Internet. Uh, then, uh, you know, to not look at the IPs here? I mean, how could he not? This is basic stuff. This is super basic stuff. If you gave me this case to investigate for, like, an hour, I would have, I, I would have said, this is what we need to do. And I would have, like, listed these things to do. And I'm not a uh, – obviously, I'm not a detective. I'm not someone who works in law enforcement. I would have listed things to do that they didn't do right here within an hour of reading this case. I'm not exaggerating. And well, you, you, you quizzed me. It didn't take much to figure out what, what the right thing to do was. Yeah, I, I mean, mean you know? this is insane that they could just they, – they take emails that were falsified and say, oh, it matches with the other guy's story. All right, nothing more to do. You want to see the inside of the office? No, no, that's okay. Maybe blood in there. No, 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 that's all right. Don't need to see it. Well, she probably got the case. She's just about to retire. She she Googled Chris Smith, 20,000 Chris Smith popped up. She's like, forget oh, about yeah. it. <laughs> She's like, God damn it. I, I was hoping I'd get Google solving this one for me. Yeah, it has to be a common name. It, it couldn't be Todd Wittellis disappearing as the only one in the world. It has to be Chris Smith. God damn it. So that, that was uh, – so that that part was incredible. The whole thing with the the Las Vegas uh, VIP host who hooks up these you know, these guys with hookers in the club that pretend like they're interested in the guys and, and then uh, will screw anyone in the group. That was an interesting part to me. Uh, I, I thought the whole story was very fascinating. So you can find it again in that thread on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum called uh, Interesting Story. Anybody know who the WSOP player was? And the answer is no. We don't know who the WSOP player was. And uh, now we shall move on. We spent over an hour on this topic, too. Yeah, that was a long one. It was a long almost, one. I almost didn't make it. I thought, I thought it was an interesting topic, though, so I, had to, I wanted to cover it. It's also kind of a slow news week, to be honest. But even, even in a non-slow news week, I would have. Okay, let's, let's get to a lighter note here. Let's get to something a bit more... A bit easier to laugh at without is death. This Kate being Hall. Yes, because like there, All right. there, there's, there's, this is why I stayed awake. Yeah, see, there, there's <laughs> there there were too many death stories in, already. Yeah. We, we've done four topics. One was about me embezzling money from the free roll. One was about uh, a guy being a guy dying on Mount Charleston. One was about Ray Davis being supposedly threatened and ejected from his own tournament. Mm. And, and and one about the, the career scammer who, who almost got away with murder. So this has not been a very light show. So we have to go to a, a lighter topic that might make you smile. And who else to go to but Kate Hall, who, who provides us with uh, hours of entertainment here. Unintentional. And Druff, after you do this intro and kind of set it up, I've got something for you to Google. Oh, great. Okay. All right. 
So th- this is what Kate Hall, who I, I really hadn't been following much of. In fact, I found at some point, I forgot when it was, but I had noticed like for a few months that I hadn't seen anything of her on Twitter. I wonder if she blocked me. She hadn't. But I found that she actually had gone kind of quiet on Twitter where she went from like tweeting several times a day to just tweeting about like once or twice a week. Then I, I, I stopped looking again because I'm not constantly following her. I just I, Basically, if I see something pop up on my feed that's funny from her or someone – what was she again? She's like uh... – what, what did she self-diagnose herself as? Some crazy oh, uh, thing? She, no, she what, said what she, was, she, she was autistic at one point. She just decided. Oh, that's she's, right. She's autistic. Decided she's autistic and wanted to announce it to the world. So that's right. So, so I hadn't seen anything from her in a while, or what I had seen wasn't interesting. Whatever it was, I hadn't really thought of her much in a while. And then someone brought my attention to this tweet on April twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen, at nine twenty one p.m. Pacific time. Life update. It's always good. Life update. Living in a commune with a bunch of 25-year-old poly, meaning polyamorous, geniuses. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, uh, so she's... How old is she? She's in her 30s, She's right? in her 30s. I, I think she's like 32. She now lives in a, mm-hmm. a commune with 25-year-old polyamorous geniuses. Man. <laughs> So, She's going to be getting that that little punani is going to be getting pounded. Right. So, so bunch of twenty five year olds. God so, damn. So this. So then, uh, I think Andrew Barber, bless him, he asked her, one of the rationality houses in the Bay. Like, how does he know this? What, what does that even mean? <laughs> one of the rationality houses in the Bay. I don't know what that means. And I, how does he know this? Like, how does he know that's where she is and 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 what that is? So she actually writes, <laughs> yes, he he got it right. There you go. So he says, very cool. I'd like to hear more about your experiences as unfold. He's like, <laughs> very cool. Uh, tell me about it. <sighs> tell me about uh, your experiences there. <sighs> That's probably what was going on. But uh, So she wrote, it's only for a month-ish, possibly moving permanently after the World Series, though. So she's going to test it out for a month. And... Uh, Provided that she likes uh, living with a bunch of uh, 25-year-old polyamorous geniuses, uh, it may be a permanent thing for her. bunch of 25-year-olds, man. I mean, they're going to tan her pussy like a hide. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that, that thing's just going to be. Mm. But all right. So I got I got something for you to Google. Before, before you get the, okay, so, okay, so, okay. Someone go, responded go. back. I didn't understand like if they're being serious here or not. I, I hope I hope they're just. I hope this is some joke. I'm not totally getting. Uh. Rada Wilanowski, a, a woman, uh, Rada Wilanowski wrote, we keep talking about trying to share a large house and garden and, and some like, with some like-minded friends to share pet care, garden care, cleaning resources and time and energy, but do nothing to make it happen. Uh, nice to hear people actually realizing it. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, she's saying, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm in a commune with a bunch of polyamorous people, you know, 25 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know. Maintenance I, and garbage is what this is about. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's cool. I'm so glad some people are finally getting together to do some gardening work and cleaning and pet care together. I've always been wanting to do that to lessen my own burden. I just never get around to doing it. Boy, Kate, you're, you've really come up with some good ideas here. <laughs> no, that's not exactly why she's living there. So... I mean, one wouldn't think. Well, you know? but, but maybe, but this is what she says back. She says, that's the beauty, though. You can swap duties and contributions uh, and live in a clean house and uh, and not have to clean. 
<laughs> so I guess that's a fringe benefit there that you, you you don't just get banged all the time by a house full of 25 year olds. You, you also share the cleaning with them. I mean, isn't that just called the roommate? You know, minus the polyamorous stuff. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know why you can't do the regular roommates. Like, why, why do you have to bang them to share the cleaning and stuff? That's uh, so. Uh, so they're, they're uh, so there's just like discussion back and forth <laughs> with various people. Like, not one. I guess it's because she blocks anyone who's like slightly critical of her. Not one like raises issue with this. Going, what are you doing? Like, what made you go do this? What made you go live in a house, a commune with polyamorous people? And what's, how is what's this the working? date on the tweet, Jeff? Uh, April twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen. So now you want to show me yeah. something? Yeah. What? So, well, first of all, there's a tweet. I don't know; it may or may not be related, but there's a a tweet from her on April nineteenth that says the chick at the dispensary gave me two edibles and a pre rolled for free. Does this constitute a legally binding marriage contract? So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's related in some way. Maybe she's getting baked out of her mind and yeah. decided to go join the the commune. I don't see that tweet anymore. Is that still up? Oh yeah, it's up. Yeah. yeah. Unless the Weird. only way it's not still the only way it's not still up is let me go see because I I had it sitting. No, on, no, I see it. I okay. see it. Life update. Yeah. Living in a commune with a bunch of twenty five year old poly geniuses. Yeah, and there, there's there's not that. Well, draft, draft. Maybe she means polytechnical institute geniuses. <laughs> it's right. You're right. It could be. Maybe that's. Uh... So what I want you to uh, go to the Skype chat. Okay. And what I pasted in there, it's quote Kate Hall end quote polyamorous commune, and just put that into your Google search. Okay, I see that. Okay, I'm going to do now that. This, I this freaked me out. I this really freaked me out when I saw it. I can't wait to see what I get here. You guys can do it. <laughs> what? Sorry, it comes, so, up, it, comes up with so, one, it comes up with one thing. I'm afraid to click on it. Uh, oh, yeah, that's exactly my reaction, man. You're used to Google coming back with like 50 million things. It comes back with one thing, and it's this bizarrely named, you know, MP4 video HD format, you know, whatever. I haven't clicked it yet because I don't want to know. And then it but says, when Go- when Google comes back with one thing and it's something like that, like I don't know, man. It's weird. It's like, yeah, one single result, and it says Julius Polk of all things. Maybe it's related to Doug Polk. Julius Polk video download MP4 HD MP4 full HD 3G. I bet if I clicked on that, the whole radio will crash. I'm afraid. I'm very afraid. How does Kate Hall polyamorous <laughs> commune come up with one result, and it's that? <laughs> Is what I want to know. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> so this this is what I'm, I'm wondering here. Okay, so let's let's back up for a second and think about this. Let's say you actually have a desire to get into polyamory, which, to be clear, is not the same as swinging or wife swapping or all that. Polyamory is actually where you have several girlfriends or boyfriends at once. And you actually have romantic relationships with all of them. So it's not just the sex part. There is sex too, but it's supposed to be sex and love. So it'd be like like a guy who has uh, four girlfriends at once that all know about each other and are all okay with it. Uh, that would be polyamory and also those four girlfriends. They may also have other boyfriends. So that, that's different than like swinging where you, you, you take your wife or girlfriend – uh, to meet up with another couple, couple and swap uh, for the night, but there's no romance to it. You're just doing it for sexual variety, and then you leave, and, and, and that's it. This, this polyamory is not just about sex, or at least so they say. 
so, okay, so let's say you have an interest in that. Let's say you want to do that. I would think that the right way to go about it would be just, you know, finding others who are into it and, you know, establishing additional relationships above the one you already have. So you have one girlfriend, maybe you want to have three or four girlfriends. You, you find three or four girlfriends, you know, all of whom are okay with the situation, and have them and just you know split the time, whatever the hell you do. Uh, maybe even don't split, maybe have sex with them together, whatever it is. I would think that would be the more healthy way to go about this, if you even could ever call this healthy. But to go to a commune with a bunch of people who are, quote, polyamorous geniuses, a bunch of 25-year-old polyamorous genius. This just sounds like it's an orgy. This this just sounds like it's it's just, you know, everybody's there to to love one another, especially physically, and it's just going to be like banging a bunch of people who live there all day and all night. So that's what you have to think is happening there. And I'll say something else. From everything I've observed of Kate Hall, even though you would expect this of her with all the talk of uh, sexual freedom and polyamory and uh, um, she's proud to be a slut and uh, all the feminism and all that. The one thing that we've never seen from her was any claim that she is bisexual. Never. Never any talk about anything with other girls. Never talk about attraction to other girls. Never. No, no type of lesbian or bisexual talk ever from her. All the... Crazy stuff she said, never mentioning that once to where I was pretty convinced that she was just 100% heterosexual and just was not interested in that at all. Even though, yeah, philosophically. She likes the sausage. What's the matter with that? No, nothing's wrong with it. I'm just saying that despite the fact you'd expect this of her, it seems like she is not interested in that at all. So it makes me think at this commune, it's not even like she's, uh, you know, she she probably isn't like having threesomes with her and another girl and one guy. It probably is like a whole bunch of dudes (laughs) that are. That are getting on that. It's so strange. Why well, she- here's the thing, though, Druff. If if it's a group of 25-year-olds, right? And we don't know what the mix of men and women or whatever. But, like, bringing a, a 31-year-old in the mix, like, I- unless the other girls that are there, I mean, she's definitely gotta, not going to be the, the new hotness. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, who knows what they look like there, though. You know, just be, like, you picture true. 25-year-olds, you just automatically picture, like, they're, they're all, like, really hot 25-year-olds, you know. It, it could just be a bunch of 25-year-olds who with various uh, right, levels right. of attractiveness, and maybe she is one of the more attractive ones there. So I, I understand your point, but it, it's just such a weird thing to do to just get up and, okay, I'm, I'm just going to move to a commune with a bunch of 25-year-old uh, polyamorous people. I'm going to try a month here. And, it's uh, her autism. <laughs> Let's try a month here. Is flaring up. Well, we'll give it a month. We'll see. We'll see if we'll see if I'm sore. We'll see if I can still walk in the morning. <laughs> if I can, then I'll, I'll play the World Series. And the World Series, I'll 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 stay at the Rio at the World Series. I won't uh, take a break from this, so it doesn't distract me from from my tournament game. And then, uh, since uh, be another ten and a half months of the World Series comes back when it's over, uh, maybe I'll consider returning and uh, making that my my permanent home. Very strange. And then she announces it on here too. It's not. It's not even like she's like just quietly doing that's it. That's the thing, man. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if this is your personal thing and this is what you want to do, then go do it. Like, why is this 
Why are you tweeting this out? Because, because everything has to be announced with her. She, she wants everything to be you know? announced and everything to be... She, she wants everyone to talk about it. I mean, that that's why I'm largely dismissive of her, because it seems like everything that she's doing is just, you know, drama and attention. It's You know? Yeah, I, it, I don't get it. it, it there really are plenty is. of people that, that live their life and do all sorts of various things, and they're not you know, they're not tweeting it out to get attention. For right. It. I, I bet a lot of those 25 year old poly geniuses, I bet a lot of them, everyone who knows them like at work and have no idea. Like I bet a lot of them are kind of quiet about what they're doing, but she, she like the second she moves there, she's got to let everybody know <laughs> that she's, she's living with them. So that's, oh, this is great that, uh, Andrew broke guy from thinking poker. Yeah. He re- he read that same tweet that you did about the whole cleaning and stuff. And, uh, he said, was intrigued until you said cleaning. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out if maybe it's just some like tenth level joke I'm not getting. Maybe this Rada Wilowski, like, she's got such a complex sense of humor, I'm not getting it. Like, I'm thinking, is this like a joke? Like, oh yeah, we keep thinking of of of, of, of doing the same thing so we could get all the cleaning and pet care and garden care done. Good, yeah, good job, Kate. That's a, I, I'm thinking, is this being like, is it kind of like a little joke there, like pretending like well, that's that- a I mean, that's the thing. I mean, maybe, you know, we're we're thinking about this polyamory that it's all about sex. Maybe it's that boring <laughs> that that all they're doing is they're sharing pet care, garden care, cleaning resources and time and energy. You know, <laughs> Kate's just sitting here. She's sitting here in Las Vegas going, oh, something's missing in my life. I know what it is. I'm so tired of walking the dog twice a day. I'm so tired of caring for the garden and then cleaning and then uh, if only there were a way, only there were a way to cut these chores in half, or maybe a third, or a quarter, or by tenth. Ha ha ha! What about a polyamorous commune? <laughs> this is great. This is—I don't know if you ever read that story that I sent to you, but uh, this other guy, uh, Willie Mc, uh, McFML. Do you yeah, know who yeah, that oh, is? Oh yeah, yeah. He's a listener to the show. Yes. He's... <laughs> this is hilarious. So it starts out so innocently. Innocently. Next thing you know, you're getting the Vanguard's initials branded on your pelvis. Yeah. That's uh, that chick from Smallville that ended up being part of the Nexium cult or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. This is. <laughs> I mean, you know. It's entertaining, entertaining, just like a train wreck is entertaining. I, I like this guy writing. Like I, I like how it attracts these pervs who, who like really want to hear about it and jerk off to the like they they want to hear about this from a sexual standpoint, but they don't want to say so. So like this guy right. Harbs X A X H A R B Z Harbs X H A R B Z wrote. I would appreciate. Sorry about that. My my, I, I never. I, I ordered the new plug in the mail, but I, I didn't connect it in time for radio. I, I didn't right. try it yet. So we're on the old plug. So I put, plugged it back. So he wrote, "I would appreciate a longer description of how this is. If you are inclined <laughs> to write one, sounds very intriguing. Especially interested in any changes in mentality and things of that nature. Yeah, I'm sure that's what you're interested in. You're, you're, and her, please, please say it very slowly. Her, her changes in mentality. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's what he thought about when he read about this. It's like use condoms. <laughs> Please give me a description of how this is. Just uh, if you're inclined oh to write God. one, just, just uh, I'm, I'm intrigued because uh, you know your mentality might be different. And make sure to let me know of uh, you know, just uh, every hour of every day what you might be doing, especially if you're with other people. Uh, the lights might be off. Just, I'm just interested to know. 
Someone finally just said it. Someone says, uh, congrats on the sex. <laughs> Someone just responded back. Well, Andrew Barber, the, the guy that we had on here before, yeah, he seems very supportive and interested. He wants to hear all about it as it unfolds. Yeah. I think he's talking about the story, the whole unfold <laughs> thing, but I'm not positive. Um, and then, of course, Justin Bonomo is, you know, he's he's all into it and interested, too. Yeah, this this whatever. So so yeah, so somewhere in uh, <clears throat> the Bay Area, San Francisco area, and uh, I, I would like to see, not necessarily this one. This one would be a good one because Kate's there, but I would like to see how one of these operates. Like I just like to see like a webcam on one of these things for twenty four so hours. The next, the next Big Brother. Yeah, but like they mm-hmm. don't, but they don't know what's there. It wouldn't be fun if they knew what's there. Like there's a uh, webcam there that they don't know is there, and, and you could just. See, I bet you it is boring as fuck, man. It's probably it probably is a lot of like pet care and swapping chores and <laughs> bullshit like that. The, yeah, probably there probably is. is a lot, I know there probably is a lot of boredom. That's a sad thing. There probably is. So that's going, what's going on with Kate Hall. If you see her at the World Series this year, where she plans to be, maybe you can ask her about. It. Maybe she'll be at my table. I, I've never had her at my table, but I could. Now I'm not playing as many no limit events this year, but you know, never know. I, I might get her at one of my tables and. I'll ask her, hey, so how, how's it going? How, how's the commune going? And she'll say, is there a way to block you at the World Series? Ask to see her brand. <laughs> She's got the Vanguard's initials. Uh, okay, let's let's move on here. Uh, let's see, the chat room is saying, uh, FPS Rush is saying, I'm guessing she's a tease. Maybe she's one of these chicks who finds dudes that can financially dominate. Yes, it's the thing. No, I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh <laughs> Grenada Rogers says, I just woke up. Would you mind repeating the last two hours? Bony finger Kate Hall. Is she swapping what in exchange for cleaning? (laughs) 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 That's basically the story. She's just, I don't know, man. Like as much as I would love for this to be incredibly salacious, I really do have the feeling it's probably just mostly boring as shit. It probably is. That's probably why she's already like getting into the cleaning already. She's probably like, yeah, the cleaning. Yeah. That's a really good part of it. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the cleaning. Really enjoying cleaning less. That's, that's been so far the best part. Okay. Can, can you imagine there's some guys that decide to get involved in this polyamory stuff, and they're like, oh, sweet, this is great. We're going to have you know some different different chicks every night and everything. And then they get there, and the, the women just have like a cleaning schedule. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like, God damn it. The guy's like, hey, so, so you're so you know? you ready to share? Oh, yeah, I am. So, okay, you clean the toilet downstairs tomorrow on Monday and Friday, and I'm going to clean it on Tuesday and Thursday, and she over there, she's going to clean it on Wednesday and Saturday. He's like, no, 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 I, you know, can, can we uh, have some fun? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you get to have a lot more fun because uh, the, the pet care now we're going to be sharing. And she's like, oh, my God, why did I come here? <laughs> I think that would be great. The dudes ended up getting duped. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well, why, why, do you, "Why is this called a polyamory commune?" Then, why, where's the polyamory? Well, because we we all love sharing chores. We all love the extra time we get. Okay, so in Nevada, where Kate Hall is no longer, if you want to gamble when stoned. Uh, you may not be able to do it anymore, according to a new state law. So uh, since marijuana got legalized in uh, July of 2017 for recreational use, the Nevada Gaming Commission decided that 
it was high time. Yes, I said high time. That, <sighs> that they add some regulations about this. Now, why would they want to do this? Well, there are actually regulations on the books in Nevada that if a casino notices that a patron is very, very intoxicated to the point where he cannot make rational decisions, that he is to be cut off. This actually was a point of contention in the famous Terrence Watanabe case of 2007, one of the biggest whales of all time, who lost his entire family fortune to Caesars. Mm. And uh, you know, he was one of the dumbest gamblers ever, apparently, too. He's like horrible at all the games he played, too. So he was actually the only Caesars chairman-level card holder in history. Chairman is above seven star. He was the only chairman ever. He demanded that he had something above seven star, so they gave him chairman. The amazing thing is, somewhere in his family lineage, like someone did something pretty impressive. Right? It, it was to actually his dad. That kind of money. It, it was actually you know his dad. I mean? Yeah, his dad did it, and then he just chunked. Was it all his off. dad still alive? No, his dad was dead. So, oh. uh, he, so he should get out of his grave and just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> he should. I thought that too when I read it. Like, oh my god, if he could only yeah. see what happened, like the so. He chunked it all off to Caesars in, in 2007 and uh, also took out a marker for additional money and didn't pay that. So it was like a, a double lawsuit. It was a, a suit and a countersuit where he was suing Caesars for giving him tons of alcohol and pills to stay totally out of it and be more willing to chunk off money. And uh, <clears throat> Caesars was suing him for unpaid markers. So they ended up both agreeing to walk away from it, that they – Agreed not to try to collect his markers. Also, he had no money left, but the, they agreed to, get, to drop the markers, and then uh, he agreed to drop his case against them. So in most cases, though, the casinos don't really follow this very much. They really like when people are drunk. In fact, that's the reason they serve drinks at these casinos is they want you to be intoxicated and be more uh, willing to bet and also be less skillful when you do. So – that's why they give the drinks. So there's a, the problem is it's very difficult to specify in legal language what constitutes someone being too intoxicated. It's not like driving where there's a certain blood alcohol level. The casino just ha- they can't do any blood tests of anybody. All they can do is look at the person and how they're behaving, and they have to make a subjective judgment as to whether or not uh, they're too intoxicated to play. Because they are, people are allowed to gamble when a little bit drunk, just not a whole lot drunk. But it's, it's, it's not – there's no direct line between not you know, a little bit drunk and a lot drunk as far as uh, how someone's behaving. So it's, it's, it's kind of just a, a judgment call on the part of the casino. But Nevada does have a law – that the casinos are to cut someone off who is noticeably drunk and not not take their bets anymore. But as I said, this is rarely adhered to, especially if someone is betting big. If someone is you know, betting the $3 blackjack table, they may be more willing to get rid of them. So Nevada Gaming Commission was looking and saying, hey, wait a minute, what about the pot now? Since recreational marijuana is legal in Las Vegas, what if someone's really stoned? So they have amended the rule on gambling while intoxicated to prohibit casinos from allowing the super stoned to place bets. How do they know? They say people who appear visibly intoxicated from cannabis 
should not be allowed to gamble or consume alcoholic beverages. However, it was not stated how they are supposed to determine this. Is it because yeah, they, exactly. Is it because their eyes are red? Is it because they're they're laughing too much? Is it because they keep saying whoa? Is it uh, is it because they they keep asking for brownies? Is is it because uh, they they're, they're pondering really strange things at the table? I, I don't know. I don't know how they're supposed to determine that the person is too stoned to gamble. So this is something that's in the law, but it's going to be very hard to enforce because they're not even clear about what the casino has to specifically look for. Just that uh, the casino ha- – what they're basically doing here is they're putting something additional in to where if they find the person is intoxicated in any way, they're supposed to deny it. So if, either, if it's from alcohol or it appears that they're just really, really high, they're supposed to say no. So this way the casino can't get out of it by saying, well, we we can tell he hasn't been drinking. He's not exhibiting behaviors that, that drunk people do, so it's okay. So they're basically saying now if, if, if the person seems to be exhibiting strong indications of stereotypical behavior of heavy marijuana use, that they also are supposed to not allow them to place bets. So uh, I don't know if this is ever going to really be enforced. I don't know if they're ever going to clarify this. Uh, it's also... Trader Ruski, you're fucked. <laughs> it, it's also being... Uh, it, there's also some question as to whether casino staff are even going to be trained to learn how to identify those who are high on marijuana. You may say it's obvious, but you'd be surprised how... Naive people can be. I remember in college. You know, Druff, I'm starting to suspect that it's not actually tea that Trederuski drinks when he passes uh, out. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Go ahead. In college, yeah. In college, I, I remember I was walking down the hallway in my dorm, and I smelled marijuana coming from under the doors of the usual suspects. No big deal. I was used to it. And I see the resident assistant... You know, the guy in charge of the hall, a little bit older than us, and 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 some girl that uh, also lived on the the other end of the hall, and they're going, they're sniffing, they're, and they're, they're sniffing something in the air, and they're kind of standing by the vent. So I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "There's something wrong with the vent." I said, "Why do you think that? It's that smell. Can't you smell it?" So I go, "Yeah, yeah, I can smell it. It was totally a pot smell." 100% of possible. I, I knew right away. I mean, I smelled it walking over there, too. I said, yeah, I, I smelled it. They said, yeah, that's, we, we think the vent has a problem. It might be burning. It might, it might have a problem. We, we think that the, the heater's broken here. I said, you, you think that's what you're smelling? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, so you've never smelled this before until now? No, no, we've never. They, they, they said, we really think there's something wrong with the heater. You think something's wrong with the heater? I said, nothing's wrong with the heater. They said, how can you be sure? I said, trust me, nothing's wrong with the heater. So what's the smell? I said, okay. I, I really don't want to say, but let, let's think about this for a second. Forget the heater. Figure out where the smell's coming from. And think about who lives on this hall and where the smell is coming from. That's all I'm going to give you. And they were still confused. And they weren't screwing with me. Like They were, re- they were really, really believing that the smell of marijuana was something wrong with the heater. In the hallway. 
So I was amazed. And this is from someone, I was someone who never smoked pot in my life. And I knew this from just uh, exposure to it, both in high school and college. And this, one of the people there was a resident assistant who was like, you know, 20, 21 years old. So, anyway, they, they never, uh, they apparently haven't trained anyone on this yet. And it's not clear if they really are going to be banning anyone at any casinos or if this is just a rule in the books that's not going to be enforced. The American Gaming Association, which is kind of a consortium of casinos, a lobbying group of casinos, uh, they had an event last year that was intended to promote responsible gaming where marijuana is sold legally. So they actually even uh, addressed it. So uh, now keep in mind that any casino that knowingly allows a patron who is intoxicated in any way to gamble can get in a lot of trouble. But uh, they usually don't get into that much trouble. For example, there is an intoxicated gambler who is allowed to keep playing at the Rampart Casino in Las Vegas, which is a local's place. And the I don't know how, but somehow the Gaming Commission found out about it. And somehow they were fined. Not somehow. They, they, they found out about it. There was an investigation and they were fined. So how much of a fine did the Rampart Casino pay for allowing an intoxicated gambler to continue playing? One million dollars. Uh-uh. Not a million. Not a million divided by ten. Not even a million divided by 20. They, they paid a whopping $25,000 fine. Which is nothing for a casino. So, needless to say, if that's the type of fine they're paying, then it's worth taking the risk to win the additional money from these gamblers. So, they... There was a statement regarding the marijuana situation. Uh, decades ago, you would never think that anybody who was impaired from anything but alcohol, not anymore. Society changes, Las Vegas changes, and we change with it. So this is basically they're saying that uh, before they're just looking out for drunks, but now there's so many things you could be impaired with, especially marijuana, with it being legal, that uh, they've got to focus on that. Personally, I'll be surprised if any high people are prevented from gambling. I think the casinos have a lot of excuses as to why they claim they will claim they did not recognize it. No more Calwatt. We have lost him. He just typed GTG and left. <laughs> he didn't even say goodbye. I just, it's okay, Calwatt. You can interrupt me and say I've got to go. He just typed GTG and hung up. He's just gone. I don't know how he makes it to three... Three forty-five. <laughs> well, he doesn't. Drink, he doesn't drink tea. That's how. That's true. Okay, so uh, Dive Bar Dave in the chat room asked, and you may know this. Uh, actually, I, I doubt you do. Even though this is a place you're familiar with. He says, "Anyone ever do the bed type assigned a check-in at Golden Nugget?" Now, uh, I doubt you've ever done that, right? Uh, no, I mean I usually have the room already taken care of. Right. So, so. Let me tell the listeners what that means. It's it's something that's getting more and more common these days. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of unhappy to see this 
gaining prevalence in hotels. But this is what's known as run of the house, which sounds like a good thing. Like, you all get the run of the house. It sounds like you have control. It sounds like you, you're someone special. No. Run of the house means that the house being referred to is the hotel, and they are running it, which means they control everything. So it's a special low rate you can pay, run of the house, to where they decide what room you get. So it's not even just bed type. They they can give you any room they want, and you have no standing to say, this room sucks, give me another room. Now, the room has to be functional. They can't be a room with a broken toilet, or, or uh, a sink that doesn't work, or shower that doesn't work. You know, the, the, it has to work. The, the room has to be functional, but if it's next to something noisy, if it's on a low floor, if it has a terrible view, uh, whatever it is that you find undesirable, tough luck. You, you are getting the last priority for rooms. Now, if the hotel is wide open, then they probably will be able to switch you. But uh, if it's not, they are going to give you the worst room and you have no right to complain. That's what run of the house is. Run of the house or bed type assigned to check-in translates to we are giving you the worst room available. So you have to keep that in mind when you're saving money. And I've never done this. I never would do this. It's not worth it to me to get a hotel that's uh, where the night of sleep will be bad or something's undesirable about the room. So I don't know if you can sometimes talk them into switching you, but I have to guess that they're wise to that and they probably code somewhere on the reservation, do not switch this person. We're giving them the room that they're stuck with. So I wouldn't do it. It's, again, it's not just the bed type assigned. Now, you can call up the property and ask them because sometimes run of the house and bed type, type assigned at check-in are two different things. Sometimes the bed type assigned just means that they'll give you whatever they have left between two queens or, or, or one king or whatever, you know, whatever else they have. So you can ask that, but you, you, you really should make sure that and, and find out from someone who's in the know there, like speak to a manager. Ask them, if I do bed type assigned to check-in, I don't care what bed I get. Like, let's say you're by yourself. You probably don't care if you got a queen bed, a king bed. It doesn't really matter. You're by yourself. But you need to ask them, does this also mean I'm giving up my ability to switch rooms if I get a room I don't like, like on a low floor or, or too close to the ice machine, too close to the elevator, something else noisy, whatever. So you, you need to find that out before agreeing to a low price. My Jewish grandfather had a quote that I really like. He, he died 37 years ago, but uh, the quote stuck with me. He said, I'm not wealthy enough to afford a bargain. And it means what you think it means. That uh, Sometimes the cheapest rate is actually the worst deal. Sometimes you're getting less than what you pay for, even though it's the least costly. So, beware of that. And there's often a lot of ways to get discounts on hotel rooms without having to resort to things like that. So, beware of the run of the house rate and bedtime bedtime assigned a check-in. Just find out from them beforehand if you have a right to switch rooms if you don't like the room you get provided you stick to whatever type of bed that they put you in. But to me, this sounds like a last priority thing. To me, it sounds like run of the house. 
775 fraud 55 anybody wants to call in 775 372 8355 poker stars has grown poker stars is now a substantially larger gaming company because they have spent a lot of money to acquire a large UK betting firm called Skybet. If you're in the UK, I'm sure you've heard of Skybet. If you're not, you probably haven't. But uh, they acquired Skybet for... $100 billion. No, but it was billions. $4.7 billion they spent to acquire Skybet. So they they're really expanding the stars group they also have recently acquired uh crown bet or sorry no they didn't acquire crown bet they they also uh what else did they acquire they acquired some oh well, it was uh, it was crown bet they acquired crown bet and william hill australia not the whole william hill but the william hill australia uh in australia so the Stars Group now has a strong Australian presence. They have a strong UK presence now. I'm not just talking about poker. I'm talking about uh, gambling, online gambling and sports. And they have poker stars. So uh, they've gotten much larger. And they are now the world's largest publicly listed online gaming company. Skybet, by the way, is a large and growing brand of uh, online betting, mostly for mobile betting. They've actually uh, passed in revenue uh, William Hill and Ladbrokes, which were once the, the huge players there in the UK. So they, the Stars Group, they, they're not satisfied with just being poker. They, they want to become a, a big family of brands providing gambling in, in several markets and uh, of several types. And this is actually bad news for poker because uh, it means they're caring less and less about poker. Poker is getting less to be less and less of their core business. And there's a lot more money in online casinos than there is in online poker. Also, in online casinos, you don't have to deal with uh, ingrate uh, online players, poker pros who think that they're owed something. And I'm not even saying this uh, derisively. I mean, I, a lot of these guys had a good point that they got screwed by stars with that supernova elite crap they pulled. But uh, as far as the way the company sees it, they, they don't like their customers telling them that they're owed something. So with casino betting, there isn't especially online casino betting. Rafi Ashkenazi, the Stars Group's CEO, you know, Bezov resigned given the uh, insider trading allegations against him. He said, the acquisition of sky betting and gaming is a landmark moment in the Stars Group history. Sky betting and gaming operates one of the world's fastest growing sports books and is one of the UK's leading gaming providers. Sky Betting and Gaming's premier sports betting product is the ideal complement to our industry-leading poker platform. The ability to do to offer two low-cost low acquisition channels of this magnitude 
provides the Stars Group with great growth potential and will significantly increase our ability to create winning moments for our customers. So what they're trying to say here is that now they have a much bigger pool of players they're going to reach. Not just poker, but also uh, sports bettors and, and casino ga- online casino gamblers. And that they can drive all of these people to their various products. <laughs> they say that it'll significantly increase our ability to create winning moments to our, for our customers. No, it's not. They want to create losing moments for their customers. If it's winning moments, then uh, they're not going to be making much money. What they're trying to say is that now we can get the sports betting guy to play poker, the poker guy to, play, to sports bet, etc., etc. We now have a much larger customer base. He also said, following this transaction, the Stars Group will have significantly enhanced scale and a highly regarded global brand portfolio. As a result, we are well positioned to realize our vision of becoming the world's favorite internet gambling destination. Now, Richard Flint, who is the CEO of Sky Betting and Gaming, said this. Of course, he's uh, British, so we have to do this in the proper voice. We are delighted to join forces with the Stars Group. We've had a fantastic last few years, and I'd like to thank CVC and Sky for supporting us in becoming a leading online operator in the UK. This transaction allows us to offer our best-in-class products to the truly global audience. We're excited about our future together. So... Stars is growing. And I don't think it's going to be good for the poker pro. The bigger they get, the less dependent they are on poker, the worse it is for poker players. Some may say, wait a minute, maybe it'll bring more sports bettors into Stars. Yeah, maybe, but the, the, the point is that they're going to become more and more like casino games. That's why they're, they order, they already have things like the spin and goes and, and, and they were increasing the rake. They're, they're doing things that uh, they think will extract the most money from recreational players and make it more and more difficult for the pros to withdraw from the site. They're not stopping withdrawals, but they're making it to where the fish are losing their money elsewhere. And that's not a good thing. Bottom line is they, if they care less and less about the poker product, then that's bad for the poker pros. Unless there's like a real influx of people who are coming on to, to poker stars who are recreational players with a lot of money to burn. But I don't think that's what's going to be happening. I don't necessarily think that they're going to be linking the platforms. I think they're just, they just have customer data to where now they can get their customers to try their various products. But you don't think they'd have one account that would support both? They could, but I don't think that's where they're going right now. And and I I think that, I mean, it it could eventually happen, but I I think it may be more likely to happen the other way to where they can start enticing uh, poker fish to start chunking off their money in sports or in, in the casino rather than being dead money on the poker site. Uh, if if there's a way to quickly transfer wins from these places to stars, that could help. But uh depends the way the whole thing's done. I mean, yes, I, some of the best poker sites I've played on were ones attached to sports books. I'll say that. 
But uh, yeah, it, and imagine if a bunch of them had Vegas to win the cup, five hundred to one, and they have it this year. Yeah. And Truff, let me ask you a question. Speaking of Vegas, if you were, were thinking about going to Game Two Saturday night, they just announced like an hour, right, a couple hours ago, when Game Two was going to happen. For StubHub, would you buy the tickets like right now because they just announced it? Wait till tomorrow. Game one's tomorrow night. Okay, yeah. So, so he's referring to for those of you wondering, he's referring to the Vegas Golden Knights in their second round playoffs. They they beat uh, the LA Kings four zero and moved on. So, so he's asking when, yeah, as far as using StubHub to buy tickets to the Golden Knights playoff game for game number two on Saturday. Uh, when is the best time to do it? Is it your question? Yes. Okay. Yep. So I sometimes am afraid to give advice about StubHub because if I'm wrong, it, it, it people feel like they got screwed. But it, it, I'll, I'll tell you this. Something that's unpredictable, like the Vegas Golden Knights, which is a new team which did far, far better than people expected – and where there's a lot, a lot of excitement about it right now, uh, that can be difficult to predict. Whereas uh, a team that's been around for a long time, that makes the playoffs most years, uh, there you you get it gets a lot more predictable about what you can expect with with the ticket price pattern. So, the more predictable the ticket price pattern has been on StubHub, the smarter decisions you can make to get the very best deal. This is why, with the Dodgers making the first round of the playoffs so many times in recent years, they had done this uh, five years in a row, from 13 to 17. They also did it in 08 and 09. So I had so many of these to draw from, these uh, National League Division Series, that I really got good at noticing the patterns and figuring out kind of exactly when to buy tickets. And I got some spectacular deals as far as the seats I sat in. So, but however, when the Dodgers made the World Series, which is the first time they'd done so in, in 29 years last year, uh, there was no StubHub back in 1988, so that was unprecedented territory, and that one, it was kind of tough to feel out. I ended up getting a great deal, by World Series standards, to uh, to see Game 6, but uh, I, I thought I might not be able to go at all, just because it was so expensive and it was too hard to determine a pattern, so... That's why I'm giving you this caveat to my advice in that uh, it may end up being completely wrong. In fact, I'll show you. Tom Petty, right before he died, played in Los Angeles. My sister had a desire to go see Tom Petty, and I, I kind of did as well. Not necessarily with her, but you know, I, we had both had some desire to go. And she wanted to go on a specific date with, with her friend who, uh, who was having a birthday on one of the days when uh, Tom Petty was playing, which was the very final day of his concert. So I gave my advice about StubHub, but did put an asterisk on it that I, you know, that with concerts, I, I haven't bought many tickets on there, so I'm not as familiar with that, so beware, I could be wrong. So for the first two days he was playing in, in L.A., Thursday and Friday, my advice was correct. Just wait kind of to the last minutes, not the very last minute, but, you know, the fairly last minutes and, you know, maybe six, seven, eight hours before the concert, and you get some spectacular deals. So I told her, you know, so far so good. Thursday, okay, it's a weekday. Maybe it wasn't that people weren't that interested. But Friday, which would be a very popular day to go, 
uh, the same thing happened. So I said, great. But when it came to the Monday concert, I think there's also like a Saturday concert. So that one, the price never came down. And then Monday, that was the most expensive of them all. And that never came down. In fact, it went up and they ended up never going. And they were, uh, my sister wasn't mad at me because you know, she knew I, I warned her the whole way this could happen, but she's a little disappointed that the, the trick didn't work. But I, I warned her beforehand that, that you know it may not go the way I, I think because I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with the demand for Tom Petty or, or for concerts in general on, on StubHub. Well, what ended up happening in that case was that uh, there was such good word of mouth about Tom Petty's concerts on Thursday and Friday that people started posting on Facebook and Instagram pictures of being there and, and saying how great the concert was, and all of a sudden everybody wanted to go who before hadn't really considered going. So that's why Saturday and Monday the price went up instead of down like we expected. So that was an example of one where I got it wrong. So going back to the Vegas Golden Knights, um, the prices on StubHub go down because you're dealing with a lot of individual sellers. StubHub is used somewhat by ticket brokers to sell tickets and also somewhat by just individuals who want to sell their tickets. Uh, the ticket brokers don't flinch very much. The ticket brokers are willing to eat tickets that they don't sell rather than sell for bargain prices. But the individual is not. A person who wants to sell their tickets on StubHub to the Vegas Golden Knights game number two, they realize that the ticket value will go to zero once the game is over. So they've got to sell it at no matter what price they get for it. So at first they, you know, they, they have a dream about what price they can get, then eventually they don't get it and they have to go back to reality and then, you know, keep lowering the price. There's also a feature on StubHub you can put to where the, the price lowers automatically as some time passes. So what you're looking to do, you're playing a game, a game of chicken with the sellers where you are waiting until they panic and lower their price. So you let them panic first that they can't sell before you panic that there's nothing left to buy. Because the truth is there's, there's always something left to buy on StubHub. They, they almost never completely sell out where there's no, not a single ticket left. And usually for most games, even like very high-profile games, you can buy tickets. It's just a matter of how much it's going to cost. So the problem is you often cannot get an idea of whether you're going to see a big last-minute drop in price until the last minute comes. Now, if it's getting closer and closer to game day and it just seems to be going up, 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 that's a bad sign. If it seems to stagnate, then you're you're in good shape. So I would to, to answer it, I would you're you're going to be taking a risk here that maybe you're going to pay more than had you buy it right now. But if if I was interested in going to this game on Saturday, game number two, I would not buy right now. What I would do is I would wait and I'd start watching the price like a hawk, and I'd start watching. Initially, it may pop up, like you said, it was just announced when the game's going to be, so it may pop up initially. But then watch if if it seems to stagnate and the price isn't really going up for the seats you want to sit in in general. They kind of hang there or even start to go down. Then that's a very good sign that you're going to get some great last-minute deals. Then what you need to do is starting the morning of the day of the game. Like What, what time is the game? 5. 5 p.m. Okay, so... Um, and I assume for this, there's there's no time limit beforehand. Like regular season baseball games, they make you buy it six hours beforehand. But playoff games, they don't. Playoff games, it's all the way up until the the game. So I assume with this, it's the same thing that you can buy it all the way up till five p.m. But I would start 
watching this maybe – I mean I'd watch it the whole time. But I would start – my advice would be provided the price is stagnating that uh, that, that what you should do is – Wait for it to fall. You know, expect that you're going to get your best deal probably sometime late the night before, like after 11 p.m. the night before, or more likely the morning of the game. Uh, and and uh, also, you know, let, let me. Brandon's calling it. Maybe he he may know more about this. I mean, he may not more know about StubHub, but uh, let, let me put him on here. So Trade Risky, uh, I'm going to. We're having a trouble here with this call here. I'm going to I'm going to connect Brandon on and connect you. So you can right, you, cool. hang, you hang up. Okay, Brandon. Hello. Hi. Hi. We're gonna tra- connect on Trader Ruski. Maybe you can give your opinion on this too. I, I think. No, I, I I'm the one going with him. Oh, you're going. Okay. I I would advise. I, that's why I'm calling. I mean, I was listening. While... But uh, yeah, I was curious. I've never I have never bought uh, via StubHub for a game, and he was texting me. You know, he's. Is he on the line? Yeah, yeah, What's yeah, happening? Yeah, What's happening, yeah. hey, buddy? So I this year, as I've gone to games, I just had a connection. I had the same seat every time, got a great deal. Um, but since it's the playoffs, and the guy that has the season tickets has other friends and family, can't you know? I can't get those seats for game two. And Trader Roos is going to be in town. We both wanted to go, and uh, they, it's really weird. They just they announced basically two days ago when game one would be. But they didn't. They wouldn't announce when game two would be. And this is really how genius Las Vegas is, and, and just in general thinking about it. The re- I read an article just now on Yahoo Sports. The reason why game two wasn't announced until today, and why it's Saturday at five p.m. is because the city and, and just you know T-Mobile Arena, and you know which is owned by MGM, and all the, that encompasses that. We're in negotiations as to what time. To have it start, not because of the TV schedule, but why do you think? What do you, what do you think played a, 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 the heaviest role in determining the time slot? I, I think they wanted people to be gambling. Able to, yeah, get yes. out. They, they wanted yes. to get on in time to at, at the right time to gamble. Yes. So they had determined if it started at seven or seven thirty, which is commonly when night playoff games begin in that time zone. Uh, ten o'clock, ten thirty, you know, possibly eleven would be too late. People would be tired. People, you know. Would be inebriated, and <laughs> for business too. wise, it was it was ideal for this game to end at seven thirty or seven forty five. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like that, and that's that's what it was. Yeah, which they, is they, genius. That means perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I talked about this last time when I was on on the fraud show. The way this stadium or this arena is, it's unlike anything else. Where literally you walk out of this arena, and you're surrounded by a few bars and and just you know pubs and things like that. But within two minutes, you're inside New York, New York. And you know, or to the left of you, two minutes you're inside Monte Carlo, and you know you have you know, all the gambling. I mean, it's it's amazing the restaurants. I mean, when these games have been over in the past, what I've done is I've walked to New York, New York, and I've gotten an Uber from there because parking there I think is like thirty bucks a game. It's insane, and then you don't want to drive your car, you know, even and park somewhere nearby because the traffic is is terrible. So I take an Uber, you know, back to like wherever I parked, whether it's the Rio or. You know the Palazzo, whatever it may be. But when I'm in New York, New York, walking that Uber, I mean, you would just think you're in, you're still in the hockey arena. I mean, there's just thousands upon thousands of, you know, you see the Vegas Knight fans, and then you see you know whoever the opposition is and their jerseys as well. It's nuts. I mean, it's brilliant. 
you know, remind me, you know, I probably will forget this, but whenever the quarterly results come, I guess the third quarter and fourth quarter of last year at New York, New York, I want to see how much of a difference it is from 2016 to 2017. Cause I bet it is significant. Well, I mean, I, there, there aren't that many games though. That's the one thing that uh, would bring it down. But, uh, what are you? There's 41. I mean, that's, you know, 41 and then you count the playoffs and then you count the, uh, yeah, but it's over a long period of time. Exhibit. It's, it's 41, not, not crammed into two months. It's 41 crammed over, like over a long period of time. So that's, well, I mean, well, it's 41 crammed from October to April. I mean, yeah, but I, I still think, and I get what you're saying. I still think it's significant enough that it'll be noticed. I, I, I really do. I mean, it's, I it's, it's definitely. I don't. I don't argue. It's it's very smart what they've done, and I'm sure that it has created a, an uptick in revenue on on those days. I, I'm sure if you compare those yeah. those days compared to non game days, they probably do much better. Well, yeah, of course. A Tuesday, you know, a Tuesday in October. Who's going to be at New York, New York? You know, I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. Besides just the normal. But anyhow, getting back to the original question. So I've bought tickets on StubHub, and I agree with everything that you've said. And I actually told Trader Ruski to bring this up on radio with you to get your insight. Uh, most notably in 2015 when Florida State played Auburn in the Rose Bowl in, in your section of the world, um, I got amazing seats literally about an hour before the game started on StubHub for I think it was like $225 each. It's a national championship game in college football, and we paid five, a little less than 500 for two tickets. Yeah. So, you know, and I've done that before for college football. I've done it for, you know, pro sports, but never for a hockey game. So when Trader Ruski found these seats, you know, on StubHub, I immediately said, well, ask Druff, I don't know if we should buy now and just hope we get lucky uh, or just wait. Now, I know and I told him this, that just like you had just said, uh, in all actuality, it's it's a zero chance that it's going to sell out. I mean, that there won't be any seats available. I mean, there are seats available, you know, for every game of the first round. Yeah, there's always seats It's just available. a question of if it's going to go up or go down. Yes, so that's the question. Yes, and I so, so so right. I would say here that watch the prices again. If it stagnates or, or or starts to trend down, then that really means that someone's you just got to wait and then start start eyeing the seats. Like you 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 pick seats there that you'd like to sit in. Like oh, these are the type of seats I think I want to sit in and for the type of price I'd probably want. And start watching those specific seats. And there will be new ones that'll show up there too that weren't there before. But but start of watching course. those. And if if those start to disappear where there's almost none left. Then it's probably time to pull the trigger and buy if that happens. But if there's still plenty of them left, then you're probably in good shape. And I'll tell you, like what I did for the World Series uh, for the Dodgers, and of course this was a new experience for me, StubHub World Series. Uh, game one in Dodger Stadium, insane. The, the, the worst, the worst seats in the house for a minimum eight hundred dollars. Like the terrible nosebleed seats were eight hundred dollars. No chance. Uh, anything that was that was good was was two thousand or more. So forget it. Game, wow. t- game two, same thing. Forget it. Uh, ga- then they came back for game six, and because the Dodgers were down three to two and people were demoralized, uh, the, the prices. Wait, they were down three to two. Yes, and people were demoralized. Yes, that that's happened. insane yes. in itself. I'm sorry, that is insane. Yes, so you're one game away from just forcing an epic game seven and people are demoralized. Yes, yeah, so people that's were when demoralized. Your fans need you the most. So, that's nuts. So, so, so the the prices for that game. We're falling. Well, there's two things. First of all, people were demoralized, and second, people figured, why go to Game Six? Either they're going to lose and be out of it, or they're going to win, and then that's not the significant game. Then they're going to Game Seven. We might, so we might as well either go to Game Seven or not go at all. 
So we, because we either, we're either going to be at the wrong game because uh, we won't be at the final one, or we're going to see them lose and be out of the playoffs. See, so I don't think that that's the thinking of a true fan. Well, I, that wasn't my thinking. I just wanted to go to a no, game. No, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying that that thinking yeah. you described. Well, well, that was the the problem was it was so expensive that the true fans weren't the ones there. It was mostly people who were just rich. There's a lot of money in L.A. People just wanted to be there. So, right. So uh, anyway, I oh, watched, I remember when they showed that final game seven that. They kept showing the fa- – I mean, it was the who's who of, you know, everybody. You know, they kept showing every actress and every actor right. and so, this so, guy and that guy. So I was watching the prices fall at the last – I watched this as soon as they got down 3 to 2. The prices immediately started to take a dump. And then it's, it started to trend down, trend down. And I'm like, I want to go to this game, but I, I, I can't buy a ticket yet. I just, I just think it has further to go. And I kept waiting, waiting. And the problem was I, I don't live that close to Dodger Stadium. So And there's traffic and it takes a long time to get there. So – Still, when it was the very last minute to leave, I still was not convinced that it hit the bottom. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to buy seats. I'm going to bring my iPad. I'm going to get in the car and drive. And as I'm driving, every you know, every minute or so, I'm going to keep hitting refresh, 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 and see uh, – the, the, tar- I targeted about you know a, a number of different seats that I'd like to sit in. Any of them I'd be happy with. I just needed one. I was going by myself. Uh, so I, I targeted a number of different seats I'd be happy with, and I was just going to keep refreshing, refreshing until every one of them but one disappeared. And then once – once, or if the price stopped going down, it started going back up. So that's what I was, I was looking for. But as long as the prices were still falling and there were still two or more of those uh, seats available that I, was, that I would be happy with, I was just going to keep refreshing until it went down, down, down as I was driving. And I was doing that, doing that, doing that. And finally – uh, a seat. Finally, it came down to uh, some seats that were all together, but they were willing to sell them in ones. I think it was like I think it was like a one and a two or so. Whatever. What, what, they, there were seats that were available. That uh, it was the last ones that were available, and I bought them for slightly under eight hundred dollars after fees. Or the one, the one seat, and it was on the front row of the load level. Behind first base. Wait, was this? I'm sorry, I lost you. Was this game six or seven? Six. So, so I was on the front row of the load level, which is the second level up. It's it's still a low level. The the field, the bottom level. The load is right above that, still pretty low. Then above that is the blue reserve. That's already getting pretty high. And there's the top deck, which way up there. And then of course there's the uh, uh, the bleachers, which way back in the outfield. So this (coughs) is the load level behind first base, between between home and first base. Actually, great great location, front row. And I got it for like seven ninety something. And keep in mind that all the games one and two, seven ninety something couldn't get you into the park. And here I got the front row loads level for game six. Why? Two reasons. Why? Because people got demoralized, and because I waited to the exact right moment to purchase it. But some, someone did better than me. Remember, I I bought a seat that was a group of, of a few seats they were selling. I just needed one. So the people who sat next to me. Were the ones who bought it after me, so I asked him. He actually got it for like seven twenty-five, so he even fell further. But I couldn't take that chance because if someone bought them all at once, like I think there were three left. If someone bought all three, I would have been screwed and had nothing to get other than the seats they didn't really want. So that's why I, I had to bite the bullet at that point. But that's what I was doing. I was just going refresh, refresh, refresh. And also, so, there isn't a waiting uh, a, a cutoff time like in baseball. Well, no, it, so we could literally we could literally buy these tickets up until you know. Well, that's what I was talking about. It's into the first period. With this, there wasn't a cutoff time either. For the playoffs in baseball, there's no cutoff time. So same same thing for hockey. Yes, right. So that's what I'm saying. So I, I think if you if you notice the price stagnating, I just wait, 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 and just but just target the type of seats you want 
and just watch how many are available. That, that's what the key is. You just watch because some people are going to panic. Some of these sellers are going to panic. Go, oh, my God, what if I don't sell these? Okay, I better drop the price. There's also people who sell these seats on StubHub who don't care about getting top dollar. They just want to get rid of them. So you'll have people that show up that didn't even have seats listed before that will show up like six hours before game time and just drop seats on there for a much lower price. Like, you would think that like if the lowest price in a certain section is, you know, say, uh, uh, $205 a seat, okay, that if someone were to show up and want to list their seat, that the lowest price that they'd put would be like 204 They just want to be a tiny bit lower than the lowest one. No, you'll have people to show up and put like 150 at that point. Why I don't know, but they just want they just want to make sure it sells. So I've I've bought those type of seats before, which are just such outliers, where the person just doesn't seem to care about getting top dollar, and just will pick some price that's way lower than everybody else, and you can buy it, and the and that's how you can sometimes get some spectacular deals on StubHub. But the it, it's all about timing, and of course in unfamiliar situations like this one with uh, with with the, the Golden Knights making the second round. Of so playoffs, what would you do? I I would I would wait right now. I would definitely not buy them. I would wait, and I would watch if the price stagnates or goes down. If it does, then I would keep waiting. If if it seems like it's 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 continuing to rise, uh, then you have to make the decision: Do I bite the bullet and just buy it at this price, or do I possibly just not go, or or do I just take a gamble that maybe it'll drop at the last minute? Uh, I, I I have seen some games also where all signs are it's never going to fall, and then at the last minute it falls anyway. I have seen it where it's going right. up, 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 and then the final day boom, it fa- falls way down and. Uh, and, and you can't well, the way, I, the way I look at it, a, a, I already know what the face value is for the for the area that I would want us to sit in. So I could tell by that just you know how the market is. And then B, I would just think that even if it was a last minute, worst comes to worst, you know we may have to play a small premium. But you know, meaning like if we were going to pay three hundred a seat, anyhow, that was our budget, you know, or, or top end budget. Maybe we'd have to pay three fifty. To still get the same sort of seat. Yes, so the yeah. way I look at it, it's, it's not as if you'll get shut out. You may, we may eat, you know, an extra hundred. And if so, oh well. That's, that's, know, it's an experience. That's, that's the way I would approach it too. And that's, and that's, uh, th- that's why it's usually better to do it that way unless you're convinced it's going to be such high demand that, like, like game seven, for example. I knew that one was never going to go down. And, and that one, I mean, it went down a little from where the peak was, but you, you could never get any deal close to what I got. Like the seat I, the exact seat I sat in, uh, it went for w- over 2,000. So, sure. So, and I knew that wasn't going to go down. I knew Game Seven. There, I knew if I wanted to go to a World Series game, one was outrageously expensive. Two was outrageously expensive. Seven, I knew if they made that, it would be outrageous. I knew the only chance was six, and, and sure enough, six was. Uh, uh, that was where I got by far the best deal. I, I even said that as far as StubHub was concerned, I believe I got the second best deal in all of the World Series uh, at, at Dodger Stadium. The only person who got a better deal, as far as you know, seat quality versus amount I paid. The only person who got a better deal than me in the entire World Series was that one guy sitting next to me who got it for seven twenty. What about that Bill Murray? He said he got comped. Did he? Well, I mean, that's not a deal on StubHub, though. That's just someone gave it to him. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, people but, got comped. So, but, uh, Trader Ruski, what do you think of this? Wait. Take a chance. Is he there, even? Did he fall asleep? If he, on asked, me, if he asked me a question, he fell nope. asleep. Okay, yeah, I'm here. Nope, I'm here. Not like you're fading, buddy. I am fading. I'm almost spent. Okay. Well, so what do you what do you yeah, what do you then? think? Um, I guess let's watch them. I mean, will you find out in the morning? Do you think? Uh, probably not. You know, if it's just announced, it's no, 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 no. I'm no. talking about Brandon for the thing. 
Oh yeah, yeah, I, I would. Um, but in terms of us I mean, waiting, I mean, it would probably be definitely wouldn't be a tomorrow decision because you know game one doesn't start till tomorrow night. It'd probably be you know like a Saturday morning, oh, late Friday night, oh, even Saturday I, afternoon. Yeah. Hold on, I mean, I thing. just I just think five o'clock's like a great time to go to to a game in Vegas. So some people that hadn't been considering going because they're in Vegas, maybe they want to go on the town, they can still do that now. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I as far I, as – And also – oh, sorry. For the others, for those other tickets that we're going to buy, isn't it about the same price? 375 is a face value. Yeah, and it, looks like it looks like these – they have them on for like 335 350 I wouldn't well, worry about a little face- more to the left of the goal and up. Like this was literally seven rows from the ice. I wouldn't worry about face so, value. You, you sometimes can beat face value, believe it or not. So uh, I, I would not worry about that. That's not important at all. What's important is what the market will pay. That's all that matters. And uh, something else I want to mention: since this is game two and game one hasn't played yet, you, you might be surprised. But even with these Vegas Golden Knights, I think there's a good chance that there will be the demoralization factor if they lose game one by some reason. Uh, now, now, I was thinking that too. Now, they, yeah, I was thinking that too, but I also think that, that that's not happening. Yeah, it's a good chance they won't lose. But it, no. it, I, I think I think the decline from them in price from them losing will be greater than the increase in price if there even is one from them winning. So. Is like just game one at home, they're kind of expected to win. So I think if they lose, it's kind of a kick in the nuts, and then people start to think, "Oh man, I don't know if I want to go." Like I, I usually see with Do- with Dodger Stadium, like, it really makes a big difference. My best buys in the playoffs I've ever gotten have been when the Dodgers their, their backs are against the wall, and I don't mean like they're down three zero. I mean just something which they can come back from, but it's it's people aren't happy, like down two to one or something like that. So yeah, 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 so I've gotten that's when I get the best. They're deals. minus one forty tomorrow, by the way. Yeah, that's so what I just right. At. So that's so, so it's not like they're huge favorites. They could. It's hockey. Anybody can lose. Look, no, they're both the Marlins, playing well. Both the Marlins well. were. What were the Marlins the other day against the Dodgers and they won. They were plus three something. Yeah, yeah. Today, yeah, today it was. Uh, you know I'm what? It, two it, nights it, ago, but no, 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 no. It was it was, it was this last night with uh, with Richards against Gershaw. No, but the night before, the, did they win tonight? Yes. I didn't even see. Yes, they won. The Marlins the won? The Marlins won, yes. So that's two games in a row that they were plus 301. <laughs> that's nuts. The, the night before, they won 4-3. to three, or Yes. Wasn't it 4-3? to three? It was yeah. actually a bigger plus tonight, and uh, amazingly, I actually kind of saw this one coming possibly because the pitcher for the Marlins, uh, this, uh, this Richards, this Trevor Richards, he's one of these guys with a lot of potential to be very good. He just hasn't been able to get it together. Yep. So... He's someone who could just put together an excellent game and, and, and surprise them. So uh, he wasn't like some awful has-been pitcher who's like guaranteed to suck. So with him, it seemed like you know he's either very good or terrible so far. So tonight he was very good. He didn't. They didn't leave him in that long because. Uh, but uh, he, he. How did Kershaw do? Terribly. So he had a very bad game, and then uh, believe it or not, the Dodgers uh, they made errors. They screwed up. They got way behind, and the Dodgers almost came back. They, they had a lot of offense at the end, but it wasn't enough. They lost eight six. Mm. So, wow. Anyway, so anyhow, Dave, if if you're cool with that, then let's just you know we can re- reevaluate. Let's wait till tomorrow night's game is over. And yeah, we'll reevaluate I, then. I think you should. So, I want to talk about the uh, the China has completely banned all forms of online poker, 
including well, no, they're actually they're going to. They're end. going. Well, it they, taken, they, 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 it hasn't taken effect yet, but they starts. Uh, it's June. It's June first. Right, June first. They have made the decision that all forms of online poker are going to be banned in the country, and and some operators have already taken down their online poker offerings for China, uh, knowing this is coming, and they've just decided to end it already. But but they're all required to do this by by June first. And uh, this could actually have uh, a, an impact, I think, on, on the growth of poker because China has always been seen as kind of an untapped market for poker given that uh, uh, there's a lot of interest in gambling in Chinese culture, a lot. And because of China's uh, self-imposed isolation, they uh, a lot of Chinese who would gamble on poker recreationally and would basically be big fish in the game and some you know since it's such a huge country there's it's a poor country you know the average person in China is poor but the, since it's a huge population there there is a large number of people there with money the and, our co-host uh, Kalawat just texted me just to make it clear that the ban doesn't include uh Macau Hong Kong and of course Taiwan Oh, I didn't know that. It's only on. It's only on the mainland. So he's, he's still listening. Oh, he must be because he just texts me. So, so he, he vanished. He just says types GTG like got to go and hung up. Well, and, I'm sure he's in bed. And now he's, of, he's, he's not sleeping. Okay, okay. So, uh, anyway. is that your rule that if you hang up, you got to go to bed right away? Yeah. What's going on out here? You, you must. You must disappear. You, you must uh, not be conscious. If, if if you were once on this show that evening, you can no longer. Listen or be conscious if you're going to hang up. That's the rule. So, anyway, China was seen as this market that uh, one day could be reached and and could be providing a very large fresh crop of fish to online poker. And now that uh, doesn't appear to be the case anymore. And... uh, because they've decided they're going to crack down on this. And as of June 1st, even play money online poker is is not going to be uh, something that could be done there. So there are 1.4 billion people approximately in China. And Chinese officials said that poker will no longer be recognized as, quote, a competitive sport. They're going to force all apps offering any form of what they call social poker, meaning uh, any poker games where there's no money at stake, play money, to cease operations by June 1st in China. Uh, Furthermore, they cannot even promote play money poker in China anywhere. There can't even be any ads about it. It can't exist there, nor can they be advertising it. They don't want their residents to even be tempted to try to get around any band and play anyway. They want the they want the Chinese people to not even be able to see that it exists. And uh, this is a quote from Stephen Lai, who's the uh, managing director of the Hong Kong Poker Players Association. Stephen Lee, but okay. How do you know that? Because I saw an interview on CNN. Okay. So I know about this to begin okay. with. Okay. He said, uh, poker was growing very fast, and now it's going to be more difficult for operators in Asia to organize poker events because Chinese players make up over half the field. If you can't promote these events on social media, Chinese players won't know they're on and won't, they won't go. 
It's a shame that the government won't allow people talking about the game. We've been happy that China's been allowing social gaming, not for money, so the people from China have a chance to practice and travel around Asia and beyond to play poker where it's legal. Poker's gone back to square one in China. So uh, even though you couldn't have poker games in China, that you know, they could get interested in it by playing play money games on these apps and then say, hey, you know, I'm going to travel somewhere in Asia and, and play there. And you know, he, I guess this guy was hoping that maybe one day uh, it, it could even be legal in China. Instead, instead of stepping backward where there can't be discussion of it, there can't be advertisements of it, it can't be uh, – you can't – play for play money yeah that was that was what struck me as the oddest that there can't be discussions about it like you can't even talk to someone about it yeah like well that's that's, the way they that's the way they are in china it's very authoritarian and uh yeah so they said that and so now there's actually a company in china called our game o-u-r-g-a-m-e and they bought the world poker tour a number of years ago but they said that they will comply with the new rules uh, pertaining to anything they offer in China. Of course they will. <laughs> what choice do they have? Well, I mean, you could defy them, and then there's always a chance of a firing squad. Yes. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. So as Cal- but no, from what I read, is it, it's, a, it's a pretty natural um, thing now that goes on, like a custom that when people are – doing the transit on subways or, you know, mass transportation to and from work, that that's how they kill time. Or, you know, a, a decent segment of the population by playing, you know, play money poker, by, you know, playing these apps on their phones. And it's just, it's utterly insane that they can't, I mean, what are you going to do, you know, during the commute? Like, you know what I mean? It, it just, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. From what I've read, that's the primary, you know, time that, that they're doing this is during commutes in the morning and in the evening. It's not like, you know, there's a whole nation of people just wasting time, you know, day in and, you know what I mean, day in and day out, where they could be, you know, doing other productive things at work. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I don't know, it's crazy. And three years ago, in Nanjing, China, this is uh, April 20, sometime, it was published this article April 20th, 2015, so it occurred sometime in April 2015. There was a Poker Stars live event in Nanjing, China. And poker stars had believed that even though gambling is illegal under Chinese law, that this was okay because poker is a game of skill, and that there had been uh, poker tournaments in mainland China before which ran without any problems. So they ran this uh, APPT Nanjing Millions, the poker stars event, and it got raided, and they it was shut down. It was a twenty three hundred entrant uh, tournament, and it got shut down in the middle. So that was already a sign that uh, China was unhappy about poker in general and that they did view it as gambling, even though the PPA says it's not gambling. So this is even a further step that you can't even play it for free money on your phone anymore or even talk about it or even see ads about it. So if you think China is eventually going to be a very uh, lucrative source of a fish for the western poker player think again it seems like uh that market may not grow like many were expecting by the way i'm reading the chat room unrelated to all this calwatt this is what the dive bar dave is saying about calwatt he says calwatt has more married sex than anyone ever so (laughs) 
It is true. Calwa does talk about that a lot. He does talk about like all these different times that you know his wife is putting something on for him to go after, and then he does it. Like he has described a lot of sex he has with his wife, and they've been married a long time. They've been married ten years or something. That's pretty good, provided he's telling the truth. You never know. Let's well, listen, I'll be honest. Uh, and you know, this is not to be disrespectful to him. I, I've seen pictures of his wife on Facebook, Facebook, and she's a very attractive young lady. Hmm. So I, you know, I kind of I don't know if you've seen her. She is a beautiful, beautiful woman. So I, I you know, can kind of see why. Yeah, and she's younger than him she's too. She's a looker. She's uh, oh, she's, wow. not, she's not super young, but she's she's younger, like ten years younger than him or something. So so uh, let me ask you. And um, by the way, are you are we? Done with the Chinese thing, or is yes, it, you know, yes, we were moving it, okay. Yeah. So I wanted to ask. I was listening while I was driving earlier, and it was going to be a short commute, so I couldn't call in, or I didn't want to call in because I was going to have to go soon. I heard Callawat make a reference to what's been going on in the news lately in regards to this uh, alleged cult, Nexium. More specifically, this, I guess, I don't know. Maybe you'd call her a B-list actress. This girl, uh, Allison Mack. Yeah, that starred in uh, Smallville for eleven seasons. Are you familiar with this whole thing? Because I've been reading about it nonstop for like, well, not nonstop, but I've been reading a lot. I've spent maybe four or five hours over the past week reading about it because I knew nothing of this, and I'm fascinated by it because it's just so insane. Uh, are you familiar with this at all? Yes, I'm very familiar. Okay, I mean, you've been reading about it. You yes. know that you should try to recruit uh, a couple other. You know, like B-list actresses, and now it's coming out. She tried to recruit uh, Kelly Clarkson and, oh, and really? some other. No, no, I didn't see all yeah, that. Yeah. I, I haven't read it recently. Yeah. yeah, there was an article. I think it was People. I don't know. One of one of those sites that found some tweets of, of that were pretty obvious that she was trying to get a hold. It was Kelly Clarkson, and I can't think of who the other one was. It was another like real A-lister. But this thing is insane. So she ended up getting charged on Friday, this past Friday, with sex trafficking. Sex trafficking. This is a woman, uh, you know, a, a famous actress. So then she finally was, and they held her without bond because they wanted to put some conditions in the bond to make sure basically the money wasn't coming from anyone connected. Oh, even more insane. Do you know who's financing this whole thing? You know, who's like the money behind this yes, cult? It, it, was, it, yes, it was some heir to Seagram's or something. It's, 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 yes, it's, it's the... Two daughters that were the, you know, two direct heirs. I can't think of his name. Bronford was his first name. And it's his daughter, I think, uh, one is Sarah, and the other is, I think, maybe Amy. And uh, anyhow, they were the ones that have financed this for like a decade. Like, it's it's pretty, it's absolutely nuts. Yeah, I, I, so found, anyhow, I found, if just, let me say for a second, I actually found an article from the New York Times, I think it was the Times, that was talking about this cult back in 2010. I think it was a November 2010 article I read. Well, so this, this has been known for a long time. That, that liter- they're the ones that literally published an expose in November of 2017 that many are basically alluding to that led to the recent arrests. But they, they, but they had one from seven years expose. before that. There's one seven years before yeah. that that was talking about it. That's what's amazing. Right, I'm saying that that obviously that did nothing because it's you know it went on for yeah. I was just that's what I'm there. saying. I'm amazed that this was that there's this yeah. much about it back in November 2010 and it's persisted for this long. So finally, she made bail yesterday, and this is what they said. Okay, I mean, assuming the news is telling the truth, that this girl literally had given away all of her money to this guy Keith uh, was it Reiner, I think. And this cult, all the money she made off an 11-year run on a famous you know, TV show, that when she got bonded out, she was destitute. 
and her parents, her mom and dad, had to put up properties that they own and their personal investment and retirement accounts to make bail for her. Wow. Now, granted, bail was $5 million, but they just made it clear like she literally was penniless, that it was all her parents' money. Now, you know, I don't know what her parents do. For all I know, maybe – you know, she purchased those properties and gave them money for their, you know, retirement. But I just found it was so nuts that she was basically destitute. And, and uh, so then they leaked on Monday that uh, she had signed some federal documents that both the prosecutors, her attorneys, and a judge signed that basically implied that she was giving up her right to a speedy trial because she was in negotiations to uh, to make a plea. And to basically, you know, turn states evidence and cooperate. But, uh, anyhow, I just read this whole thing and, you know, like I've watched this show. I wasn't like a, a huge fan of it, but you know, I know who this girl is. I've seen a number of episodes, you know, back in the day. And I, you know, I read about this with the branding and this, like, it's fucking just nuts. It's absolutely crazy. Like what, what went on? Um, so I don't know. It's, I'm kind of curious. The guy's still in jail. Like the, the, what, what was he called? Uh, what was his name? Like that, that, that Kalawat said that, that, that he asked these women and his followers to call him. There was some crazy name. Uh, do you recall? No, I'm forgetting. Okay. Uh, what the hell was it? Okay. Well, it will come to me, but he's still in jail and, uh, you know, they're not going to give him bond. Like, you know, they're saying this guy is just as powerful as like David Koresh was or, you know, any of the other cult leaders. But, uh, anyhow, I just, I think it's just, it's wild. The whole tale is just, and of all places, like you think this was going on, like in some white supremacist part of the world, or maybe even like somewhere like LA or whatever, it was taking place in Albany, New York, upstate yeah. <laughs> New York. It's crazy. Um, so, you know, I'm not as surprised. It's, it's always kind of strange to see like that, uh, an actress who was on a major show to be charged with sex trafficking. That's really weird. Right. That was but, exactly. But yes. uh, I, I have to say the fact that an actress ended up involved and uh, got deep Vanguard. into this. Vanguard. Thank the, you, It Vanguard. Okay. That's what he made everyone call him. Got, Sorry. got into this sort of thing. It's, it's not as surprising to me because, and I see this with poker players too, a lot of times they lack direction uh, – outside of their career and in fact some of them feel some guilt for the money and success they've achieved which they feel inside that they don't really deserve that they think what did i really do to to become famous what i'm famous i've made a lot of money but but what did i do really to earn it all i'm doing is i'm acting on a tv show big deal you know yeah so so i I got lucky i got cast here okay so i do a decent job acting but why do i deserve all this and then they they it it starts to screw with their heads and they they start to look for a greater purpose in life they think okay well if i can get involved with such and such thing then then maybe my life can have some meaning uh you know all these people are idolizing me for nothing i don't really deserve it maybe if i can do the such and such i will at that point my life will have been worth it at that point it'll make up for all the undeserved accolades I'm getting. So that that's a lot of times the mindset that uh, people can get into if they're into some if they're into acting and have had success or successful poker players have the same thing going on where they again and sometimes they hey like I'm playing a game I'm making money I'm making all this money I, you know look at all these people who work so much harder than I do that uh, make so much less why is that fair and remember uh, the one dude you wanted to open up a tea shop. Yeah, what was yeah. his name? <laughs> the Brian Which Townsend. Was that? That was, that was Brian Townsend. Yeah, 
Who? Yeah. Uh, Brian Townsend. No, it wasn't Brian Townsend. That's uh, SB Rugby. It was no, the no, other, no, no, it's right. dude that got oh, no, no, it wasn't accused Townsend, of the no. cheating. Yes, yes, yes. It the cheating right. online. No, I know you're talking about it. On... No, 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 I forget it. Oh, what is his name now? It wasn't mm. Brian. You're right, it's Brian, not Brian Hastings? Brian Hastings, that's it. Yeah, I confused the two. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was yeah. Hastings. So, yeah. Uh, so this happens a lot. And it, to this extreme, no. I mean, this is, uh, of course, with an actress being involved so deeply and with sex trafficking, that, that part's very unusual. But... I, I can see how this would happen. I could see how she felt some emptiness, and 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 this smooth talking cult leader. He's and cults. They target those who don't have direction and don't. Ha- they don't really feel like their purpose has been fulfilled. That, that's or, or they don't feel on like an, people love them. On an off note, I was looking online, like you know, just googled a couple different sites, and I couldn't find any information. On a, on a show like that, it was on the CW, 11 years, and she was, you know, she was not the main star, but she was definitely like number two. Um, what do you think? What do you think? You know, I, I know like in the first couple of years, you don't make a lot because you know, no one knows how the show is going to be. You're an unknown actress. But after that, when they renew them after, say, three years, and then, you know, you're in like year seven, year eight, what do you think you make on a show like that per episode? If you had to take a guess, I couldn't even think. Like, I know it's nothing crazy, like hundreds of thousands an episode because they couldn't afford it, but. It can't be nothing like, you know, it's got to be in the small, like, five figures, or I'm mean, sorry, the high five figures, a show. I mean, I don't know. That's what I, mean, I was I'm thinking. Just trying to That's guess. what I was thinking. Like yeah, number two star there in a show like that, I think, yeah, probably like uh, maybe 50, 60, 70 yeah, an episode. Yeah, I was thinking like 70 an episode would be my guess. Yeah. Okay, so, like, you know, she did 200 something episodes. So, I mean, she made probably over 10 million. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she got show. And then they can also make money other ways. I don't know if she did it, but with endorsements and stuff like that, once you get well known enough, you can start doing yeah. things like that and money can No, she in. was going and making tons of money going to those, uh, those comics, those, you know, superhero right, shows. Right, right. They have those the, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. it opens up a lot of opportunities for you to make other, other money as well. So, yeah, yeah so, so cults, it's, it's really interesting. To me, how you know the type of person that gets targeted, and you know, the, the types that they don't want—they they don't want people who are very skeptical. They don't want people who already feel that they have stability and, and purpose. Uh, they don't want people who are always looking out; they're afraid they're getting scammed. You know, they, they don't want paranoid people. There's certain types. So that you're are, saying that you're not the kind of person they would target. Yeah, I'm you exactly. I'm exactly like audience. the. Op- I'm exactly like the opposite of what they would ever want. So, like, like, like one conversation with me, they said, nope, we, we don't even want to bother with him. So, it's kind of like an episode of Seinfeld where, I don't know if you remember, but, uh, episode of Seinfeld where this, these guys that come in, like, it was a legit, like, steam cleaning, a steam cleaning company, but it was a, you know, a ruse to disguise a cult. And when they'd come in to steam clean your house, you know, they would try to brainwash you and get, you know, get you to join. And George Costanza kept ordering them over and over. Because he was insulted that all they did was clean his rugs and they never tried to get him into the cult. <laughs> and that was because he was the exact opposite of what they would want in a cult yeah. member. And it was just funny. He was... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Like his, his boss... <laughs> his boss, who was like the president, is Mr. Wilhelm, the president of the Yankees, ends up getting recruited. And he was so mad at the end that they never even tried, like, you know, to get him. Yeah. But, uh... So, no, I read this statement and uh, from this girl, Sarah, whatever her name is, the book, the Seagram heiress. And it's so insane. She's in such denial. She, she wrote up, you know, a posted statement saying that 
this guy, Keith, whatever, Rainier, I think, the head of this cult is a genius and that, you know, all the things that the media are saying aren't true. I mean, <laughs> it's just nuts. Like, this is a public figure. This is a woman yes. who some reports, like, say that her, you know, worth, like, you know, $2 billion. Like, this isn't, like, some poor person. Like, this is a woman that had the best of the best of everything growing up. I mean, that, that's the other, that, that, and that's the other vulnerable segment is sometimes these super rich people, again, especially ones who didn't make it themselves but inherited the money, they they also have a feeling like they lacked purpose. They have a they have this kind of weird guilt inside of them. They hey, I, I don't really deserve this money. My parents made it. My grandparents made it. You know, this is just landing in my lap. You know, you know they have a lot of extra time on their hands. Uh, but she's a Jew too. She's given bad names to the Jews. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of times, because they didn't have to go through a lot of what the average person did to have to make money and, and uh, make smart decisions with money and, and a lot of stuff like that, uh, they have a lot of extra time. They, they, they never learn certain lessons that they otherwise would have learned in life. Uh, sometimes they, again, feel guilty about the money they have, and they also are ones who can fall into weird things like this. So, yeah. That's... Well, it's interesting. So right now, with the with the amount of information that you know, which isn't really much, okay, uh, she you know, she could be facing just on the core of the charges, uh, life imprisonment. Do you think she'll actually serve time? Yes, I, mean, I, I think she, I think she will serve some time, but not that much, uh, provided that she's very cooperative and helps them with her case against the the leader. Yeah, I do. I don't think you can kind of make that big of a deal. And charge somebody with sex trafficking, and then just give them probation. Like you have to give them a to- you know, even someone that cooperates, yeah. someone that, you know, even if she's found that she was brainwashed and mentally unfit, you kind of have to give her some token prison that, sentence. That's what I would think. And she's also fortunate that she's female because females in general uh, do much better when they're criminally charged. They, you know, there, there's all this talk about. Uh, uh, the, all the different advantages men have in society, and in some, in some areas it's true in some areas that uh, men do have advantages simply for being male but there are also areas in life where females have the advantage and one of them is if you are criminally charged with anything no matter what it is you are going to the prison system is more the the justice system is it's it's, much much lesser sentences for women for the same crimes much lesser for not just all kinds of crimes violent nonviolent, fraud uh, all kinds of crimes Women get much lesser sentences than men, so that that will also help her. Where if it was a male actor who participated in sex trafficking, I think they would throw the book at him much more, even if he cooperated. But uh, I, some of it's just public perception. It's easier to picture a male as a predator than a female, especially sexually. So the public perception of this if, if she got a lighter sentence uh it's easier for people to forgive that than picturing some male pervert getting away with a very light sentence yeah makes sense so well it's gonna be interesting to follow this so what ended up happening now just for people that might actually you know find this fascinating is so her family had to you know put up the five million it was her parents and she's going to be on house arrest back in california that's what you know they allowed and of course, with the standard, like, you know, she can't co- talk with or communicate with anyone, uh, you know, that's involved or any members or so on and so forth. But, uh, wow, it just it was nuts because I had no idea. But apparently, you know, it's even crazier. I wondered what this poor girl's parents thought, because 
you know, when I started Googling it, as you alluded to, I didn't see the article from 2010. I started seeing articles from like last year and last summer with her name in it. And it just, you know, like it's not like her parents, her family, her close siblings, you know, they didn't know she was involved in this. You know what I mean? Like that now they're just like, oh, my God, what did you do? Because it was already in the media. It just hadn't been mainstream. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Been, you know, I, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure but, they've known about it, and they were probably very frustrated and probably trying to talk her out of it. And she just basically said, yeah. "No, you, well, you don't understand. This is fine. You know, leave me alone." Well, the other thing that, that was insane about this too is there were some other. You know, she was the most famous, but the daughter of this woman—I don't know her name—but she starred in uh, Dynasty. She was, you know, very popular, uh, and you know, her daughter got caught up in this. And then there's another like famous actress and. You know, like all these women, you know, literally like there was this video that was released that when this guy got arrested in Mexico, the, the cult leader, these girls literally got in a car and started chasing the police to follow this guy. Like he was, you know, literally like their savior. I mean, it's just it's scary that anybody's mind can be just, you know, brainwashed to that degree that you're literally chasing and, you know, over somebody that, you know what I mean? It's just it's scary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone it would is. say you. You can't think it could happen to me. It can't happen to me. I'll never happen to me. But yet it does. Well, see, I, I, there are some people I think it couldn't happen to. If, if certain personality types, I think it just couldn't happen. There are there are some people who do have the personality type where it could happen, and they they probably say it couldn't happen to me, and it really would. Uh, but um, you know, there, there's certain. I, I really think it's when the cult leader fills a void. That the person has, where, where uh, and says all the right things and does all the right things to make whatever that person feels like they're missing. The cult leader feels it, and then they can have tremendous power once they do that. But someone, someone who doesn't have such a void or just doesn't want to let someone in to fill it is never vulnerable, and that's why. A, and that's why they, they target only uh, the type of people. In fact, if you want to speak uh, of speaking of cults, even though this isn't. A full-blown cult, but it has some aspects of a choice center. Uh, if you look at what they do, they they have three courses, and what they're basically doing during the courses of choice center is they're trying to determine whether you are the material to become dedicated to them, or if you're just there for some self-help, but you're not likely to go that far with as far as you know being loyal to them and and being dedicated and trying to recruit people. So. The, the first two courses uh, you know, appear to be kind of some kind of self-help thing. They're expensive, but uh, that, that's what they are. Then the third course starts to become more cult-like, where they start teaching you how to get you know, talk friends and family into it and things like that. But uh, not everybody graduates to the third course. A lot of them are stopped at, at after two and said, "Okay, well, thank you. You know, you you didn't qualify for the third, whatever they, way they put it." And what what they're doing is they they try to look for the ones. They're trying to look for the ones who. Uh, really have become dedicated in the time they've spent there and looks like that that, that void has been filled for them and, and now they have dedicated followers, whereas the uh, anyone who just seems like, hey, I'm, I'm here to improve myself, okay, thank you very much, but I'm not going to uh, treat you like, like, like this is anything special or treat you like the, that I, I have undying loyalty to you, uh, then it's okay, you know, thanks for, thanks for coming, goodbye. So that... All cults do some form of that, where there, there's a weeding out process, and they they keep the people who they think are most vulnerable to this. And the, and the most successful cult leaders, they have an innate ability to recognize this, and and also to 
say exactly what these people need to hear. So it's, it is fascinating when it occurs. And I, 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 like you, wonder, wow, how, how can people be brainwashed like this? How, how can people be this crazy or, or allow some other person to control them this much? Especially ones who seem to have it together like a, like a successful actress. Well, that was the other thing that he, you know, she had stated, I guess, privately, again, I guess publicly, the people that he had convinced her to give up her acting career, to give her all her money. I mean, and she had no problem with just basically devoting her life to him, you know, which is just that nuts. Like, and, and I looked, you know, like her IMDb or her, you know, her movie database and there hadn't been anything she's done in a number of years. Like she did some small like voiceover roles, but nothing, you know, so it just really seemed like she just devoted herself completely to this guy. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. Like it, it is. I mean, I'm not saying that like, you know, in a good way, but just like in a car wreck, just interesting, like looking back thinking, wow. Like, this is just scary that something like this could happen. I mean, it is. I mean, it really is. Yeah, and I, I've, I've watched some of this actually happen before my eyes. Uh, in, the, in the early 90s when I was on PBS's, I actually ran into a guy who was kind of like a, a pseudo-cult leader that he aimed all this at teenage girls. He was an older guy in his 40s. And of course, I was young at the time. Uh, I, was, I was like early 20s at the time. But uh, uh, this guy was in his 40s, and uh, he had a sexual thing for teenage girls and manipulating them. He, he was very cult-like, everything he was doing, and he was telling them that uh, he was going to help them achieve their destiny and that they had to trust him. And, uh, I mean, it, it was all very sick. And when I found out about this, and, and some of the girls who he was targeting were ones I knew, I got so enraged about this that I decided I'm going to ruin it. Or at least I'm going to ruin it for in this BBS community I was part of. So I set out on a mission to expose him. And before I even did a thing, before I, before I even took any action, as soon as he heard that one of these girls mentioned him to me, he went into a panic because he knew from my personality that this was likely that I would do this. So he went into a panic and tried to scare her. That that he actually said that, and you're, you're going to laugh at this, but this is what he told her to try to, to get her to stop talking to me. Uh, he, he said to this girl, and I think I was like 21 at the time or something, but uh, uh, he said to her that aliens came to Earth to prevent her from achieving her destiny, and that they took over my body, and that they that. I am basically the aliens trying to prevent her from becoming what she's going to become. <laughs> and that, that, that he would say things like this and would sound very convincing about it. And, and these girls were falling for it. And um, this particular girl was, was, was getting skeptical about it. But even she was wondering, like, maybe this is true. <laughs> I had to convince her I wasn't being taken. I wasn't taken over by aliens. Uh, but, but I actually went to work on this guy. And I started to identify all the different girls he was talking to, and I would call them up, and I would talk them out of this. And it was, but it was hard. Boy, were they were brainwashed. Boy, they were convinced. And, and uh, finally, you know, after several conversations, I, I would be able to talk them out of it. And then he'd be furious that I did this, and I just told him, "F you, I'm going to keep doing it." You know, and uh, at uh, my favorite time thing I did though was. I, I, I found out that he had a paranoia that, that I was like some master hacker that could just like do anything with a computer. He just had this unrealistic view of what a hacker can do. 
and he, he didn't have much knowledge of the tech, like technically at all. So I, I used this to my advantage to scare him, that I was just like constantly watching him and listening everything to him. So um, in order to, to get access to his account on, on a BBS he was on, I, I, um, I called up – he had like a separate line for his modem that would dial in. I called it up. So first I called him up, and I told him something that I, they, like he needs to go see on the board that I did. So I knew then he'd want to call into the BBS to go look. So then I quickly called his modem line, which rang, but he couldn't, he couldn't hear it ringing because it had no ringer on it. So his computer picked up the phone to make the call. I sent the signal from my computer to his computer. He thought he was dialing out, but he really wasn't. He was already connected to me as I made an incoming call. I sent him the, 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 the signal, the carrier tone. He connected to my computer, but he thought he was connected to the BBS. I sent him a fake login screen. He typed in his name and password, <laughs> and I got his password that way. And then, uh, and and then I went on under him, and, and and like, you know, downloaded everything that he, that he had been doing, and found out everybody had been talking to. And, and I pulled all these little tricks like that to, to really convince him that I just like was constantly monitoring his computer, and he, and he was convinced by it. And and eventually I ran him off. Eventually he he, he was so. Uh, uh, frustrated by everything i was doing and and like he there's this one girl i didn't know her that well but i actually found her and, and convinced her his like star pupil there I, I scared her away from him eventually i kept telling her ask your parents ask your friends ask anybody you know uh this girl was like only 16 too and i was, tell, I was telling you look ask your counselors at school ask your parents ask anybody you know tell them this story they will tell you the exact same thing i am so don't listen to what he says about me i know he says awful, awful things about me but forget me just, just ask anyone else in your life that you know, and they will say exactly what I do. So, uh, she uh, eventually believed me, and told him I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she, and she, he actually had convinced her that when she turns eighteen, he, that she was going to marry him. And she agreed, but she called the whole thing off and said never call me again. And uh, I was actually proud of myself that I did this. You know what pissed me off though? I called the I called the LAPD at the time and reported all this, and they didn't want to hear it. They said, um, well, have you witnessed any of these girls being molested? I said, well, no, this, but I know, like I was explaining how I knew. They said, well, okay, are you related to any of these girls? I said, well, no. I'm sorry, you can't make the report then. Said, well, why not? Because you're a third party. You, you, you didn't witness anything, and you're not related. You can't make this report. I said, well, can you at least contact their parents? And I, nope. They, they, refu- they refused to uh, do anything for, for, based on my report. It was unbelievable. I think nowadays it would be different, but back then – they wouldn't touch it, so I, I had to take this to my own hands. Anyway, th- this guy actually, after I kind of ran him off, he, he kind of had a moment where he was really pissed and decided that he wanted to get back at me. So he started – he told someone – he didn't tell me directly. He was kind of very passive-aggressive, but he told someone that I knew that I screwed up everything for him, that you know years of work was down the drain after what I did to him and that he's going to get back at me and that he's going to do something really bad to me one day. So I, I said, shit, you know, <laughs> I've got to take care of this now. So what I did was I called him up and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that you're saying you're going to get back at me one day for this. I'm going to tell you this here. I have no idea what you're doing right now. I, I don't know where you've gone. I don't know what you're doing next. And I'm not going to continue following you. I'm not going to continue monitoring you and what you're doing. I've ran, I've run you out of this community and that's, 
as far as I'm going to take it. But if you if I hear of even one attempt to plan to do anything to me, even just planning, even just discussing it, even just one finger lifted to do anything to me, I am going to follow you for the rest of your life, and what I did here, I'm going to do to everybody. And you know how convincing I am? And I have the truth on my side? And I'm going to be a thorn in your side until the day you die. So you can either walk away from me and just accept the fact that this all happened, or I'm going to be in your life for eternity. So he walked away. <laughs> he decided that he didn't want it. So I'm sure he went off to go to some other community and did this again. And I... I felt a little weird saying that, like like I was saying, you know, I'm not going to, you know, go go do this to other girls here. But I, I wasn't saying, I was just basically saying, I'm out now. Because this wasn't my responsibility anyway. I, I couldn't dedicate my life to this one person here. I mean, I did all I could. I tried to report to the police. They wouldn't take it. I drove them away from the community. I individually talked to a number of these girls away from doing this stuff with him and stopped a lot of bad things from happening. And I was, you know... I was proud of that, that at least these individual girls here uh, did not suffer the, the, you know, any of these horrible consequences for what this guy wanted to do, which they definitely would have if I hadn't gotten involved. But uh, I said, I can't, I can't dedicate my life to following around some freak and, uh, and doing this, especially when the police won't listen to me. So I, I had to let it go. I have no idea if he's even still alive. You know, this is back you know, 25 years ago, and he was in the mid-40s then. So hopefully he's dead now. But... Uh, it, it, it was very, very disturbing. The, the, when I saw some of the messages this guy sent and the manipulation he was getting involved with, and the fact that he was targeting teenagers, it just it disgusted me so much that that's why I actually uh, took the time and effort, and even took some risk there, you know, pissing off someone like this to just destroy the whole thing. And I was successful. I did it because uh, something that I'm good at is is taking facts and just presenting them and, uh, you know, destroying bullshit. So that's what I did. So that was, uh, so when I read stuff about cult leaders, a lot of times I'll think back to that guy. And, uh, wow. So we actually have some other topics on the show, but not many, but let's see. We have two left here. Uh, yeah, this, this is speaking of older people. This is kind of a weird one. A a 79-year-old man uh, was charged with and uh, was sentenced to probation for stealing, actually embezzling money from charity poker tournaments in the state of Michigan. Now, a charity poker tournament, like what I'm talking about, charity, actually poker games, not poker tournaments necessarily. Charity poker games in Michigan are not what you might think they are. We're not talking about where they have a tournament where a percentage of the prize pool goes to charity. They have what are known as charity poker rooms in Michigan and and elsewhere where running a poker room is not legal unless the proceeds go to charity and then it is legal. And these are very lightly regulated, where actually like full-blown poker rooms can exist, 
I mean, they're not like the size of commerce or anything, but the you know real poker rooms exist with real cash games and everything, and 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 the governments just don't really get involved with regulating them because it's seen as like a charity thing. But all they're really doing is just you know, just like any other poker room, raking the pot and uh, and and profiting. Now, this is legal under Michigan law. The problem that they've been finding is that. Uh, in addition to these being much more gambling-like than they really wanted them to be. You know, the whole point was for charities to be able to run poker or games like poker and uh, and make some money. Uh, they didn't really mean for these to be like full card rooms. But the, the other problem is that they noticed that in many cases there was very little oversight even within the organization running them to where money was being stolen all the time. So the, the money wasn't even going to charity. In many cases, it was just being embezzled. So they actually found uh, a case of this happening. Uh, David Lee Thies, senior, 79 years old, from Flint, Michigan, you know where the water is very tasty. He was sentenced to five years probation and fined a whopping $698 in court costs in connection with the embezzlement of nearly $37,000 in charitable gaming funds. You think that uh, that's a pretty light sentence for that. But uh, this was his, his church, St. Pius X Catholic Church and School, was, they were running poker games. And, uh, and he was just simply uh, taking most of the money for himself. And he pled guilty earlier this year on the embezzlement count and agreed to start paying restitution and also those uh, the, the, the court fees of like $700. It, it said, the, the Michigan Gaming Control Board said, between 2012 and 2014, the church, its school, and other church-affiliated organizations had licenses for 28 Flint area charity poker events. Thies Sr. was listed as the chairperson for each event. Michigan law requires... The entire net proceeds of a charitable gaming event be devoted exclusively to the charity's purposes, and uh, apparently, they uh, found this after they were already investigating three poker rooms in the Flint area. That's a Glorious Poker Palace, Lucky's Poker Room, and Pocket Aces. That's a dumb name of a poker room, Pocket Aces. All three rooms uh, were uh, eventually closed after it was found that uh, these were pretty much uh, just regular poker rooms <laughs> masquerading as, as uh, charity games. And, and also, there's a lot of pressure from anti-gambling a- activists who are basically saying this isn't what was intended. And Indian tribes in Michigan that really are authorized to run casinos and poker rooms that say, you know, what the hell, this shouldn't be competing with us. And they're pretty powerful. So... When they cracked down on those, I guess they found this one somehow, and then found that uh, that this guy was embezzling. And so, in addition to shutting it down, they they charged him criminally. He's seventy nine years old, though. Speaking of people who get light sentences, old people tend to get light sentences. You, you just see a guy who's seventy nine, no matter like how bad he is. A lot of times, it's hard for the judge and jury to see him as like a, a monster. Like the guy who was just arrested, the, this uh, Golden State uh, killer, the, the original Night Stalker who 
Yeah, I read about. Did they really? I saw that just on an update last night. Did they release his name or any yes. more information? Yet? Yes, there's a picture of him. There's a they have his name out. He's 72 years how old. They, how do they get him all these years later? It's, it's not clear how they got him, though they proved it was him once they knew it was him, which is unclear how they found this out. They went through his garbage and found some DNA of his, and then uh, compared it to DNA from one of the victims and. Uh, you know, the DNA that was found on one of the victims, and it matched. So they had some suspicion, and then they got his DNA. And the, that's police are allowed to do that without a warrant. Otherwise, that you know, to go to arrest him and demand his DNA, they have to get a warrant. Here, they they can do it uh, undercover by just you know secretly grabbing his trash, and then uh, going through his trash and uh, getting the DNA that way. So that's what they did, and uh, they so they it is him. And the weird thing with that killer, I don't want to get too much off topic here, but he committed all these rapes and murders and home invasions between like 1973 and 1986, and then he just stopped cold for 32 years. So he he just stopped completely. There's been various theories as to why he stopped. One that he uh, that DNA evidence was become was becoming used at the time. He's afraid he'd be caught. Or uh, some said because he just had children and uh, that, that he kind of just changed and didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, others just think for some reason he just lost interest. It's very weird. I, I've never seen a case where such a prolific serial killer just stops, just completely stops for, for decades like this and then never, never does it again. But uh, anyway, if you look at the guy's picture, you just see an old man. And, and even though you know the guy did awful things and, and, and you feel he needs to suffer for it, it is a little bit hard to reconcile this old man with the awful crimes he was committed to, uh, accused of committing. Now, when you see older pictures of him from the 70s when he's accused of committing these crimes, then it's very easy to picture him having done this. But sometimes you see an old person, it's just so hard to think this, this gentle-looking old man did these awful things, even if it was a long time ago when he wasn't a gentle old man. So maybe that helped this 79-year-old guy. They didn't want to give him real prison because he was so old. So there's been a lot of uh, efforts recently, not just in Michigan, but also elsewhere, to crack down on these supposed charity poker tournaments and poker games because uh, they're very lightly regulated a lot of shenanigans go on. Uh, a lot of times they offer a lot more than they're supposed to offer. A lot of times there's very, very little oversight within the entity offering them where they don't really seem to care if there's embezzlement. Uh, Haley Hintz, who wrote an article about this, talked about how she had an experience, experience with a Michigan charity game and that... Uh, one of the organizers had mentioned to her that he thought that perhaps uh, there is embezzlement going on. This is a totally different game, not not the one that we're talking about here. So she actually offered to go through uh, records and, and see if it looked like the numbers were adding up. And she did, and sure enough, it, it became clear that embezzlement was going on. It was something like about $500 per event was being stolen by the organizer. But, but one of the organizers there. So the main organizer 
actually never did anything about it. Why? Because the one who was doing all the work on this was the one who was stealing, and they really didn't have anybody else to take over. So they're like, oh, okay, fine, screw it. Just let them steal $500 every time. We don't care. We, we don't feel like getting someone new. We're just, just going to let them keep doing it. So that was her little personal story, and I believe it. So that, that, and that's basically what Michigan and the other states are concerned about. There's just uh, the organizations running these are too small. There's not enough concern about embezzlement. And, and often they're running games that are not really intended to be running. They're not supposed to be like full-on poker rooms, even if they're not big. Like, you know, stealing $37,000 and you just get five years probation and pay 700 bucks plus agreed restitution, I mean, it was almost a free roll for this guy. Like, if he got away with it, he would have had $37,000. He didn't get away with it. You, you pay the money back you stole and you, you pay $700 and you're on probation and you're already 79. So, who gives, like, who cares about a criminal record when you're 79 already? So. All right, let's... Uh, Get to the last topic. In fact, I want your input on this one, Brandon, especially. So I'm sure. Sure, you'll, sure you'll have an opinion on this one. Poker dealers. I have watched poker dealers take a lot of abuse, especially at commerce, where just because someone takes bad beats, they yell at the dealer, they tear up cards, they get very nasty, curse. Uh, I've seen other times where dealers make an honest mistake. And, and uh, not even because they're not paying attention, they just happen to make a mistake, and then people get all over their case and are really nasty to them. So I, I've I've watched dealers in action before, and I think that's a crappy job. I would never want this job. It's just uh, you just have to take so much abuse, say nothing back, just deal with awful people, have people get mad at you because you deal cards to them and they get unlucky. I, I, I've just seen it before, and I've just gotten the impression this is something unpleasant to do. And I kind of feel bad for those that uh, have to do it all the time. Is this is this how you felt when you've uh, played in these places? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we all have. One thing I hadn't had much exposure to until uh, recently was the other side, where you get to actually find out uh, what the dealers are really thinking. I've seen a little of it on the internet, but uh, I, I saw a lot more recently where dealers were complaining on Facebook to each other about uh, not getting tipped enough, about uh, what downs, and that, that's like their, sh- their shift at a particular table where, where they barely get any tips. And, and poker dealers at most places, unlike other uh, dealers of other games and casinos, typically keep their own tips. So in blackjack, if a dealer doesn't get tipped well, to them individually, it doesn't matter much because they're only getting a tiny percentage of the tips when they're being pooled. So it all averages out. Even if you got bad tips, if everybody else around you got good tips, then you still did very well. Poker dealers, that's not, that's not true. You, you just keep whatever tips you get. So I, I saw dealers complaining about where they, they make very little money, about getting stiffed, where they complain about uh, you know like late-night four-handed games where they barely get any tips and, and what assholes these players are. And I, I was getting a little frustrated reading this because I, I was getting – I think the dealers who were writing this stuff didn't look at it from the other side of the players at the casino with the escalating rake and 
you know, with other expenses here that that these players, if they were to tip the dealers as much as the dealers wanted, then these players uh, couldn't profitably play or, or couldn't profitably play enough. And the, the the players are the ones who are really risking. They're putting their money on the line here. Where if they're losing, then they're not only not making money, they're losing money. So uh, poker players who play for a living, they've got they've got to be careful about their costs, and that's a fact. And it's unfortunate that uh, players are kind of expected by the casinos to very highly subsidize the dealer's salaries and yet they keep raising the rake on the players and, and taking away other benefits that make it harder for players to do this and then then the players still get blamed, which I don't think is fair. I also don't think it's fair to say, oh, such and such person won a huge pot, they owe me this much. No, no, they don't because they, they may have lost a lot the last three days. If, you, if you've had three terrible days and one good day, you, you're probably still down by a good deal on those four days and the, the dealer who dealt you the... The, the big no limit hand where you you, you dragged a huge pot they, it may look like you're rich here but in reality you've, you've been getting your ass kicked the last four days combined even with that big pot so I think a lot of dealers don't really think of it in those terms they can just see what's in front of their face so but but here is a perspective on the other side this was a dealer who I know personally and I'm not going to name him but this is what he wrote. I understand the frustration with shitty downs and and stiffs. He's referring to like shifts uh, when you're a dealer at a table for half an hour and gets very little t- few tips. We can all laugh and joke about it. I'm relatively new to the business, having only started dealing in 2015, but I've been around mid to high stakes poker since 2003. This is still unequivocally the best part time job on the planet. And I've got a lot of service industry and entertainment experience from bartender to radio host to bouncer to strip club DJ. The money we can make working six to, six to eight hours a day, three to four days a week, blows the average working class American away. And we all, I include, I include myself here sometimes too, have the audacity to bitch way too much. And then he mentioned two common complaints he keeps seeing. Quote, the EDR sucks. Now, you may be wondering, what is EDR? Now, do you know what the EDR is, Brandon? Do I know what it is? Yeah. the ED- Come e- on, of course. Uh, okay. tell, tell, tell the the audience. Employee dining room. That's correct. The employee dining room. The EDR sucks. That, that people are complaining on Facebook, you know, dealers, about the employee dining room, that it sucks and they don't like it and blah, blah, blah. So... This is what he wrote about those that say the EDR sucks. He says, name another industry outside of restaurants where you get at least one free meal a day plus basically unlimited snacks and drinks. I can't think of one. Now, there actually is an EDR at the World Series that you can – if you walk toward the uh, the outside bathrooms, the ones where a lot of people smoke outside, you know, in the back uh, – next to the Amazon room, out the back doors. If you don't walk outside but instead walk to the left, you will reach the EDR. Uh, I've actually gone in there occasionally to grab ice when I need it. I'll grab like a cup of ice there out of the machine. I, I don't have the balls to actually take their soda, but uh, I have grabbed like a cup of ice there if I need it from the EDR. But, but that's at the Rio during the World Series. But the, the employee dining room, the po- poker dealers do have access to that. It's full of free snacks and drinks, usually a soda machine and bottled water. And as the po- poster mentioned, they're also given uh, one comp's meal. So he was saying, look, look yeah, how many other... Industries, do you get anything like this? Usually you get nothing. You've got, you've got to buy it yourself. Uh, then he says, quote, tip compliance is killing me, is a, uh, is a complaint he keeps hearing. Now, 
Do you know about tip compliance, Brandon? I'm sorry? Do you know about tip compliance, what that is? Yes. Yeah. Well, first, can we, we slow down a second? I, I want to address what, what the, EDR? the first point you yeah. made. Yeah. Because, you know, I can actually comment on that um, because I, I've worked in casinos. And I guess, you know, things pro- could have changed to some degree, you know, in, in the decade plus since I've worked in a casino. I doubt that it hasn't. And, you know, in fact, I know that it hasn't. So, talk to a lot of people still and so okay it's like this i you know it's always it was always kind of something where you know (laughs) it's actually kind of funny the higher-end casino that you worked for it really did kind of go along with the type of food quality that was provided in the edr meaning at least when i was in the industry if you worked somewhere like the bellagio you know you're gonna have more a lot better food than if you worked at the four queens downtown or you know vice versa so a lot of that went hand in hand um but i'll tell you you know i can only really testify like three different edrs uh for well, actually four the first edr that i ever worked at or the first casino i ever worked at was the el cortez back in 2002 um and that that place it was you know pretty disgusting you know but the, the, you know that's not a casino that people for the most part ever work at as a career you know it's really and i've always explained this to people it's really more just like a paid internship when you go there it's to literally get on the job uh you know training and you're getting a little bit of money as as you know a token but it's not a career nobody you know i'm not talking about like floor people or maids but in terms of dealers and in the casino part of it people don't go to work there you know, thinking, okay, I'm glad I got hired. I'm going to be here forever. No, the Tokes are miserable. The place, you know, although it's since been remodeled, it's kind of dumpy, but, uh, you know, it's nicer now. But anyhow, so the first real job that I had in the casino industry was at a place called the Suncoast, and that was in Summerlin. And at that time, it's different now, they basically had the whole uh, the dominance of the Summerlin you know, northwestern area of Vegas covered because Red Rock hadn't been built yet. And although the rampart still existed, and that's actually literally about an eighth of a mile from the Sun Coast, because of various laws and mismanagement, a lot of people didn't know about the rampart. It was also a different kind of facility. Um, so that never affected either. So when I worked there, it was like the Sun Coast. They had the whole monopoly of, of, you know, this area. And on a Friday, Saturday night when you were there, I mean, it was busy. It was packed. You know, you'd have six dice tables going. Every blackjack table, you know, was going. I mean, it was, you know, for what it was, it was kind of like a spectacle. So anyhow, getting to the food part. Um, So when I worked there, you know, I was at first, you know, because I'd never seen anything quite like it, impressed. You know, they have a fountain soda machine. And, you know, they'd have bottled waters or bottled drinks at the time. But, you know, regular water, I guess, that was filtered. And they had a salad bar. And then you had like basically like a buffet style kind of uh, situation set up where, you know, they'd have maybe like four or five hot items, a couple different vegetables, you know, dessert or two, always like donuts and cakes. And then you were allowed to – I never really – the whole time I was there, never saw how they kept track of this. But once – once a, uh, excuse me, once an evening, you know, one break out of your six breaks or whatever it may be, you were allowed to order a hot prepared item, meaning like you could have the cook – you know, there was at least one cook always, sometimes more, make you like a grilled chicken sandwich, something like fresh to order, a hamburger, 
um, eggs, you know, something along those lines. And again, you probably could have taken advantage and done it three or four times. But the whole problem with that, at least for dealers, uh, was, and this is custom still everywhere, you only have 20 minutes. So you got to think, you know, get off your game, and that's assuming someone's on time, and then, you know, say you have to use a restroom real fast. You wash your hands, and then you walk all the way downstairs, you know, at best, you have 16, 17 minutes. Usually you have less. So anyhow, Getting back to the actual food, it was okay, but like anything else, I mean, if you had sushi, I don't care what anybody says. If you had sushi or even, you know, filet mignon every single day over and over and over, it's going to get repetitive and you're going to just be like, oh my God, you know, this is just awful. You know, anything you have. So, of course, over time, uh, you know, that's what occurred. Like you just, it was the same thing. And, you know, that's the only complaint I guess I could have made or would have made at the time was it was just very, very repetitive. But furthermore, and I know this is going to sound racist, and I'm not saying this to be racist, you know, but this was kind of what the common complaint was. Um, in the Sun Coast itself, as most strip casinos, what do you think the majority druff of employees are? Like just nationality. What do you think the highest nationality? I, I'd say Hispanic. Of- Yes, that's correct. And again, like people may say, well, I walk into the wind and I just see a ton of Asians. But, you know, you're just talking the front of the house. You know, the back of the house more than dominates. You know, when I say back of the house, I mean like maids and, you know, just people that you don't see, you know, walking the casino floor. A great percentage of them are Hispanic. I mean, overwhelmingly. So at a place like the Sun Coast, there was a lot of Spanish food over and over. And if you didn't like you know, tacos and fajitas and tostadas and things like that, then yeah, I could see why people would complain. But, you know, that was the way it was. And, you know, I can tell you, again, it's not being racist. It's just the truth. There is an overwhelming amount of Spanish food. You know, always beans, always Mexican rice, always something with, you know, a tortilla. Um, You know, that was just it. It was very, very rare that you'd find something like, you know, spaghetti and meatballs or, or, you know, meatloaf. It just, it was more with the Spanish flair. So people complained about that. Um, but again, you know, like it's anything else, you know, you eat enough of anything. I don't care if they had seafood every day. Uh, the other thing that uh, they did there at the Suncoast, and I assume they did it, they do it at other places too, because it makes, would it make sense if, if they didn't, was on special occasions like New Year's and then usually like around 10 o'clock at night and then in the morning as well. When buffets would close or they'd like breakfast would become lunch, lunch would become dinner, they would bring the leftover items. Now, again, this is, you know, all three places I've worked at are four places, which Suncoast, the Hard Rock, the Mirage, and and El Cortez didn't do this because they didn't have buffets at the time. But they would bring the leftovers. And, you know, it's under a, a lamp. It's edible food. It's fine. So you'd get, you know, your eggs in the morning, depending on what shift you worked or late at night, you'd get sometimes, you know, some kind of steak or, you know, seafood stuff. Um, so, again, I, I kind of can agree, you know, looking back now at it that, yeah, I mean, they did charge you. You could eat as much as you want. In fact, I knew a lot of people back then that literally would save money and or were cheap, you know, or couldn't afford you know, a combination of the three. And they would solely eat at work. Like meaning, you know, it's they work, let's say, casino shift on swing shift, and this city is like say six six to two p.m. So you wake up, you know, one two o'clock in the afternoon, and you hang out for a little bit, maybe have some coffee, head to work, and then you eat on your first break, and then you know you have another big meal around one o'clock or whenever your last break is in the evening, 
And then that's it. Like I literally know people that for five, five, you know, for years, five days a week when they had to work, they, you know, fully ate at work that, you know, again, like there were, you know, various reasons. Some people literally didn't have the money and wouldn't have been able to eat or at least eat to that degree. Like me yeah. have meats and have salads and things like that. So all in all, there's really no other way around it. You know, meaning like you can't sit here and you can't compliment the casino industry. Oh, they're so gracious. They're giving you food because there's no other choice. They can't make you work eight hours, sometimes longer, you know, if, if there's overtime involved. You know, there is overtime involved, you know, for holidays, for New Year's Eve, for, you know, special occasions and not feed you because you don't have enough time to even go somewhere. Like even if they just said, hey, you know, we got a McDonald's, we have a subway. It's impossible in 20 minutes to get off your game, to go order, to wait, you know, have it prepared and sit and eat. So it's kind of a little catch-22. You know, like, I wouldn't sit here and say they're so generous because they're not, you know, but at the same time, you know, they also could charge you. You know, they could technically charge you five bucks a day or three bucks a day or some denominal, you know, some nominal amount, and they don't do that. So, you know, that's it. That's basically my take. I mean, I've never, I never got sick. Um, you know, there's some things that were better than others, but I know even now it's commonplace, like in the morning that, you know, you'll have your eggs, you know, you'll have, you know, your bread and your pancakes. It's just like, you know, an average buffet style food. And then in the evening, you know, you, like I said, you could have a burger made, you know, or you could have a salad bar, pastas, fruit, you know, and again, it's not like the best quality. It's not like you're shopping at Whole Foods or something, you know, it's not organic. It's not the freshest, but again, never got sick, never, you know, had any issue with it. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's basically it. And listen, I was a dealer. You know, so I'll be the first to say this. You know, I, I was a dealer. I, I was a floor person. I was a you know, supervisor. Um, so, you know, to me, you know, it, it still is, to at least my knowledge, the easiest field to get into without an education. Meaning if you're not, you know, trained, you know, you don't have a degree in college, you don't have any sort of vocational training. I mean, literally anybody, anybody, even now, can come to the city and have no skill set. Okay, you can have no skill set. And within a year, if you try hard and, and you know you're not on drugs and you follow the rules and you really give it your all, you could be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. You can. You know, from nothing. From literally spending a couple hundred dollars and going to a school and getting trained. And again, like I'm saying, you know, you can have to have a great attitude, you gotta give it your all, you gotta be, you know, customer oriented, that's a big thing, but what other career can you literally have no experience? Go to a, go to you know in some cases a school for a week. You know if you're just solely going to like deal blackjack and one other carnival game, you could easily accomplish that in a week. Easily. I went for craps and it took me about three weeks. And craps is the hardest game by far to deal. Um, so you know blackjack, you're normally in and out of there. You know in a week, ten days at the most. And again, you know you go from a place like uh, the El Cortez. And I'll, I'll give you an example. This was like 2002. The El Cortez, which, again, is like a training facility. You don't make much money. There were days we had like $6, $8 tips. But you know that going in, and nobody stays there. You know, everybody goes there until they feel comfortable to go to a, you know, a different or a better property, and then you audition. So it really is on-the-job training. And that's still kind of, to this day, how the El Cortez is, which is also why people over the years – have gone there to try to exploit de dealers, whether it's, you know, by just hole carding or just, you know, post betting other things, because it, it's a known fact that the dealers there are going to be extremely weak because they're new. And it's also a known fact that the floor aren't going to be, you know, particularly interested or diligent because they're grossly underpaid. I remember back then they were making less than a hundred a day. 
Now this was 2002, but you know I, I remember Floor was making like eighty dollars a day. You know, so that was like you know ten dollars an hour. They actually had they had a reputation at the, at the El Cortez maybe for this reason, where if you even played just basic strategy blackjack without counting cards, that they didn't want you, they'd kick you. I, I don't know that. I mean, I don't remember that because like I you know I basically only solely concentrated on on being in crafts. But yeah, sure, I believe it absolutely because they probably just didn't want to deal with it. Everybody there was just underpaid you know everybody was for the most part brand new because you really couldn't stay there and support a family like if you were like a single person with a roommate then maybe you could but you know definitely not as a dealer but you know as a floorman or you know a supervisor something to that degree you know you know then of course you could but okay so literally i remember thinking back then this was again 2002 anytime we made over 20 bucks in tips plus we were getting of course minimum wage that was a good day 20 bucks. It was. I mean, back then, you know, not for our lives, but just in terms of the overall expectation. And even more so, what was kind of interesting back then, and nowhere, nowhere in Vegas does this anymore, uh, by the way, is the next day when you would go to work, at least you'd get whatever you made in tips the night before in cash. Now, it would still, you still pay taxes, but the way it would work is they'd give you the money in cash, and then on your next paycheck, it was itemized, and your paychecks would be very, very, very small because you were getting the full amount tax-free of your tips, but just not, you know, on your paycheck. So, you know, you could work in theory eighty hours a week, and you know, your paycheck would be like, you know, less than two hundred bucks, you know, because of your your other costs, like if you know you had deductions and whatever it may be, and then of course, you know, the tax on the tips. So, but anyhow, so back in two thousand two, you're making that kind of money, but you're just out of school. Like in some cases, you literally knew nothing about gaming. You go to a gaming school for a week or two, and all of a sudden, you know, you're wearing, you know, your black and whites, which is what, you know, you refer to like a, a new de- break-in dealer wearing, and you're dealing on a live game. You have your gaming license and everything. So in most cases, anybody that really tries and is proficient and doesn't have any problems can start auditioning in about four to six weeks after working at the El Cortez. Um, and, you know, what auditioning means is you literally will go to an, a casino that you've applied for and they've called you and they'll go over a, you know, in a, like a personal interview with you where they'll sit you down. They'll ask you questions about your personality, your background, you know, things like that. How do you feel that, like you'd be an asset to this corporation? And then they actually will have you walk up to a live game, tap the dealer out, and then you'll deal, you know, some, in some cases, I and mean, it's a short amount of time relatively, but you know, sometimes it's a couple minutes and they've seen enough. Sometimes they'll make you sit there for a full, 20, 30 minutes. And while the whole time, not only are you dealing and interacting with customers, you're, you know, also have somebody right over your shoulder, sometimes more than one person that are monitoring you and just, you know, taking notice of everything you do. So that's what an audition is. So anyhow, again, so you're at the, you're at the, the El Cortez and you end up leaving there, say after a month and you go to a place like the Orleans, which back in 2002, they were making about 48,000 a year. That's a high number. I mean, that's a, that's a very high number for a single person or even you know, somebody with a family, you know, with that kind of skill set. And you know, a lot of people did that. You know, you would. That was one of the kind of they're called like next houses. You know, houses what people refer to in the business as a casino. And Boyd Properties at that time they were actually called Coast Properties, like the Sun Coast, the Gold Coast, the Orleans, and even the Barbary Coast. Those were places that you would be able to go from being a break-in, you know, dealer to the next level. Nobody, unless you had some insane super juice 
and juice is like knowing somebody would ever go from like a break in house dealing to the win or to the Bellagio or even back then to like the Mirage. It just doesn't happen. You know, like usually those kind of places, it takes a number of years and, you know, just on the job training and just, you know, even if you're proficient as a dealer, you know, after a year, you know, if you're some genius and after a year you think, you know, everything, you're still not going to get hired at a place like that because they're going to look and they're going to find someone that has more experience that even if, you know, ideally you could do the same job they could still not going to get hired. But, you know, again, those are like the gold mines for dealers. Like right now, you know, the win is made close to a hundred thousand, you know, a year on the encore, like every year they have, um, it went down a little bit, you know, recently, but anyhow, it's still, it's an amazing job. It's better than teachers. It's like three times what a teacher makes in the state. So anyhow, Again, the point is, I don't think to this day you could really find another kind of career where you could literally go from nothing to making that kind of money, you know, whether it's 40, 50 ish, you know, in a month, 45 days time. So I think people lose track of that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not dissuading, you know, the job a dealer does because I'll tell you, I did it and it isn't easy work. And I know a lot of times people will sit there and be like, oh, you know, they're just dealers. I mean, listen, you're on your feet constantly and you can just say okay well you're lazy but listen anything you do where you're on your feet literally for almost eight hours day after day after day it wears on your body it does then you have to consider like you know especially craps but any dealer you're bending over back and forth head is down head is up and you know after about a year of you know dealing dice i had you know back problems not anything that was serious that you know i needed surgery but my back would always be sore you know it would take the days off that i had from work to kind of just get myself back in shape but it is it is a little strenuous and as you get older you know even more so then of course there are things you have to deal with like you know smoke in your face and people being obnoxious and people being rude and it happens all the time and in some cases no matter how friendly you are to somebody people are just going to be obnoxious or bitter and that's going to happen because there's always going to be emotions when it involves money you know like people being separated from their money and it's always going to bring out the worst in people and I guess it will also bring out in some cases the best when people are winning. So by far and away, it's not an easy job. These people have to sit there under bad conditions. And, you know, no matter how good a mood they're in, other people, you know, are going to be hostile. Um, but again, you know, it's kind of like the deal that you sign up for. I mean, you know, where else are you going to make that kind of money? And, you know, like you go to a place like the Win right now and you're going to see people that can barely speak English dealing games like Pygau Tiles and Baccarat. Some cases they don't speak English. Some cases are only they've only been in this country for a small amount of years, and they're making ninety, a hundred thousand, and they're saving their money, and they're going to put their kids through college with that money, and they're buying properties and houses and businesses. I mean, I know people that literally, you know, that that work in casinos and they have like businesses that you know are grossing you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, if not you know even more than that. So anyhow, that's my take. Sorry if it's a little long winded. You know, it just you know it, it's. Uh, it's like I said, it's really a unique set of circumstances because even now, I mean, I still can't think of anything where you could really be trained that fast, become efficient that fast and make that kind of money. And it's also now, even more so than it was in like 2002, a skill set where you could almost go anywhere. You know, before, you know, not as much. You got to come to Vegas. You got to Atlantic City. But now, you know, you got all of California. You got the Midwest. You got the, you know, you got everywhere, even Florida now. You can go and become a dealer. So it gives you a sense of job security, you know? So, anyhow, what's, what's your take, Druff? Thank well, you yeah. for giving me that rant. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think as far as the employee dining room, one, one thing to 
they, they should consider. I know you're saying they don't really have time to stop and eat if there's not a long enough break, but as you said, they are getting something for free, and uh, so they, they have to keep that in mind. And that, that's it, it is still a benefit. And uh, and you know, if if they don't like that, if they want a job where they're going to get a longer break, where they then would go buy a meal at their own expense, wherever they want to do. Uh, they could take a job like that instead. But uh... Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, when you sign up for something and you know in advance what it is and then you bitch later, it's kind of just like, okay, you know, that's really not – you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like and, you, you know going into it what it is. And, and I'll tell you something. I mean the food isn't great. It's not gourmet, but I'll tell you there's probably a few hundred million people in this world that would love that benefit that, you know, that, that go to sleep hungry every day that would love to have be privy to that. So you know what I'm saying? It, it's 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 somewhere in the middle. It's not great. It's not bad, but it's it's fair. Yeah. I mean, you know. And so so let me move on here about the tip compliance. And hold on. So, but tell me what you think. Can you think of another industry, uh, you know, in the United States in which somebody can be unskilled or maybe just want a different career and literally go, you know, from nothing, no skill, or no skill in that field to making you know, a decent amount of money, at least enough to support yourself no, ex- except in such for, a small amount of time. Except for around the, the, the mid-2000s during the housing boom before the whole crash occurred where people would start getting into these uh, these subprime mortgages. No, not flipping houses, getting into do, you know, processing subprime mortgages. There's companies that you, you just do a little bit of training and then get in there and get big commissions for uh, – but, but the whole thing was, was – uh, it, it was going to crash eventually. The whole thing was 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 set up on false premises, and uh, and it was going to fall apart, which it did in two thousand eight. So, aside from that, where I watched people who were unskilled and suddenly making a lot of money once they got trained to do this, which yeah, that had no staying power. No, I have never seen anything like this, like dealing where you can, as you said, take a small uh, training course. And, and, and start making good money. And that's what this guy is – that's the, the point this guy was making here. And, and it's a good point. And that's often why I'm, I'm questioning how these dealers are complaining about their compensation and about their tips and when, when they should take a step, step back and look overall what they are making, much of well, it coming okay, from the but, players. Okay, but I'll also go and say that uh, with all that said – it's really like everything else in life where there's extreme highs and there are extreme lows. And I can tell you that places, you know, basically almost everywhere downtown except for, you know, like the Golden Nugget and then a lot of lesser places, they're not making much. No, they're I know really that. Not. I, I know and, they're making And it's less. really, and, you know, I mean, and don't, don't think for a second, oh, well, they're on the strip. Then, you know, like a place like the Luxor or the Excalibur, I mean, there are days when they're making 50, 60 bucks, you know, plus their minimum wage. I mean, it's not... You know, there are days where it's it's better, but it's not not substantially. But again, the whole thing is like any other career. People that are at those places do. And I'm telling you, because I did it, and it wasn't like I was in this you know industry for ten years. If you have the motivation and you try, you can move up and you can keep going. Okay, but people like you know just in life in general get complacent, and you know you'll see somebody that is at Arizona Charlie's and they're bitching and they're complaining. You know, and, you know, and they, you look at them, you ask, how long have you been here? And they've been there 10 years, 15 years. And a lot of it, and I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of it is a lot of people get complacent because, you know, they can't pass a drug test, which is a requirement to get hired some, you know, somewhere else. I mean, every strip casino, every casino, you know, drug test. So 
you know, but I do want people to realize, you know, again, that a lot of these places where they may frequent these dealers are, you know, basically in some cases right at the poverty level, maybe even below it. I mean, they're not making that kind of money. They're not, um, you know, and in places like, I mean, there's a big discrepancy. But I actually, I've seen some dealers with, with bad attitudes in places like the Wynn Bellagio where, where they were making for, especially like 10 years ago when they were and, making, yeah, where they were made, some of them making a hundred thousand a year. There's no excuse for that. That's despicable in yeah. my opinion. I mean, unless somebody's mistreating them, you know, you're required to basically as a dealer, no matter what problems you're having at home, what personal problems you're having, you know, you have to block that out and you can't take that out on your guests. I mean, anything, any hospitality type job, you can't do that. Imagine at Disney, you know, and, and Mickey Mouse is pissed off and he's not taking photos today. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't yeah, let I know. those I know. things so affect you. And you're right. I've seen it myself too. I've yeah. seen it tons of times. And listen, you know, the way I've always thought of it is if you, you know, tipping is a personal choice. And, you know, we don't need to get into all that now, but if you choose not to tip, you know, you shouldn't be treated any differently than if you choose to tip. And, of course, I've seen it. You know, you win a lot of money or even a little money. And, you know, dealers don't know how you're doing elsewhere or how you're doing on your trip. And you don't, you know, you don't toke them. They'll give you, a, you know, a bad look. They'll give you a dirty I, I would, look. I would have it that, that they would decide what I'm tipping is not enough and then get angry about it. They wouldn't say so, but I could tell they'd be pissed. And they, of and course, I, the body and I'd say, language, why, 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 why am I even yeah. tipping at all then? I, and then I stopped. I just said, well, I'm not going to tip these blackjack dealers if that's the attitude I'm going to get. So is, I felt like I either got to tip something obscenely high, which I didn't want to do, or or if I tipped what I thought was fair, they'd give me an attitude. So I said, well, if I'm going to get that attitude, I might as well get the same attitude for tipping zero. And besides, the, the, you know, at the places I was playing, they were making a ton of money anyway. These were not the ones on the poverty line. These were ones making, you know, ninety hundred right. k. Well, I, I be honest, I disagree with with your thinking. And of course, it, it's not, you know, it's like anything else. You have the right, as you know, to your opinion, I have the right to mine. But I think, you know, punishing a, a small amount. And that's the whole problem, you know, with the fact that yeah, you know, you're 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 right in in your belief that you know what, someone's going to be rude, someone's going to give me dirty looks, or make it obvious they're not happy with my tipping. That I'm going to stiff them, but then the hardworking people that are always positive, and there are a lot of those, believe me, they are, that are always happy that no matter what, block out you know, their own crap to try to give guests the best experience, they're getting penalized too. And that's, you know, but what's the solution there? So to me, the solution is, you know, figure out what amount you think is right. And I would just do that regardless because, you know, you're not just punishing that person that was rude, you are punishing the single mom. Or you are punishing. Well, the that's, I know, I know. But hold on, I know the thinking that what you're saying. Well, I'm the only one. It's not a lot of money to you know get split up. But if more people, you know, a lot of people think that way, then it does become a lot. Well, actually, I actually, I actually had that discussion. I had the discussion before. So I was talking about the pl- the high end places where they're already making a ton of money, not the ones where, um, you know, they were. So I already felt that the the ones at these high end places that were making ninety or hundred k a year to deal cards. I said they're, they're already overpaid. They're already way overpaid. Now, now, great for them. I'm not saying they. I'm not saying they should have money taken away from them. I'm saying they're already overpaid, and whatever I choose to do at this moment is not going to affect anybody. It's not. It's not like the world is watching me, and they're all going to. If I don't tip, they're not going to tip. This is something where it's not going to influence anybody else, and and so if I just decided if it's a if if I'm not going to be get any kind of appreciation for doing the tipping at the blackjack at these places. Then I'm not going to tip at all. If they're, they're not going to, sh- and, and and I don't feel like I'm stiffing quote a single mom or or, or or a poor person because these are people who are already way overpaid for what they're doing because of where they are. So you know the, the truth is they really don't. Uh, um, 
need my money anyway. So, so I, I it, it was. I, I wanted to, but I, I just I got tired of the the attitudes I was getting. So, but anyway, getting back to this whole thing. You know, I wish, I wish, I, you know, real fast, one more thing. I wish somehow they could come up with some sort of reward system that would reward dealers that were attentive and, and you know took good care of their guests and somehow penalized uh, you know dealers that that weren't back in the day up until you know the early to mid 80s it was absolutely commonplace for dealers everywhere to work what's called table for table and that means literally whatever they make whatever they're toked they take home and they go home with and that went on for the first 30 40 years of Las Vegas people you know probably don't realize that but the problem that became with that happened with that of course was that people were hustling hard you know or hustling harder you know uh, there were many instances where supervisors were turning a blind eye to you know certain shady behavior because they were getting paid off yes yes and it just they had to eliminate that incentive for stealing or for just impropriety and you know but but and this happened about you know i don't know 5 7 years ago to get a lot of these girls to work and these party pits that are now so common and maybe they're not as common as they were they're still all over the place but you know seven ten years ago they started just going everywhere where you see girls literally like dealing and they're like wearing bathing suits or bikinis or skimpy outfits and sometimes they even like after dealing for 20 or 40 minutes they start dancing on a pole or, or you know some sort of have you seen these yes these, yes you know oh, yeah and they're, they're everywhere i mean especially on, on the weekends to get people to do this which, you know, it would be very hard to fill these jobs and make these girls have to work. And I say girls only because the majority of them are girls to work harder than other dealers. They had to give them some incentive. And that incentive was those dealers actually started becoming table for table. Yeah. I mean, they got to keep every last dollar of their tips. Uh, you know, for an example, during up until, I guess, seven or eight years ago at the uh, Imperial Palace, when it was called the Imperial Palace, they had or they were known for dealer tainers. And I'm, you know, I think we were even there once for yes. for karaoke, and you saw it. And what that was is they literally had dealers dressed up in wigs and makeup, resembling you know everyone from Michael Jackson to Lionel Richie and Marilyn Monroe, and you know just all of them. And you know the time, the energy that it would take to put these costumes on, and you know you're sweating. You know they as well started getting you know paid just whatever they got tipped. You know one guy wins a bunch of money and tips them five hundred dollars. You know their whole night is made. So anyhow, I wish that there was some way it could go back to something in the middle where people were getting well, rewarded because that would change it all. I'll tell you what I wish. I, mean, if, I, I know this is not realistic, but what would be best is if the casinos just paid them what you know, a proper salary in the first place and eliminated tipping. They just said, no, it would never tipping. happen. I know it wouldn't. I know it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just but saying just that, that, would, that would be the ideal to where the player is not expected to do this and uh, that would solve a lot of this. But okay, look, I, I, I want to get back to the – the main subject, I know this is kind of a associated subject, but the tip compliance thing, uh, a lot of people don't know this goes on. And that is that there was, for, for many years, the IRS was battling with Vegas casinos over dealer tips because the IRS was very aware of the fact. And this is before the, uh, the, the, the pooling was taking place. But, uh, the IRS was frustrated that other than tip pools where the casino knew exactly how much each uh, employee was getting and reported to the IRS, the 
dealers were the ones who were supposed to report their own tips to the IRS. And, of course, most of them underreported, so they didn't have to pay as many taxes. So. Well, it's the same thing that also went on with bartenders yes, and yes, other of course, people of course. were so, in the tip – related, you know, job. Yeah. So so what uh so the IRS and Vegas casinos were were battling about this for a long time. Finally they came up with something that they call by the way, I see a phone call coming in. I unfortunately can't take it. Skype's having some issues right now. So sorry about that. The, the what they were battling with 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 the situation and so finally what they came, they came to an agreement called tip compliance. And that was that was where the casino would estimate what the dealers would make in tips on an average night. And then the IRS would tax them based upon that, regardless of how much they actually made in tips. So if you had an above average night in tips, then you didn't get tipped on the excess. You didn't get taxed on the excess. If you had a below average night, you're actually paying taxes on money you never made. So the average was determined by the casino. It was kind of a, you know, they tried to do their best to come up with something they thought was fair, but uh, a number of dealers have complained that tip compliance is unfair and that they get screwed by it, that they end up paying more in taxes than they actually make in tips, and it's very frustrating. And, and the thing is, since poker dealers tend to keep their own tips, they do have to deal with tip compliance, whereas the one the, the, the pit game dealers who get part of the tip pool, the, there's no tip compliance needed there because uh, there's an exact amount they're given and the, and the casino can report it to the IRS. So the poker dealers have com- uh, complained, and this is what this guy wrote in his post, quote, tip compliance is killing me. So this is his response to that. Might be true when you have a $4 down in a shitty game, but I don't see you rushing to withhold more when somebody tosses you a green bird, meaning a $25 ship, on a high hand bonus, or when you push a big PLO bonus, bonus and get three red birds, meaning $15, you know, three $5 ships. And he goes on to say, I get it. There are many aspects of the job that tend to suck and or get frustrating, but they are all short-term, long-run, it evens out. Still the best part-time or full-time, if you're you, you lucky, entitled whiners, job on the planet, he says. So, so Tim Compliance, yeah, I can see if you look – he's right. If you look at this in the short term where you got tipped uh, very little – and then you get taxed on – as if you had been tipped more, yes, you are paying tax on money that you never earned, and that's really frustrating. And I can imagine how that can really piss someone off. But but he's right that when they get over-tipped compared to what the average is, that uh, they're probably not thinking, oh, wow, I don't have to pay taxes on this extra money above the average. Uh, great. That they don't think of that. It's, it's much easier to think of the negative. Similarly, like when you play poker – you think much more of the times you took horrible beats than the times you've given horrible beats to others. So, so uh, it's, it's similar to that. When you take the bad beat on taxes there, then you uh, you, you remember it and get pissed. Well, when, when you get away with not having to pay taxes legally. Yeah, but see, the, the problem, I could already tell you, the problem with tip compliance in general and, and even just that line of thinking is that it's not a – you know, I can – I mean, obviously, I understand what happens. You know, they think they're coming up with a fair, you know – solution that will cover all but i can tell you you know dealers that work at at places like hey for example the sun coast that just closed or back in the day to the sahara towards the end you know they're not making you know in some cases anything some of these dealers literally are going to work and they're going home with 20 30 bucks a day in tips then on the other end you know you have dealers at the bellagio that i know Okay, I know for a fact, and maybe it's not like this now, but I know during the poker boom back in the day, 
those dealers were working weekends and they were leaving with $500 minimum, minimum, you know? So, but the point is it's not a fair common, you know, ground type of solution because, you know, it's just like everything else in society. It's like one answer or one solution or one set of rules isn't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Isn't but he's saying that the casinos, the, the casinos, you know, they're estimating it uh, per, you know, actually he's not saying this, but they're, I, I, what I've, been made to understand is it's not blanket for all casinos that they each casino estimates at their property what the average is. Okay, I, I didn't. If that's the case, I don't know that. I mean, if, if is that really? That, that, that's are you what sure I, that, that's, I'm not 100 percent sure, okay. but that's what I yeah. uh, have been made to understand. Yeah. So so that's and so that if provided that they're not overestimating the average, in which case it would be very frustrating. Provided they're not doing that, then yeah, it does even out. Provide the average yeah. is either. I wonder how they would even come up with a number. I mean, or a, a fair arbitrary number because, like anything else, you know, Wednesday graveyard, nothing's going on. You're gonna, you know, how do they how do they dissimilate between shifts? You know, I've been to the Bellagio, which is a great job, or the Aria, which are probably the top two jobs even now. And there's a big difference between you know seven o'clock, eight o'clock on a you know weeknight versus three or four in the morning. On that same night, how do they differentiate if that's the case and they're doing it per property and not on the actual amount that you make? Because, like, I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes it's a personal reason, sometimes it's, it's a family reason, you know, choose to work graveyard even though they'll make considerably less so they can take their kids to school in the morning or, you know, or be there when they get home, you know, from school. A lot of people do that. So I don't know. I'll research into this or the person that – how did you say? Did they post They posted this, this on Facebook. It was in a yeah. thread on Facebook where a bunch of poker dealers were talking okay. about it. Well, if they're by chance listening or if not, like I said, I could research it myself. But you tell me hypothetically – and, you know, of course you know this. How does this affect the discrepancy between you know a, a certain shift and another shift? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that answer. I mean I've, you know, I've walked into the Bellagio you know, and the Aria where dealers literally are going on – you know. Extended breaks, like okay, they're on a twenty-minute break. The floor will send them on another twenty-minute break because there's too many dealers and not yeah. enough games. Yeah, I've seen, and they're just not working. You know, or you know, so how many times have you seen? You know, I remember like at the Palms and even at the Bellagio. I remember this at the Bellagio where dealers literally would come there to work and they're dealing to you. They're dealing to you, and then five minutes later, you get up, you use a bathroom or whatever, and they're sitting at your table playing with you at the same table they were dealing. <laughs> and that's because have you ever seen that happen? Yes, yes. And that's because it's so it was so slow, or there's so many dealers, you know, nine of downs that they were given, you know, basically an early out, and then the, it's on the, you know, the player or the dealer who's now the player to, you know, use their own money. They're not, you know, they're not being staked. They're not shills to determine that, you know, the only way to really make this day, you know, anything other than a wash is to try to win a couple pots myself, <laughs> which I've always thought is is wrong. Like it was such a conflict. Like I'm not stupid. That I really believe, you know, maybe it, it, it goes on, but I'm not stupid that I really believe if a guy that was just dealing to me that knows everyone at the Bellagio and is friendly is sitting at that game, you know, now he scoops a big pot that it was fixed. No, I'm not a conspiracy guy like that. But at the same time, I also think it's a terrible conflict of interest, you know, for me to now be playing heads up and get, you know, say I get bad beat by the, you know, the, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's just something that I never thought should occur. In fact, at the Orleans, a few years ago, they had a dealer that won a very high bad beat jackpot, which was, you know, it was like close to $100,000. And then they instrumented a rule after that because so many players were pissed that this happened. 
that dealers couldn't play there. And they've since relaxed that rule. But uh, I've never agreed, especially with a place like the Bellagio. You're not talking about like a low-end, you know, casino. Yeah, I agree. Some of these dealers would play like 30-60 or 40-80 after, you know, right when they're still working or they just got off work. Yeah, I agree. It's not a good look. Uh, So something else I I noticed in this thread, this wasn't posted by this guy, but other dealers were posting this. Some of them were acting very entitled. And in fact, they were discussing ways to passive-aggressively punish tables with non-tippers, such as they talked about uh, intentionally dealing or shuffling very slowly, uh, you know, it's spreading the deck every time when they're not supposed to, uh, and, and other things that they can do to aggravate players or slow down the game if they don't feel they're getting tipped. And I, I hate things like that, not just from dealers, but I hate when employees at any job where they don't own the company think that they can use their job to punish customers because they should not be able to the the only person who should be able to punish customers should be the person who will directly suffer if the customer doesn't come back and that would be the owner so the owner of a business wants to be a jerk or do something to punish the customer i still think they shouldn't be done but at least he is risking his own livelihood by doing so i absolutely hate when just employees think it is their right to do nasty things to customers they dislike it's not their place to do this includes the uh uh, the restaurant server who wants to spit in your food or do other things in your food because they uh, they they don't like you for some reason, or uh, uh, the DMV employee who purposely uh, you know goes really slow or makes things difficult for you or uh, uh, does something else to make your time there unpleasant because they don't like the way you've talked to them, or uh, uh, the customer service rep that intentionally disconnects the call or or, or transfers you somewhere you don't want to go, or or or, or promises you something that they know they're not going to do just to get you off the phone. All of these type of things are not their place to do. And unfortunately, and same with these dealers, they, they don't think they're getting, you know, they're not getting tipped, so they decide they're going to punish you by slowing down the game. That is not their place to do. That's not what they've been hired to do. That's not what they're allowed to do. They should not do it. And I've never had any sympathy for anyone who uses their job to punish people they don't like. In fact, on the flip side of it, and I'm not talking about dealers necessarily, I'm talking more about in any industry. If I am on the receiving end of an employee who is punishing me, I am the one who will track down their direct supervisor or even sometimes the manager of their direct supervisor and tell them. When you say dealer again, I'm sorry, can you give me a couple instances and uh, from you know experience of how you feel you've ever been punished? I don't think I have, but I, I may not have noticed. Or you've uh, watched other people. With dealers, I haven't watched as far as uh, the passive-aggressive punishment, but there were dealers discussing it in this thread that they do it. They were saying that they could you know, spread the deck every time and uh, uh, or, or deal super slowly or shuffle very slowly. Or the, 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 you know, There was one saying, uh, I, I'm dealing to a 5-10 no-limit game, and these guys forehanded, never tipping me the whole hour. Well... I've decided I'm just going to deal super slowly and spread the deck every time and shuffle super slowly. You should see how few hands they get per hour and how frustrated they look. Ha, 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 ha. What? You can't do that. That's not fair to do. That's not That's not what you're paid to do there. And you, you should not let your tips or lack thereof determine how you do your job. You should do your job the way that your employer is expecting you to do it. And, and even if you're getting under-tipped... You can be unhappy about it privately, but you should not punish people using your job if you're an employee there. 
So because you're, the, the thing is, if the if the customers are unhappy and say oh, this sucks, like let's say the dealers who are dealing super slowly, and then uh, players at the table go, you know what, this place sucks. They, we get so few hands per hour. Every dealer is super slow. You know, screw this. I'm never coming back here. Who suffers? The room does. Do the uh, these dealers? They don't suffer much from this. So I, I've always felt. I'm not just talking about dealers. Any employee should never use their job. Yeah, but you know what? I really, I, at least in the, that specific example, I really question how frequent that goes on. And if it does, then I also blame the, the floor supervisors that are just there for that purpose. That's why they're there. They're supposed to be overseeing the dealers, no, but making never sure that the games I, go yeah. smooth. I and, hardly ever see it know, happening unless someone complains. They don't. They don't give a crap. Well, but I, I'm not. I'm saying they're supposed to. I know, but I'm, I'm speaking, saying I'm speaking that that's in, why they're there. That's why they're making 200 and change a day. But I'm just, speaking you know, in, in theory, just for any, any job. I hate when there's an attempt to punish any any customer, especially you know if I'm experiencing it personally. I if I see that anywhere, and again, I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about the casino industry necessarily, though there too. That right. if if I am being punished by an employee, I will punish them back by making sure their direct supervisor or supervisor of their supervisor knows exactly what they've done. I'm not talking about human mistakes or or careless mistakes or things. I'm talking about when someone intentionally does something to make my life difficult through their job. Then uh, then they end up uh, then I'm the wrong guy to do that to. And, and people say, "Oh, how can you do that?" I say, "Well, because." That's not supposed to happen because you're not supposed to punish me with your job. And that's why, like, and, and I've hated because, unfortunately, uh, society just kind of thinks this is okay. Society thinks if you if you're not uh, nice to your server or don't give good tips at a restaurant, uh, you deserve to get your food spat in. No, you don't. No, you don't. That in fact, that should be illegal. You should go to prison. No, for I, no, I, I I agree absolutely. No one's no one reasonable would argue differently. But at the same time, you know, I also am of the thinking that if you can't afford to tip properly. Or if you're not going to tip properly, then you shouldn't go out to eat. Oh no, no, I agree because with that. It's just, I, I, it's, you know, and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not saying you got to be overly generous or, you know, but, you know, I mean, people that do go and they get fine service, and there's a great, you know, I've never been a server, I've never ever served in a restaurant, you know, one day in my life. Um, you know, I've worked in a bar, which is kind of a little similar, but you know, still not the same. And I know just tons of people that have over the years, and I've heard stories all the time of large parties and. You know, things of that nature where they're treated great and, you know, they just basically don't want to pay that, you know, what basically is equivalent of 15 percent VIG on top of the bill and, you know, as well as the meal. And in that case or tax. And in that case, you know, like I said, you just shouldn't go out to eat. No, I, you know, I agree with that. Right. I'm, I'm not defending the non-tippers. Just, I'm not even defending the non-tippers here. I'm, I'm saying that yeah. if you get if you are unhappy about anything at work. Whether it's a lack of tip or someone just being rude to you or whatever well, it is, they, you should not use your job well, listen, to punish anybody. I agree. Uh, again, I agree. But I learned this a long time ago, and I'm sure you know this too. You know, the number one rule when you're dealing with anybody in, in any sort of food industry or beverage industry is if you do have any gripe whatsoever, you never allude to it until you have whatever you want. Yes, yeah, I wait till the end. And, yes. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you never until everything you, I mean, you could. Even in a place like, you know, a chain restaurant, Outback, like you wouldn't think, hey, if, you know, you kind of got into it with the waitress or the waiter that they're going to go back and, you know, they're buddies with the cook and they're going to, you know, have some deep rooted conspiracy. But it's possible. I mean, you just never yes, know. Yes, it, it always is. I mean, you, know, you, you never know. Like, no, it, you know, it, it always is. Yeah, right. I, I, that's why I always try to do that, too. But, if there's a complaint, I yeah. do it after I got the food. But you always get, you always do, whether it's a fast food or even a fine dining restaurant. Till, you know, that's one thing you never fuck with, food, you know, what you put in your body. Yeah, but um, my point is that you're right, and I agree with that, and that's that's the way I operate as well. But I think it's ridiculous that 
a lot of people, a lot more than you expect, accept that not just that this happens. That's it's, it's fine to be realistic and say yes, this happens. Be careful, but that it's okay to happen. That that that's not you, okay. That no, you, I mean, but a lot like of people any, think so. Anything else in life that is commonplace, but it doesn't make it. But right a lot of people think so. A lot of people think so. A lot of people say, ah, you know, you 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 know. They actually think Who? that this. Oh, I've I've had these discussions before where the majority actually say, if you're rude to your server, you deserve to have your server do such and such. No, no, you don't. No, well, you when don't. You, when you say such and such, you mean tampering with your food? Yes, yes. See, but that's insane because then you know what? You either have a very small sample size, or the people that you've discussed this with are just so. Uh, I mean, what's the adjective? Just so deluded. You know, or convoluted that that they're, they're saying this. If you I mean, if you start this a discussion, person, like a, a normal, mature, hardworking, honest person would never rationalize. You'd be that. shocked at how much people have been brainwashed in this country by the, the whole tipping culture. I mean, that they that they think that service people are are beyond reproach, and that uh, and yes, they have to put up with a lot of crap, but but that they have a right, therefore, to punish people that well, do not treat them well. I mean, listen, all of this, of course, is a very interesting argument to talk about and debate. But as far as solutions go, I mean, you know, you know, you're a very, very, very intelligent guy. You know, you know that most new businesses or, you know, I think the newest study I read was like in Forbes. It was a while back. It was like over 60 percent, you know, fail within the first year. Yes. So you think about if you're adding tipping to that equation, I mean, the number would become astronomical. So I get it. You know, it's, it's very interesting and, and, you know, people become very uh, emotional about a subject like this, but the answer is never going to be, you know, having these companies, especially small businesses, you know, have to compensate, you know, for the tipping. I mean, it, that's just never, it's never going to change. You know, I, I really, I don't know enough about what goes on in France and in Europe, but, you know, I know that obviously, you know, as well, that tipping there is like almost frowned upon. Yes. And I wonder how, I, you know, but I don't know the actual financial model well, there's, you know, in there's terms a, of like taxes and things like that in which it somehow works over there. But it I, I can't know work during you know, for our current model here. No, I know how. And in fact, they could do it here. This is a lot easier than the casino tipping situation with restaurants. All they'd have to do is take what the average tip is, boost the food prices by that much, and then uh, and then you know, pay the server more and have no tipping. And that's a- yeah, but you know what? And again, in theory, that sounds great. But you know, there's already as it is such a small margin, and there really is. Believe me, I have friends that own restaurants. There's a small margin in most, you know, in most type of restaurants. Yeah, I know there is. Yeah, and people are, people are so diligent. I mean, there really is. Like when you really break down everything, you know, a lot of these restaurants, you know, aren't making what you think that they're making. You know, but a lot of people are so diligent today that if prices did go up in the way you're describing, at least enough to compensate that 15 or 20%, those people are just going to stop eating there and they're going to go somewhere else. I know that. I know that for a fact because I know well, people that work if that it was, way. I'm saying if this, was, if this if, became an industry if, standard, that's what I'm talking about, not just if one place does it. Well, then, then but what I'm saying is there are people, there's a large segment of people that if they went to Outback and that's what they're like once a month you know, splurge on a meal is. Sorry, I don't mean to seem fixated on Outback. And they just determined that, hey, the, the steak that we get every you know month just went up three or four bucks. I promise you, they're not going to go there anymore. But if, they knew, if to, they knew they were going to tip otherwise that amount, then it'd be the same thing. It'd cancel out. That's what I'm saying. If they if they're doing that plus a tip, then yeah, it's a problem. If they're if they do that but say, hey, we're not tipping, and, and that's why the prices went up. I think most people would understand. Uh, now, if just one place did it, that might seem weird to some people. Where 
everywhere else they have to tip except not here, but the prices are higher here. It'll be kind of weird to them. But if this is like an industry-wide movement, which there's been some effort to do, there's been some effort to – It's never going to happen though, realistically. It won't. Yeah, I wouldn't say never, but it's not happening It's not going to happen in our lifetime. I, mean, I would say that. I'd say, I'd say soon it won't happen. Yeah. But but uh, so, so but but as far as like punishing the job back back to that I just uh, that I really really take seriously when anyone uses their job to actually punish me because they don't like something that's happened and 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 I'm the one who will put out time and effort to track down who their supervisor is who their manager is sometimes the business owner and tell them this was my experience here most people would just never come back most people would just you know just abandon the business but i'm telling you what just happened to me here in fact uh, i i once uh i was going i'll tell you a story here uh i i was once going to this small uh takeout place that was by me and uh they hired a a new girl at the cashier probably about 20 years old and uh so i you're gonna laugh but i, I had a coupon so which they i know the story already yeah you, told me you probably do but uh, they had a coupon does the story end with does the story end no, 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 don't don't don't, don't, don't ruin the story come on sorry okay i know the story go ahead they they had a coupon which they had every single week in this one publication it wasn't a hard thing to find and uh, so I was using it, and this wasn't a cheap place either. So it's uh, you know I, I didn't feel guilty using the coupon. Like they they were this wasn't a cheap place. So I, uh, I, I was coming there pretty regularly, but this girl was new, and uh, I showed up with a coupon that uh, was technically expired by a few days. But keep in mind, it's not just like a, a one time promotion. I understand when a one time promotion ends, it ends, and that's it, that's it. But a coupon that's like there every single week, and I happen to bring the wrong one in. I brought last week's instead of this week's. Uh, that that should be overlooked. That's that just uh, a clerical error. That's not something that they should be enforcing. So this girl made a big deal over it and uh, had some big debate with me, and I was trying to explain to her why this didn't make sense. I said, look, I grabbed the wrong one. It's, too, you know, it's a weekly publication. I grabbed last week's. It was an accident. I, I, you know, I could have easily brought this week. There's tons of these publications. I, I could have gotten multiple. You know, there's, uh, there's so many of these coupons out here. I just happened to bring in the wrong one. Nope, you can't do it. She starts telling me, if you brought this into Bed Bath & Beyond and, and, you, uh, and it had that expired, they wouldn't do it for you. She's giving me this whole lecture about it. So I was already getting annoyed by this, but I actually backed down and said, fine, you know, don't accept the coupon, fine, whatever, I'll pay the full price, and I paid the full price. I was irritated by it, but fine, you know, I technically brought in an expired coupon. Some places are funny about that. That was the first time I'd ever done that there, so I said, screw it, I'll just be more careful next time. So, the next week, I called into order, and uh, the girl, same girl, answered the phone. And so, uh, she, uh, you know, she she takes my order. She recognized the order I made. Maybe she recognized my voice and the, whatever. She knew I was the same guy from the previous week with the coupon thing. So at the end of the call, she says to me, "Okay, so make sure if you bring in a coupon, it's not expired." I, this time, I'm being really pissed. Like, why is she telling? Why is she rubbing this into me? So I, I still I kept my cool. I said, "Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know. I remember last week." Bye. So I come in to pick it up, and I'm the, and she's at the cash register, and she says. So, so you're not going to pull out another expired coupon, are you? And I, I just blew up at that point. 
and I started telling her that this is disrespectful. That uh, you know, we went over, we went over this already. You know, how it's really treat- odd how often you get needled by people versus what the average should be. Yeah, well, so it really is so Something so. Like that's well, no, I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you why it happened here. If if I just quickly said, okay, fine, like a week ago, a week prior to this, then she wouldn't have needled me. She didn't like the fact that we had to argue back and forth the previous week, and so now she wanted to needle me afterwards. So the average person would just say, okay, it's, it's expired, okay, fine, whatever. But I, I was trying to reason with her why this shouldn't have mattered in this particular case, and that's why she, she was mad at me from the previous week. So when I got there, and she, you know, now again, she, she first kneels me on the phone, then kneels me in person. And I said, I just told you on the phone I'm not bringing I, – I said, I haven't pulled out a coupon. I don't have a coupon with me this time. I said, why, why are you mentioning a coupon? Why, why are you doing this? Are you trying to, uh, you're, you're trying to uh, insult me? You're trying to make fun of me here? What, what, what was the point of saying that? So then she started backpedaling. Oh, no, no, I was just trying to remind you. I said, you reminded me on the phone. We, we went over this last week. Why, why would you bring this up now? So she says, she finally says to me, um, well, it's because you were so rude last week. I decided I'm going to say it. So, so I said, you can't do that. You can't. You, you think you can just talk to me like this? You, you think you can just uh, put down customers here? I said, you're, tw- you're about, what, like 20 years old or something. Do you understand? Uh, you know, I'm about twice your age. Um, you, you know, you, you, you're not going to teach me lessons. You're not going to talk to me this way. I'm a customer here, and I'm twice your age, and you think you're teaching me a lesson? So, well, while the argument is going back and forth, suddenly the owner appears, who had been, like, you know, kind of relaxing in the back somewhere where I couldn't see him. He pops up there. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so when the owner appeared, I explained to him what was happening, and then I said to him, look, I'm just going to be honest with you here. I like this place. I've been coming here every week or sometimes more than once a week, uh, and, and everything was fine. I like you. I like your wife. Uh, I like the food. Everything was good until her. And, and I'm telling you, she, she's, she's insulting me. She's making fun of me about this coupon thing. Uh, uh, she, she, she's calling me names. Even though I like everything else about this place, I'm, I'm afraid I, I, can't, I, I can't continue coming here. I, this is just uh, – um, I, I don't want to take this. So And, and so – he says, no, no, I understand, I understand. And so, so then she interrupts and she says, yeah, but you're so rude. You're such a jerk. And she says, so he says, ah, 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 He says, this is, he says, he says to her, this is what I, this is what he means. He says to the, to the girl. And I said, yep, yeah, exactly. See, one day you're going to get older. You're going to realize you, you can't treat customers this way. So, uh, he says, you know what? This is the owner. He says, you know what? I'm so sorry about all this. This, this, this meal's on us. You don't have to pay anything. I give it to you. I promise this will never happen again. So I said, "Oh, that was nice." Of him. I mean, I wasn't going to ask her for anything. I just want—I just wanted him to see the way she was treating me. Next time I call, a week later, I call in. I, I order. He actually answers the phone, and he says, uh, "Just to let you know, that that girl who was rude to you last week, uh, you won't see her here anymore." So they fired her. But uh, you know, that was that was an example of someone that. And anyway, and the funny thing is, if I tell this story, there will be some people who will hear this and say, "What a jerk! You made this poor girl lose her job." But I'm not. See that she wasn't. The owners didn't want her alienating the customers. The owners didn't want her needling customers, insulting them, making fun of them, calling them names. You know, the owners. They, as you said, Brandon, they they're struggling to make a profit. They're they're struggling to uh, to get by. Every customer is valuable to them, these, these, especially these small businesses here. The last thing they want is a regular customer driven away by, by a 20-year-old who just feels like being a bitch. 
So that's why I, I, I find it's actually worse for the business owner when one of their employees is, is acting out of line and, drive, and, and, and mistreating a customer. I find it worse, you know, actually a, a bigger offense to the business owner than actually to the customer. And that's why I feel the business owner, or at least the manager, needs to know. And I always say, I'm not making up stories to get someone fired I dislike. I'm, I'm telling an honest and truthful version of what happened. And then it's up to the owner or the manager to decide what the right thing to do at that point is. And if I don't do that, all I'm doing is hiding something from the business owner or the manager who has, you know, who has a lot more at risk here than, than, the, than the bottom level employee. So all I'm doing when I report this sort of thing is, uh, is making the person who actually has the money at risk the, uh, or the reputation at risk, in the case of the manager, I'm just making them aware of what occurred. In, in, in a, a factual and accurate fashion. And, and if, it w- if I can't fire anybody, all I can do is tell them what happened, and then they decide what to do. So in this case, the guy, I mean, he saw some of it himself, but in this case, the guy decided that uh, this girl was not a good one to uh, uh, be representing the business. And they got rid of her, and they should. So I don't feel bad when that happens. And not only that, when someone like that loses a job, someone replaces them. So even though someone loses a job, then somebody else who was unemployed before gets a job. So in essence, you're helping the economy? Not helping the economy, but I'm not um, – this is a case where for every dream that gets shattered, and another one comes true. So someone may get fired, but someone else who's sitting down in the dumps that they're unemployed and can't get a job, uh, now they have a job. So if someone gained, someone else lost. And, the, and in this case, in cases like this, the – undeserving one of the job loses it and then the person who got it um, at least there's a better chance that they're deserving they're, there's no guarantee they're a good employee but it's, it's better I'd, ra- I'd rather replace an incompetent or rude or terrible employee with an unknown than let the terrible person keep the job so but there's some so belief maybe, like the, maybe the way you're doing it is you're just weeding out all the bad customer service employees throughout society well, I actually I actually have, look at it I actually have <laughs> I thought about that before that I actually have uh, and not intentionally I'm not on a mission to do this but at the same time if someone I, I'm not someone who believes every job is sacred I'm not someone who believes once someone has a job this is what's so funny this is a, I've never understood this this line of thinking there are some who believe if you get someone fired even if they totally deserve it and they totally were out of line you've just done a horrible thing Oh, it's their livelihood. You know, you don't know what they have going on. What if they really need the money? For some reason, that's a horrible thing to do in some people's mind. But those same people, if you ask them, is it a bad thing if somebody goes to an interview for a job and the employer decides not to give it to them? They say, no, of course not. It's the employer's right to not you know, to hire the they want. So, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're saying to me that a horrible employee who's done something really bad at work, that that employee... It's a travesty if you make them lose that job. But someone who is a potential good employee who wants to get a job, if he doesn't get hired, that's fine. So just because someone already has the job. an example of something that's so sacred that society as a whole would think that person shouldn't lose their job. Give me one example. I I can't really think of one. Oh, it's not so sacred. They think every job is. No, I mean, they they think once you have a job, if you cause someone to get fired, you've just done something bad. That you that even when the person has been a complete jerk to you, even when they've used their job to punish you, or they've been really, really outright rude to you, that if you report it and get them fired, that you've just done something really bad because you've taken away someone's livelihood. And I say, well, what about the person who replaced them? I've just given someone a livelihood. So why why is the person who already has the job? Why do they have? Why should they so have it's priority? Kind of a push. 
it's more than a push. It's it's, it's a gain because the person who well, were, you know it's not a gain unless you know that the person that's replacing them in theory would be better than the person because in theory they could be even worse. But they could, but I'm on av- on average they'll be better. On a- if you if you take someone terrible, then the person replacing them could be anywhere in the spectrum. They could be terrible. They could be average. They could be good. But on you know they're going to be average well, you on also average. Also look at it. There's a, probably a reason why they don't have a job to begin with, and they're looking for another one. But okay, either way, I get your point. I understand, but but I, I don't understand it. I think people say, "Well, you made someone lose their job." I said, "Well, yeah, I also made someone gain a job." <laughs> it, 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 I'm not, and I'm not saying this to troll you. So don't think I am. It's just, it's, it's, it's just odd for me because it's not like I'm a hermit or I'm a shut-in. I, I eat out as much as you do, if not more, probably more, because I don't even cook. And you know, I, I interact. You know, whether it's credit card companies, businesses, told you know, reward centers and casinos, and I don't you know seem to have the kind of problems that you've had i guess i just run better than you well you've had a lot i've, I've heard a lot from you for different things so you, you have plenty well, yourself. Not, i mean i mean it's it's just more memorable because i i say it but i i don't think so i don't think i've had a, a ton listen i mean you could say the same, same thing about people i've met on this fraud site you know that to me is more just variance than you know anything else i mean i don't in general you know find myself commonly having problems. I actually, uh, I've actually answered this before. I actually answered this on the forum recently, but for those that only listen to the radio, I'll, I'll answer it. I'm not sure if you saw my post. How many people have you had fired in your life? Oh, you I, 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 I don't know. But, and, and there's been some, it's, it's been ambiguous where they, you know, I think they may have gotten reprimanded or in trouble, but not fired. There, there's some for sure. I know that got fired. Uh, there's others that, uh, it was questionable. Others that they who's the biggest got, you've ever taken down. The biggest CEO? No, no. Like, I mean, no, have you ever taken on anybody that was kind of powerful in what they did? Uh, I'm trying to think here. Not usually. Usually, it's like some bottom <laughs> employee that. I mean, usually, it, here, here's the truth: the, the higher someone is, the, the usually they got there because they were better at dealing with customers. So usually, the higher they are, the the less inappropriate they are. Not always, but that's usually the way it is in these hierarchies. So, um, right. but I'm, I'm trying to think here. The highest uh, that. That I've ever. I don't think I've ever gotten anyone fired. Not that I, could, I mean, not directly that I know of. Definitely, that hasn't been brought to my attention. But I mean, listen, you know, the, the whole thing is this. I mean, people are emotional, and and they're just a lot. Of, uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying what the problem is. Okay, I'm not giving an excuse. I'm not. I'm not. You know, but people just in general are emotional, and a lot of people have trouble separating that emotion and and you know the problems that they've had, the stresses, whatever it may be. You know, with what their job is. And I think that's a lot of what you run into. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not making an excuse. It's not right. You know, like I said, the example I used was, you know, Mickey Mouse, you know, refusing to take pictures or, you know, things of that nature. But that's a lot of what it is. I mean, people in general aren't bad, you know, but listen, I mean, not everybody, you know, is as privileged as other people. And some people, let's be honest, they just have shitty lives and they're, you know, they're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They have dead end jobs. You know, they have, you know, bills. You know, a lot of people in society literally live paycheck to paycheck. No, I, I agree. But, but, gonna, but they don't know how they're going to pay their electricity. But, the, but that, I would think that would keep, be. Gotta, hold on, they got to keep their cable on so their kids don't, you know, come home to no TV. And that, <laughs> I mean, listen, it's hard for someone like you, and it's hard for someone like me to put ourselves in their shoes and understand that that kind of pressure and how it affects. Well, them. you know. Again, it's you, no you, justification. Listen, I, you know what? I actually, I actually can put myself in the shoes. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't ever in the situation where I had to work uh, to support, you know, the, the, you know, living from hand to mouth. How many times have you had your power shut off in your life? No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about about being poor. I'm talking about working a low wage job 
where you're not treated very well by the company, where customers will sometimes treat you like crap, and you're in a service industry. I actually have held jobs like this. I was much okay, younger. such as what? I what was uh, at, at, a su- at a supermarket. I, wor- I worked there, and I had case. I, I had it where the. I mean, I had a lot of things happen that were very unfair and unpleasant. It actually was. I've mentioned it before on the show. Okay. I, it was, it was oh, actually, it on, actually was on, eye-opening. Hold on. I just want to ask you. I worked in a supermarket as well. Was this something you did like as, as a teenage, like 14, 15, 16 year old? I, 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 was, I was 18, but it, yes. But, but, okay. but I did experience it. Now, yes, I wasn't counting on it for my livelihood, but I did experience things. And let me tell you what I, I thought I never had. What, hold on, but what was your job? You have to be more specific. I, I, was, I, was, a, I was a box boy. And while a box boy is not very, it's not very uh, stressful. Um, what is a box boy like a stalker? No, someone who who who. Uh, I had a few tasks, but my main task was just bagging groceries at the at the. Okay, check that's, stand. that's a bagger like in, in, on the East Coast, but okay. Okay, but but boy. but there were other things. Sometimes I was, I was instructed to help the stalkers, and sometimes I was getting carts in the parking lot. So, but but let me. T- I, I I'm not going to go to all the stories, but I had some situations where both customers. Uh, were either rude to me or, in some cases, actually, I, I, went, I was once totally falsely accused of something I didn't do. Totally falsely accused. And no one believed me. I, I had it where uh, I was instructed to do the wrong thing by a stalker, did exactly what he said, and it got written up for it, even though, and then when they admitted, even when they admitted it, it turned out I was instructed the wrong way, they kept the, well, the, they kept the write up because. Not bust, listen, not busting your balls, and I'm truly not. It would be better for the listener if you could give um, just even for one of these stories a more precise example than being so vague okay oh, so okay just, okay i didn't want to drag i didn't want i didn't want to drag too long here the, 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 well, just you can okay. give a short you know, okay. shortened version of okay. it okay like like i was i was told i was told but, okay 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 yes. i was told by a stalker to take the eggs and stack them in this little wire cage where the eggs were that people would get at the store you know it was in the store they told me that you know they gave me the eggs told me to bring them over and stack them so I stacked them up. Uh, what they gave me, there weren't enough eggs to completely fill it, so I stacked all the eggs they told me, you know, they gave me. The, I did it correctly the way they told me to do. I was done. I went back to bagging groceries. Uh, I get called in a few hours later. I'm being written up. What did I do wrong, I asked. You're supposed to stack all the eggs to the very top, I was told. I said, well, the that number one, no one told me that. Number two, this isn't usually my job. They just called me over for help. And number three, uh, the, you know, the, the I stacked every egg they gave me. The, the, there was no more. That's it. So these these guy says to me, "Well, that's true. The, these are all. You know, um, yes, I know all of this. This is true. But um, you should have gone to us to ask." Uh, what should I do if I don't fill the thing completely? I said, how am I supposed to know I'm supposed to ask about that? They said, the stalker said to me, take these eggs and stack them in here. And I did exactly as he said. Well, but you should have known to come back. I said, how should I have known this? So there was no way I could have known this. Anyway, I said, so can you please not write me up? No, we have to write you up. But don't worry, it's just a learning experience. Uh, I said, but this is this goes against my record here. Nope, it, 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 I'm sorry that I had to write you up. So I, I'm thinking, this is terrible. It's not like I didn't follow the direction. I did exactly what I was told by someone who was more senior than me there. They admitted I did exactly what I was told, and I got written up. So that was one thing I was pissed about. Another thing, uh, they tell me it was complained about that I was rude to a woman who shops there. An older woman. I said, okay. I said, when did this happen? They said, 10 minutes ago. I said, 10 minutes ago? I said, I haven't said anything except paper or plastic to anybody in the last hour. I've had no conversations with anybody except asking paper or plastic and then doing as, the, as they instructed me. 
So I said, this is impossible. There must be some mistake. He said, no, this woman explained, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, she, this, this woman said you were especially rude to her. I said, okay, well, what did she say? I did. Right. Well, she didn't say it. I said, well, then, uh, then, then how do you know what I did? Well, um, we... Uh, uh, well, we we don't know exactly what you did, but she she made the point to complain you were rude and pointed you out. I said, okay, well, I was I wasn't. Uh, there was a cashier here. Ask the cashier. She she was you know she was ringing it up the whole time. Ask her if she saw there was any altercation or me being rude. Uh, actually, we we're not going to ask her because rude is subjective. So the woman may have just decided you didn't smile enough, and that's and that's considered rude. So we're writing you up anyway. And I'm thinking, what the hell? I did exactly again. I did exactly, and I wasn't, you know, I was, it's seeming like you just worked for a very uh, archaic management style, at least grocery store. I worked at a grocery store too when I was 14 years old, and I never, I don't remember experiencing. Well, it was like it was that. a higher end grocery. Just, it was a higher end grocery store, and it was a non union store. So they they the employees weren't treated very well, to be honest. Not that I, I think unions have problems also, but this, you know, the, definitely the, there was a. The, the employees were not treated well there, and I had other stories. Anyway, let me tell you something that I never, never, despite this and other things that I won't even get into. Something I, I never had the desire to do, nothing I ever felt like I needed to do, was ever take out my frustrations, either frustrations in life that were happening outside the store, which you know happened sometimes then, uh, or, or or frustrations actually at the job. Never did I feel like being mean or nasty to the customer. Never. Uh, it just never entered my mind that the customer deserves I, this. Again, but and, and I, you know, I'm glad you relayed that story. But someone like yourself, or even me, for for you know that sake, can't relate to the stresses. And and again, I'm not making it excusable, but I'm just saying it's something to think about. You'll never be able to relate to the everyday person and the struggles that they have. It's impossible. You can say you can. I can say I can. It's just not. It's just not. It's not fathomable. It's not going to happen. I mean, you can't sit here and say that. You know, even if you know Benjamin, you know, wasn't going to be able to, you know, go go out to dinner or have a gift for his birthday, or he'd come home and there'd be no cable on, or what are you going to do if if the power or gas gets shut off? You can't relate to that, even if you think you can. I can't relate to that. Oh, I'm not saying I can relate to that part. I'm saying what, what I, mean, I but you get, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I, under, I understand Again, what you're it's saying. It's not an excuse, but still, you have to understand that a lot of people go to work. They, you know, they conduct their days with those kind of stresses on their mind, and it's inevitable that it's going to affect. And you know, well, I have a different Again, theory. A, yeah, I actually have a different theory that that can contribute to it for sure. I'm not saying that's not a factor. I mean, but, over half the people in this country live paycheck to paycheck, but, but, so it's everywhere. But, Josh, it's but, everywhere. I know, but, but I think that contributes sometimes to, to bad attitudes you get. But I've also I've noticed what I believe is a bigger factor is that people have what's known as the moment of power. They 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 feel that this is their domain. This is where they're in charge. This is one of the few areas in life that they get to rule, and they don't like others coming in, even if they're correct, telling them that they're wrong, even if they are wrong. That's the problem. So, so they, you know, something's being done wrong there. You correct them. You 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 ask for them to you know to figure it out. You ask them to, to fix the situation. Uh, they either don't want to put the effort into it, or they uh, they also don't want to correct themselves and feel stupid. So they they, they decide they, they've made the decision in their mind that they're just going to dismiss you and tell you tough luck. And uh, yeah. and you know, th- this this happens because people feel that. This is their domain. I can't walk into it and tell them what to do. I can't walk into this and say, no, you're going to do it this way. No, you're incorrect. No, you've done this wrong. And even if you're polite about it, I'm not saying just 
be a jerk and say, hey, idiot, you did this wrong. I mean, as polite as you can be, that, that, that they will take it. And I've seen this so, countless times, countless times where the employee believes, especially if there's no manager around, they're the highest one there, that it's, it's up to them, that they're the rulers. And, and uh, Fuck, I'm sorry about something. I, you know, I thought it would actually be good for you to give, you know, an example. But the internet is the internet, so I just, I just got a tweet, uh-uh. and it said, it, it said, love the show, keep it up, and the, the Twitter name, Todd the incompetent egg stacker. <laughs> Can you believe me? <laughs> I mean, really, within ten minutes, they're creating Twitter accounts. Yeah. Todd the incompetent egg stacker. Come on. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Anyhow, so, on, so, so anyway, the, the point is here. I, I've noticed it tends to be more, and, and I notice especially because the person seems to be in a in a okay mood prior to these things coming up, and then as soon as they get challenged, and that, and so I, I you asked before why is this stuff seem to happen to me more than the average person, and and I have a few answers to that because I, I someone brought this up on the forum I think probably a month or two ago, and I thought about, I actually thought about it and said okay here here's why number one. Just, I think I run bad with it. I just think I, I absolutely, on an absolute basis, run bad with with uh, kind of customer service type issues. That it just seems like a, even a lot of freak things just seem to happen to me with that type of stuff. And I, not everything in life do I run bad that way. There's there's other places I there's other types of things where I run well, but this is one where I run very poorly. Where I just uh, uh, a lot of weird and unexpected and unusual things seem to happen in customer service situations that I, I have to grapple with. Uh, number two, that I, I let things go. I, I, I don't just let myself get screwed and I, and I take it to a much higher extreme with that than the average person will. Whereas the average person will say, this sucks. I just got ripped off for 15 bucks, but whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to grumble and go away where I, I get pissed. I also, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I also think, and I don't, maybe you don't see it, but I think others would agree that and again, you know, this isn't a slight. I'm not insulting you. We're just having a spirited debate. I think your threshold is lower than than some. Okay, maybe higher than others, but I also think your, your threshold for this type of thing may be higher or lower, depending on how you look at it, than than others. Probably, you know, me as an example. I mean, there's certain things where I get irritated, probably even on a daily basis, and I just decide in some cases it's not worth my time. Or my energy. Now, of course, everybody has that line. You know, that's maybe a better way to put it. Everybody has that line that once it's crossed, it just goes from, okay, me walking out of this restaurant or me ending this phone call versus, you know, okay, now I'm going to talk to a manager or now I'm never coming back to this restaurant. And I, you know, and that's a personal choice. Everybody's, you know, everybody's threshold to, to what makes that occur. And I do think, honestly, maybe it's not, maybe it is a combination of you running bad, as you stated, as well as, you know, you just, you know, certain things that maybe myself or, you know, just say your girlfriend or say, you know, your parents or whoever randomly would just let it go. You know, it means more to you and then you but you won't let it go. You know, everyone just has a different. Well, okay, know, I, I, I want to thing. respond to this. I don't have as high of a th- as low of a threshold for this as you, as you think. There's actually a lot I let go that I just I don't go post on the forum. Hey, this just happened, but I let it go. I just I just say nothing about it to anybody. Uh, there, there's a lot more that I let go that people think that, than people think mm-hmm. here. Uh, but I will say, like, but hold on, I, I will say that yes, and I, I was when I made the post on the forum explaining this. Yes, I do 
have I do speak up more about things that others would just uh, be a little irrita- be irritated about, and maybe even to the point of not wanting to come back to whatever business it is, but they don't speak up. So they they just they grumble about it for a short time to themselves, forget about it, and that's that. Whereas I will complain, and then when there's a pushback to my complaint, then I'll fight back, and then sometimes the employee gets rude to me, and then you know, and then it escalates from there. So so that's that's some of it too. That that I uh, that that. I will speak up when things happen and that I will – if I get pushed back, then I really push back even harder whereas people will, will just give up. And uh, Well, and then there's instances such as you described prior such as that restaurant where you just got needled where I can't even sit here now and think of a situation where you know, it's not like, okay, you did it over the phone. Then you needled me in person. Then you did it on a third trip. I mean, I can't even relate to that ever happening to me. Well, that's because, because nuts, again, nuts. again, this happened because, um, see, it's a chain reaction. See, it was because the previous week, instead of them, when they say the, the girl says the coupon's expired, instead of saying, okay, it's expired, no problem, I'll pay full price, I, I, I tried to reason with her, look, this coupon's printed every week. It's, you know, it's all over the place. I grabbed the wrong one. Can you just let it go this time? It was because I had that conversation that made me memorable where the average person would, wouldn't have that discussion. They just go, oh, I can't believe I brought the Right, but one. what I'm saying is it doesn't still give her the right to Of course you know, not, remind but that's why it happens you know. to me more. That's why it happens to me more is because I am the one who will then try to reason it out, and, and then it makes me memorable. And, and, this, and then this links to the person feeling like they have the moment of power there. This girl wanted to assert power over me that she, she isn't taking the coupon. And then when she didn't like the fact that I argued with her, she decided she's going to needle me about it uh, every time I came in after that multiple times because she felt like she had the little power to do so. And and so that's so that's some of, that's also some of it. Um, another thing is that uh, I I have a place where I tell these stories. Uh, either it's on the forum or the radio. I've got a site where I tell these stories for the entertainment of of the the viewer or the listener, which is why I'm telling it, by the way. I don't have, I, I, I don't need to do this. It's not like I need to do this in order to, to feel good. Uh, I, I'm doing this for everybody's entertainment. They're true, they're true stories, but I'm doing this for everybody's entertainment. So, so the, aver- the, per- the average person you never, never hear about these incidents. They, they happen, but then they, have, they don't post it anywhere. They don't have a, a show like this where they talk about it. So, so you just don't hear about it. That's another thing is just uh, it, it seems to come from me more often because I have a place that I, uh, that I put it out there for people's entertainment. So that, that's another factor is that there's an illusion that it happens uh, uh, more to me compared to others than it actually does. So there's a lot of things that come together here that, uh, th- that make this. And I guess one other factor is that I will keep escalating it to hire people at, at whatever place of business it is a better a better a better analogy or a better adjective is you're relentless and a lot of people aren't yes yes that, that, and and i've actually told this to to business owners and managers before uh, when, when they've you know they've and i can tell they're being sincere that that, that, that you know that i'm right that i'm that they you know i was totally in the right here etc and i can tell they're not just you know jerking me off so i come back i can tell that they really because i can tell the difference i've had the ones that jerk me off so i come back too and i can tell totally aren't sincere there's other ones i can tell really believe that they you know the people under them screwed up. So, in the case where I can sense that they really agree with me, I, I tell them, "Look, I just want you know, just to let you know, ninety-nine percent of the people who would have had this happen here would have not tracked you down to talk to you about it. They just wouldn't have come back. So, I'm just letting you know that I'm probably not the only one this happened to here. Uh, there's probably others that have been driven away over you know, similar or semi-similar type things. You just never hear from them." 
But but if you think about how did it get to this point, uh, I'm one of the few who would have actually tracked you down to tell you about it. And they think, yeah, you're probably right. So, uh, and, and I always make sure they understand that so it doesn't seem like there's an outlier. Because there there's some, like that, like that girl working there, I, I doubt this was her first. Oh, in fact, I know it wasn't. The, uh, the, the, the owner who fired her, that girl who was needling me, he told me the next time I came in. On the phone, he told me she wasn't there anymore. When I came in and talked about it a bit more with him, he said... Uh, uh, I, I found out you also weren't the only one that she was rude to, he said. So usually when these happen, it's not, uh, I'm not the only one. Usually uh, uh, it's, it, it, it's kind of a chronic thing where the person just uh, doesn't have any customer service skills. And uh, um, I, I, and by the way, I'll tell you what I don't expect. I don't expect any any phony friendliness. I don't care if someone smiles. I don't care if they act like, you know, if they thank me. I don't care if they if they act like they're happy to see me. I don't give a crap about that. And that and that's where I'm I'm willing to give people leeway as far as having a bad day. I don't care if someone kind of like is having a bad day and just kind of surly but gets the job done. That's that's fine, as long as I don't think it's aimed at me. It, it, it's fine. I I don't care about friendliness. I don't care about uh, smiling or phoniness or or, or uh, making me feel like they're happy to have me there. I mean, it's nice if they do, but I I, I I'm not going to hold it against them if they don't. And and uh, uh, but it, it's where someone actually uses their job in some way to punish me or that they, they are really outright rude to me, like where they go out of their way to try to get me angry or to say things that, to be nasty to me. Uh, that's, that's when I want to do something about it. That's when I want to say something. And, uh, and, and that's what I do. And I don't, I don't take joy in getting people fired. Uh, but going back to your old question, the highest ranking person, it actually got fired. I see. I, I don't think I have verification or even anything close to verification that anyone who's kind of like in a management role that ever got uh, fired. Yeah, I, I can't even think of one. They were all kind of lower end people. The, the closest I can think of is at AT and T one time. There was a uh, someone who had just been promoted to a supervisor there. Who. Um, after I went through a lot of trouble, you know, my current phone number that I have, which of course don't say on the air, but uh, my, my current phone number, you know, it's kind of like an easy to remember number. Um, I put a lot of effort into getting that number. Transferring. Did you, did you really think for a second I'm going to go and I'm just going to spit out your number? I mean, without you giving me that. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was worried you'd do that. So I want to make All sure. Right. So, so the, the, my current phone numbers, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a good, it's a, Number that's easy to remember. Okay, uh, it's I put, like a casino number. I, I put a, I put a lot of effort into getting that number. Okay, and and I got this from somebody else I knew, and I I I, I was kind of involved with a little like phone related business with them for a short time. I, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but uh, this guy technically owned the number, and he had had this for many years, and he did me a favor, and he you know when he was shutting down the whole thing, he uh, he told me I could have it. So it was actually a landline. So it was like a business landline that we had to change over to a cell phone. It wasn't easy and had to change the names and AT&T kept screwing it up. And anyway, I went through a lot of hassle with this, a massive amount of hassle. And I thought I finally had it. And then I get a call from AT&T from a supervisor there who told me, oh no, actually I was calling in to verify, that's right, I was calling in to verify that it was, you know, that the, it was complete and on its way. And they got me to a supervisor there who told me that uh, he suspects this is fraud. 
and I explained to him how, why it's not fraud, and I explained to him the whole the verification I went through and everything, and he just stopped me. He interrupted me. He said, nope, nope. I know fraud when I see it. I'm marking this as fraud. This is going to be terminated within seven days. I said, no, no, please listen to me. Please. I, I felt so – all the work I put in was about to go up in smoke, and I was going to lose the phone number. It was going to go back to the pool. It was going to be it. And he says, nope, I know fraud. When I, I don't need to listen to you. I know it. I, I know my job very well. This is fraud. I can tell it's fraud. Uh, I'm not listening to you further. I'm leaving the line now. Goodbye, sir. And hung up on me. You can imagine how I felt. So I called back. I said, not only do I want this reversed, and they, they looked up. Indeed, it was marked as fraud and about to be returned back to the phone number pool. And I'd lose it forever. They undid that. And then I said, I want to get over to this person's direct uh, manager. And I told them the whole story. And they tracked down that person's direct manager, had them call me. I explained what happened. The manager said, I'm going to pull the call. We record all calls here. I'm going to pull the call. I'm going to listen to it. And I'm going to call you back. They pulled the call. They called me back at about an hour and a half later. He said, she said, you're 100% right. Everything you said happened is true. Uh, the employee was completely out of line. He just decided that he's, uh, uh, he came to a conclusion and ref- refused to listen to you and shouted over you and, and, and hung up on you. And, and, and I said, yeah, he was about to ruin you know, 10 hours of work I put into this. She said, I know. I could see it. Um, and she said, you know what? He was just promoted to be a supervisor here. Because we uh, we were happy with his work prior to this, and we actually thought that he could handle the job. And we've determined that not only can he not handle the supervisor job, he cannot handle the job here at all. He's not going to be working for AT&T anymore. Goodbye. So. And she sounded sincere. She didn't seem like she was just saying that to me. So uh, she, she wasn't supposed to tell me this, to be honest. But uh, she... Uh, but, yeah, I, I didn't feel a bit bad. I mean, you, the guy was so arrogant the way he was saying this to me on the phone. And, and just... Uh, Cutting me off, telling me he's not—you know—he doesn't need to hear my information. He doesn't need this is my proof. He knows it. He knows it's fraud. So uh, this wasn't like someone well-meaning who just was really trying to shut down a scammer. He just—he made up his mind and he didn't—he—he he didn't want to hear it. So other than that, I can't really think of someone, sometime where I've gotten someone fired who is actually like above the bottom level. I've gotten some like reprimanded before, but never. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of one. But I, I have you know, had some bottom people, uh, bottom level people removed. But that, as I said, it's more because they're more likely to be the ones who misbehave. They're more likely to be the ones who uh, don't have as much pride in the job or don't have the customer service skills who have ever risen up. And so, uh, something else I don't do if you know if there's if there's human mistakes or I know someone just spaced out and made a mistake, but uh, you know just everybody makes errors occasionally. So, you know, I don't want to see people fired over that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've always taken care to try to put myself in the other person's shoes and think about, uh, you know, do they deserve any trouble over what happened here? And if it really was an accident, you know, one time I was put through, I won't go to the story, I was put through like a 25-minute wait at a place when they were making a really dumb mistake on the computer, and I finally figured out what they were doing. I could have complained to their manager they wasted 25 minutes of my time. I, I didn't. I just... I was annoyed, but I just uh, moved on, didn't say anything. Whereas, had they been nasty and rude to me, or, or told me to shut up when I was trying to suggest things, then I, it would have been different. But they didn't. It was just... Uh, it's just They weren't very good at what they were doing. So, yeah, I, I was, I, I, I'm not... 
people may have the wrong impression that I'm some hardliner and the second something goes wrong, I'm going to try to get someone fired. It's not like that at all. It's, uh, it's, it, I, I very much look at intent. I very much look at uh, the circumstances behind it. I, def- I very much look at uh, is the person just doing it uh, out of malice or, or out, out of uh, kind of a ref- an active refusal to do their job and, and to screw me. Like they, they'd rather screw me than do their job or, or listen to me, like that guy at AT&T. So those, those people I'm happy to see lose their job. People who make accidental mistakes, I'm not. And then I don't. I typically don't say anything, unless I need something corrected. So anyway, I, I, we've beaten the subject to death, but we uh, we've been on at the end of the show. It's a anyway. good debate, though. Yeah, it's 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 hard to talk about these things without you know uh, looking bad. It's, it's always hard to talk about. Hey, I got such such person fired without looking like a jerk. But uh, I it's just important to know this. Number one, this improves the experience for the customer because the next customer is not going to have to deal with the same person who does the same type of crap. And, and number two, uh, it helps the owners of these businesses, especially the small businesses. And, and number three, it uh, someone replaces whoever gets fired and uh, probably a lot more deserving of the job than the person I complained about. So these are uh, – it's, it's not like the job just goes away and, and, and we have one fewer employed person in the country. It's not like that. So these are, these are all things. And uh, But believe me, I don't enjoy this. I, I wish it didn't happen. And uh, much like when I, uh, you know, I, 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 it's once in a while there's a, an extended period of time where nothing happens, that, like no customer service type things happen, and there's like a period of peace with that. And I am, and I think to myself, wow, this is nice. This is this is a nice feeling. Nothing's happened in a while. Uh, speaking of something not happening in a while, nothing about customer service. I have not had a cold in 2018. Wow. I haven't had a cold. I have not been sick in any way in the year 2018. And we're a third through. Well, don't worry. The World Series is coming yeah, up. Yeah, I know. That is, that's that, that's going to ruin it. That's going to ruin it. But, uh, yeah, I've, th- this is uh, – for me, that's a big deal to go four months without this. I, I just get plagued with these colds, and they're so bad. And and, uh, and then the funny thing is California had one of its worst cold and flu seasons ever. And – a lot of people I know who hardly get sick got sick this year, and I didn't, and Benjamin did not. The Benjamin doesn't get sick much in general, and when he does, it's it's pretty mild. Benjamin, uh, and, and and he he takes it very well too. When uh, when Benjamin gets sick, like he doesn't even get upset by it, and and he just kind of deals with it. And it's, that's why, like, whenever he says he's not feeling well, he never makes it up either. He's never. He never. He's not one of those kids who exaggerates being sick or makes up being sick. So if he says he's not feeling well, it's always always legit. So that's uh, it's, uh, one good thing with him there. Anyway, uh, the the show kind of ended up a lot longer than I expected. I thought there was going to be a, sh- a shorter show this week. Are we done with the topics? We're done with everything. I'm done. I'm just... okay, well, I got one more topic. Oh, no. It doesn't have to be, huh? <laughs> okay, well, we got to do it? it on your terms now. It's when you're ready to shut the switch. It, it won't be long. Uh, okay. Two two subjects. Oh, or, two it's subjects. one subject, but two two different oh, no. two different uh, subsets. First being with the NBA playoffs uh, going on right now. Actually, round one is either wrapped up or they're all wrapping up in the next day. Uh, how do you see both the East, West, and then the final shaping? And then secondly, I'm sure you already know this, but in about a month, or it could even be in two or three days, 
all we are going to start being inundated with on all our sports programs and even national mainstream news, it's going to make me sick because I'm just tired of hearing about it already, is where is LeBron James going to play in 2019? Now, the one other interesting thing that I will say that I've really noticed, okay, uh, you know, even tonight, which they're going to say, well, you know, he hit that three-pointer to win the game. I think his age is really starting to show because there's been a pattern in this series with Indiana where he comes out really, really strong. And then by the end of the game, latter parts of the third, fourth quarter, you can just see he is so exhausted, he's so winded, he's in essence useless. So anyhow, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, and then LeBron James, where do you think he'll be? You go first, and then I'll finish it off. Okay, well... I kind of hope with the East that Toronto doesn't win just so I don't regret not placing that 16-1 to 1 bet early in the season when I wanted to. Didn't we do that last year, too, with them? No. Wasn't there like a prop bet you wanted on them and you were regretting it the whole way? Until... No, no, not them, no. No, that didn't happen. It was this year where I, I bet I, I wanted to do a 16-1 to 1 on them when I thought they were looking good, but uh, and they, they just No, to... I'm pretty sure last year you discussed betting Toronto to win the East. I may have I'm discussed pretty, it. Not, I may have yeah, discussed okay. it, but it it, uh, it wasn't the same thing. This year, I saw sixteen and one. This year, I, they looked better than they ever had in the early season, and I really thought this was a, a, a much better team than I had seen any time in recent memory of, of Toronto. And I thought the East. I, I, I saw a lot of dysfunction. I, I saw. I, I didn't. I could actually believe that they would be able to go all the way. And, and sure enough, they fin- they finished with the best record. But this is way before the Cavs had melted down. This is way before. Anyone took Toronto seriously except for me. Even Toronto fans weren't taking them seriously. Toronto Toronto Raptors fans were saying, "Oh, they always choke in the playoffs." I don't care. like. That's all Toronto fans could say is they just always choke in the playoffs. I don't even care how good they look this year. But I was just watching. They were they, they were seemingly you know, never ha- you know what's funny. What what did they get over this year? What hump did they get over this year for a franchise that's been around over twenty years? Do you know? Uh, was it was it having the best record in the East? No, no. They had never won a game one in any round oh, of the I didn't playoffs. Know I didn't ever. Know oh, I didn't know that. Okay. They had lost before this year ten game ones in a row. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Over, over ten different series in a row. And, and in their history, they'd never won. Wow. So this year when they beat uh, the Wizards, Washington yeah. in game one, it was a, yeah the first okay. time they'd ever won a game so one okay. since so, their inception. So I, I, was, I was just watching that they just seemingly never had a bad game. Not that they didn't lose, but like they – they they were they didn't seem to be getting blown out. They were they were always crushing the bad and mediocre teams, not just beating them, but crushing them. Uh, they were playing competitively every time against the good teams. It just seemed like they were never showing up and looking bad. So I said, this this team just looks a hell of a lot better than any Toronto team I've ever seen. And the East is so dysfunctional. I could see the Cavs crapping the bed, not as bad as they ended up doing, but like I I, I really thought that they had a chance, and I thought sixteen to one was just Way too high. I thought that that was something that was, had a lot of value in it. I stupidly brought it up on the forum, and, and people mocked me and made me feel like a fool for saying it. And I actually didn't place the bet. Uh, by the time I decided they were the fools, I looked and it was seven and a half to one. I'm like, ah, you know, that's so. But I could have had it at sixteen, so I talked myself out of it. And then, of course, uh, even that would have been a great value. So I kind of hope that they do choke in the playoffs preferably the early playoffs, so I can say, oh, good, I saved myself money. Because even in the finals, I may have bought out, depending on how much I bet. So, Well, their series is likely going to go seven games. Yeah. If any, you know, just because it's both teams have shown such dominance on their home court. 
Yeah, so so th- there's that. So they have looked weaker in this uh, series than I would have expected their first round to be. But uh, and, and they also, towards the end of the year, they were starting to have some bad games, which they weren't in the early part of the year. So that wasn't the best sign, that uh, a lot of what I loved about them in the first part of the year was starting to fade. Uh, but they did still finish with the best record, and and the East is still super dysfunctional. And they had a better record than Golden State, even though it's yeah. a little misleading because uh, of the injuries, yeah, yeah. but... It was very misleading, but the, but, but you know, look look in the East. There is no dominant team, and and people are you know some people are expecting the Cavaliers are you know so they're going to turn it on and forget about the regular season. You know, LeBron's going to turn it on and carry the team. But as you said, it's uh, there's a, not as he getting older, but but there's only so much he can do himself. And uh, and look you know look how much he's trouble trouble he's having with his Pacers team, which which is not a great team. This is not it's not like the, the Eastern Conference Finals. This is a, this is a uh, this Pacers team is not that great, so so for them to uh, the and, and I expected the Cavaliers to struggle. They just they just have not looked good the entire year, and so so who's going to win the East? I, uh, just because of my bet, I'm hoping it's not Toronto, but uh, uh, I, I think they and then there's Philadelphia. There's the matter with them where they've looked so good at the end. They're the team that's just gotten super hot at the end. Uh, I, I actually think that uh, there's a good chance that Philadelphia is going to make the finals. And uh, who are they going to play next? Who are they, they going to play next year? I'm forgetting the way this is structured. What, what seed did Philly finish? They were third. I'm trying to think. They were third. Okay, so one, eight, two, seven, three, six. They're going to play. They're going to play the winner. Well, it depends who wins. They're, they're most likely going to play uh, Boston. No, hold on, hold on. What do you think? Hold on, Boston. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's confusing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think in my head off off the cusp. Um, I, I, th- I mean, they, no, they won't play Toronto, obviously. Okay, hold on. They won't play Toronto, obviously. Assuming Boston wins, they won't play Boston. So, who, where does that leave us? Um, that leaves us with. Might they play Cleveland next? Oh, Cleveland, Cleveland. it yeah. would be Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. it would be. So I, yep, I, I, th- I think, I think yep. if, if Cleveland gets, they play the winner of Cleveland and Indiana uh, yeah, for I th- sure. I think provided Cleveland doesn't shit the bed and wins and wins uh, their series against Indiana, I think Philadelphia is going to beat them. And uh, in fact, I may depending on what the odds are, if that if that is what comes to pass, I, I could see myself placing a bet on that series. Where usually I don't bet much on the NBA playoffs because it's very hard to to. Uh, Beat the NBA playoffs, given how much attention is given to it by the bookmakers. But but that one, you know, the Philadelphia has just been—they've been crushing and they've looked really good. There's, there's some who just so much on the on the bandwagon they think they're going to win the finals, which I, I think is uh, very hard to conclude at this point. But they they are looking very good. Uh, the but I I, I think they'll probably be in the finals. I, I think. Uh, it probably will come down. I, I could easily see it when they come down to the to them in Toronto. So. Uh, that's probably what I'd see happening here. I don't. I just don't think uh, Boston's going to do it here with uh, the problems they've had on the West, where there's obviously a lot more uh, competition there. I I, th- I think uh, Houston's going to do it uh, in the West this year. I think Houston's going all the way this year. So that's, I don't think so. You don't think Houston's going to do it? Really? So no. who do you, who do you think's no. going to do it? Golden State. See, assuming that, assuming that Curry, 
comes back when they say he's going to come back, which is next round, and there's no other setbacks, I, I think. And, you know, a lot That's of a big if, why I think – I'm sorry? That's a big if. I, I think his health is, is just not... – Well, he's coming back. He's coming back this round. No, I know, but how, how, back how, effect, how effective against, will he be? I mean, from what I've been reading, and that's all anyone can gauge, they say that he looks really good in the uh, you know in shoot arounds and his mobility, and that they've technically, if it was the finals or even the conference finals, he could have played. But because they were playing a, a, you know a very limited San Antonio team, and they realized they didn't need him, they gave him you know the extra ten to fourteen days. Uh, you know, just to rest because, you know, and this happened, by the way, you might not re- remember this happened the year they won the championship too. He missed the first round because he was injured. So, um, you know, there's, there's a precedent for it, but what I think, oh, I'm sorry, you know, before I even comment on that and tell me LeBron James, where will he be playing next year? It's, there's really only two logical, or I'm sorry, there's really only three possible, in my opinion, logical destinations outside of resigning with Cleveland. Yeah, and that would be Philadelphia. Yeah, Houston and L.A. Yeah, Houston and L.A. And, you know, I don't think he's going to play in Houston because I don't, you know, from what I've read, they, they literally would have to waive everybody but him and, and Harden and Chris Paul just to give him that max contract. If he goes to L.A., he's never going to win another championship before he retires. I mean, he'll be too old by the time those pieces, you know, get good enough. And then, you know, Philly is his only true outlet. Only because you know they can get through the East. You add him to that team, and they're going to get through the East every year until until he retires. And they most likely will. But everything I've read basically indicates that he doesn't want to go to Philly, and Philly doesn't even want him. Joel Embiid made a real cryptic uh, statement after they eliminated Miami, saying that we don't need any outside parts. That was his exact quote to come to this team. This team is ready, you know, on its own. So uh, I don't know. I'm really interested because he can't stay in Cleveland because I mean, I mean, he could. But then he's basically going to be conceding that he's never going to win another championship because he's not, not yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah, I know. I and, mean, and, and, it's just the, not going to happen. And, and so, so and the thing with you also have to look at it's as you said about whether they want him, and and there are stars who don't want to share the spotlight or or actually lose the spotlight to LeBron. So that that's another. He's th- awful. He's the most unhumble athlete that I've ever seen. Yes, so, the, it's, so it's that's terrible. the reason that that like someone like Embiid says, you know, I, I'm the star. I don't want I don't want to lose uh, I don't want to lose the spotlight to LeBron, and he's he's going to take over here as far as uh, him being the guy in Philadelphia. He doesn't want that. He probably feels that look, this team's looking good right now. We don't we don't even need this effort. So well, of course, and they're only going to get better. That team could be competing for the next seven to ten years in theory. I mean, if they don't break it up or if, you know, free agents don't leave. I mean, they're going to be a force. They're all so young, you know, and they're only going to get better with Ben Simmons developing. He hasn't even, you know, breached the surface. So it sounds like you're saying he is going to come to L.A. I mean, I no, I I think, okay, if you ask what I think, I think that his representatives are going to reach out to Philly, and it's going to be up to the ownership, you know, and the GM, which is, what's his name, uh, Coangelo, to decide whether they, they bring him in. I think that's going to be his first choice. Um, if that doesn't come to fruition, then I think he's going to go to L.A., and I think maybe he's deluded, that, you know, or I shouldn't say deluded, that he's going to go to L.A. and think, you know, that, you know, basically like what he did with Miami, where they're going to convince him and then, you know, try to get another max player to come, like specifically Paul George. And they think that will be enough. And I think that's the worst thing the Lakers can do, because if they do that, they're going to have to get rid of, you know, at least one of their core young players now. And so what they'd be doing is basically going against the approach that they've said, from the start, which is building for the future, but then immediately they would be in a win now 
type situation. And this isn't like when they brought Shaquille O'Neal, you know, when they traded from Orlando for him, because Shaquille was still in his 20s, and he could have provided, you know, seven good years, you know, to them. This guy, I mean, there's no way how great he is and how dominant he is. He's not going to be the same player in three years. It's just impossible. I mean, I, I prove me wrong. Yeah, you know, I, no I, I've end. said that too. I, I've said that even though he has uh, defied time, really so far, he's 33 years old, and he has—he's uh, not playing like a 33-year-old, even a good, even a, a superstar 33-year-old. He uh, eventually is—it's going to catch up with him, and it can happen very quickly. So, uh, yeah, I, there aren't going to be that many good years as because of the salary structures right now. And, the and then, cap- you know, I'm sorry, but when you know, just to honest, be honest. He's 33 years old, but his NBA body is closer to like 37. I mean, that's just the truth. The amount of miles that he has and the fact that he was playing so many minutes at the age of 18 in the NBA, he's not like a normal 33-year-old. Well, yes, but, but, but also being, being – he's not like a normal 33-year-old that way, but he still is 33, and there's, just, there's a lot of changes to the body in those years that uh, will just for, – for a professional athlete, given how, how high of a level they have to play – uh, it just degrades, and no matter how good you are, unless you're on steroids, uh, usually you just can't maintain the same level no matter what. And and uh, well, and you know, and knock on wood, you know, he's only one small or medium or you know season-ending injury from it all being all over. I mean, look at Kobe. You know, yeah. Kobe was still at his peak, and once he had that initial ACL ACL tear, he was never even close to the same. And you're gonna, you know, I'm I'm just saying, and you know, LeBron's never had a serious injury. He's kind of due. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but I mean, I'm just saying he's never. Battled that injury bug, but anyhow, where, so where do you think he will end up? I actually, when all is said I, and done? I actually do think I actually think it's most likely he'll end up in L.A. and I think he does believe he could uh, you know, attract a Paul George and, and, and then take the existing remaining team and and uh, and somehow cobble that into a championship. And, I, I think and they're going to get through. They're going to get through the West. I mean, that's well. That's a tall I'm not task. saying I'm not saying they will, and it, it will be very tough. It's, I know it's a it's a very Tough conference, and and uh, and that's that's the thing that they're going to battle with is that uh, they they are still facing very tough teams, especially if uh, if Golden State doesn't have injury problems next year. And, and but the reason I feel Golden State's not going to win this year is because Curry has, has faced much longer standing injury problems and worse injury problems this year compared to last. And, and compared to any other year, so so I, well, I think, two years ago, like I said, or three years ago when they won it, initially he missed the first round. No, I know, but he hadn't uh, been out as much during the year. This year, there's been a constant injury issues with him, and he's, uh, I mean, not constant like not like Kawhi Leonard who's hmm. missed almost all season, but but he, well, he, same thing with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant missed over twenty games this year too. Yeah, right, they had that with, as well. So, but but so yeah. I, I I just think there's too many, but. There's too much of a chance that Curry's either going to get injured again, or he's going to come back and just not be the same. And then maybe Durant could even get injured. There's so many ways it could go wrong for the Warriors here, even if nobody gets injured again. Uh, okay, and, and, but you know what? You can say the same about Houston. I mean, Chris Paul has been nothing but an injury bug his whole career. You know, and you you tell me right now if they make it to the finals that there's not at least a fifty percent chance he misses at least one or two games. You know, I'll, I'll take that bet. I mean, it's happened every year he's been in the playoffs. Every year. He's never gone through an entire playoff playing every single game. Uh, you know, granted, he hasn't gone far. You know, it's a small sample size. But my thinking is this. Since the history of, of the NBA that I followed, it's always taken a year for a championship-level team to, to get to that point and have to battle and, and you know, like, 
going back to the 80s even. You know, the Bulls had to overcome the Pistons. And then, you know, then, you know, you just, you know, you look at like those kind of matches. You know, who did the Pistons have to overcome? They had to overcome the Celtics. I mean, without maybe looking at like obviously a team like the Rockets that just kind of got there in the 90s, you know, there's always been this kind of hierarchy where a team has to knock off a team that's been there first or at least get to that level. I mean, Houston hasn't even made the conference finals, you know. So anyhow, I think that they're a year away. I, I, I also think it's a big question of, you know, uh, Chris Paul being healthy. And I also think, and let's be honest, you know, remember what happened last year in game seven with Houston when James Harden, like, scored 12 points on, like, 20% shooting. He hasn't ever yet shown up for a big game. He hasn't, like, playoff-wise. Like, you know, meaning, like, put up an incredible performance to win the game. So those are still a lot of intangibles. But right now, I mean, I have to go with Golden State. They're the champions. They've been there three years in a row. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. I mean, I'm looking forward to that series. If it gets to that, which it should, that's going to be a great series. I mean, that's going to be a real physical, you know, trash-talking, you know, just great for television series yeah, in to fa- watch. In fact, if that if it isn't these two teams and there's it's a major upset because, honestly, the, the remaining it's, six in the playoff – they, they It's were, impossible. It's impossible. They're just, it, it, I mean, it's, it's just such a lower class of teams than the rest of them in, in, compared to these two. Well, there's not even six left because no, I know, you know but, San Antonio. But I, I know, I know. And also, uh, New Orleans beat uh, uh, beat Portland, but in fact, swept Portland. Yeah. But uh, I, I can't see any of them uh, managing to get to the finals except for those two, unless something really unusual happens. It's it's gonna it's gonna almost be like you know an afterthought when the finals does occur. Because the conference finals is really going to determine the finals. I mean, yeah, whoever it, wins in that series will likely win the championship. They'll be heavily favored, you know, regardless. Even if it's Toronto, if somehow Cleveland miraculously gets there, whether they face Houston or Golden State, they're going to be pretty decent dogs. That's, that's what um, I'm, yeah, that's what I've been thinking here the whole year that it's, uh, because the East is, is, is so wide open and kind of dysfunctional that just whoever wins, it's going to get crushed anyway. But. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, when I was thinking that bet for Toronto, I was never even thinking for a second to bet them on the finals. I, I was just, I, I was not betting them to win the championship. I was thinking, I want to bet them to win the Eastern Conference. Fi- that's exactly where I was going with it. I wasn't, even, I wasn't even thinking of the chance of the of them winning the finals because I just, my thought was, even if they do win the Eastern Conference Finals, they're going to get crushed when they when they have to face. Uh, I mean, they remind me of a team like the Nets in the earlier part of this decade, or you know, even like the Pacers, where they were, you know, very good. And, you know, but they're not great and they're not going to get better, you know, meaning like it's almost kind of sad, like next year, or the year after they either have to break up that team and, and try to, you know, get younger and, and, you know, get a true superstar or they're going to be stuck in that mode where they win 50, you know, 55 games a year. But, you know, they can't ever reach their you know, the peak of winning at all. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's just kind of how the, they are. You're kind of just stuck in that, you know, that weird position where you're good, but not great. But, yeah, I, uh, I just with, with Toronto, it's, it's just, and it's not like this anymore for them. But, but really, in in the earlier part of the season, the first half of the season, they just they did such a good job with not having a bad game. I was so impressed by just that they just never let down. They they won the games they're expected to win very decisively. I mean, they were constantly crushing the spread, uh, betting wise, and and they were they just never seemed even in their losses, they didn't seem to have bad games. And I said, that, that's, a, that's a team that's very impressive. If they can do this with that type of consistency, then yeah. that, well, that, that's... Let that's, me ask you this. I made a bet. You know, it's not a big deal, so I can, I'll can i say it. I made a bet with China Mania, just $100. And 
And the bet was, and I'll offer you the same bet. The bet was even money. And I took Golden State to win the championship. He took Houston. Anything else is a push, which it won't be. But if you want, you know, 100 isn't a lot of money. It's a friendly bet. Give us something to kind of is, barter. Is that, and, is and that, you're saying the Western Conference Finals or, or the whole championship? Not that it probably matters well, much, but. Well, no, it, I, I, no, actually the bet that, that we made was just between those teams, that matchup. Meaning, like, if oh. they don't play for some reason, you know, then it's void. Okay, uh, but, okay. So yeah, they, it's, so I'm sorry. So those, those two have so, to match each other, otherwise it doesn't happen. There's yeah, no so bet. basically they each have to win the next series. If either, either one of them doesn't, then there's no bet. And I have that bet with China for 100 and he has Houston. And I'll offer you the same bet. Okay, it's just no, the I'll, money. I'll do it, too. Just 100 bucks. Yeah, and, I'll do it, you know, too. We can talk some trash and, and have a reason to kind of root for a small amount. Okay. So, yeah, it's not – they don't have to win the championship. They just – whoever – they end up playing – that qualifies a bet, and then whoever gets past that, you know, each other, then it's over. That's the win- that dictates the winner. And if they get upset in the finals, it's irrelevant, you know, to, to our bet. Just who wins and gets out of the West. Okay, hundred bucks. Okay, we'll do it. Okay, you got a bet. All right. So, so, so anyhow, yeah, go yeah, ahead. It's uh, yeah, I'm getting kind of tired and worn out here, so I think I'm going to. Shut this down. And tomorrow's here. the NFL draft. Have you followed any of that, or you're not? I, I don't think you're. No, I got a text I, uh, asking to talk about that, but I said I didn't think you're. You follow that? I don't follow close. closely enough. No, not the NFL. I, I only kind of follow that casually. So, do you know anything about it? I mean, do you know who has the top pick? No, I haven't followed it at all. The Cleveland Browns have the first pick and the fourth pick. So the general consensus in the media has been: if the Browns screw this up, then they're just basically doomed forever. Because unlike, you know, even what, you know, what Philadelphia's had in their assets with uh, Sam Hinkie, uh, you know, it's very uncommon for an NFL team to have two such high picks. Like first and fourth is almost unheard of. You know, it's not a very common, you know, because the NFL, you know, it's you could almost look and predict, you know, at least certain positions, you know, quality players. And it's not like. Even the NBA, when you're picking, you know, even fifth, sixth, seventh, or earlier, that sometimes they're going to be hit and misses. So they're in a great position to really get competitive real fast. So that's what all the talk has been. No, they they um, won they won zero games last season. So yeah, yeah. By the <laughs> way, I saw I, I I saw an old Joel Embiid tweet, and you'll you'll probably think this is hilarious. It was a tweet that said uh, Sam Hinkie is you know like Jesus. Sam Hinkie died for our sins. <laughs> Is what you know that you know Sam Hinkie, the GM that drafted Embiid and and you know created the process, and which is really ironic because he's the reason they're so good, and he got forced out. Yeah, and he saw this vision. I mean, you know, and you know what they're doing, obviously, right? To circumvent what he did. That do you know what what is going to take effect now? No, not this year in the draft, but next year they're flattening out the percentages big time as to what. The team with the worst record, the second worst record, the third worst record, et cetera, to percentage that they have with the ping pong balls oh, getting that. the that's, first that's overall interesting. pick. That's interesting. This year it will be the same, but be, and it's it's basically being referred to as the Sam Hinkie rule. So this was the NBA's. I'm surprised you don't know this. This was the NBA's response to all this constant tanking. That literally you can tank and you can finish dead last, and you're going to have basically the same chance as a team that finished tenth with the 10th worst record, has of getting the first overall pick. And I think it's great. Yeah, I think I it's great, too. I know, I know. That it's, it's, it got ridiculous. It's awful. You can't just have a league where half the teams are trying and half the teams aren't. It makes the regular season basically mute. 
you know, or just moot, not mute. You know, when I was young in the 80s and 90s and early 90s, you never would watch a game and just say to yourself, oh, this team isn't even trying. Or like, you know, tanking wasn't even a, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, they were generally bad teams and that just was part of it. And, but nobody purposely tried to lose. So I think that's interesting. I think most sports need, you know, to do that, to just, you know, give an incentive. Well, all the, all the tanking the way, this year, that, yeah. that was part of the reason that the, you didn't have these, like, uh, the, the eighth seed teams had better records this year than they typically do because, uh, there were so many tanking teams that, yep. uh, it was, it was, the wins were easier to come by. The, the eighth, the, the, the West was just insane. Whereas the last day a team could have finished either eighth or all the way as high as fourth in the same, yeah. in the same conference based on the, the last day. The seedings were nuts. Absolutely nuts. So anyway, I think that's a good rule. I think all sports need to implement it. Um, I'm looking currently as we speak for a new team to root for in baseball because <laughs> I am absolutely, no, I'm being honest. I'm not just saying this. Although I look at my phone every other day. That's why I didn't even know today. Like about the Marlins, you would have asked me last year how they did. I would have known, you know, if they won, if they lost, who hit a home run, who was pitching. But I'm so done with Derek Jeter. I'm so done with that franchise that I'm gonna literally find another team, you know, just to or nobody at all to root for and to watch because it's just so miserable, you know. Now that you heard what he did with Jose Fernandez, I mean, I'm sure you heard about that where they're not gonna honor him and they're gonna, you know, just everything that they've done, they couldn't have managed this worse. I mean, last week they had a game that drew 9,000 people, and there was a double-A stadium, or double-A team that had more than the major league team in attendance. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, you know, now there's this big lawsuit where Derek Jeter literally put out a, a statement saying that, uh, the county, the Dade County in Miami is suing the Marlins, and they're suing the owners because they believe they had an agreement that they were going to receive a certain percentage of do you, know, do you even know any of this? This crazy. No, I'm about I, to tell I, you? I don't know about this lawsuit. No. Okay, this is nuts. This is absolutely fucking crazy nuts. The, uh, Dade County is contending that they had a agreement with Jeff Loria that if uh, when the Marlins were sold, if it was for X amount of money, uh, that they would receive. I think it was like ten percent or five percent of the profit. When Loria sold the Marlins, he claimed he didn't make a profit. Okay, claimed he lost money, which is even by the craziest accounting, it's batshit crazy. So anyhow, Derek Jeter now is somehow in the New Marlins ownership is somehow snaggled into this lawsuit, and they literally went to court last week saying that they were exempt or Dade County was exempt from handling this lawsuit because the Marlins were based out of some island in the Caribbean. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. They literally went and they filed some LLC. That is like the parent company of the Marlins, and they created a PO box. I'm trying to think, I cannot remember what island it was. But but so there was this crazy Marlins fan. Okay, I don't know if you know this guy that was had been fighting with Jeter and whatnot. Went there and found this PO box and found this address that they're using. They literally went to court and and claimed that the Miami Marlins were not a UA, U.S. based entity. I swear to you, Google this. It's absolutely fucking nuts. And that they're based in the Caribbean. Just Google it. Google like Marlins, you know, based in the Caribbean. And you can read this. And that's what they're arguing in court that, you know, that they don't have the, the United States courts don't have jurisdiction over this. <laughs> that it's an international matter. I don't know if you Googled it, but it, it's, it's fucking nuts. It's just, it's getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, I'm so, seeing this. That they were the British Virgin Islands. The British Virgin Islands. 
Yes, yes, but that's where they're based out of. I mean, you can't make this up. You really can't. I mean, tell me, is that pretty fucking yeah, batshit that, crazy? That, that's insane. Uh, yeah. my, a Miami yeah. team is based in, uh, yep. in the Virgin Islands. And this the dude literally went, found the address of where the P.O. box is located, and there was no signage, no office. There was nothing. It was just an LLC that they created as a shell, as a shell company, and they got a P.O. box. <laughs> and, like, this little, like, P.O. box store in, in the British Virgin Islands. <laughs> they should have at least they installed what, some, just rented some office there and just you know, I mean, place somebody there just to hire somebody of to course. sit there and do nothing all day. Of course. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. And now they're, you know, they're saying they're not going to honor, uh, you know, Jose Fernandez because you know, he was on cocaine and, and, you know, they're breaking promises that they had pledged earlier. It's just, it's, it's shitty. You know, yeah, and I, you know, I don't know how long Don Madeline's going to be able to take it. I mean, you know, he's like, how are you going to lose 110, 120? I mean, they're historically bad. How are they going to lose 110, 120 games a year? You know what? The, the, I'll, t- I'll tell you what may actually save them and may not make their season as bad as it appears. And that is, they actually have some starting pitchers that have good potential and could yeah, actually. They'll be pitch. gone by the All Star break. Well, well, yeah, if they shoot them away, but the, but if, if they if they actually, but they're cheap, so they may not be. So they they may be able to carry the team's horrid offense. And I'm not saying they're going to be a winning team, but they they you know maybe they could squeeze through and go something like seventy two and ninety if they get lucky. Yeah, you know what's what's ironic as of right now. Uh, if you know, right now, this moment, there's only two franchises in the history of all pro sports that have never lost a postseason series ever. One is the Miami Marlins, and the other is the Las Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> the Marlins have made the, made the playoffs only two times in their 25 plus years of existence, and they've both times won the World Series. It's interesting; they've yep. never lost a postseason series ever. And both times, get in, and they win. Well, so. they won't. They won't have to worry about that this year. Like not, they're not going to have to worry about it for a while. I mean, it, none of it. And, you know, it's funny, though. I'm looking at John Carlos Stanton in New York, and he's – I don't know if you've seen He's absolutely yeah, just struggling. Yeah, he's been awful. I mean, went 0 for 4 yesterday with four strikeouts. He's hitting like 225. I mean, they're, they're already booing him. <laughs> they're booing him. We're not even in May yet. He can, they're he, booing him. In, yeah, in, he, that, and that's the problem. He, the, he can go into big slumps and – the New York Yankees, that's not the right team to play for if you have the tendency to go into big slumps because they get so harsh, those fans on, and the media, on players who are slumping there. So if he started out the season in a slump, which he did, which can even just be you know nervousness in playing for this uh, for, for the Yankees instead of for, for the Marlins where there was well, much less visibility. It, it could be more than that. I mean, people do say that there's, you know, hitters say in general, there isn't a big adjustment. There's a big adjustment, adjustment switching leagues for the first time. And facing American League pitching when you've basically only faced National League pitching your whole career, you know. And like you said, he's also a very you know streaky hitter too. But listen, you know, doesn't mean he's not going to finish with you know a two thirty average. This could be prolonged all year. I mean, you just never know. Yeah, and and you know? uh, well, I think actually for the switching leagues, I think it affects. They've always said that though. That, but I, I feel I feel it affects the pitchers more going from National to American League than it does for the batters because it's such an adjustment for a pitcher. To I don't think this gets enough attention. A pitcher who is used to having a break in the lineup for you know facing the opposing pitcher to where if he gets in trouble, okay, the pitcher spot's coming up and he either you know gets out of it completely or gets a free out. Uh, th- having that replaced by a designated hitter 
can be so big, and, and it can also be overwhelming because they just feel like they're never getting a break. It's like nine competent hitters just coming up over and over and over again without this pitcher there in the ninth spot. And, and especially, like, if you have a team with a, a weak-hitting catcher and then the pitcher, then that really can help a pitcher uh, get out of, uh, of jams and, and, and kind of have a break where in the American League you don't have that. So even if there is a weak-hitting catcher, he's the only one there. So... It really can be tougher on pitchers who come from the American, from the National League, who are used to having that. Where all of a sudden they're not ever getting that. And uh, I agree. And then also, sure. I, I've also, I think there's a psychological aspect with pitching where if you have good numbers, if you have the good ERA and the good WHIP, and you're having a good year, uh, it's a lot easier to keep pitching well than if you're just getting hammered every time, and uh, you know you're. You kind of just get more in the mode of okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give up runs again, or you know, like it gets frustrated. Like everyone's going to get hits off. Like if you if you're used to going out there and dominating every time, you actually can be uh, uh, it can actually help you in that you have more confidence. You, you can you can end up losing confidence. So you you go over there, you can't adjust well because of this. Then your numbers get bad. Then you go out with no confidence and you and and you don't pitch as well as you did in the National League. And it, it's a it's a vicious cycle. So I think that's uh, now there's some pitchers who go over there and adjust well. Uh, look at Jared Cole in Houston. You know, there's some who just immediately pick it up and do very well. Uh, there, there's others who who just go over and, and immediately get hammered there, and especially when they trade a pitcher who's already kind of struggling a little bit, like you know someone who's just not having as good of a season as expected, and then you move them to the American League, then they really seem to get bombed. That's what I've, I've noticed. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sorry. I know you're going to kill me. One, I had one more thing. I was actually thinking about this yesterday. I thought of it today in the car when I'm driving. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to propose this to Druffer. At least ask him. And I know it's late. And I just, I, I woke up late today. So that's why I seem like I have a lot of energy. But what, what I wanted to ask you, and of course, be honest now. You know, don't be biased. Don't try not to be emotional about it. If for some reason Donald Trump pulls off this meeting with the leader of North Korea and can get them to denuclearize and can at least give the perception of right now in the near future of a Korean peninsula that's you know, going to be safe and, 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 you know, there's no worries of any nuclear threat. And also assuming that the economy remains stable, which I think it will, at least you know, for the duration of his term, regardless of all the hatred and everything the media says, does that get him reelected? Because he's already obviously said he's, he's going to run again. Well, I, mean, I don't know if you've said it. He's, you know, he is running again. Um, well, that enough people would would they basically would people look past his shortcomings his unprecedented his unpresidentialness and say this guy did something no other u.s president was able to do and you know what even though i don't agree with his thinking and the way he speaks he's made our country safer he's made the world safer you know i rather keep him as a status quo than somebody unknown please answer well if it happens yes if it happens sometime soon uh, I I don't think he can win again because the problem is everybody's memory is short for things like this, especially anything that's positive. The uh, the memory gets short for it, and uh, and then anything negative he does after that, which I'm sure there will be plenty of things that uh, will be worthy of criticism. Then the focus can be more on that. Now, what will he attempt to hammer back and 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 keep bragging that he accomplished this. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, but uh, but uh, but still, 
uh, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the freshness in people's minds. And, and I, I want to point, I know this is a long time ago, but to George H.W. Bush, who went from a 91% approval rating, which is just insane if you think about it. To, you know, was that right after 9-11? No, no, you know, his dad, the, the Gulf, Gulf War, 91. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you say that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so he went from 91% approval rating in January of 91 to losing in November of 92. Why? Because people, the good feelings they had about the way he handled that Gulf War, uh, that, that faded and people started to become concerned about the economy. And that took over, and then he also didn't act. Well, there was fast. great reason the economy was slumping. I mean, well, it was it, slumping, it, but he and and, and uh, it, it, a lot of a lot of it wasn't his fault actually. But but he was the one who was president, and he he also didn't act quickly enough to acknowledge it. And and by the time he did, it was kind of too late. And and uh, and then Clinton came out of nowhere as a candidate that wasn't really well, expected. It was a perfect storm. It wasn't just that. It was all the things you mentioned, and then you know what? You add Ross Perot. Which I really yeah. still believe to this day. If you remove him from that equation, Bush gets another four yeah, years. Yeah, that's, I yeah, do believe yes, that. Yeah, I, I believe that too. So, so, so that's. But still, he there was a lot of the good feelings people had about him. The ninety-one percent approval rating, which you think about, you know, think about it. The with, with how many Democrats in the country there were, ninety-one percent approval rating. I mean, we'll never see that again. Ever, I think. With, with, can you imagine any president? What was had, the highest that Clinton got to when it was just out of control? When every dot com was, you know, just oh, it was nowhere near that. I don't know. It was nowhere near that. No, it, it, the the country was already too partisan by then. There, it can never happen again. The, the country is too partisan now. It, it can never ever occur again that uh, a president would get ninety one percent. So, but but that shows. It, but even though those times were different in that way, it, people can forget very quickly about, especially about good things that have happened, and focusing on on the bad at the moment. So. I, I think, I'm sorry, by the way, according to – I just Googled this real quick. According to Gallup, uh, ironically enough, right after Clinton's impeachment, he had obtained his highest ever rating, and which favorable rating, which was 73%. Yeah. So that goes to show you. That was the highest he ever <laughs> had in eight years. So I'm surprised he ever even had that. So, uh, And you're never going to see that again even. that's Even that rating I think is too high for what we'll see because of how partisan the country is. They're just – you know, a, a large number of Republicans will never give high approval to a Democrat and, and vice versa. So if Trump runs again, there can be so much material to use against him from his first time around that uh, uh, I think it, it will be difficult for him to win. However, if I think a lot has to do with his opponent. If they put forth a crappy opponent this time or come forth with a crappy strategy as they did in 2016 the democrats could lose again they uh, hillary beat herself basically and uh it, it could happen again i don't even know who who would be this time in 2020 but well that's the other thing there's not even a big name at this point a captivating name you know, there's nobody. I mean, what are you going to put out? I mean, I think the Bushes are done. I don't think Jeb, Jeb Bush knows better that you know he doesn't have a chance. Rubio, you know, I don't think Rubio can recover. And this was the same guy that basically quit politics. Yeah, you know, two I, years I don't ago. think he can recover either. So yeah, so you know, so I I don't know. And Bush was ninety percent, by the way. That was his highest. Obama was sixty four. 
Yeah, it was, it was so, ninety. Oh, it was ninety. Yeah, it was ninety-one. Okay, but yeah. Well, whatever. It's very close. Yeah. It's very, so, it's so, very so I, I think that. that uh, yeah, I wouldn't say he has no chance because it has to do with a lot of who he faces and, and the strategy used against him. And uh, and, and well, I, will, I will say that it seems like the Democrats still have not learned why they lost. I, I see two. I, I see very little indication that they understand the strategic errors they made, and they may correct it by the time the next presidential election comes along. They they may finally uh, understand it. But right right now, like in this midterm, mm-hmm. where where they will make gains as the opposition party almost always does, but they're right now they're kind of just running on an well, anti-Trump platform, which. The reason why I ask again is, you know, I had this discussion with with two friends recently, and we all shared the same viewpoint. And, you know, you can tell me if you agree with this, that basically, despite his personal flaws and what we may think of him as a person, if we indeed feel as if the United States is safer and, you know, he's doing a good job, at least on the surface of making the world safer, which he definitely would be doing if he can, you know, really have some dialogue with North Korea, then all his other transgressions should be ignored or any personal, you know, type things that we may dislike for the greater picture of just, you know, the status quo. And I, I, you know, I'm going to be honest, people can bash me. I would say right now on radio that I agree with that, that if, you know, there's no terrorism, you know, that occurs on U.S. soil, that if you really can, can, you know, this guy's by all accounts an absolute madman in, in North Korea. And if he can get this guy to do something no other U.S. president has done, I mean, it's worth something to me. And that's, you know, maybe he really is this master negotiator that everybody has said or he's professed that he is. But you, you know, you as a voter, if the world is, is you know, a safer place, if he can get these things done, would that be enough for you personally? I mean, are you comfortable even answering that? Well, I, I can't ever see myself voting for a Democrat, first of all, because there's just too much that uh – they they stand for that I strongly disagree with. So even if I even if the candidate, you abstained, didn't you? Didn't you abstain uh, this v- last election? V- virtually yes. So so, uh, right. but part of the reason I did is I, I knew it didn't. My vote didn't matter either. So I was, uh, I, it really didn't matter in California where I was voting. So, uh, so I I would have to think about what I would do. I wouldn't be voting for the Democrat again. There's just because you know the truth is, like it or not, you're, you're electing. When you're electing someone of a political party, they're, they're largely representing the interests of that party. And if that party represents a lot of beliefs that you don't have or you have counter-beliefs to it, then you'd be foolish to vote for someone of that party, even if you like them personally. Otherwise, you're just uh, you're voting against your, your own interests and what you believe. So, so I, I couldn't vote for the Democrat there, even if someone that I, I personally liked, but uh, as far as Trump, you know, I, I have I, I have my issues with him. I, I don't uh, I don't have a hatred of him that uh, a lot of people have. Uh, and uh, you know, it'll be if he does manage this, which you know, it's a lot. Easier it's supposed said to be. Done. It's supposed to be before June, by the way. Okay. It's supposed it's, to be sometime next month. It's a lot easier said than done. It, it, it really is. I mean, it's uh, it's it's hard to picture this happening. But if if somehow it happens, that with this meeting? No, no. It, it, that the, any meeting that that would actually result in anything that uh, would be positive or substantially positive, they can meet and then not much come of it. Well, 
No, but I mean, but basically already North Korea has said that they're suspending their, their, you know, well, my feeling of it is this, that this guy's basically realized that the, the restrictions and the embargoes and the sanctions have affected North Korea's economy so bad that literally, you know, his, his people are going to starve to death. And you no, know, he has to do something else at this point. That, I mean, that's what I think. But uh, either either way, like it got kind of scary for a while with just the threats of, of nuclear engagement, and nobody wants that. I, I, I wasn't scared. I, I didn't think it was going to happen. I, I thought, and I like, I, I thought this was really all posture. The nuclear, th- the threats. I thought it was totally posturing. I, I thought it was totally posturing. I didn't. But he, think- he doesn't scare you enough that you think this guy is that much of a madman that it's possible. I think it's highly unlikely because I, I think that he, I think he much likes much more likes to be seen as a madman than actually would be willing to act on a lot of what he talks about. He likes to talk big, and then he's like a dog that barks really loud but isn't going to bite anybody. And and that's what I think. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah, that's 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 what I see of him. And uh, what, what would scare me much more is a uh, if if it ever comes to pass that terrorists get a hold of uh, of nuclear weapons, and uh, if if especially in the future when it might become easier to make them and even to have uh, a way of distributing of. Uh, you know, sending them far away to launch them and have them uh, hit something far, which is a, ch- a, a big challenge as well. But if, if they, especially in the future, when technology gets better and they can get access to it and really, uh, if, if they could do that, then then we have a real problem because then you have people who have no problem annihilating everybody on Earth. They won't care. I think that Kim Jong Un cares about getting annihilated himself, and, and, and his people getting annihilated. I don't think he wants that. I don't think he's that crazy where he actually says, "I don't care. We, we're, we'll, we'll all die." He, I don't believe he's ever been to that point where he's ever thought that way. Where, where uh, Middle Eastern terrorists, uh, they actually do believe that. They, they believe that there will be the seventy-two virgins waiting for them in heaven. They think that this is on, an honorable thing to do. If if the world is full of infidels, then maybe this is what needs to be done. They they uh, so that's the scary. The, the ones who are willing to kill everyone and think it's uh, the the just and correct thing to do, they're the ones to worry about. The ones who who, who worry about their own safety. Uh, with them, you could always have the mutually assured destruction threat to where nobody wants to do anything. Nobody wants to actually. Uh, launch any kind of nuclear attack, and that's that's what I see right. with North Korea. And, and you know, if you look at it, they, if North Korea were to attack the U.S. with nuclear weapons, the, the likely target would be Los Angeles. That, that, that's the closest big city to them. That's the easiest place to hit. So, that, that but but still, well, the threats initial the threats initially were Hawaii and uh, right, right, Guam, except, and right. Guam because. They've already basically proved that they can hit those targets. Right, it's right. Not 100%, right. It's not 100% certainty that they can actually hit mainland USA yet, yeah, at I least know, according know. to the experts. But that, that's, that's what they're really – okay, so the the problem with hitting Guam is that if they were to do something like that, they would be causing they, – they would force a response that could devastate them and yet have caused relatively – 
few deaths themselves because Guam doesn't have much of a population. Hawaii has more, but still it's relatively small. If they were hit something like L.A., that would, you know, that would be massive, massive uh, casualties. Uh, you, you're right that it's, it's possible they can't. But that's that's what they want us to believe is that they can they can hit it. Yeah, the, the more immediate threat was Guam, but the the the, uh, the real threat that's trying to scare people is that uh, either they can now or one day soon can hit L.A. and that we better watch out or they or they will. But I don't believe it. I don't believe they will ever do that. And it's a little it's a little over two thousand miles from North Korea North Korea to Guam. Um, and if you followed any of their tests, I mean they've had. Several missiles that have blown up, you know, before it, it was, you know, it, again, like I said, it's not a certainty that they could target a missile, uh, you know, with a nuclear warhead and have it land in L.A. But regardless, the way history works, and you both know that is even after we're long dead, you know, regardless of what potentially could cause uh, him, you know, to, to denuclearize and, and engage, you know, the West. Trump would get the credit. That's how history would reflect it. I mean, that's just the way it works. Yeah, yeah, I know. Whether it's fair or not, you know what I mean? That's That would be his legacy, just like it almost was, you know, with Bill Clinton meeting with, you know, Yitzhak Rabin and, and uh, what's his name, Arafat. You know, it's just that's just the way it works. You know, even though a lot of it is timing and a lot of it is these other pressures that we're, you know, like I said, putting on North Korea, which is we're basically starving their people. You know, and that's, I mean, that's what we're doing. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the methods that, that you know, us and the UN and our, you know, NATO is, is taken, but, you know, their economy is just, it's nothing, you know. I mean, they can't do anything. So, anyhow, I just, you know, you're a gambler, obviously. I always like asking you these sort of things. If you had to give odds right now on Trump being reelected and then odds on any, since we don't know, any random popular Democrat. What would the odds be now in re-election, you know, for both Trump and a random Democrat that runs? Now, is this including if Trump runs at all? Is I think there's a realistic possibility when it comes to the time to run, either just from being old or just from being. He said he already done. said he was going to run again. Yeah, I know he's saying it, but then actually so, doing it. To well, no, yeah, of course, assuming that he runs again. Yes, absolutely. If he decides to run again and he's healthy and you know there's cognizant, and of course nothing happens with this Mueller investigation that prohibits him. What would you say as of right now, and the information you know about North Korea and such, that the odds are of him winning and also, you know, versus a Democrat winning? Well, I think he actually would still probably win the primary. I, I He probably wouldn't be unseated in the primary. It could happen, but it's just very hard to do. To unseat the sitting president in the primary for has that ever even happened in modern times? I, I don't think so. <laughs> so. So it would make it hard. I can't yeah, remember it happening. Yeah. So that's that's so it's more of, it's it's more of can he beat whoever the Democrat is in the upcoming election? I have to say that the Democrat has the the, the favorite right now. Uh, hmm. Really? Yeah, but not not a huge favorite. Kind of a, a moderate favorite. Like maybe Trump is like plus 120 and then like the Democrats like minus 110, 120 themselves. I, I thought it was like, like, like plus 140, minus 150 sort of thing. That, that's what Wait, I'm I, sorry. The Democrat was it was it minus be, what? Minus 150. Oh, okay. That's, that's – I mean that's a decent favorite. That's not a slight dog. I mean minus 150 is you're going to win two out of three times. No, no, it's not. Yeah, so, no, that's, that would be minus 200. Or one and a half out of two. No, what yeah. is it? One, one is, minus 150 is – yeah, you're gonna win. Uh, no, you're gonna win two out of three times. No, that, that's minus two hundred. 
No, I'm sorry. Yeah, so minus 150 would be the – I'm getting tired now. The minus 150 would be the equivalent of winning what, one and a – one – One and a half out of uh, – <laughs> Listen to us. Okay. Well, <laughs> but the, it's like blackjack. It's like three to two, isn't it? That's what it would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said, two out of three times. And you said that'd be minus 200. I don't know. Okay, whatever. I, I can't figure it out. But, okay, that's what I wanted to know. So you still think a Democrat is a decent-sized favorite to win as of right now? Yeah, decent-sized but not huge. So so I wouldn't be shocked if, if Trump could win again, especially. Uh, and what is what are you saying on the record? Because, you know, people always will find this show and they'll say, Druff, you said this, <clears throat> you predicted this in, you know, April 2018. Will he win? Will he be reelected or no? I predict he will not be, but I will not be that surprised if he is. So if, if people want to quote this later, uh, <laughs> they always do. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying here. Uh, oh, he's not. You know, he's not going to win. He has no chance. Uh, he's screwed. And then when he wins, ah, oh, look, you had no idea. I, I'm saying that. I I think the greater chances he won't, but that I will not be shocked if 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 he does manage to win again, especially if. The Democrats approach this the same way they did in 2016, and and don't correct the problems with their campaign and and their message, and also the internal problems they still have with the you know the Bernie Sanders faction and the establishment, where there's a lot of internal resentment. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff they have to deal with that they've got to get corrected, especially before a president. It's one thing to win midterms, but it's another thing in the, in the presidential election. They've got to correct some of the big mistakes they made, uh, and, and I'm not sure if the, if they are willing to acknowledge them yet. Because some of what they have to acknowledge will run counter to the type of narrative they've been pushing in recent years. They they have to reject a lot of the things that they've been holding dear in recent years and say, "Hey, people are not we're not connecting with a, with a swing voter with this type of stuff." We have to. We we have that was what Trump was so good at was connecting to the swing voters, uh, saying things that the swing voter wanted to hear, uh, you know, at least professing to have values that the swing voter had, where, where the Democrats were more focused on on pushing what the the the, the coastal elites uh, believed, who are going to vote for them anyway. So they they did great with the people who are going to vote for them anyway, but. Uh, those that were kind of on the fence, uh, they lost them all because they, they couldn't relate. They couldn't relate to, to what the Democrats were, were putting forth and what they were saying. And, 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 and since we are on the record now, throw out one or two candidates at most, no more than two, of who you think is possible to be the uh, Democratic nominee. And let's see how right you are in three years. Yeah, see, two I years. I See, that went so hard because... I don't think I don't think Hillary's coming back. I think they're pretty much done with her. She may like to come back and try, but I think they're pretty much done with her, and she'll be old too. The party, the party is going to nominate her again. I don't know. They, I, I think they're tired of her, and then then there is, uh, <laughs> and then there's. Uh, they, well, and what's changed that she you know she didn't win the first time? What's yeah, changed now? And then and Bernie, I mean, Bernie Sanders is is just going to be so old by that point. And, and besides, no, it have to be somebody young. That's what I'm saying. It have to be somebody in their 40s or late 40s or 50s. But I don't see. I don't even see. Be. I don't even see who it would be at this point. I don't even know who the which which well, upcoming. I'm star sure there Ted is. Cruz is going to give it a try one more time. Well, that's on the Republican side, but I'm saying on the Democrat side. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't know who who they're going to put up, and, that, and that's part of the reason I think Trump has a better chance than people are giving him is I don't know who the Democrats are going to put forward, and, and if they're going to have their own problems, and if they're going to and if 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 they're going to come with, with the correct message. So something else that just I I, I can't believe the show is longer than the last last week. Sorry, already, but one one thing I'd, I. If we even have people still here after people, uh, are we, people we, even we, listening to this now? Probably, but we probably lost. I'm saying, like in the archives, there's probably a lot of people who already turned it off because of the sports stuff that they weren't interested in. I mean, some people are interested in it, but we actually have better records. Than, we have better ratings than I expected right now. I expected it to be like nobody left, but there actually are. We have like we actually have about half the peak audience right now, which is surprising. So some, you know what? Some of them actually just fell asleep, and I can tell you this because when I Turn off the radio when it's done. I'll, I will turn it off, and then I will turn back on the reruns. And there will be a, a certain percentage of the audience is still there, meaning that they just fell asleep. And then within a few hours, they fall off because they wake up and they realize it's a rerun. So, according to USA Today, by the way, the the I mean, this is kind of nuts. The top five, and they have actually the odds. Uh, potential nominees as of right now for 2020 are Joe Biden is number one at six to one. Kamala Harris is number one also at six to one. Huh. Gavin Newsom, I don't even know who that is. I'm oh, yeah. Well, I, I thought he was going to run for governor, honestly, but he's in California. And then it goes Mitch Landrieu. I don't know who that is either, just being honest. And then Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. That's the top six. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren may try. That's that's true. But you know, know what? Looking at that list, I mean, none of those are real big names. That I mean, he might not really get a viable challenger. Thinking about it, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it really, really is. And then they have like Oprah Winfrey at twenty-five <laughs> to one. Like really? I mean, I remember there was talk, but I mean, would she really run? I could see it. Yeah, I mean, we go from Trump to Oprah Winfrey. What she may not want, though, is there is such scrutiny and criticism that comes with a presidential election, which she doesn't have right now. You know, like, who, who really scrutinizes or bashes Oprah? Like, almost nobody. But if she were to run, <laughs> if she were to run for president, like, like there would be so much. Like, is she really? Does she really want to deal with that? They, like, running for president now is just so stressful, and there's just so much uh, hatred aimed at you from the other side it's not even that i mean if you've done anything and this, wrong yes, or yes. anything you know personal that you're not proud of or even if you haven't i mean it's going to come out yeah you know? so she ever cheated on that guy stedman whatever bailey or whatever his name you know what i mean anything you know she had undocumented workers she you know her sexually whole, harassed someone well, honestly her whole personal life is kind of strange like i people haven't pressed it too hard because there's not really a reason to but her whole personal life, including with that Stedman guy, the, the whole the whole thing's really weird. There's been it's rumors that she's really a lesbian. And he's just he's just a beard. There's, there's a lot of things I've heard that who knows if it's true or not. But like that type of stuff would all come out. And not not that being you know gay in this day and age is is, is seen as as something so bad. But I, I'm just saying like she, she may not be ready to have this massive scrutiny on her that wasn't really. It's there not before. bad, but I still don't think this country is ready to elect. A gay president. I think we're still a while away from that. Maybe, but I thought that about a black president ten years ago. So who knows? I mean, really, do you think that we're ready for having a first? What would it even be? 
like say say there was a you know a, a male president or a female president with a same sex partner in office. Like, what would you call them? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I'm just saying there's not even a word for it. No, I mean, like the like, first the first man, the first the- lady. I mean, the <laughs> okay, but the, but so Oprah's. You know, say Oprah hypothetically was a lesbian, and, and it came out that she had a you know partnership or relationship with another female. That female moves in; it's still going to be the first lady. Yes, actually, I mean, it actually would be. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I guess, but it's weird. I mean, I'm just saying, it's it's still weird. There's it's been there's weird. been a, a massive uh, difference in this decade regarding the mainstream acceptance of, of gays. So, uh, you, you know what? I, I I hate to bring up another topic. And my voice is starting to fade. But something that annoyed me that the mainstream media has done recently, like a kind of a a non-story that they've covered very little compared to how much it deserves to be covered. Uh, I posted about this on the site of this uh, lesbian couple who drove their six children off a cliff and, and killed everyone. You heard about this? Yes, I, you know, I read about it on the site, but I, I haven't given it much scrutiny or read it in much so, detail. So this, but I did read the thread. This from first of all, it's a horrible story and what happened, but uh, it's it's also interesting in how it's being covered, and it really speaks volumes, in my opinion. So there, there's these two lesbians, they're both 38 years old. Uh, actually, to be honest, better looking than most lesbian couples out there, especially one of the two. Uh, but uh, that aside, they were. Uh, on the surface, seemed like great people. They, man, they were real. They weren't famous or anything. They were known for one thing at one point. But they, you know, but as far as what the left would like to see as an example of a lesbian couple, I mean, they they seemed perfect on the surface. They had adopted six minority children. I think like five of them were black, and one of them I couldn't tell what race he was. But uh, six minority children, most of them being black, adopting you know, adopting them all. Uh, they had a long relationship going back like 20 years like since they were teenagers uh were were married now they were involved in all kinds of uh liberal causes and uh and and mostly with kind of like unity type causes where they were you know the, the protesting racism but not even they weren't even doing it in that like the, the, Offensive of a way, it was more of just kind of like let's be inclusive, let's love everybody. They, they, you know, they, there was a picture that was somewhat well known of one of their kids, their black kids, hugging a white police officer during a Ferguson protest, where he's hugging the white police officer and has tears in his eyes, and it looked like a sign of racial unity. And, and the CNN made a big deal about the picture, so that was that was their kid who was twelve at the time, one of their kids. So they, they, there were so many things that looked good about them that they, they were supporting all the right causes, you know, right causes meaning from the, from the liberal point of view. Uh, they, they were a long-term lesbian couple who seemed loving and happy. They adopted six minority children, all of whom you know, were born into bad circumstances and had bad backgrounds and likely wouldn't have been adopted by anybody. And uh, So, you know, what's there to criticize? Well, it turned out this was all a facade that it turned out that they were very abusive, that they would beat the kids all the time, starve them as a form of punishment. Uh, in 2011, 2010, 2011, uh, one of the women was arrested after a six-year-old. You know, one of their daughters, a six-year-old, was found with bruises all over her body. 
and then she admitted that she quote gave the child a uh, um, like a closed fist spanking or something uh, over a bathtub, and it just got to uh, something like it, it that that just caused more bruising than she expected. So she got off with a slap on the wrist for this. You know, they, they uh, not they didn't take any of the kids away. They didn't look. They didn't interview the other kids. They they pretty much let it go, other than a, a you know like a probation or something she got for this. Um, in recent times, and, and by the way, they're always parading the kids out whenever they went to their protest. They always had the kids out there and they were protesting with them. So the kids were pretty much a prop for all their uh, their political mm-hmm. protests. But there there started to be more and more evidence over the years that there was abuse, pretty serious abuse going on. And the, the kids were rarely seen outside. It actually had a lot of similarities to that Turpin family that was, you know, had their 14 kids that were being, uh, or 12 kids that they were being you know, held in the house as prisoner. This had some similarities to this. And including the starvation. And, and in, in recent times, the kids were coming to uh, neighbors Sneaking out of the house, coming to neighbors and saying, "Please feed me. My my mothers are are refusing to feed me as punishment, and I'm starving." And uh, and then you know, there were multiple times where kids would run away from home and allege abuses going on in that home, including starvation, and nothing was done. Nothing was done. And it is assumed that some of the reason that very little was done was that these women were given kind of a pass. Because they were white liberal lesbians who were seen that they have to be good people, these white liberal lesbians who support all the right liberal causes that and, and they adopted six black kids, which they didn't have to do. Uh, you know, how could they be bad? You know, and, and, and do we want to be the social worker who takes kids away from a lesbian couple and kind of demonstrates, oh look, gays can't really raise kids? Like, do we want to be that person to, to, to face that accusation? So, you know, let's just let this go. They're probably okay. The kids are probably just exaggerating. So so nothing happened to these women all these years despite tons of evidence that there was very bad abuse going on. And uh, finally, neighbors, uh, at the urge of that kid who's actually in, the, in that picture, the one who hugged the police officer, this is now a few years later. It's now three years later. He's 15. He kept coming over to the neighbor begging them to call someone to report his moms for abusing him and starving him. Finally, these neighbors, uh, they, they, you know, they called Child Protective Services. And Child Protective Services came over on March 23rd of this year, knocked on the door. Nobody answered. They said, okay, well, we'll try again later. <laughs> Just walked away. Like, you'd think if it's alleged that uh, if a kid keeps coming over saying, my moms are star- starving us and, and abusing us, blah, 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 you'd think, especially after this Turpin story that came out earlier in the year, that the police would come down and, and the police would, uh, you know, separate the kids and ask the questions and, you know, all that and, and find out the truth. No, Child Protective Services came over, knocked once, uh, nobody answered the door, and then just left and said, oh, we'll come back in a few days. Well, in the meantime, uh, probably sensing that uh, they were about to start suffering some consequences, what they've been doing, they packed up the family in their SUV and drove south. I think they were in Oregon at the time. They drove south, or maybe Washington, wherever. They they drove south and eventually reached, uh, a few days later, Fort Bragg, California, which is northern California. And then... Yeah, at some point they drugged the kids with like some Benadryl, something similar to Benadryl. Maybe it was Benadryl to make them tired. 
and then went to a turnout off the highway, stopped the car, and then sped up. It was like a, a 70-foot turnout that, that's, that's on, on the side of a cliff. Just hit the, hit the gas, sped up, never made any attempt to, to brake or, or, or do anything to evade it, and just drove at full speed off the cliff, slammed down, uh, then you know, slammed into the ocean, Three of the kids' bodies washed... You know, everybody died on impact. Three of the kids' bodies washed away. One of them was found. Two of them are still missing. So basically all six kids were killed. Terrible story. Now, can you imagine if six minority children, most of whom were black, five at least five were black, can you imagine if it was a white, heterosexual Christian family who did this? How much we'd be hearing about it every day? But this story, despite, despite it being obvious what happened, despite it being obvious, you know, the day after Child Protective Services comes over and they purposely don't answer the door, they take off and then drive, drive everybody off a cliff. And they, they could even look at the, the cars on board computer showed that, uh, what, exactly what happened, that they, that they pulled off of the turnout, stopped there, and then you know, purposely positioned the car to go off the cliff and drove at full speed off the cliff. So for sure it was intentional. That for a week, the press just wasn't reporting it at all except for locally in Northern California. And then finally, you know, when the police made a definitive statement that this was intentional. And by the way, it can be reported without the police giving that statement. They, they can just report what happened and let the reader determine for, on their own what they think happened. But then the police finally came out and said they don't feel this is an accident, they feel this is a crime. Finally, it was reported, but never as like a big top story. Never. And, and now, it's, now it's, uh, it's off the radar. It was off the radar very quickly after a few days. Uh, and there were still people defending the women. Oh, you know, it must be, it was all a misunderstanding. It was, they probably just accidentally got the, the gas pedal stuck down. Well, okay, what about all the abuse? What about all the starvation? What about, what all the beatings? Oh, kids are just exaggerating. You know how that is. They made every excuse in the world for them. Why? Because they were white, they were liberal, and they were lesbians, and they, and what they were afraid of. So, so this, why didn't the media want to cover this much? Because, you know, there were, there were black children that were victims of this. Wouldn't the media, you know, the liberal media, would they, wouldn't they feel bad for this? Wouldn't, the problem is, this is what made me think of it, the talk of a, of a gay president or something. People are very, very accepting now of gay people. They see a gay couple, they don't even flinch. Oh, a gay couple. You know, okay, whatever. They, you know, people are gay now. No problem. You know, that's, uh, we accept gays now. Mainstream America accepts, accepts gay couples and gay marriage and everything. Like that. There's some who don't, but most people do. Uh, the one thing that isn't completely accepted yet is gays adopting children. Even many who are kind of like middle of the road politically who well unless you're rich and you know a, a famous tv host you know or, or you know whatnot then it seems acceptable i mean look at someone like uh what's her name rosie o'donnell or yeah you know, yeah you know there's some there's definitely some stars that you know female stars that, that well, lesbians that have adopted children without any backlash well yeah yeah I, I i agree with that but but i'm just thinking you you ask the average kind of middle of the road person you know how do you feel about gay people getting married oh yeah it's fine i i support that what about them adopting kids you'll get like a pause usually uh and then like you know they, they, they got to think about whether they think it's okay and you'll kind of you, even if you get an answer in the affirmative they're kind of like i had to think about it so the last thing the media wanted was to parade this story out there and have those people who are just starting to come around to accept gay adoption as okay 
go up. Oh, there's there, there's there's a problem. You, you can't you can't have gays raising kids. This is what happens. Even the ones that seem outwardly like great people, they turn out to be psychos. You know, they, obviously this is proof. This is what ends up happening. They this this would be this, the optics of it are very bad. This even though. If you rationally think of it, these are just two crazy women who, who turned out to be, you know, uh, murderers, and, and weren't what they seemed, and were child abusers and then murderers. That's they, just so illogical, though. It's illogical, it really but is. but unfortunately, the, the, what happens is they are the media is afraid if they put that out there that those who are kind of on the fence about gay adoption will see this as a very high profile gay adoption situation and go, oh. Yeah, they're not ready to adopt kids. This is what happens, and 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 they're so the the media is so afraid of that being the determination from it for Middle America that they did not want to parade that story out there. Furthermore, they don't want to vilify the type of people that they typically want put on a pedestal. They they don't want lesbian <coughs> looking bad. They don't want le- liberal lesbian political activists looking bad. They, they they don't want you seeing a political activist who on the surface their their life looks pristine and then you can say well i bet they're crazy like these psycho women who drove their kids off the cliff they 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 don't want the story out there much like you know and it can happen on the other side too like uh, i'm sure right-wingers wouldn't they they don't want to glorify stories of crazy right-wingers who've done awful things they, they want to kind of you know they don't want to keep repeating that story out there because you know it, it'll start to represent even though if it's if it's a an anomaly even if it's it's a fluke even if this doesn't represent the typical right winger, they wouldn't want to be associated with that. So, because these women were exactly what they, you know, what, what the left usually loves, which is you know, liberal lesbian activists, you know, who, who adopted six minority kids and uh, and, and were uh, constantly preaching uh, peace and love. That's the last thing they want to do is, is, is say, you know, have people use this as ammo of look, you know. These people seem like they're they're so caring and so great. Look, look at what they really were. Look at what they really were behind closed doors. They they abused these children. They, they kept saying Black Lives Matter, love black people. You don't care about color. You know you, you've got to care about uh, you got to care about all your fellow human beings. And then they adopt six kids, beat them, starve them, and murder them. So I, I people can think, well, I, I wonder how many other supposedly caring activists are really like this behind closed doors, even if not as extreme. So they don't want this even in anyone's mind. So they did not want this story put out there. And and there is also some general belief there that uh, the reason this even got this far to where these kids were never taken away and to where these women were never taken to prison for all the things they were doing was because they were given a pass for being... Number one, lesbian, and number two, being you know good liberals who adopted good white liberals who adopted black kids, and that they got the pass for that reason. And then I believe they did. I believe, that, especially because a lot of social workers uh, lean left themselves, that it's just like it, it was a lot easier to believe them, to want to believe them, than the kids who were making the accusations, or or even the adults who who were saying they see something. It, it's it, they got a pass that they shouldn't have gotten. And uh, and they, they don't want to focus on that either. So so the media, unfortunately, what I what I hate about the media here is talk about media biases. And I think one of the biggest problems with media biases now is not always so much of what they cover, but what they don't cover. I I think that the media is now choosing, picking and choosing what they prominently feature or feature at all because they don't want you reading something and getting the wrong idea. They are now acting as the gatekeeper of, okay, is the the average person in middle America going to read this and now get the wrong idea? Okay, then we shouldn't let them read it. 
we shouldn't let them know about it because they're going to see it. They're going to jump to the wrong conclusion, and, and they're going to vote for a candidate we don't like. They're going to take social positions we don't like, and, and it's all going to be based upon something that is wrong. So for with this, we don't want them seeing lesbians this way. We don't want them seeing uh, uh, liberal activists this way. We, we don't want uh, them seeing gay adoption this way. This is a, such an atypical case, which I agree with, by the way. I, I agree this is a very atypical case. I, I don't feel that, that the average lesbian couple is going to ever do this. I, I think this is a, was a fluke. But I believe the media is afraid it will not be perceived that way, so they're suppressing the story as much as they can. They couldn't completely suppress it once it came out that, uh, that, that, that it was a murder, but they, they tried to cover it as little as possible. It was very, very clear to me. And, and I can only imagine I, – I wish I could, like, set up an alternate reality simulation if, if rather than two liberal lesbians having committed the murders and, and, and abuses if it were a white heterosexual couple who was Christian and how much of a difference type, different type of coverage we would have gotten. And I can tell you it would have been staggering, the difference. And uh, I don't like the media deciding – what we should see because they're afraid we'll draw the wrong conclusion. And they've been definitely doing that. I've been watching it happen. There's been a lot of that where, you know, we're not going to cover this detail. We're, we're going to leave out certain elements to it uh, because uh, similarly, there was this gay serial killer in Toronto who just uh, apparently murdered a lot of men he was meeting off gay dating apps. Hmm. And that's gotten very little coverage. And in the coverage that I've seen in the U.S. and Canada... It rarely mentions he's gay. He's just a serial killer who killed men. And you had to go. I had to go to the UK media when when this story came out. I had to I had to read to read the Daily Mail in the UK to get confirmation the guy was gay and he was actually meeting guys off gay dating apps and murdering them. Not always right away. He'd actually have a sexual relationship with them for some time and then kill them. Like sometimes. No, it's later. interesting that you say that because I've often wondered. You know, and I read the Daily Mail a lot, actually. Being that they're based in the UK, how do they get such accurate and, and I mean, even more so, just minute details of these stories? Oh, and why do they even cover it so closely when they're not even based in this country? I don't know why they cover it. I think just because of fascination with the U.S., but I, I, I don't know why they they do cover it as much as they do and so closely, but I think that the U.S. media – uh, I, I think it's a combination of laziness and also that sometimes they do have these details and they don't want to reveal it. Like 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 this this gay serial killer in Toronto. Uh, there's no way that CNN was ignorant to the fact that he was gay and he was meeting them from gay dating apps. They just they left it out. And most every news outlet I kept going to in uh, in the U.S. was leaving that detail out. And there's no way that was an an accident. They just. Uh, they they just said well, well we'll just omit that part. Why do we have to say he's gay? Why do we have to say he's meeting from gay? We're just going to say he's he's meeting men in in Toronto and 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 murdering them. That's the truth, isn't it? Well, yes, but he was meet, he was a gay man who was meeting gay other gay men off gay dating apps and uh, dating them for a while, and then killing them, and and he did this to multiple men and then buried them in in, in planters around the city which he was maintaining. So that's uh, I mean that, that's but they don't want to say that because they don't, again they don't want a negative perception. Of, of that, that you know these that gay people are just these these crazy mur- murderers who you know who meet have casual sex and then uh, actually it wasn't even that casual sex I think he actually had, like relationships with them but you know these gay people are just crazy murderers they they, they don't want to seem this way so they they and I I hate this omission 
because the media decides that we're going to think the thing they don't want us to think. I, they, they should put out the truth like the Daily Mail. I, I like what the Daily Mail does. They just put it out there. I, I don't even see a bias with them. I just, it's something that makes Republicans look bad, Democrats look bad, gays look bad, straights look bad, Christians look bad. It, right. do, it doesn't matter. They just Here's the story. They put the whole damn thing out there, and then you draw your own conclusions. That's the way it should be. I don't like any kind of these bias. I, I sometimes go to right-wing sites and read news stories that infuriate me because I know they are spinning something to be what it isn't or leaving something out or, or, or you know, I, I, I've been to so many right-wing type news sites that are garbage that I, I can't even trust what I read. I think, you know, this, I go, wow, this is a pretty compelling story. Why, why, why isn't the mainstream media covering this? And then I go look at, at more credible sources like, oh, see, this is so misleading. No wonder this isn't being covered. This isn't what it seems at all. It's like, why are they lying to me like this? You know, like I, I get pissed off reading it and, and I go, this sucks. Like, I, I don't. I don't want to see any news bias. And I'm not just saying this to sound like I want to be fair. I get pissed off when I read right-wing news bias too. I, now, I, I read right-wing opinion columns, watch right-wing YouTube channels. That's a different story because I know what I'm, I know what I'm uh, going there to, to read or watch. But as far as the news, it should just be the facts and just drop them all out there and let people draw their own conclusions. That's what the news should be and is not anymore. And it's, and it's very upsetting and it's especially upsetting when See, you, you ask, why is this happening? Why would the left-wing media be doing this? Are they evil? Are, are they trying to do uh, terrible things to America? No, no. They think they're doing the right thing. They think that it's their social responsibility to suppress details or suppress stories that might give Americans the wrong idea about things. That, that's what they're trying to do. They they try to ascertain how will the average American react to this. If the reaction would be, well, okay, I'm going to vote for more Republicans, or well, I'm going to be against more against gay adoption now. Or if they if you come if they think that's going to be the average American's response, they're going to rewrite the story or or not cover it at all. And that's the problem. That's the problem is they're they're trying to figure out our reaction before releasing the story instead of just putting it out there. And it's sad that I have to go to the freaking Daily Mail, and apparently you do too, <laughs> to get the real news in the U.S. It's insane. But that, that's what I really have to do. I, I find a story. I find that it's like very, very light on details, and there's, there's just weird things that are left out that don't make any sense. And I go, okay, I, now I'm interested in the story, but I'm not going to get the details here. Let me go to the Daily Mail. Oh, okay, now I understand the whole thing. Right. And then, and then I can usually pinpoint why they've left it out too. Like I can usually figure out, oh, I see why they left this part. Oh, I see why they left. Now the Daily Mail, I will say that they sometimes uh, they sometimes go a bit over the line. Like I remember there was some story about, uh, oh, I forgot what it was. It was something about uh, a, a teenage girl who was told to uh, put on a. Like that, that her skirt was too short to fly, or something like that. That's the, the, you know, that seventeen-year-old who wanted to fly, they, or something. She was told to go home from school because her skirt was too short, something like that. So that story's already a bit on the salacious side, They're, you know. But but then they, you can click through to see like eighteen pictures of her that they got off her social media in in, in various uh, you know, skimpy clothes she's wearing. I go, there's no way if this if there's like some some story with a, involving a dude, there's no way they're showing eighteen pictures of him. There's, there's no way they, like, they're doing it because it's like it was like a pretty teenage girl, and they, they know perverts are going to read this and want to click through and watch, look at all eighteen pictures. So they'll do, you know, things like that. But at least they put out accurate news. I'll give them that. 
they're, they're kind of tabloidish and, and some things like that, but at least they, I've never seen them put out anything that I later found out is inaccurate. And that's that's the most important. By the thing. way, somebody literally right now as we speak just messaged me. I don't. He's a user of PFA. I don't know if he wants his name uh, to be mentioned, but he's calling to this radio show. He he is you know a British citizen. He lives well. You know it's it's our friend. I don't know what he goes by in the form. I just know his real name. It's our friend that's called in several times from Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's, Mr. That's Mr. It's Mr. Yeah. Tickle. Okay. I did, yeah. Uh, I know. His, I know. I call him by his real name so that's why i didn't want to say he just sent me a message or a text that said in the uk uh the the the, the uh, publication that you're talking about is very very scummy that the common like um, the common citizen regards it as just being a scummy publication but i can believe that so, in a way from like as i said like the thing they did with that teenage girl was showing 18 pictures of her you know, which i knew was just aimed at perverts but uh, but the truth is they have as you've noticed too they have all the detail I don't see a bias in the detail they have, and and I've never once gone through the details of their story and then found out later, oh, this is inaccurate, or oh, this this was purposely omitted, or the or this was purposely emphasized for some political purpose. I've never seen it once. I, it just looks like they just yeah. drop all the details, and there it is. Draw your own conclusions. So that's that's why it's, I read it's it. really weird that you even <clears throat> that you even bring this up because I've realized more and more that I'm reading articles from the Daily Mail. And I've asked myself numerous times, why is it in such great, greater detail? Yeah. And it seems to be even written better. You know, the one thing like that was where you just mentioned, you know, the, the pictures that are in these articles, sometimes they'll have like 30 of the same pictures, like from, you know, five foot different angle. You know, and some of it is a lot of it's repetitive, but I still find myself just getting a better perspective in a lot of ways from, from reading, you know. So I wonder, I don't know what, so what, why is it scummy then? Why, well, why does he I, think I, it's, I don't, I'm not – see, I'm, I've always asked them. I, I ask, and maybe we can get some answer here. I've asked on the forum before. I never get a straight answer. I go, okay, uh, I can see how it kind of has some sensationalist-type headlines and uh, – and, and, I mean, do you remember when uh, this happened in Las Vegas, the, you know, the shooting? Yeah. They they posted on their uh, – somehow they got the photos of, of the of, – what's his name? Of Stephen uh, – Yeah, Stephen Paddock. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they, they, they posted were, like the blood in the, the in the room and – there was an investigation in Vegas of how these things got leaked. It wasn't even an American, you know, journalist yeah, they, website or you know, periodical newspaper, whatever that got that. They are, like, they work crazy. They me. work very hard at getting the details. And uh, here he's he's calling in, but see, I can't even answer here. Let me let me. Here, here, we'll try. He's here, a good story. No, no. But you, it's you, just what, what? Okay, hang up, and I'll, I'm going to put him on. I got to hang. Okay. Have you hang up first? Okay, Mr. Tickle, hang on. I got to put Brandon on here. His Skype was being a piece of crap. I wasn't letting me. Uh, okay, sure. Wasn't letting me add people. That's why I wasn't taking calls before. But I do want to get your perspective on. Then I got to shut this down. This, this show's been so long, and it's. Uh, see, I, I didn't tell Brandon to call me. I'm gonna add him. Maybe I need to go back to the newer Skype. I. I see how this is busy. Ah, pain in the ass. I think I may have to bite oh, the bullet. Do you want me to talk about the Daily Mail while you're trying to abandon? Uh, Brandy, you there? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so, so go ahead. Tell, tell us about the Daily Mail. <clears throat> so the Daily Mail is considered to be quite a conservative newspaper. It supports the conservative party. It uh, actively goes against left-wing parties. And there's like a bit of a trope in the UK of it having headlines which are against gay people. Black people, they love all that stuff. They're very right-wing politically. 
You know, I, I haven't noticed that, but I, I will say that – what is that? What am I hearing in the background? Are you taking a bath? No, no, no. It's actually the road which okay. goes directly past the Kremlin. Okay. I guess I'm standing in view of the Kremlin right now. I, I guess if it's the Kremlin, I can forgive it. So what, what I – I haven't noticed that, but to, to be honest, though, I will say that I don't really consider the headline. Like, I'll just, I, I usually go there to get more details on a story that's not being covered well in the U.S., so I kind of ignore the headline. I kind of don't, don't even bother to read, you know, what they're putting in the headline. I just quickly go to the story. Uh, so maybe that's why I'm not noticing it as much. Uh, I, I haven't noticed, like, any kind of racism or anything like that. Now, may, maybe I'm just, not happening, happening to see those stories, and I'm never, I'm never reading UK stories over there. I'm always u- reading US yeah, I think stories. That might be it. I think that might be it. So I, I'm not saying you're wrong with it. I'm just saying what I've noticed that uh, to me it just looks like an unbiased source that just drops all the information, uh, sometimes in a salacious or tabloidish fashion, but it's never inaccurate. Well, I'm not necessarily talking about my opinion. It is my opinion, but it's a generally accepted opinion that it's quite a trashy tabloid. Um, like you said about the photos, it's like almost no boundaries. Um, they'll post things which other newspapers won't. And sometimes that's a good thing, right? But lots of times it's, it's not. Um, and they definitely support the Conservative Party. The editor's very conservative. Um, there's definitely a lot of bias. So when you said it's an unbiased source, I had a little laugh. Together. Okay, well, I, I, yeah. I, I haven't noticed any bias, and, I, and I say, I'm saying I have noticed right-wing biases on other sites that, that actually irritate me, so it's not like I don't notice a right-wing bias. So Maybe right. it's a UK-US thing. Like Maybe they just don't care about uh, US politics that much. So yeah, that could be not, it. They don't feel like they have influence about it. So That could so be the, it. It's the second best-sold paper in the UK. People still buy newspapers in the UK, huh. like unlike many other news, other countries. And the the number one is the Sun, which is ten times scummier. And then <laughs> number two is uh, the Daily Mail, and they're both right wing leaning uh, newspapers, um, which are known as very scummy, very uh, yeah tabloidy, uh, definitely not unbiased. I see. Uh, and it's it's pretty funny to hear someone say the Daily Mail is an unbiased stuff. Any Brits would laugh at you, even people who support what it says. People who read the Daily Mail read it because it backs up their views, right? Yeah. Like when you watch YouTube videos, right-wing YouTube videos, you're like, oh, yeah, I agree with that, I agree with that. It sort of backs up that you're correct. So that's why people read the Daily Mail of the UK. It's it's a horrible, horrible, scummy newspaper. All right, well, I'll I'll keep that in mind. But it's it's weird, though, from my perspective, Mr. Tickle, that I've gotten more knowledge and more informative information off articles written by that paper than I have... Like it's weird. I mean, I've, I've, and I've only noticed this recently that when I Google something and want to know as much as I can find out about a subject, that that comes up, and I'll read that article, and then I'll read a couple right. of American-based. I'll read a couple of like, okay, I'll look at USA Today, and you know, I, it's funny. I can't even look at the Washington Post, which is so stupid because these articles. You guys ever find this problem? Or at least rough. These articles come up right away on the top page of Google, and then they want you to pay. And I'm like, it just that, that just it, yeah, it's, it's awful. really anyhow, irritating. Yes. So I'll read like USA Today, or I'll, you know, that's one of the, you know, and USA Today, it's so just itemized and so just generalized. That's a better term. That it, it, it you know, I go to you know the daily you know the, the UK paper, and it's everything is more in depth. 
Like, it just gives me more more information. I mean, I was reading about this Nexium, and they did a great piece on this Nexium thing, this cult thing that we were talking about. So, I don't know. I've always I found that odd, and I only probably discovered that within the last year, it seems. Well, let me say something perhaps patriotic. I'm not much of a patriot, but I think uh, our journalism standards are much higher than American journalism standards. Wow. So, if you looked at... So if you looked at um, uh, the Edward Snowden things, the Panama Papers things, the recent things with Cambridge Analytica hacking the Brexit vote and the U.S. election vote, it's all come from The Guardian. Everything goes to The Guardian, which is a British newspaper, right? Yeah. And then they, they like team up with The New York Times to release things in the U.S., but it's a British investigation. Um, and the, you look at uh, lots of recent stuff, which Channel 4 has done about... Uh, you know, you are talking before about, I think you maybe talked about a few weeks ago about the election stuff. It's all on Channel 4 in the, uh, in the UK. It's, none of it comes from the US. We have very good investigative journalism over here. No, I you do. I agree, I agree with that. I agree with that. And uh, in fact, I will say that whenever I do any kind of investigative journalism, like related to poker or whatever, I always try to do it in the style where I, I want to explain everything. I want it all to be clear. I want all the deta- the relevant details out there, and I, and I do see in, in the U.S. journalism these days, it, it's amazing how sometimes these stories they, they they're leaving out major details. It doesn't make sense, and uh, yeah, it's a the standard does seem pretty low, and, and it's it's frustrating. So I, I I have read a lot of these U.S. Pub, U.K. publications covering U.S. stories, and they always tend to do a good job. So I'll give them that. So anyway, uh, I, I I can't do this anymore. I'm t- I'm too. Uh, worn out from this long thing here. It's been eight and a half hours. And, uh, is this the longest Is this the longest show you've ever done? It, it might be. On PFA? It might be. It's been eight and a half hours, so I, I'm going to be what done here. What time did you guys start at? We started at nine. Wow. Yeah. We're on the line now with a listener in Russia. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I really I really was uh, work, working nine to five on this one. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Tickle, for calling in and giving us that uh, update on the Daily Mail. And I think it probably is our perception different because we're reading different types of stories on there. So thank you for calling in. And uh, if you like long shows, you have a long one to listen to this time. No problem. Shalom. Uh, shalom. He, he may not like the American sports part of it, though. That's, it probably doesn't interest him much. No, he does. Oh, he, he does? Okay. Me. Listen, I, you know, I started playing uh, – OFC with this, with him about a year ago, and we started chatting, not on the phone, but, you know, texting, basically. And it's amazing how cultured this kid is. He he knows a lot about NFL football. In fact, he was the one that mentioned the draft. Oh. He's like, why don't you talk about the NFL draft? <laughs> He's a baseball fan. He lived in New York for a while and became a Mets fan. And he was started going to, the, like, I think it was his senior year in high school or maybe his freshman year in college. He lived in New York. And he was going to Mets games regularly with his American girlfriend, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't an American girlfriend, but he was going to Mets games. And he was telling me, you know, he, it's a, he knows more about American sports than a lot of Americans do. Oh, it's actually yeah. kind of bizarre. Okay. Well, So he definitely wasn't turned off by any of the sports okay. stuff. Well, he's, uh, which, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a nice kid. Even we, we disagree politically, but he's, he's a nice kid. So we will get going here. Thank you, Brandon, right. for coming on for these uh, – Hours here. I mean, I've been off for five hours, and I just still feel like you got shortchanged <laughs> because you've been on a lot longer. I mean, I've been on five hours. I know. It's pretty long. Very long show. I, I should take a week off after something like this. Just say, huh? 
I was saying, I, I, I should take a week off. I know it doesn't let you hear when I'm playing the music. Uh, it's, oh. I, I should take a week off after a show like that. I should just say, okay, this counts as two shows. So play half this we week, half them. next week. Do you, do, you remember, do you remember when we did the podcast the day before and we tried to pull it off and nobody would know? Uh, yes. Were you a part of that? Were you, was that the three of us or was that just me and him? Um, no, 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 no. We, we we did do something. I don't think it was the whole thing. No, it was. It probably was you and him. We did do a segment one time, which was we pretended it was live. No, we did a whole podcast. Oh no, no, no. I, I never podcast. did that before. I, I wouldn't have gone. We for fired that. it like on a. I, I couldn't remember. Sorry, no offense. We did a whole thing on a Tuesday. Played it Wednesday, so we wouldn't have to deal with it, <laughs> and then just hope nobody would wreck. You know, and of course they did because yeah. everything in the chat got ignored. Well, we we did this. They caught on that. Right. We we did this twice. Uh, and I think I you were on that. You no, know, we we did twice. Was uh, we we did segments that we pre-recorded. I forgot why, but uh, I think one was I needed to edit a little bit so it sounded better, and I knew I would have to. I knew it, it would be hard to do live, so we did one like that, and we actually got away with that one. And then we did a second one, and people figured it out right away that it was pre-recorded. And so, so I actually came clean afterwards, and people in the chat room were saying, "This is no way, this is live." So I finally said, "Okay, we had to confess something. This was, uh, this wasn't live." But the first one, we actually got away with it. But I, I, I feel so funny doing that. Like I, I like I thought of making prank calls during better hours, and then just pl- playing them on here as if I'm making it live. And I just feel like a fraud doing that. I, I feel like a fraud on the fraud show. So I can't do it unless I tell ah. people I'm doing it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go Sorry. back and play the song. Okay, well, thank, thank you. you for having me on. I'll say goodbye now since I can't hear uh, when music. I always appreciate you affording me the opportunity to speak my mind, and uh, I enjoyed the banter. Yes. Good show. Yes, thank, I you. Th- thank you for coming on, Brandon. Good night. Sure. So, wow, this is long. I mean, eight and a half hours? This is supposed to be a shorter show. I, I saw the agenda. I go, this is kind of a short agenda. I can be done with this, you know, after five hours. I would have been, too. I would have been. We just we just talked about a lot of things here. You didn't like the rambling at the end and the sports stuff at the end. I apologize, but you know, that's the way the end of these shows are sometimes. I don't even know how I'm going to note this stuff in the, in the description. I'm definitely not going to go through the whole thing and figure all that out. I'm going to, I'll note the major topics when they appear, and that's it. This show is kind of all over the place in some ways. But if you like long shows, this is going to be a great show for you. Eight and a half hours. Can you imagine? Even I feel weird about that. I finish these things and go, how could I have talked for eight and a half hours? Like, what did I say? How could there have been that much to say it would take eight and a half hours? How do other talk show hosts say so much in an hour? And when I do it, I'm just getting through the intro by that point. I don't get it. And then somehow, like, people go, oh, no, no, make it longer. Make it 10 hours. Make it 15 hours. Like, some people just want to hear me talk. Just talk forever. Doesn't matter what I say. Well, to all you who stuck around during this whole thing, thank you for doing so. We'll be back next week on May, what, 2nd? Yeah, May 2nd. This is the last show of April. May, of course, is the first month of the World Series. It's coming up very soon. I'll give you an announcement soon whether I'm selling pieces of myself. Still deciding. Until then, good night. 
Shalom.